Test, 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 JD. Test, 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 Connor. So we're, we're aiming to go till 1 in the morning? Uh, we have to introduce that podcast now. Yeah, this, will, this part will be the introduction of the podcast. Yeah. Okay, so would a theme song play or do we just start into it? I was thinking uh, I'm, maybe I'll come up with some sort of theme song and I'll email it to you. Okay, so the theme song just played and we go... Hi there, I'm Connor Ratliff. And hi there, I'm J.D. Amato. And this is uh, the 12-hour day. Or is that the official title we're going with? Yeah, I think we'll call it 12-hour day. Uh, J.D. and Connor's 12-hour day? Maybe yeah, a or 12-hour day with J.D. and Connor. Oh, I like that. You're listening to 12-hour day with J.D. and Connor. And uh, Connor and I right now are at the AMC movie theaters. We're um, on a downward escalator. Uh, we just walked out of seeing The Wolf of Wall Street. Well, we didn't walk out. We watched the whole thing. That makes it sound like... Uh, oh, yeah. We didn't walk out. Yeah. We, just we did walk out, but that phrasing immediately evokes uh, people leaving in disgust or in protest. We left at the... And we waited. We sat through the, the entire uh, end credits sequence until the uh, Motion Picture Association of America logo came on the screen. Yep. And uh, we haven't talked about the movie with each other because we've been saving it for this podcast. And what this podcast is going to be, it's going to be a 12-hour day with... J.D. and Connor. And so... Uh... Right now, I mean, some of it will just be description because I, I imagine it's going to sound... Uh, we should start by talking a little bit about our tech setup. Yeah. How we're recording this podcast. Sure. Um, I'm wearing a, a lav mic, uh, which is a, a, the type that you wear. Uh, it's a little one that you pin to your shirt. Uh, but I'm holding a, a, a non-functioning, a non-connected handheld microphone out of solidarity with JD because he's got an old-fashioned uh, handheld mic hookup and he's wearing headphones. Right, and I have the recorder attached to my body. Originally, we were both going to have handheld mics, but we learned that one of the mics doesn't work, so I had a, a backup lav for Connor here. I think it's important, particularly on a, on a 12-hour long podcast, to start out with uh, just some tech specs, just so people know, you know what's yeah. happening. Yeah. Right, right now, we're going down another downward escalator, leaving... If you've ever been to the AMC movie theater in Times Square, it's a 25-screen megaplex. And as you're leaving, you'll hear some... You might hear some loud music now. We're passing by the Dave & Busters. So right now, we're seeing a bunch of kids and families playing games. Um, and there's a, a, a dining area around us. Uh, it looks like they're having a lot of fun. Yeah, you can probably hear that music. It's a pretty festive house. At, uh, atmosphere. It's uh, Sunday afternoon, December 29th, 2013. It's about 1.18 in the afternoon, and we're about to uh, venture out onto the streets of New York City, uh, the greatest city in the world, uh, in an area of town that, J.D., you don't like. No, I... Oh, no. Oh, no, is it raining? What does that mean? Oh, no, it's raining a lot. It's raining a lot. This is already oh, a big disaster no. for a podcast. What does that mean for us technically? Well... As you, as you can see, I have equipment strapped to me. Oh, man. <laughs> so. Already oh, we're oh, in trouble. Already here. we are in big trouble because we were going to be walking. We were going to walk all the way to Wall Street. Right. So but here, it's raining. Well, okay. So here, right now we are standing in the lobby looking out onto, what is this, 42nd Street? Yeah, we're on 42nd Street. We're across from the BB King uh, uh Blues what do they call it? Blues, Blues Club, Club and, and Grill. Grill. Which, on the way here, Connor asked if I would ever eat at. My response was, never, ever in my life. Yeah. Um, oh, this is a real bummer because it is raining. It is raining like crazy. It's a real rainy winter day in New York City. 
And you you had tweeted earlier about how you actually this is your favorite type of day. Yeah, well, I know not necessarily my favorite type of day, but earlier this morning when I looked out of New York City, it was a gray skies, but very bright and clear. Uh, and uh, to me, that's the uh, New York City looks great when it's gray skies, but bright and clear. It wasn't too cold out. Right. It's just very crisp. Yeah. Uh, and I like that. No, I like that too. Um, but now it's now I, what very I, much colder. I can feel it already, and it's raining. Yeah. So we should plan our next move. I'm hungry. Okay. And you famously are a very picky eater. I am a choosy eater. Uh, what are the requirements for you in terms of choosing where you eat? I don't know. We could go to Shake Shack. Where do you want to go? No, we're not going to somewhere in Times Square. That's not in Times Square. It's off of Times Square. It's like a block away from Times Square. Do you eat Shake Shack? I would. Let's go where you want to go, where there's a good ambiance where we can talk. Because we got to think. Is there a diner around here? Sure, of course there's a diner. But not like a Times Square diner. No, right? let's, yeah. let's go downtown a little let's bit. Let's walk west. Let's walk. All right, so we're exiting here. We're going to walk west. We're now out on the street. You can probably hear a slight change in the sound quality. Yeah. I'm going to put my hood up. I'm gonna. I'm not going to. Cause I have headphones on. Are you gonna short out? I'm worried that you're covered in so much electrical equipment. I'm worried that you are a, a ticking time bomb in this rain. No, it's there's not enough electricity going on in my. Okay, equipment. but it, will it damage the equipment though? It could, but you know we'll take that risk. Well, right now I gotta tell you, Times Square, Forty Second oh. Street, uh, is absolutely. It is chock a block with people who have umbrellas. Uh, and I don't know what you think about this, J.D., but I think ah. people who walk around in big city streets with umbrellas have a tendency to forget that there are people who don't have umbrellas, and they change the pace at which they walk. They walk a little bit slower. And they forget that some of us are tall enough that those umbrellas will hit us in the, right That's in the right. eye. That's right. Uh, they get, they're very inconsiderate, people with umbrellas, because they've got theirs, Jack. And Let's take the subway down okay. somewhere, right? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great idea. Down to Midtown, maybe? There's yeah, let's, get out, of, let's get out of here. So right now, we are entering the 42nd Street Port Authority Bus Terminal Station. The one across the street from the Chevy. Yeah, here, this is a place, if you've never been to New York City, you can get the A, C, the E, the N, the Q, the R, the shuttle to Times Square, the Grand Central, the 1, 2, 3, or 7 trains. Um, so that's all helpful information. Uh-oh, it's, it's slippery right here. It's pretty slick right now. No one has uh, anticipated how much moisture people were going to be tracking into the subway here. No one has treated this floor so it would be safe to walk on. Can I point out the fact that right now our tone is very much as news reporters, and I think <laughs> 10 hours into this it's going to... Yeah. Much less of a play-by-play. -play. Yeah, I think so, too. Just swiped our subway cards. All right, we're in the subway now. We do want to say to people who are maybe thinking about abandoning this podcast now, because as J.D. has pointed out, our tone has been somewhat journalistic, and this is not news that will be relevant to anyone. Or even, <laughs> even us after this very moment. <laughs> yeah. I want to apologize for being... I was a little too in-depth as far as what trains you could take from this subway station. That's... That's information that anyone who needs it can access pretty easily. Can you see my back? Is my backpack open? It uh, like it's it open is. just a little. I'm going to zip. There, I zipped you closed. Thank you, Connor. Um, for those of you who don't know, JD and I are friends. Yeah. Uh, that I thought of that because I just now JD's walking around with a big backpack, and he said, "If you didn't, if you didn't catch what just happened there." JD said, 
Hey, is my backpack open? And I went and I just casually zipped it closed. Okay, there's some music now. This is uh, it's overwhelming the speakers just, right uh, now. Here we go. Can we go on that train? The ACE? Sure. Yeah, we're going to get on that downtown train. All right. Um, oh, there's a train here. We should hurry. Yeah, okay. We're running to catch this train. All right. Oh, I'm boy. a little faster than Connor, so it's a little easier for me. Okay, here we go. Here we go. Whoops, whoops, whoops. Oh, there's a whoops. weird guy All there. Right. Let's go in here. Okay. Here we go. Now, J.D. and I are on the train now. Good. Uh, J.D., what did you think of the movie? Uh, I think we should give our recommendations at the very end of the podcast. Do you want to do it to see it or not? At the end of the podcast? Yeah. So we're not going to talk about the movie? I think we should, but I don't think we should recommend whether people see it or not until the very end. Okay. So we spend our 12-hour day really reflecting on it. Right. Oops. Sorry, I just bumped into this, this right. gentleman here. Okay. So uh, what did you think of it? Well, uh, it's a long movie. Yes. Uh, I will say that. There's no getting around that. I was... I've heard a lot of people say the movie's long, and I know that I sort of went in almost, almost braced to disagree with that. Like I was almost, I've heard so many people say, "Yeah, it's a long movie." That I was, I think, if I was, if I had any predisposition, it was probably to be contrarian and say, "Like, no, it's not too long." Right. I think it is a fairly long movie. Uh, there's a lot of good things in it, but it probably is longer than necessary. And I think something to keep in mind, though, is when you're talking about a long movie, there are movies that are long time-wise, and there are stories that feel long. And this yeah. one had a, uh, a lot of times where you're like, oh, it could end here and I'd be happy. Right. And sometimes that would happen, and then I'd really like a scene that happened after I had yeah. that feeling. But, yeah, like, I don't, I don't think... Like, I've never thought that either of the first two Godfather movies were too long. They're both really long. But I've never felt like right. there were points in those movies where I'm like, oh, I could end here and I'd be happy. Yeah. Um, this, I felt like there's a lot of big ends. And it almost felt like three or four end speeches, end scenes, where it's like yeah. they got their, their moments out. But then, like, it kept happening over and over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, I liked it. I mean, it's funny because it felt... it's. My favorite Scorsese film I've seen in a while of mm-hmm. his newer films. Yeah. Because uh, it felt a little bit more like modern Scorsese filmmaking instead of sort of just like modern filmmaking that Scorsese happened to do. Yeah. Like I, I actually, I wasn't a huge, uh, huge fan of uh, what's one of the, the kid in the uh, Hugo. Hugo. <laughs> you just call it Hugo. Yeah. I because you said you weren't a huge fan of Hugo. Yeah. Um, wasn't a big fan of it. Um, I don't. I liked it. I liked Hugo, but I didn't... There are certain films that... Like, I feel like there were probably... You could probably find 20 or 30 other really good, competent directors who could have made it exactly the same way. Right. Uh, probably more. I'm probably low-blowing the numbers. Probably a lot of filmmakers who could have made Hugo exactly as good as it is. Right, exactly. Um, this felt like... Uh, well, I do think... Uh, not to be condescending about it, but a lot of what is impressive about Wolf of Wall Street is that, you know, Scorsese is a 71-year-old man now. Yeah. And uh, a lot of a lot of the work in this movie feels like he hasn't lost uh, a beat. You know what I mean? That I agree. It feels I like agree. this is a, a vital filmmaker uh, who has his filmmaking abilities uh, undiminished 
even at an age where a lot of people would probably not have the stamina or the energy to make a movie like this. Right. Um, and it felt like, well, I'll compare it to like when uh, when Woody Allen made uh, Matchpoint, a lot of people were um, raving about this being a return to form. And for me, I felt like Matchpoint was um, a return to filmmaking competence after several years where Woody Allen was making films that were not watchable. Right. But it didn't feel... I get that. It didn't feel like a Woody Allen film to me in the sense of, like, it felt almost like he was doing... Like, I feel like a lot of people could have made the movie Matchpoint. Yes. Whereas a few years later when he made Vicky Cristina Barcelona, I felt like... Even though it has a lot of things about it that are not typical of a Woody Allen film, I felt like, oh no, this is what a Woody Allen film is. It's relationships, it's, uh, this is the world of, of the kind of films that I like Woody Allen to make. Yes, I agree with that. And I feel like, I feel similarly about Wolf of Wall Street, that's like, I want to see high energy, like all of the shots, <coughs> excuse me for my coughing, um, all of the shots in the stockbroker rooms, you could tell he just loved filming all the decadence. Right. He loved like running that camera around that office. Yes, and he loved he loved having all those extras there. Yeah. You could just tell anytime you could just tell that he's swinging that camera around all over the place. Just like, let's get this and this and this. Yeah. And that's fun to see. Like even the very end, the choice of music at the end you just know that Scorsese was excited about that yeah exactly like there's <coughs> you wanna go to Venus? yeah let's do it like when you some of the song choices you were pointing out there were like weird song choices but you could tell oh I bet he was really jazzed about this like right when it's like that punk rock cover of Mrs. Robinson yeah you just know that Scorsese was like Let's put this under this sequence. Yeah. It'll be really fun. Um, it felt the most uh, loose as a filmmaker that he's been in a while. I would say this is the most most Scorsese-ish movie he's made since Bringing Out the Dead. Yeah, I could, I could do it on that same page. What? I, I, I agree with that. Um, I know a lot of people loved... I can never remember the name of that the movie that was Leonardo DiCaprio and Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson. I always want to call it Infernal Affairs or Altered States. I know it's some oh, title um, like that. I can't remember. I can never remember the name of that movie. I was literally just thinking of the name and the fact that you said you couldn't remember it makes me not able to remember it now. Oh, it, I mean, it was Altered Agenda, Internal... Stop, stop, stop. Internal stop. Engine. <laughs> stop, because I'm going to get it in just a second. I mean, it, it, it won the Oscar, right? Right. And it was... Infrared... No, Infernal Affairs is the Japanese. <coughs> Infrared Agenda. I'm gonna take. I'm gonna take my headphones off so that it looks like less yeah. like I'm. All right, we're going into. We're going in. We're going in to get some food. At what's this place? Vitas. Vitas, which is a diner. JD and I have eaten here before. Yeah. Usually during the Del Close Marathon, this is a go-to spot for a lot of teams. Uh, Funny how, hi, hi, yes for two, please. Funny how we went from me over-explaining what trains you get from a subway station to now feeling like I'll just mention the Del Close Marathon, and not explain what it is. Yeah. Um, 
everything we mention uh, on this podcast, I should say, uh, will be Googleable. If there's something that you're confused about, you can um, just go to the search engine, Google or Bing, and uh, do a search. Yeah, I wish I had a lob mic now. I mean, you could always hook up, and I could vamp while you're hooking up the second lob, right? I don't have a second lob. I thought I saw you pull out a second lob. No. We could meet up with someone today and get a second lob. Maybe. All right, so right now, we keep this going. Right now, we're sitting in the restaurant. We're going to order us some food. Um, boy, I just don't know what I want. What I you- find uh, New York City diner menus overwhelming. Well, you have specific things. You don't like any vegetables. I don't really. And you don't like fruit either, do you? I love fruit. Oh, really? I thought, I thought fruit was on your list. No, no. Fruit's great. I'll eat any kind of fruit, pretty much. There's food. There's some fruits I don't care for. I don't care for mango. Really? Yeah. Mango's one of the few that I'm into. Well, we're like uh, Jack Spratt and his wife, then. You know? I don't know. You don't know that poem? A nursery room, Jack Spratt could eat no fat, his wife could eat no lean. Oh, and so right, between yeah. the two of them, they lick the platter clean. I guess we are Jack Spratt, huh? Yeah. If they give us a platter full of meat and mango, we'd be able to eat all of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I eat meat, but I'm not a huge meat eater. There are times when I accidentally find myself not eating any meat at all for weeks. What do you eat then? Just bread? Uh, no, I'll eat like... Uh, bread uh, and fruit? No, I can have, like, pasta with tomato sauce. I can have, like, beans and toast. Uh, vegetarian baked beans. Where did uh, your... Uh, like a baked potato with uh, Heinz uh, imported English vegetarian baked beans. Where did your vegetable thing come from? I just lost the taste for vegetables at a young age, and they became, like, work. Like, I eat vegetables, but as medicine. I, like... I don't eat them as a meal for pleasure. There's no vegetable that I eat that I think, ooh, I'm hungry, I'll eat some vegetables. Right. I'll, you know, I, I was home recently and I went out for lunch with my mom and I ordered a salad and I just asked for, it was like, build your own salad. So I said, have a romaine lettuce, spinach, and carrots, no dressing. Right. And I can eat all those things fine, but I don't like them. I don't like them, but they don't make me yeah. gag. And... What I found was that it was just exhausting. It was just like, after a while, I was just so bored of eating it. Like, it was just like, I got it. I got half a salad left. And it's just chewing, chewing, chewing. Do you ever feel like this animal instinct to eat vegetables, though, where it's like you feel like you're not getting all the minerals and no. vitamins? And no, I mean, I Do you I, take I a multivitamin? I have at various points, although I read things lately that try to make me think that multivitamins are a big scam. Yeah, but... You I know, feel, I don't yeah. know what to believe. Okay. I, I take Centrum. So do I. Yeah. Centrum for men. Centrum for men. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to accidentally take one that's not meant for me. Um, but I, I do. You know, when I see those articles that say like multivitamins are just a big hoax, I think, well, that could be true. I don't know. Better. I, I mean, it doesn't. As long as they're not poison, I might yeah. as well keep trying. I agree. I agree. You know, maybe that. Maybe that they're wrong. So what are you feeling right now food-wise? I was actually, I don't normally get up this early, uh-huh. and you do, yeah. so I was feeling sort of sick this morning. Yeah. And you were in a grouchy mood when we met up. I was. I was. I uh, Yeah. I've been in a grouchy mood lately. Um, and I was, during the movie, I was very hungry, 
Because you know when you wake up to earlier bodies, like, well, I need something. I need, give me, you got to give me something. Right. And I was craving a BLT and soup. Ooh. Are you going to get that now? I might. All right. Just because I'm actually not craving that exact thing now. Yeah. But I'm almost doing it as a gift. To early morning JD. To the earlier version of me. Just yeah. to say that, hey. I was there for you. Better like, late than never. Well, because like, you know when you're, you're, like, you're like, I promise you when I leave this movie, I'm going to get a BLT and soup. Yeah. Even though I don't really promise. need one now, I'm keeping my promise to my... Former self. Yeah, former self, the past version of myself. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I'm in a breakfasty mood because it's afternoon now. I could just go right to lunch. Do you normally do breakfast? You do. So you have a you have an early morning. I have an job. early morning job. Normally for breakfast, I will have a uh, Faya uh, Greek yogurt. A what? Faya. I don't know that. F A G E. Okay. Uh, I don't. I. I don't eat yogurt. It's a Greek yogurt that comes in the two compartments. One compartment has either the fruit or the honey, and you like take a take a little spoonful of the yogurt and you dip it in the. You don't right. mix it. You dip each one. Right, or at right, least right. that's how I eat it. I've never had yogurt. You've never had yogurt? I think I had it. Well, I think I might have tried it once when I was like three. I as a kid, I didn't like soft consistencies. Yeah. It like made me gag. You like Jello? No, no, pudding? no. Never, never, never. Have you never had pudding? I've had it, but I've never... Have you tried it as an adult? I haven't. That's the thing. It's none of these things I've tried as an adult. Hey, we should do that during the podcast. Maybe. We can think about that six hours from now. Okay. But it might be fun to try some pudding or some yogurt. You yeah. Know? I mean, when was the last time you probably tried it? What age? How many years? What 20. Year? More than 20. More than 20. So uh, what do you think was happening in the world the last time that you tried yogurt or pudding? Hurricane Hugo, probably. Oh, you didn't like the movie Hugo. What? You didn't like the movie Hugo. That's true. Hey. Or are we already, already making connections? connections. <laughs> hey, uh, people who've stayed this long into the podcast have just gotten a little treat. We're in, you've got so much more to go. Oh, but you I think go, Hugo, you've got so, you've got so much more to go. I honestly think that the pot, this podcast will get more interesting as time goes on. Oh, I definitely know. As we well. settle into it. Because we don't know what it is yet. We're still figuring it out. This is right now, this is like the pilot episode. Because also right now, I'll say Chase. this, is that right now I do feel like you and I are talking like we're on a podcast. Yeah. And I think the dream is that in doing it for 12 hours, eventually we'll sort of yeah. just start talking as people. Uh, I think so. A quality about you and I that I've always, but I don't, have I ever told you this? No. Well, I don't know. Well, I feel like I've said this to other people. I feel like I've mentioned it to you. Yeah. Is that we're friends, but I feel like if you and I grew up in the same town... At the same time, we would have been, like, best friends. Yeah, I think so. Because we are into the exact, very similar things. Even though we're generationally different. Exactly. I was born in 1975, and you were born in... 88. 88. Yeah. 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 But, like, even though we're a generation apart... Yeah. The the ways that we, we interacted with things was weirdly similar. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird that you're into a lot of the things that I was into as a kid because I well, we are similar because I when I was a kid, even though I liked a lot of things were uh, uh, appropriate time-wise for when right. I was a kid, I also was very much into vintage animation and stuff like that. And a lot of things that you and I both like, like the Muppets and things like that, you were having to go back and like when you were born, Muppet babies were already walking around. Yeah, like you. You were 
too young. You were younger. You're younger than the Muppet Babies. Yes, absolutely. I think it might have been too that my I think my parents were very much um, they held on to nostalgia of stuff. Yeah. Or like, I don't know. That is interesting because I grew up watching a lot of movies that, by all accounts, didn't come out when I was. Yeah, the you age were having to dig them. back a little bit. Because a lot of the movies that I watched were the. Early 70s, 80s, 80s movies yeah. that were... Like, all the kids' movies I grew up with were movies that came out in the 80s when I was not around. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, like, even Ernest. You know, that was you digging back. That would be like me getting into stuff that was like kid shows from the 1960s or something. Yeah, because Ernest was my Which childhood. I was. Like, I was. I was watching stuff like Terry Tunes and old vintage uh, uh, Sigmund and the Sea Monster Beanie and Cecil I didn't really watch that much Beanie and Cecil but I was aware of it uh, no Rocky Bullwinkle I would wake up in the morning on Saturday mornings I would like Saturday morning cartoons would start at 7am that's right. when the networks would start running Saturday morning cartoons and I would every chance I could actually do it I would wake up so that I could watch the local station would show Rocky and Bullwinkle reruns at 6.30 in the morning and very often I would wake up at 6, go out in the living room, and I would fall asleep waiting for Rocky and Bullwinkle to come on and wake up as it was ending. And I would be so frustrated because I had gone through all the effort but right. overshot it. But I was very into Rocky and Bullwinkle, which that's something that, like, like my dad watched Rocky and Bullwinkle in college. Like, that was the thing that college kids watched. And I didn't even know why a local station would waste whatever money it would be to buy the syndication rights. Right. They must have been so cheap. Uh, and sometimes they would show Rocky and Bullwinkle, and then sometimes they would show Underdog, and I would, I would always be really angry when it was Underdog because I was like, this isn't the same. I never liked Underdog. It's, it looks the same to an untrained eye in that it's a cheap kind of animation of that era. But right. Underdog was not as funny, and it wanted to be. Well, also Underdog, it had, it, its world was a little more... Uh, strange in a bad way. I yeah. feel like the world of Underdog was like sort of cold and aggressive, but in a way that wasn't fun. Yeah. Whereas Rocking Bullwinkle, even like, even the villain, even the angry, weird parts of it felt like fun and cartoony. Like Rocking Bullwinkle is a great example of, you know, they'll say in in improv or in comedy they'll talk about how like being specific is really important, and if you're specific, uh, it'll be funny to people even if they don't know the right. specifics you're dealing with because I remember as a kid there'd be jokes that were Cold War specific jokes Yeah. at an age where I didn't understand what the Cold War was but I knew like oh this is funny they just made a joke about Congress Yeah. I'm like I know that's funny I don't know why but I know it's funny yeah like, I what's, feel like, what's strange is that, that to a certain extent that probably informed your, your political opinions probably yeah because like the first time you heard of Congress in an educational sense you're probably like oh there's something that was made fun of in this this way. Yeah, like I probably my views of like the military industrial complex are probably in some ways informed by early viewings of Rocky and Bullwinkle. Which is like that's how cultural sort of ideas spread and that's the, the power of sort of uh, it's true media and propaganda. Even even not overt propaganda, but the idea of like putting any sort of uh, political thoughts into things immediately you can trickle down yeah so I remember feeling that way about uh, like Muppet Babies another show that always had these weird references and stuff and had yeah. jokes like that in it and then from a young age then my reference for a lot of those things was jokes made up it already so my, my opinion of it before I knew something was yeah. something 
was an opinion created by like, another show. I know I would have watched Muppet Babies before I ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, exactly. And I knew that Indiana Jones was a thing. But to me, like, I saw the Raiders movies probably when I was in seventh or eighth grade, somewhere around then. Right. And I was aware of them. I knew that, like, oh, Han Solo, the guy, Harrison Ford plays Han Solo, is in another movie that I know that George Lucas and Steven Spielberg right. were involved in. But I was too young to see them when they came out. They right. were adult movies. I remember my dad going to see Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and I hadn't seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, but I remember riding, jumping on the back of his Volkswagen, begging him to, like, let me see it. And he's like, no, you can't. It's PG-13. Uh, and that was the first PG-13. That was, yeah. And, but it, so much of a big deal had been made out of this movie's too intense. And it was too intense. I would not have enjoyed it Yeah. Uh, at that age. Um, I remember one of my early memories is walking downstairs to the basement where my parents were watching Return of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. And my parents were like, nope, turn around, turn around, turn around. Because it was a job of the hut scene, and I was oh, like yeah. too young, and they were like, you're not going to like intense. this. You're gonna... But I was like, no, I want to see it, and I stayed. And I was sort of freaked out. Yeah. But then I like let it, I just dealt with it. Yeah. And then, to this day, Jedi is my my favorite of the movies. I think because... It's forbidden. It was, it was a my entrance of... into that, yeah. Yeah. Are you able... Now, let me ask you this. Are you... Because I have things like this where I I know that my opinion of something is informed by emotional things and not my so actual criteria. Can I predict your question? Are you going to yeah. say, am I aware that Jedi is not a good film compared to the first two? Yeah. Like, are you when you look at it, are you able to see how it... My, my thing with that always is how easy it is to look at Jedi and see how it could have been better. No, I cannot see that. Well, let me tell you this. Because, honestly, yeah. I, I understand objectively, Yeah. but I don't understand emotionally right to the point that i can't i'm like no jedi is great it's fun yeah because all the beats that are it is wrong fun. it is fun all the beats that are dumb and don't make any sense yeah. are beats that to me are no that's how jedi goes yeah there yeah, couldn't yeah. be a yeah hi there uh i think we're ready to order yeah sure yeah um could i have um two eggs scrambled sure um and i'll have that with uh ham yes and an orange juice uh orange. small orange juice uh, and what soups do you guys have? Today we have... Uh, Shady is ordering right now. Okay. Uh, can I get a bowl of chicken rice? Yeah. And a BLT? And then just a water would be great. What kind of toast you like? What's that? A toast. Uh, white. Thank you. Something to drink? Uh, water is great. Thank you. It's your second water of the day. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we started drinking more water. I, it's good. I Everyone says you should. As of like three weeks ago. You're gonna get thin. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I had, I'd like. Really, a, for those of you who have no idea, JD Amato is rail thin. Why are you saying that? No, in a good way. In a way that our culture values. Um, I've had actually some some weight issues recently. Really? No, not not too heavy. It's been that oh, I've gotten to a normal weight and then. Due to stress and you anxiety, I've lost. I've been losing weight, and then it's I not need, good. I I've been having to drink Ensure. Oh my God, JD! The easiest thing to do in America is to not be thin. Our no, whole but, culture is built on valuing thinness and preventing it. Well, number one, I can't really gain weight. Just my metabolism is not into that. And then number two, 
anyone can gain weight in America. Right, but I would feel sick and awful. You know what I mean? Like no, even eating big, McDonald's and stuff like that, no. I would not be able to. Even things that are like just have some bread every now and then, you know? Right, right. But I do that, but I just yeah. don't. But I, my stress overwhelms my ability to eat bread. Uh, I have more stress than my than ability bread. to eat bread. To more stress than bread. I have more stress than bread right now. Let me say this about Return of the Jedi. Okay. This is a one major factor that I always feel like. It's not even me saying to Lucas, like, you know, do it different. It's like the first movie, you know, uh, uh, very simple. There's a big thing that blows up planets, and they need to blow it up. Right. And then, yeah. Oh, JD wants to interrupt me. Go ahead. This, I think what you're about to say crossed my mind. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, This thought crossed my mind recently. mm Mm-hmm. And it like sort of blew my mind. Yeah, I've, I'm interrupting what you're gonna say, but because you, like, you know what I'm gonna say, I think maybe the idea of a second Death Star. Is not, is it, that's not what you're gonna say. Close, but basically, the idea of a second Death Star mm-hmm. is such bad writing. Oh, to have a second Death Star. Yeah, in the... I always took it for granted. It's like, yeah, of course it's a second Death Star, but it's like. Well, that's uh, that's such poor writing. Well, it it really, but and the thing is, it's it's such an easy fix, which is that you have a Death Star in the first movie. Second movie throws the whole rulebook out the window. There's no Death Star in the second movie. It it has a completely different structure. You see different kinds of worlds. The third movie, there's something about returning to a Death Star that's like we're back in business, baby. That's her thing. But my feeling is, I know they like the trick of this Death Star's not quite finished yet and then it's a trick not fully operational it's not fully operational but to me I feel like the Star Wars movies operate on very simple logic there's a bad thing we have to blow it up their bad thing blows things up we have to blow it up right how cool would it have been if instead of it being that the trick is that it looks like it doesn't work but it really does and you know this just because they tell you it does if the second Death Star had either had been a dummy Death Star, and the real one was like a hundred times bigger than right. the first one. Or there were a hundred Death Stars, and they've moved. Right. Um, I feel like there are very simple, bigger, faster. There's things that they could have done that would have, thank you, that would have spoken to the Star Wars audience in a very easy way. Yeah. That instead, it's very abstract. Like this Death Star looks like the one from the first movie. But it looks like an unfinished one, but it's actually more powerful, and you only know this because you're told it's more powerful. Right. I mean, if you're going with, like, the sort of, like, nuclear arms yeah. theme, then the... Build the, a bigger Death Star. I think what it should have been is that the Empire, the Empire had been building more Death Stars and giving them, like, trading them. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, no, and now there's tons of these that need to be destroyed. Yeah, or else we're in big trouble. And I feel like that's not—that's just one fix. That wouldn't even cost them really much more money. They still had to design effects. Just draw it bigger. Yeah. Um, Literally, just make the ships. Just make smaller. the ships look smaller, and have it be clear like this is bigger than the last Death Star. Yeah. I wouldn't even mind if the line of dialogue was that on the nose. This Death Star is bigger than the last one. <laughs> like, as opposed to as opposed to it's times fully more. operational. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's something that I've never had a problem with. Yeah. Ewoks. Me neither. Are they fun? Never had a problem with them. And you want to know what's even weirder is that I grew up watching the Great Ewok Adventure. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll come out with a, uh, an opinion that I've always maintained, which is uh, the 
Caravan of Courage and the uh, Battle for Endar yeah. are the uh, fourth and fifth best Star Wars movies. I, it's weird, but I honestly agree with that. The weird battle at the end with the giant, uh, like, troll, whatever they call it, yeah. thing, is, like, more terrifying than anything in any of the, the they're prequels. Done, they're done on TV budgets. They're a little cheap. The aliens are a little more rubbery. But they feel more like Star Wars movies. The only thing that's bad about Caravan and Courage and Battle for Endor... Don't you dare say Wilford Rimley because he's a star. No. Is... I'm like me, you got very into the Star Wars universe. Yeah. There's always these asterisks that have to be put around the universe now. Yeah. Because those movies came during the the 80s, 90s fantasy boom. Right. When fantasy was like the thing that ever like it was like the 80s was the real core of it where it was like, oh, fantasy movies. Right. The, the technology for costumes like that and just like the cultural zeitgeist now we're in the superhero phase yeah there was a fantasy phase back then yeah so suddenly the star wars a sci-fi universe got injected with witches and warlocks yeah it was a little bit like willow and that's exactly and so in the star wars universe (coughs) it's always like oh yeah there's the bounty hunters there's the empire there's the rebels oh and then there's also like jadegar who is a witch who wears a red dress and she's in charge of the fairies. Yeah. And you're like, uh, magic doesn't quite fit. And then all the outer universe stuff really messed that up. So then it was like, oh, they had kids and then those kids ended up having, it's like, <coughs> turned into a weird fantasy world. Yeah. Like, they mixed fantasy into the sci fi too much. And then it was like, there's yeah. all these weird things. It was like, just ignore the witches that are in the Star Wars universe. Um,. I don't mind it. I mean, you remember more specifics about the Ewok movies than I do. I probably only watched them in the 80s. I know I never watched those movies in the 90s. You want to know the most heartbreaking thing about the thing that stuck the most with me with those movies, and that to this day is like a weirdly heartbreaking thing in cinema. Like something that like I think about is like one yeah. of the saddest moments I felt as a child. Yeah. Was when what's her name? Sindel, right? In yeah, the girl. Yeah. yeah. Um. Is it Sindel? I think so. Where she has a wristwatch. Yeah. With red lights on it mm-hmm. that represent her family. Yeah. And if they are alive or not. Mm-hmm. And, like, after the, the the thing crashes. Yeah. And, like, the whole war happens. And she hides and she gets saved by the Ewoks. Yeah. She looks at her wristwatch and she sees the other ones fade away. Yeah. She knows that her parents have been killed. Yeah. And that, like... Just that image, the close-up of the wristwatch, yeah. and the two red dots, but anyway, like really. You're sad stuck they never. You're sad that they never started making those watches. No, I would. That would be the saddest. Watches. That would be the saddest piece of Star Wars merchandise you could buy. Yeah. Buy a wristwatch that when your family dies, the lights go out. Yeah, I would not be into that. But I, just, awesome. I remember that shot of the watch and just being like, my yeah. heart sunk during that. Well, because. You, that was you cared about the characters in those movies, which that's the huge difference. One of the huge differences between that and the prequels is that right. you didn't really care about any of those people. Yeah, you know? I agree. Um, now, speaking of Wolf of Wall Street, yeah, um, I would say probably I haven't read a lot of reviews of this, but I would imagine that a knock on this movie from a lot of people would be that 
it's hard to find anyone to really root for in the movie, which to me is not a deal breaker for a movie. To me, a movie just needs to be interesting. You don't always have to have a relatable... And also, it's very much in the format of Goodfellas, Casino, yeah. which are movies where there's also no one to root for. Mm-hmm. Right. Although... I think you do root a little bit yeah. more for Ray Liotta and Lorraine Bracco. Because I think they, they're they more um, cognizant of the fact that they are doing bad things. Yeah. They're not trying to convince you that they're good. They're like, I'm going to tell you a story of how I messed up. Whereas the narration in this is a lot more yeah. outward. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Our food has arrived. Um, yeah, I mean, I think, um, I mean, I saw, earlier this week I saw American Hustle, which I won't say too much about, because I know, J.D., you haven't seen it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I mean, there's, in some ways, they're similar kinds of movies. You know, they both have that frantic sort of, they both have a frantic energy to them that is that people associate with Scorsese or I know as our friend Rob Ballone is very big on saying it's not that American Hustle is not Scorsese it is more uh, influenced by people who were influenced by Scorsese he right. says it feels more like Paul Thomas Anderson doing Scorsese right mm. and I think that's there's some truth to that but I still I still feel like it uh, more people because of the era of that, that in which it's set more people would I think it's still fair to say it's a Scorsese kind of yeah style um, but I mean I had fun watching Wolf of Wall Street I enjoy all the big bravura. I don't know how I say that. I probably just said that word wrong. The big bold sequences of uh, all the excess. Right, all the lavish excess and all it's the money. Interesting, like it's something. It's something no other filmmaker is as good at showing as Scorsese is. It's just like this is a huge mess, huge mess, and something that you will never see in your life. And it also feels real. Like I'm sure there's some effects work in that movie. But it felt, it felt like you're it, watching real stuff being filmed most of the time. Yes, I agree. Um, I also felt like um, there were a lot of sequences in the movie that you notice this more during a long movie, where I thought a lot of good actors in it, a lot of really well cast parts in the movie. I think it's probably the most fun. DiCaprio performance in a Scorsese movie. This is my favorite performance of Leonardo DiCaprio, I think, period. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought he did a really, really good job. I thought he was great. I've liked him in a lot of stuff. I feel like in other stuff, he, I, I see him acting harder. Mm-hmm. It's like he's acting. Where in this, it felt like he was just he's, like sort of in it. He's great in this. Jonah Hill's really funny. Out. Right. A part of me felt like the reason he might have been better is because he's surrounded by people that aren't necessarily as equipped to act, capital A act. Right, he's he with more fun people. Right, so then he sort of like, it wasn't like an act off, it was like an exist off. He loosened up. Yeah. Jonah Hill is hilarious in this. Matthew McConaughey is on fire 
I feel like in almost everything he does these days, it's yep. so weird to look at Matthew McConaughey, who, when he first hit big, he was announced when A Time to Kill came out as like, this guy's the new Tom Cruise. And then I feel like for a number of years, you know, he was in, he'd been in movies before A Time to Kill, but that was the one that sort of Hollywood announced, like, this guy's a star. Right. And A Time to Kill was kind of like, here's a dull version of Matthew McConaughey. We just want you to be a dull leading actor. Not, he wasn't bad in it, but it, he's not exciting in it. He's not visceral in it. And if you'd seen him in movies like Dazed and Confused before that, where he plays like the, the high school... Wooderson. Yeah, the, the senior who's still hitting... Uh, the, the graduate who's still hitting on high school girls. Um, that's the... I feel like that early McConaughey, he's gradually found his way back to that. Like, he had a Hollywood phase where he was, I think, underutilized in a lot of... Not and exciting movies. He was a punchline for a while. Yeah. And... You said Matthew McConaughey just meant, like... Party guy. Got the shirt off, partying, yeah. And the funny thing is, I feel like what's happened is, the thing that people were making fun of is, this is a guy who makes boring movies, but who's really attractive, and he's a crazy party guy. And somebody, either he or somebody else, finally figured out a way to bring the party to the screen. Like, let's, let's not have you make boring movies... And then we read articles about you being arrested naked playing the bongos. Let's film you naked playing the bongos and put that in our movies. Did you see Mud? Yeah. Great in that. Yeah. Um, did you see uh, Magic Mike? I didn't. He's so much fun in that. And that's just like... Right, that's just him. Him. Doing him. Having a blast. And this is one of my favorites. Him and this is just like... If you... You can't take your eyes off him. Uh, He's in it for a very little amount of time. But that scene where they go out for drinks and go out for a liquid lunch, I was thinking during that scene, like, this is a long scene, but I'm also like, I see why he kept this long scene in. This is all really interesting. And there were a couple points during the movie where Scorsese just lets a really long scene play out. Yes. Um, the two most memorable scenes that I'm thinking of right now. Uh-huh. Are that scene the lunch? For whatever reason, it just stuck out. Yeah. When he starts doing the, the chant, he does the little yeah. That's so weird. But then also, and that chant is one of the best parts uh, of the preview as well. The way that chant is used in the trailer for Wolf. Wolf. I don't. I don't think I watched the trailer. Watch the trailer is also excellent. Like even go watch the trailer just for fun, just to see a great right. trailer. The way he uses Matthew McConaughey in the trailer, he doesn't spoil it, but he just it makes you want to see the movie. And then the other scene that I just love was them on Quaaludes, uh-huh. the, like the, the Quaalude action scene, pretty much. When he's trying to drive, yeah. Leading into the thing between him and Jonah Hill. Yeah. Like, that was just, like, some of the most... Exciting. Was, see, my my whole thing with film, and almost anything, improv it the same way, but I feel like one of the, the goals, the dreams, is that you um, you create these worlds... And create these just these justifications, so that at some point in your movie, you have a scene like that, that. out of context. Yeah, would be nonsense. Yeah, but in context is meaningful and interesting and totally gripping. Uh-huh. And that's one of those scenes where these two guys are like crawling around the floor, making these like goofy faces. But it's the most intense, yeah. crazy thing, and it's all justified and it all makes sense because of the hour and 45 minutes you've just seen 
Um, not yet. Not yet. No. Leading up to that. Yeah. I mean, the way. Um, we just got quieter in here because it got quieter in this. <laughs> yeah, it got quieter in this diner. Um, the way that there's sequences in this movie, like I don't want to say there's one sequence that I'm not going to mention what it is, because I found myself genuinely surprised to be watching this movie, and then suddenly you're watching what's happening on screen. It was near the end. It was in the last third of the. Mouth it to me so that the viewers can't. Like yeah, there's yeah, a sequence that. Uh, that I was like, I can't believe. First of all, the the restraint of the people editing the trailer that they didn't use any of that uh-huh, footage. Uh-huh. Where you're like, this is in the movie. Like I never thought this would happen. And then another thing happens that you're that makes you question if you haven't already started questioning the. This is based on one man's account of what it was like. Right. And there are things in the movie that happened that I feel like probably didn't happen. Like when. The, yeah, exactly. Where you yeah, just yeah. you start realizing like, oh, this guy is a liar. Uh, but it makes the movie exciting. Well, it's your classic unreliable narrator thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's one moment where he says a line, and I was like, there's no way that's true. And I was like hoping that it wasn't true, and then I was like, oh, no, I guess it is true. And then about ten minutes later, they come back to it, and you realize that what a character said was not true. And I was like... I knew it. I yeah, knew there, all along the story a, was being told There's a falsely. detail that happened. Like when the car pulls out, where I'm like, they yeah. shouldn't have made it look that good. Exactly, exactly. Um, I was really happy with that because I got tricked into thinking. Yep. I'm going to spoil a little bit. of. Have you ever seen um, uh, The Prestige? No. Okay, then I won't spoil it. There was a detail in that movie that I thought was a mistake that turned out to be a very subtle acting choice. Right. And... It, even when it was revealed, it wasn't called out like, this is why you got... Like, I found myself criticizing an actor mentally where I'm like, oh, this thing they're doing isn't quite right. And it was only, like, reflecting upon it after watching the movie that I'm like, oh, he, like, took the risk of maybe making his performance seem less good than it was just for the... uh, just for being true to the the spirit of things that aren't as they seem. Um... A more obvious version of this, too, was... Uh, you see Monsters University? Uh-huh. That first fake ending? Yeah. I was mad. I, I was, was mad, like, too. I was, I was like, well, you guys have, like... You guys jumped the shark. You made a bad Pixar movie. Pixar has violated the spirit of other Pixar movies. Yeah, they didn't like, have the guts of Toy Story or the other... Yeah, I was like, I was like, I was like, you guys are... You, you wrapped it up. And it's like, yeah, Pixar's done. Yeah. And then they called it out and made the reverse. And I was like... Literally, I like was like, yes! In the yeah. theater, like, chanting... There are things like that where if uh, if a movie tricks you into thinking that they made a mistake and then they reveal that, no, we didn't make a mistake, we tricked you, like the amount of, res- I feel like your body releases yeah. some sort of chemical that is like, a, 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 whatever the body's chemical version of respect is, where you just, you just feel like, oh, you got me. That's why Penn and Teller Get Killed is one of the best films ever made. I love that movie. I've only seen it once. But it's a very hard movie to find. It's I think it's a genuinely my memory of it is loving that movie, loving the ending of the movie. Um I guess that movie is considered a cult classic, but I don't even know it. I feel like that movie's so obscure now that it never gets screened anywhere. No. Hey. Hey, bring back the secret movie show. We should screen it. We should. 
Um, I'd be into that. Um, if you want to see a secret screening of Pantella Get Killed, please review this movie, uh, this podcast on iTunes and say that. Yeah, or uh, tweet it at the official show Twitter, Twitter. account. Um, what's, how many letters are we allowed for the Twitter? I have no idea. Just search 12-hour day podcast, J.D. Connor, Twitter, in Google, and then it'll come up. I say J.D. Connor, one, two, HR. Or one, two, HR, J.D. Connor. Yeah, one, two, HR, J.D. Connor. There's no way that's taken. Whereas I Connor with like the, an O. Yeah, C-O-N-N-O-R. Yeah, tweet us if you'd like to see a secret screening somewhere of the Pan Teller Get Killed movie. Uh, I. Why is it that films that people love disappear like that? Like, why is it that cult films exist? Shouldn't the idea that they're is it just because they missed the the fertile period? And I mean, that is what it is. They missed the fertile period under which they would make money off of that audience. I don't know. I mean, like, or the audience isn't big enough for whatever the uh, distribution mechanism is at the time. Yeah, I mean, certain movies just get forgotten, you know? And a lot of it, I think, I feel like has to do with um, ownership and contracts. It's, it's one of the things that I think, one of the reasons, I mean, not that, not, this isn't an underlying reason, but it's a sub-reason that my generation, your generation, and younger, I feel like are the generations that kind of rebel against copyright yeah, absolutely. Like, there's definitely the amount of piracy that exists. In part, has to do with. I feel like our generations look at like what, what like the Disney Corporation, the way that Disney's sort of calling the shots on how long copyright stays, because they don't want to mm-hmm. lose the copyright to, to Mickey Mouse, which right. right now they should have already lost it. Right. The new rule is 75 years after your death. Yeah. And. So, which is, a, which is a long time. Very long time. And, um, I mean, there's still, I feel like they're still going to get to a point where <coughs> Mickey Mouse is a publicly, public domain character. What's interesting, though? Tell me what you think about this. Yeah. I think they're getting to a point where Mickey Mouse being a public domain character wouldn't hurt them because Mickey Mouse is so archaic to yeah, their no brand one... that it will not matter. Yeah, I mean, already at this point, Mickey Mouse is uh, culturally irrelevant as a character and uh, is more valuable to them as a trademark, which they still have. Um, <coughs> but it's not, it's not like popular enough that anyone using it instead of them would really dilute their brand at all because now their brand has nothing to do with Mickey Mouse. In fact, <coughs> all their attempts to make Mickey Mouse uh, an updated part of their brand have been utter failures. Yeah. Just because that's not how people identify with but like, content anymore. But the way that, like, if you look at the way that, I think people all the time run into things like, you know, there's a TV show that you want to watch, but it's not available anywhere, and it's owned by some, you know, company, owns it, they're just not going to do anything with it. Right. And so, like, a TV show that I'm very fond of from the 80s was a, a show called The Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. 
A few years ago, some guy uploaded every episode of the Days and Nights of My Dog to YouTube. He set up a whole channel for it. Right. And then it just got pulled because one of the big corporations owns the rights to that. Right. But they're, they've made no effort to do anything with it. It's not on DVD. It's not streaming on any services. And there's a part of me that feels like if you're a corporation, you own a property, and you're not doing anything with it, it feels like at a certain point you waive your right, your moral right to own that artistic thing. If you're only... Right. You know, we just saw the trailer for The Monuments Men, which is all about Hitler and the Nazis stealing art and destroying it. And I feel like if you're a corporation and you own the rights to the days of Nazi Dodd and you won't let anyone see it, how are you different? I mean, sure. many ways. Many ways. Let's, let's put that up right up front. But in terms of the, the destruction of art, there is an element of, like, if you're just going to keep it buried in the vault forever... No new generation can come to appreciate it even in a small way. Um, I hate to bring it back to Star Wars. Yeah. But just last night I was watching a, I guess, an informational video uh-huh. about uh, this group online that is reconstructing the original trilogy. Yeah. It's called the, the website is originaltrilogy.com. Uh-huh. And they're going to these lengths that are incredible to bring the movie back to its pre-special edition yeah. phase and a high high quality version of it Yeah, to the point where like there's like five primary sources that exist that they can use Yeah, and like some of them are like 16 millimeter video recordings right. like video recordings of a 16 millimeter print of the movie playing that they're taking digital assets from that and then superimposing those onto aspects of the, the HD version and you know re-uprising everything it's like right this whole process just to... Restore a work of restore art. Restore it. And to me, what I was going to say before is that, like, there should be a thing where, like, groups of people can adopt content from the owner. Right. And be like... Like, there should be, like, a like a CPS for content. Where it's like, you're mistreating this. The government's going to take it away from you and give it to parents that will take care of it. Right. And then I felt like this... Um, this group is almost like this like group that's like breaking into George Lucas's house and like stealing this from him because yeah. honestly it seems like there's people from inside uh, like ILM and Lucas films that are like sort of like sneaking certain assets out to people like right HD um, stills from like background plates that they need to like cover up like dobacks that have been digitally put into certain things right so it's like literally like this like covert effort. How, how far along are they? I think they uh, A New Hope is completely done. Wow. But you should watch the video on it. It's, like, pretty amazing the, the, the lengths that they went to. I mean, it... Like, digitally reproducing old puppets from stills of those puppets that were taken out that don't really exist in HD anymore. Yeah. And then putting those in and then animating those to match the puppetry of the... It's, like, re- weird stuff just to, like, return it back as close as possible to a, a high-res version of its original form. Right. Um, I, I think that is... I think there's a moral element to, to culture. And obviously, I, don't, I think people need to be paid. I think people need to make, be able to make money from their properties. But I do think you reach a point where... Um, I do think you reach a point where people are mistreating cultural artifacts. Right, or, either through neglect or through uh, yeah, but that thing is mostly neglect. So it'd be one thing if they were holding it back so they could release it later to a greater fanfare or something, yeah. something like that. But it's no, it's just neglect. Right. And then the graph of return on that is 
spiraling downwards because it's not like an audience can get more excited as time goes on. It's just going to eventually disappear yeah. to the point where it is hurting the property. I always felt sad that um, like the Beatles' um, original CDs of the Beatles albums were notoriously like badly, badly mastered. Right. You could hear it. They didn't sound great. You could hear it, but... You could, I mean, they, it sounded like the records, but the sound quality was not as good as other reissues at the time. And they were, I mean, I think literally the last major important group of that era right. to have their albums uh, properly remastered and put out in, uh, in new editions that sounded better. Right. And I felt like, well, two decades went by. And during that two decades, how many people who really cared about the Beatles died and were never able to hear really good Beatles remasters? Right. And it's like, you wasted a bunch of time. And a lot of people who really love the Beatles, who would have really gotten a kick out of hearing these things maybe in 1994 or 1995, and you dragged your heels and you waited until 2012 or 2011 or whenever to put them out, I think, well, that's just sad to me. Yeah. You know? Um, put it out while people can still, while there's still an audience that cares about it. Right. I agree. I mean, for all I know, I'm the only person who wants the Days of Nights of Molly Dodd to be available in some form. But then again, obviously someone else, someone more obsessive than me tracked down copies of all the episodes and uploaded them all to YouTube. Well, for me, there's this weird... I was... I grew up watching Hey Vernus Ernest, uh -huh. the Ernest P. World the television series. Saturday morning cartoon show. Which, which was an excellent television series and arguably that, paved the way for a lot of strange television shows to come. Yeah, a lot of Adult Swim. Yeah, and um, and I I would actually argue I, I always felt like the Hey Bernard Turner Saturday morning TV show. My memory of it was that there was a purity to it that maybe made it the essential Ernest. Like if you can only watch one Ernest thing, I'd be only tempted to say well, let's watch the show because it was a more bite sized. It didn't have to carry a narrative like a feature film right. has to. And it was a little more just played for straight comedy. Yeah, just fun. Like, it was close to the spirit of the commercials that he started out doing yes, the character. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Um, Whereas in, for, in, a, in a movie, you have to have a love interest and a villain. and Which is always sort of goofy for the Ernest things. It's like, who could love that man? Yeah. <laughs> who could love this I weird... thought you were about to say it was goofy. Like, who would be a villain? To, who would treat him wrong? But it was... It no. was who could love him. No, it, the idea of him getting I've, married is, like, not part of the character to me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <coughs> um, I have another thought based on that idea, but I want to finish this thought first, which is that for decades, they weren't available anywhere. They're just these poor, low-resolution things uh -huh. you find online. They always get taken down. Yeah. So, like, copies of Haver and Ernest were impossible. And then maybe two years ago, they finally released on DVD. Mm-hmm. The whole first season, uh -huh. which I have and is amazing. Yeah, you done now. Thank you. They re so they released the full. Yeah, they released everything back, and mm -hmm. so just watching through it, I was like, "Great, I have this now." And then I showed it to my dad, who loved Ernest. Mm -hmm. There's all this stuff that it was like finally able to go back down memory lane for this thing, right? That otherwise probably I would have just given up on eventually and yeah. never seen again. Yeah. Like, there's an episode with a butterfly called the Honey Oney that uh -huh. is, like, a famous, one of our family famous running references. And when he goes, Honey Oney, Honey Oney, Honey Oney. My dad would always say that. But I could never see the original thing from back when I was yeah. living in 
the South with my parents, you know, in Atlanta, Georgia, watching these episodes live. Right. And then now I got to watch it again, and Austin, it was like this weird reinvigoration. Yeah, and it's funny how, like, some things... And I think, I think I'm more or less aware. I know that sometimes people have beloved childhood memories of things, and they go back and revisit them, and they're like, oh, this wasn't as good as I remember it being. But I think I always had, like, two categories of things. Like, I... I had things I knew, I enjoy this, and it's great, and it's the best thing there is, right. and I'll always enjoy this. And I think I've mostly been gr on target with those things. Uh, and then there were other cartoons that I really liked, but I also had a sense of, like, I probably just like this because I'm a kid. Right. Like, I was aware, like, I would watch the Smurfs, and I got really into the Smurfs when I was a kid. But I think even then I had an awareness that, like, the TV animated version of the Smurfs was a diluted TV version of like the original Smurfs comics, which were a little bit right. better drawn, a little bit more interesting, I think. Um, my my test for that was always like if I wanted my parents to watch it with me, if I wanted to, if I right. like wanted to be like watch this with me, watch this. If it was like <coughs> the Smurfs or something like that. I would always yeah. be like, no, I'll watch I'd it be embarrassed own. that I was watching that. Yeah, to a certain extent. That's a really I never thought of, but that's a really good barometer because there were things that I'd be like, Dad, you got to watch this, um, and. And then there were other things that I think I was aware, like, this isn't great, but I'm enjoying it, and I right. like cartoons, and there's nothing else on, or whatever, you know. Um, and, like, I, the Mighty Mouse and New Adventures, that would have been something that at the time would be like, I want my dad to see this, this is really weird. Right. And that was uh, Ralph Bakshi, but it was also uh, it was John Crixfalusi, who right. later did Ren and Stimpy working on those. So I was, like, very aware that, like, this is funny in, like, a grown-up way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I always watch Wacky Races with my dad. Yeah. I love Wacky Races. That is such a genius. There was no main character, which meant that every race, yeah. anyone could win. Yeah. Literally anyone could win, which no show does that, where you can watch and be like, I legitimately don't know how this is going to end. Most cartoons you watch and you're like, I know the good guys are going to win. Yeah. This was like, the Red Baron could win this one. The Anhill Mob could win this run. Like, you literally had no idea. They raced uh, through Missouri once in an episode of Wacky Races. There's a Missouri race. Really? Yeah. I think, if I recall, their version of Missouri was, like, Hillbillies, which that is... I think I remember that exact episode, honestly. I think you can find that in Missouri, but it was not my experience in Missouri, so, you know. But you're I, also I from outside of St. Louis. Yeah. But they, they weren't, like, going past the arts. They were, like, going yeah, through, like, exactly. it was, like, dog patch. That's what I'm type. saying. Is yeah. You're from a different part of Missouri than what they were making fun of. Yeah, they were really, it was, they were going through the Ozarks, which was very Wasn't much, it, like, like, Missouri mud something? Uh, something like that, yeah. I think I watched Wacky, less, I saw, didn't see Wacky Races as much until I was older and I would catch it on, like, Boomerang or something like right. that. Um, I remember Laugh Olympics. Do you remember that? It yes. It was, like, Wacky Races. I don't remember which right. one first. Um, but it was a similar thing where it, right. it was like Hanna Barbera was It'd like be Yogi Bear all your cartoon car, characters yeah. were under contract. They treated them like movie stars under the studio system, where it's like right. you're all under contract to us. Yogi Bear, you got to be in this show too. Yeah, um, yeah. Those are always fun. Yeah, but I was always aware, like watching Hanna Barbera cartoons as a kid. I was always aware that like Hanna Barbera, uh, um, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, I think were their names. And I was aware, like, when you'd watch a classic Tom and Jerry cartoon from the 50s, it was really well animated, full animation and everything. And I would see, like, oh, Hannah and Barbera directed all these. And then I would get a sense of, like, oh, and then they went off on their own. Right. And they did, like, the Flintstones. And, like, the Flintstones seems better than the Jetsons. 
I'm like, right. okay, the Jetsons is later. And then I'm like, the Jetsons seems better than Scooby-Doo, even though I love right. Scooby-Doo. But I, I hate you, Scooby-Doo. You started getting a sense of, <clears throat> you started getting a sense of like, oh, these guys kept finding a way to making cartoons cheaper and cheaper. Exactly. And you could kind of see the devolution of, like you guys started off making, and you didn't even, you, they didn't even start off at the top. They weren't no. even like Disney or Warner Brothers. They were MGM. Yeah. And, uh, but you could see them figuring out ways to do things. By the time they get to Scooby-Doo and later on, Ugh. a lot of the fun moment, has gone out of it. moment Shaggy-Doo entered the mix, game Scrappy over. Scrappy-Doo, whatever. Uh, that, God help us. Well, you know. That, that, to me, that was the tipping point of society. Scrappy-Doo? We, we started going down. That was the point where I was like, we, we can't come back from this. Um, that, was the, that was the slippery slope that we stepped over and we'll never come back. I'm always surprised. The thing about that is that, um, was he Scooby's nephew? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Because that I, know, that I know that this is a little piece of interesting trivia that I right. like, which is that uh, Tony the Tiger from uh, um, yeah. Kellogg's Frosted Flakes, there was a brief period where the ad agency gave Tony the Tiger a wife and a child, and... What they realized, what they didn't re- know before, was that prior to that, kids, when they saw Tony the Tiger, Tiger, they related to him. They thought he was a kid like them. Right. And when they gave him a wife and a child, all of a sudden kids were like, wait, you're our dad? Yeah. You're, you're, and they just immediately got rid of the wife and kid. They were like, yeah. go back to him being, they're great. Right. And I'm surprised that didn't happen with Scooby-Doo to a certain extent. It's like, oh, Scooby-Doo's not one of us. He's... An, parental figure? Well, you want to know what it was? That To me, it's Tony the Tiger, you're supposed to trust him. Yeah. He says they're great, you're supposed to believe it. Yeah. If a kid tells you it's great, you believe it. If a parent tells you it's great, there's ulterior motives. Right. Now, Scooby-Doo yeah. was an idiot. Yeah. So, <coughs> if he's a kid, he's an idiot. If he's a grown-up, he's an idiot. He's just an idiot. Right. Uh, I have a vivid memory that, of... That man looked like... Uh, he looks sort of like uh, Woody Allen, Who? which is funny. Just thinking about when he walked in, he walked in a direct Woody Allen way, and I was like, thinking back to our discussion of Woody Allen. That's right. I, w- I hope. And I was like, how great would that have been? If there is a chance in? during this day that we could run into Woody Allen. We're in Manhattan. If we do, we're going to get him on the podcast. That would be a major scoop if we got yeah. a Woody Allen interview midway through a twelve-hour podcast that people look up to. We're just we're casting wide a twelve-hour net. Yeah. That's the only way you can get him. If you do a one hour podcast, you're never going to. The odds of you running into Woody Allen are yeah. slim to none. 12 hours, you got 12 times greater chance. I agree. Should we pay and go to the uh, training center? Yeah, let's do it. So um, I think we need to plug in soon. Yeah. Um, now, I think that. Um, I have a vivid memory of um, watching. Uh, Watching a Scooby-Doo episode in my home as a child, and it was during a rainy rainstorm, a thunderstorm, uh, and uh, and uh, I remember the signal going out, and it was an episode of Scooby-Doo where uh, the Harlem Globetrotters were the guests. Thank you. Do you want change, by any chance? Sure. The Harlem Globetrotters were the guests on the show, and they were the guests on 
every show. I know. They did a lot of shows. But I, I loved the Harlem Globetrotters when I was a kid. I thought they were hilarious. Right. Uh, I had a little book that was like the history of the Harlem Globetrotters. And probably the only sports thing I was ever interested in because they were well, your funny. Well, da- your dad met Hallie Bryant. That's true. There's a, uh, the video online, both the original version of my dad interviewing him and then the Luke version uh, that, that JD created to put online. Um, but I remember being heartbroken because the antenna, the signal got knocked out during the show. Right. And I've never seen the episode. Yeah. I still have that feeling of like, I never got to see that. I mean, I'm sure I could have seen it by now. Yeah. I remember the time feeling like, the TV signal is going away, and it's during the one thing I really want to see. You, you had know? a lot of, uh, I feel like there's a theme of like, lost opportunity is your biggest fear. Probably, yeah. Because like, you brought it up both in terms of planning to watch, um, what's it called? Uh, Moose and Squirrel. Uh, oh, Rocky and Bullwinkle. Rocky and Falling Asleep. Yeah. Falling Asleep. Also in terms Not of... Not being able to see Days and Nights and Molly Exactly. Dodd. All this stuff. Where yeah, it's the like, things... Well, I tell you, you know, I'm a real sucker for... Um, I mean, like, not, if you became rich, you wouldn't spend any of your money because the idea that you could have spent it on... You would be not able to spend it on something that was... Would come up in the future. I feel like would stress you out. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not quite to that extent. But I would spend a lot of money trying to recover lost opportunities. Um, what would be the first one that you'd recover? Uh, oh, the it would be the. I put all my money into trying to get the ten hours of the election day footage back. I feel so bad about that. Uh, that kills me. Yeah. I know, but, for but, those who but, don't know, I love there's a whole backstory to us now. Because <laughs> <laughs> theoretically, this audience does not know. They have no idea what that show. is. Yeah. So now we have to. It, well, <laughs> there's so Google many it. things that we have to explain. The Chris Gethard show being a show that I direct, that Connor performs on, that is a comedy variety show that we did at the UCB Theater where Connor and I met, then it ended up on public access television where I directed Connor, still performed. But then I did a bit on the show where I, I ran for president on the show, and it led up to a uh, 12-hour uh, broadcast uh, that was a, there was a, a simulcast, simulcast where I did a 10-hour simulcast in a, a, in a second studio and a huge portion of that simulcast was lost it was not re- it was failed to record because uh, someone forgot to press a button to record several hours of it so I I did a, a broadcast to no one right well there was like a, a handful of people watching no because you have to uh, the people who were, there was a 12 hour episode of the Gather show happening live and a simultaneous 10-hour broadcast of me. Right. So I was I was only being watched by the smallest fraction of people. You had people. about 13 viewers. I had about 13 viewers. Average. Who knows how many of those people were actually paying attention. Or I bet just it, had you muted on another tab? Yeah, I bet it, I was open in, in 10 tabs. And I bet at least five of those tabs, it was like people who were going out doing errands and doing other things. They just had it on. I bet at least one person. One person that. may have watched it. Oh, you should find that person. And have that. Oh, I need the people who reconstructed A New Hope. Yeah. <laughs> to interview, to track down and find that person. OriginalTrilogy.com and then there's OriginalMeltdown.com. Yeah. Uh, I would love to. That's what, 
I love how you presented me with what would I get if I had the money to, and I immediately went on a, 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 a fool's errand of trying to get something. So I could really get all of the other things. I could get Days and Nights of Molly Dodd. I could get that Harlem Glenn Thrones yeah. episode. The one thing that I'm going after is the thing that's it impossible. Really awesome. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. Um, and <laughs> hold on, we're JD and I are just leaving some tip money. And uh, now we're gonna head back out. Looks like it's still raining out. What's the crowd noise like in this? Is it pretty ferocious? Or are, you, are we still dominating? Uh, I think we're still dominating. I think we're still loud enough that it works. Okay, that's good. I think you're louder than I am. Yeah. Well, that's always true. It's one of the things I like about the audio setup is that I'm I'm on a lab mic, so I've actually just wa- I'm walking far away from JD, so I'm still being recorded on the podcast, even though JD doesn't know what I'm saying right now. Oh, it's raining out. We are really in it. Oh man, it's really raining. It's coming down. Um, I'm gonna just zip up in this coat. Uh, I'm going to remain unzipped. Um, I will say this. Uh, I, I, feel, I like the way... I was a little nervous, I think, uh, watching the movie, and I was like... I wasn't sure whether you were going to like the movie or not. What? Wolf of Wall Street? Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and and I wasn't, there were times when I wasn't sure whether I was either. You know, there were times when I thought this could right. really go off the rails. Sure, sure, sure. This could get really tedious. And... I definitely liked it at a level where if somebody said to me, uh, oh, I saw The Wolf of Wall Street and I hated it, not that I would try to convince someone of, that a movie's good if they don't like it, that's pointless, but there are some movies that if someone says, I hate that movie, right. I would get really passionate about it, and sure, there are other sure, movies sure. where I'm like, I understand why this movie isn't for you. And what would this fall into? This would definitely fall under like... like I don't know that I would... Like, my parents both have really good taste in movies. Here's a trick. Yeah. What's the trick? JD's trick is to go into the subway. JD just turned to me and said, here's a trick. And, and then walked into the subway. I don't know if this is the trick. This is the trick. That we're not going to get wet because we're in the subway? We get to cross the street. Do we need to cross the street? Yeah, we're going to the training center. Uh, should we go up one trainways? Where does it take us to? It takes us to 34th or whatever, to Penn Station. Is that closer to the training center? Rain-wise, you know, when you're in the rain and you're wet? That's like you're only two blocks away from the subway when you get out from the training center. All right, we can go up one. I mean, we've well, paid. Here's, here's another trick. <laughs> what? We're going to take the subway. Oh, we're going to go. Some of your tricks are just basic... Uh, <laughs> Basic New York City living. Um, hold on. Um, I would say for Wolf of Wall Street, like I would, I would say that I would probably recommend it to my dad more than my mom. And huh. sometimes I think my mom. Well, uh, uh, my mom had back surgery like a year and a half ago. Right. And so I know one of the factors was that like. Uh, she uh, wouldn't be able to sit through a three-hour movie right, right, right. in a theater. My dad was in surgery too, so he wouldn't need either. So for both of them, out. but even for watching it at home, I feel like it would hold his interest more than it would hold her interest. I feel like my mom would probably watch it 
and kind of get the point real quick. Like, I get it. Uh, and not want to see it play out. Yeah, that, like, in some ways, like, I don't think I would recommend it to... Because in some ways, the experience of watching the movie is the experience of being around... Um, like, I would relate to, like... Have you ever seen the, the HBO miniseries Generation Kill? I have not. It was the David Simon... Uh, it was the first thing he did after The Wire for HBO, and it's based on this book about uh, the second uh, Gulf War. Right. And uh, most of the episodes of it, I mean, it's really well done, but the experience of watching it is unpleasant in a way that I believe is like, oh, yeah, I probably wouldn't want to be in an army division in the Persian Gulf. Right. And it felt like a lot of the characters were very unpleasant in a way that I'm like, yeah, this feels like if you made a miniseries about what, like, gym class felt like to me in high school. Sure, 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 And sure, sure. at a certain point, you're like, I don't want to be around these characters. I can imagine someone's reaction to Wolf of Wall Street being, I don't want to be around these characters. Right. Um, so I wouldn't... I liked it because I found it interesting enough to withstand, to make up for that. Uh, like a boring version of this movie, you'd, then you'd be like, I have no relatable characters and the content isn't interesting, you know, right. or whatever. Um, it's going to get loud for a second. Yeah, this part's going to be a little loud. A uh, train is now coming into the station. That's just one of the things that happens in New York City. Um, it's a trick. There's a trick. Um, no, but what I was going to say before, even though I've just said something that's... Uh, uh, Stopped very short. Somewhat critical. But I was... I was nervous that, like, what if we both don't like the movie? Then I was like, I don't really want to do a podcast where the two of us, like, say bad things about Wolf of Wall Street. Um, yeah. Because I do Because this, this is a Wolf of Wall Street podcast. podcast. Yeah. And I think we both uh, liked it. Um, but I liked it with the, with the mm-hmm. asterisk next to it being, it's not for everyone. I could easily imagine a lot of different kinds of people watching the movie and it not being their cup of tea. Right. I mean, that's true in a general sense of all things, but it's truer of some things than of others. Yeah, I agree with that. There are some movies that you can imagine someone not liking. There are some movies... I can imagine someone walking out of this movie halfway through. Yeah. And being like... It looked like someone did, but then they came back. Oh, okay. They just didn't like the middle part. There was one thing that I didn't like in the movie. Ooh, interesting. One scene. Okay. A scene with no dialogue. I wonder if you can guess what it is. Uh, A scene with no dialogue. That I didn't like. That I thought... I'm trying to think. I've seen it It clouded the message of the movie to me. Was it a long scene? A lengthy sequence? Not at all. I don't... I have no idea. I'll give you another hint. Okay. It's very apropos that I'm bringing it up right now. Oh, the scene with uh, um, Kyle Chandler in the subway? Yep. Where it made it look... Now, I want... Would you have liked it better if they'd shown that scene and have him be happy in the subway? Uh, I would have not liked that at all. I mean, I would have liked it if that scene did not exist at all. I think I would have liked it more if he was happy in the subway. Yeah. But I thought the whole movie was very much... I mean, it depends what you want to take away from it yeah. as a viewer. But to me, it was... I, I didn't like the, that glorified the character of Leonardo uh, DiCaprio. And I didn't think he deserved to be glorified. Um, it glorified Kyle Chandler's character? No, it glorified Leonardo DiCaprio. DiCaprio's character. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I didn't feel that was I didn't feel like that, that was deserved at all. 
Um, just story-wise. Let's go to the second. I think you're reacting to that that was a very cynical shot. Right. It was him basically saying, oh, man, uh, all he got is three years and has to pay a bunch of money, but he had lived all that life and I'm stuck here. Yeah. Uh, it's the opposite of the ending of Goodfellas. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. We're in a very crowded uh, subway train right now. Um, hey, I'm bleeding onto your mic a little bit now. I know, that's true. Is that going to cause an audio effect? No, because I think we're recording in mono. Oh, classic. Yeah. Um, Oops, whoop, sorry. sorry. Um, I have nothing to hold on to. Yeah, nor do I. Um, I, I can, sometimes I try this trick on the subway where I, I try to become a tension rod. Yeah, that's what I do that as well. Yeah. I have a better chance because I'm taller. Yeah, you can almost do it with your head. Yeah. But that doesn't really help with the side-to-side movement Yeah. as much. Um, and you get tired very quickly. Well, let's think of... This is an interesting experiment to go through. Okay, let's, let's go through Scorsese movie endings. Okay. Because as I think about them, there's certain ones that are cynical and certain ones that are less so. Uh, there's certain ones that almost seem like a dream. Right. Um, certain ones I don't remember, but I'll go through the iconic ones that I remember. Right. The first one that comes to mind, uh, just because we mentioned it, is Goodfellas ends with, uh, you know, he's in the suburbs. Uh, suburbs. He's a, oh, th- these are going to be spoilers if you uh, listeners yeah. who have not seen Scorsese movies. We're going to spoil some endings here. Yeah. Uh, so uh, skip forward twenty five minutes. Sure. Now. Um, Skip forward until you hear the the background noise change twice. Yes. Um, all right, we're going to try to get off the subway now. We're still recording. We're getting off. Um, all right, we did good. Um, Goodfellas ends with him in the witness protection program, and he's a, a sh- just like a schmuck or whatever the last line is. I'm a, just another schmuck. Right, exactly. Oh, man. A lot of people in the subway get very pushy right now. Uh, we're in kind of a crisis mode right now in terms of there's so many people on the subway platform that a lot of behavioral norms have gone out the window. I'm going to hold the microphone because I feel like it looks more, uh, people will treat us more like real podcasters on the subway. I'm noticing a lot of times when people are... Uh, I'm wearing the headphones as like a comfort because I can hear less of the people around us and yeah. more of just our voices and it makes me more comfortable. The thing I notice is that people tend to... Uh, when, when you get into a very full subway platform, uh, people are not shy about getting violent. They lose humanity. They, they lose their humanity to a, in, in a remarkably fast uh, pace. Okay, wait, what's the best way out? Uh, this way, right? Let's walk to 7th Avenue. All right. Now, uh, so Goodfellas is the opposite ending of Wolf of Wall Street and then he right. he feels bad about it whereas the end of Wolf of Wall Street is he's in a country club prison and he's still rich and Kyle Chandler is still a schmuck on the subway and they shot it like he's he's in prison he's been in prison his whole life yeah and Taxi Driver you know uh, my friend Jeff Falzone I remember him once saying oh I know Jeff Falzone he didn't he treats the ending of Taxi Driver as if it is everything after the cops show up at the brothel right. is Travis Bickle's fantasy. Which I know a lot of people had that... Wait, Travis Bickle? <coughs> yeah, Robert De Niro's character. That's, 
isn't that his character from Taxi Driver? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Taxi oh, I'm Driver. Sorry. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes. I got everything from the point where the cops show up and he points the finger at his head. Oh, yeah, and absolutely. Does that. Yeah, yeah. That, that, everything that, after that, that is that's a, a, that's a uh, frequently understood yeah. theory about the movie. And I think it holds up. I mean, I'm not one. I know a lot of people have that theory about the end of Breaking Bad. Uh, but I think in the case of Taxi Driver, the way that Wait, lasts, what's the Breaking Bad theory? That, um, that Walt uh, dies in the car in New Hampshire he di- and and the keys falling from the the uh, visor the, the the thing up top right everything from that point on is a revenge fantasy that he goes through in his final moments uh, that he dies in that car and the cops find his body there oh interesting and, and his whole uh, Gretchen and Elliot his whole thing with the Nazis his whole thing with rescuing Jesse his whole thing with uh visiting Skyler and all that stuff. Right. Um, <coughs> but in the case of Taxi Driver, that whole last scene where you see all the news stories, it's like vigilante hero rescues yeah. teenager. Uh, I don't think that's the way the New York press would have covered what he did. No. Also, we're walking through the Long Island Railroad right now. Yeah, we're, we're in Penn Station. We're in the bowels of Penn Station. How do you think the New York press would have handled it? I think the way that Travis Bickle rescues Jodie Foster uh, is so is so uh, slapdash, and you know he just went in, right? Guns ablazing, he shoots some unarmed people, I think, in the process, or people who didn't have their guns drawn. Yeah, I don't think he would be treated as just like, oh, you did a good thing. I think it would be like he did this. This maniac went in and rescued this teenager. Right. Um, but it was such a bloodbath. And when he sh- then when the cops show up and he goes, when he makes that gesture at his head, I think he would have been treated as a crazy person, not a hero. I don't think he would have been driving a taxi anymore. Uh, I don't think that Sybil Shepherd getting into his cab makes much sense as a real thing that happens. But I do think it makes sense as a fantasy right. for Travis Bickle. Sure. Because everything else in the movie doesn't feel like a fantasy. That last scene feels like a... The, the mood of it is uh, uh, different than any other scene, you know? Yeah, we're walking under a large air vent right now. Ugh. We're right next to the chop and toss. Uh, uh, this would be a bad place to work. The chop and toss cafe bar in Penn Station, one of the sponsors of this podcast. Uh, that is not true. Go in, uh, next time you're in New York City, go to Penn Station on 7th Avenue, go down the escalators uh, or the stairs that are right at the main entrance, go to the Chop and Toss Cafe Bar and tell them that JD and Connor sent you and say you'd like the Chop and Toss 12-hour special discount. That's one free topping on top of a medium salad and an extra dressing of your choice. Offer good every 12 hours. All right, we are out on the streets of New York again. Oh, and it's raining again. It is still raining. We have picked a day, haven't we, JD? This is the first day it's rained in a long time here in New York, also. Oh, you know, use your body to block our audio recorder from getting wet. Okay. Um, If I if we'd known, we could have called this uh, JD and Connor's rainy day rainy day podcast. Uh, but then, then I feel like it's going to take a lot of effort for us to get this back 
yeah. do this again, and then we would have had to sync that up with it raining. Yeah. And I don't. I think that would have made us never do this again. Or, or it could be that uh, what would happen is maybe the next episode of the Rainy Day podcast wouldn't be on a rainy day. Uh-oh. Oh, this guy's angry. That guy's dealing with it. Anytime you hear us comment on something that we don't explain, it usually is that we almost bumped into somebody because we're like, right now JD and I are racing through crowded streets of New York City trying to avoid other pedestrians who are frantically trying to get out of this rain. Yeah. Uh, This is not great. JD's a little bit ahead of me right now, so I can't hear him when he talks. Yeah, but but I can hear me. I'm in his headphones. I'm going to cut right across here. Okay. JD has made a decision to walk across the street, not where the light is. Oh, I'm going a different way. i got six seconds to get across the street. Oh, oh God. All right. <laughs> I just stepped in a puddle, too. Oh, man. Boy, I uh, wish this was a visual podcast. That part would have looked amazing. Well, what's funny is that in the audio, you just started breaking up a little bit. Yeah. But it sounded like we were still next to each other, but... We were... We split apart. We split apart pretty far there. Yeah. JD walked across in the middle of the street. I ran to the corner and then booked it across the street. And then screamed and many people on the street turned to look. It's true. I didn't see that, but I I did spare a thought for the fact that JD was getting my scream full on in his headphones. Or cans, as we call them. (laughs) Here at the 12-hour podcast. Okay. JD and I are going into the... Oh, no. What's happening? Is the, is the training center not open? What day is it? It's the... Oh, maybe for the holidays. Oh, oh no. What are we going to do? We're going to need to plug in. How are we going to plug in? What are we going to do? Uh, let's see. Uh, it didn't even occur to me that there wouldn't be classes over the holidays. Right, of course there's not. <coughs> oh, man, we're in trouble. Where can we go? Let me look at our battery situation. Should we head back to your apartment? We can do that. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Down to two bars. Okay, do you think we can get home to your apartment? Yes. What's the best way? Walk over to Herald Square? Yeah, take the end. All right, let's do it. We should have stayed on that stupid train is what we should have done. Ugh. Well, I hope there's not an edit point in this 12-hour podcast. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think there will be. I don't think it'll bother me nearly as much as it would bother JD. I think... I'll make sure there's no edit point. The 12-hour... Put a roof on this. <laughs> JD just walked under a thing that looks like it's a glass uh, 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 roof and <laughs> it's just a frame there's no glass over it and I could see him realizing that he was still getting rained on and his, his sense of betrayal was uh, you could see it on your face JD wait I know where we can go where here can you get out my phone here well, yeah. I got it here All right. Um, I'm going to try to keep it from having any dead air in this podcast right now. Yeah, thank you. Um, what were we talking about before? Oh, no. Okay. <coughs> oh, I feel like longtime listeners of this podcast, which I think we're already at the point in the podcast where we can refer to anyone who's still listening as a longtime listener of this podcast. Yeah, if you're listening to this, you are a longtime listener. How many podcasts can you say that? Within the first episode, they already have long-time listeners. We might. I wonder if we're going to be the longest pod. 
podcast. Oh, actually, well, Guthrie Show had an episode that was 12 hours long. So that's what we got to beat. Longest that, audio podcast. And that wasn't that wasn't a podcast. A podcast. That was on a TV show. Yeah. Yeah. This is a podcast. This is its only form will be a podcast. Yeah, we're not going to stream this. And we are under 12 hours for that, so we will beat that. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm trying to think what. Oh, so other Scorsese movies: The King of Comedy ending, which was very controversial at the time when it came out, which was that um, that uh, Rupert Pupkin gets to be a TV star, basically, off of his notoriety. Some people argue that that one's a fantasy ending as well, but a lot of people at the time when it came out. Who are you going to call? The Verge. The Verge? What's The Verge? Uh, that's a production company done this block. All right. Let's just go to your place. We can do it. Mess. It's what? This is a real mess of a day. Ugh. Well, you know what they say. Messy days. Messy nights. That has weird implications. What? That has weird implications. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, no one says that. It's not a phrase. Um, but a lot of people, when King of Comedy came out, a lot of people said that the ending was ridiculous because that's a movie about uh, Robert De Niro plays Rupert Pupkin, who is a, uh, I would say, a mediocre talent. I think that's the best thing about that movie is that he, right. it's not that he's the it's not, worst. It's not a movie about the best or the worst. He's a, he's a guy who wants to be a stand-up comedian. He wants to get on... Uh, the equivalent of the Tonight Show, uh, Jerry Lewis plays a Johnny Carson-esque right. talk show host, uh, and Rupert Pupkin kidnaps him uh, and holds him hostage and makes the show put him on the air live as like a guest host on the show. Right, exactly. And the ending of the movie is sort of like that he becomes notorious and therefore becomes a success. Is that he does well. Uh-oh, we just lost your mic. You ran out of batteries. Okay. Well, we can still do this. My, my mic's out of batteries. Do we want to go into a battery store? No, I have batteries in my backpack. Okay, we can switch it out. We, but uh, it'll be inadvantageous in to do it right here. Okay, I'm taking the reins right now. So you're talking about how the end of the King of Comedy... You believe it to be a positive or a negative ending? Well, just at the time, people thought he's a psychopath. He would never become famous. Right, exactly. And but he became famous in being a psychopath. But that that movie essentially was cynical at the time, but like a lot of satire, it later came true, in the sense that now being notorious is enough to get a a certain amount of celebrity you know like a lot of people who aren't talented become celebrities just through being badly behaved right exactly um casino um, ends with uh the reversal you think that he's you, you the movie opens on you knowing that he's blown up and you think he dies yeah. but he doesn't Oh, man. We're walking. Sorry, there's dead air right now. 
We're walking down the subway and it is puddles everywhere. I've lost Connor. Maybe he's coming around the other way. I don't quite know where he went. There he is. He got held up behind someone who was having trouble navigating the puddles. But now I just look like a crazy person. Everyone's looking at me because I'm just a man. So that's those batteries. So it must be the receiver. The receiver must be out of batteries. Yes, that's what ran out of batteries. Yeah, we can. They're in the in my backpack. In the big pocket, there's a Ziploc bag. And in the Ziploc bag will be the batteries. So if you take those out. Right now, Connor's lavalier mic has run out of batteries. And it's becoming very apparent that Connor was doing the brunt of the work and making sure that there's no dead air. Since now, as it is my responsibility to have no dead air, I'm struggling to continue finding things to talk about. There's no, it should be in the Ziploc bag. It only requires two. So now we're here in um, good old Herald Square. We've been getting a lot of looks all day from people. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, I think people think that Connor is a famous person that I'm interviewing uh, and that I am some sort of reporter, which has been interesting, especially because Connor's definitely doing more of the uh, talking the other way. Push them together. There we go. And there we're going. One battery in. Uh, we're switching out the Duracell for some Rite Aid brand home batteries. I find them to be just as reliable. Uh, yeah. I just believe that Rite Aid has their own battery factory. Yeah, I'm sure they're all the same. Are these are they facing the correct direction, Connor? Good. Connor's putting them back in. How am I now? Let's see. Okay, am I broadcasting? Connor's back in. All right, I'm back in the game. Um, all right. You want to hold on to those batteries for me? Yeah. Um, so anyway, so we're in the subway station now. We're racing the Queens. We're in a battle for uh, battery power because there's only so much power that we have left before oh, sorry. we need to plug in. Yeah, exactly. We got separated again. Yeah, it was uh, it was tough this time. I didn't know where you went. Well, the, the woman with a cane got between us, and right. she was very slow down the stairs. And there's a big puddle. There's a big puddle, and also... When she got dry, she took the opportunity to stop walking, put away her umbrella while the whole time I was standing right. in the rain. Now, I cut her some slack. She's older. She's walking with a cane. It is a struggle to get around New York City in the best of health. Um, so I, She was diminutive of height. She was short. She was old. She was a little bit uh, impaired in the way she walked. So I don't blame her. But I do still feel a certain, uh, there's still a, a moment of indignity where I'm stuck standing in pouring rain while she's dry and waiting. Now, you, you famously have moments of indignity. I feel like your fuse in New York has gone very short to the point that maybe you've become cynical when it comes to public transportation. Well, no. See, I love public transportation. I think that uh, it does feel to me like I just want it to be better. Sure. I'm a big believer in the public sector. Right. Well, also, your problem with it isn't necessarily the transportation. It is the public. It's the people. Yeah. 
Now, some of that is if you cut back on the number of trains, for instance, or you cut back on services, then you have more people vying for services. Right. Uh, and it gets ugly very quickly. And you famously live in a part of New York, mm -hmm. in Queens, where there's a lot of people that are commuting into the city yeah. and only one train line to get there, really. Yeah, and it's a good train line. The 7 is a good train. I disagree. I don't think it's a great train line. In terms of service? Yeah, still. Yeah. What do you think is bad about it? Uh, I think it's uh, inconsistent. It often doesn't come, or when it does, it comes in droves. Yeah. I think the trains until now have been dirty trains. Mm, I call them classic, classic. I think the I think the routes vehicles. are inefficient. The routes of the train. I don't like the left turn it takes before going into Manhattan. Ooh, yeah, maybe. Um, Listen, I'm not I'm I, not trying to get down I on know, your train. I, I can t I can already see you withdrawing and sort of just being polite when I'm talking <coughs> badly about your train. I know that uh, in terms of customer satisfaction, the seven tends to get higher ratings than most of the other train lines. The N is pretty high, though. I think the N is usually one of the top. One of the top. Not as high as the 7, though. I, don't I mean, we're getting territorial now because JD rides the N. Uh, I think the N is better than the 7. I mean, I can't look it up because I don't have a signal down here on the, waiting for this N train. Uh, uh, but Yeah, because underground 7 trains have all the internet you need. Well, if we were at Times Square waiting for the 7, we'd be fine. Would we? Checking for internet, yeah. No. There's internet service. Now, this is actually in fairness, the N, the N at Times Square also Actually, no, this it. does have service. I'm looking at it right there. Where? Wi-Fi? The, those three hanging things. That means there's service here. Well, I'm not getting anything on my BlackBerry. Wow. Is that a problem with the N or a problem with the fact that you have a BlackBerry? No. Hey, BlackBerry Curve is here to stay. You're ahead of the curve. That's right. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times last weekend about... Uh, how some BlackBerry users just won't give it up. And among the people listed in the article were President Barack Obama and Beyonce Knowles from Destiny's Child and the Beyonce Knowles solo albums. I'm not impressed. You're not impressed by President Obama and Beyonce? No. Well, okay. I'd love to see who impresses you. I think those are two very impressive people. They're mildly impressive. Who's, who would be impressive well, if they used the BlackBerry? Obama's only using the BlackBerry because it's part of a security thing that's been just unchanged. Yeah. No, he has a, he has a touchscreen BlackBerry. He doesn't even have the kind I have. Right, but I'm just saying yeah. that their system is set up to pull security for the BlackBerry. Also, he's a pretty cool guy. Okay. And Beyonce. She's pretty cool, too. I'm not that into. I'm not that impressed by Beyonce. I think she gets <coughs> maybe a little more credit than she deserves. I think she does good songs. Right. Uh, People elevate her to a status that is I mean, much higher than maybe I think she deserves. I think she's better than Elvis Presley, and he had an iconic status. Okay. I think Elvis Presley also. I'm not that fond of musicians, is what I'm getting. I think Who's your favorite musician? Man, music's a weird thing. <laughs> Because now that like I'm like I mean as like the names that came to mind I'm like well these people aren't that impressive like David Bowie was someone that I always grew up loving. Well, you like him because of Labyrinth. It's probably true. That's probably where it started. Yeah. What? But then it's like yeah he's. Oh, he's great. But then I guess I guess it's just like a nihilistic point of view where it's like well nothing's impressive anything about it. I went through a brief period where I was I intentionally pronounced his name the way they pronounce it in England. It's David Bowie. Yeah. Which is. Frustrating. But 
but that's not the way David Bowie pronounces his name, so it's not accurate. Right. You got you got to fundamentally go with the way the person pronounces their own name. Yes, of course. But I I did enjoy it for a, a, a certain uh, smug, funny. Because you lived in England. I lived for in a England short time. for five years. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was five years. Yeah, from ninety, from the beginning of ninety six through, uh, that's the end of two thousand. Ah. <coughs> ah. During um, which time I was in third grade. Oh my God. And then ended in uh, uh, the sophomore year of high school. Oh, so third grade was at the beginning of it. No, yeah. <laughs> I went. It took me. It took me five years to get from third grade to sophomore year of high school. Actually, that was probably then. Pretty, it's closer than you think, yeah. right? It feels like from third grade to sophomore should be like a lot longer than it actually is no but that is like six or seven years yeah. so I was probably in fourth grade then yeah um, let's talk some more about other musicians that you respect other musicians that I respect I uh. feel like I feel like judging from your the first person you mentioned yeah. and the fact that I was immediately able to trace it back to a non-music related reason I feel like the musicians you respect will not be because of the music, unless the people you mentioned are like James Horner or someone like that. You know the ba- the band that I was obsessed with as a kid? And I wonder if you... I bet you will not be able to trace it back, but it is very traceable. Oingo Boingo? Yes. Really? Oing- Oingo Boingo was the ba- my favorite band all growing up. I got that right? Yeah. Okay. Did you just know that or you No, just I didn't know that. I guessed it because that seems like a band you would be obsessed with. Yes, I love I, we've Oingo never Boingo. Talked about, we've never talked about this... And I've never heard you reference Oingo Boingo, but I knew it. Yes. Oingo Boingo is a band that I, to this day, and know every I, song of. And why, what do I trace it back to? I mean... Uh, it is not uh, not strictly Danny Elfman related. So it's not the... You like the movie Hot to Trot uh, with... Uh, no, thanks. Uh, you like the movie Hot to Trot with... Someone just handed us a uh, brochure for the Shenyang 2014 uh, all-new... Show with live orchestra at Lincoln Center, January 10th through the 19th. Um, the New York Times says 5,000 years of Chinese music and dance in one night. <laughs> that's so a very constant. positive review. Just that, that's not a... <laughs> no, but the Chicago Tribune says beautiful, a nimble mastery. And the Charlotte Observer says an explosion of color sound. in there. Right. I'm good. Oh, no, no, I got the one. Um, you can order tickets now at 1-800-818-2393. Um, As we talked about this, the person handed them out, attempted that, to hand us more. Yeah. Because we of our interest. We were handed a brochure, and I immediately started reading the brochure. I think it, I don't know if it encouraged the person or made them uncomfortable, but. Either one. Um, um, you love the movie Hot to Trot with Bobcat Goldthwait and John Candy as the voice of the horse. And Danny Elfman did the score for that, and that led you to research. Uh, no. No. I knew it wasn't that. That is my go-to Danny Elfman reference because it's not one that anyone thinks you of. You know, Oingo Boingo was the uh, the band in uh, 16 Candles. Oh, no, Back to School. With Ronnie Dangerfield? Yeah, I believe in Back to School there is a party scene that Oingo Boingo is the band. And that's what you that's how you got nope. into it? No. How I got into it is something that, uh, actually it might be just outside of your my dad had on cassette mm-hmm. the soundtrack yeah. To Ghostbusters 2. I have it on vinyl. Then you should know the song Flesh and Blood I, by Oingo Boingo. I would listen to it 
rewind the tape and then listen to it over and over again. And I knew exactly how long to hold down and rewind for. Is it in the movie? It is in a very, like, for like a moment, I believe. Okay. I, th- I think it's just is? the baseline. I think it might be when they are... Um, right before Flip City... Like the moment when they're all when he's like visiting all the F one, yeah. And the song is F throw flesh the F throw flesh, F throw flesh It's like when it's time to party, but boom, ba dum ba dum. It's like very strange. And yeah. The chorus is after all we're flesh and blood. And I, I love mean, that song. And then I think that was the first time that I was like, I like this song. My dad was like, Well, you should look into that band. And then I went and I got Oingo Boingo. Like, I mean, Oingo Boingo hits enough of the marks of other things you like. Yes. Um, that I feel like it, it, my thesis is still true that most music that you're into will connect to something else other than just like, oh, I love those songs. That's true. Uh, let me think of other... Uh, I mean, I wasn't into music. Growing up, almost all the music I listened to was connected to movies in some way. For me, it's either movies or my dad. Yeah. Like another band that I loved growing up was a band, Nectar. Nectar? From the 60s, 70s. And they had all these bizarre rock opera. Like the first one's about an intergalactic circus, but the music is like very like jazzy, instrumental. It's like French lead singer. Very yeah. good. But it was just because my dad was into such strange music himself yeah. growing up that I got. Like I listened like Bootsy Collins because my dad was like, this guy's weird. Yeah. But for all intents and purposes, Bootsy Collins should not have been a thing that I liked. Well, I will also say that at a certain point, everybody has like a finite amount of time right. for interests. And at a certain point, you have to let, everybody has to let some huge thing fall away. Uh, I think most people who really get into stuff, culture. Right. For me, I would say it would be sports. Like, I don't follow any sports at all. And I don't know how I would because the amount of time and attention it requires, I already feel like I fall behind on everything else. Right. And I feel like some people who aren't into music are hugely into, like, three or four of the other, like, main pillars of culture. Sure. Sports, books, music, movies and television, uh, comedy... Uh, what else? What are the other pillars? Um, business. I'll say like intellectualism. I feel like is yeah, a pillar. Like philosophy. People that are like really Science into like yeah. like into inf- yeah like there are certain people who just like I love documentaries. I love the news. I love public yeah. radio. I love and a lot of those people don't necessarily have time. You know. Um, it's like when you hear someone say, like, oh, or I... Or hobbyists. That's hobbyists, that's another big thing. If you're going to make... I feel like that's different than those, where it's, like, people who are into, like, slot cars or, like, model planes. Yeah. They end up carving something out of their life that's like, oh, I've never seen a movie in my life. And you're like, what? Yeah. But at some point, like, everybody... Either... Unless you're, like, a perfect specimen of moderation that you, like... I got a little bit of everything. I like a little bit of sports. I'm into my team... I go to the movies every now and then. I watch certain shows. I, wa- I read the newspaper or watch the news or, you know. But I feel like you have to, most people, if you really get into stuff, you have to drop at least one major pillar 
yes. out of your interest sphere. So are you saying that my pillar is music? To a certain extent, because, like, for instance, I remember when there used to be a Tower Records near Lincoln Center. Right. And they had a great classical music section. Right. And I always felt like when I would browse around that classical music section, like, even by a relatively young age, you know, in my 20s, I felt like, it's too late. Like, how am I going to, where would I start really getting into classical music? Like, to really get into it and really understand and appreciate the differences there's certain kinds of music that's like jazz, classical, uh, where you feel like if you really want to know what's going on, it takes a lot of time and a lot of attention. And I, I realized at a certain point, like I'm only ever going to be able to be a casual listener of these genres of music. And I think there's something about finding things as a kid that changes how you perceive them for the rest of your life. Yeah. Because you're able to become addicted to them, yeah. but in a way that is non-detrimental to the rest of your life. Yeah. So the things that you become obsessed with as a kid inform the things that you're willing to explore as an adult. Yeah. And I do think... It sounds like one of the windows is open, but it's not. What? It sounds like one of the windows is open, but it's not. Yeah, we're underneath the... Uh East River. Yeah. First podcast from under the East River and from AMC Movie Theaters. That's right. No podcast has featured both of those things. Yeah. And Until the same now. episode. Yeah, there are, I'm sure there have been podcasts that they'll do one up from the AMC 25 yeah. multiplex in Times Square and they'll do another one from live underneath the East River, but never in the same episode. Never. And if by some miracle there is one in the same episode, look for that edit point because it's there. Yeah. And if by some miracle it's not there, they definitely didn't go to Venus Diner. And if by some miracle they did, our hat's off to them. Then, Cause, cause then they did we, should, we should we meet them. Yeah. We should pay tribute to them. And homage to them. Yeah. Hats off to the, those who paved the way. We're now on our way to Queensboro Plaza. We're passing the Queensbridge Projects now. To Casa de Amato? Yes. Oh, no. What? It's only 3 p.m. Ah, how long did you think we were into this? Maybe a couple hours. Like a few hours. We're not even two hours. We're not even two hours. We're two hours into it. We started like 118. 118, 118, something like that. Um, oh no! <laughs> is this harder than you thought? Yeah. No, I'm just laughing that it's. There may be a nap in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> I was thinking about it. I might have to take a nap and just let you go solo for a while, um, and then we'll go to your apartment. Yeah, we'll take a nap and I'll go solo. <laughs> I have no problem with it. Um, I wonder. Or we'll need to start going to meet up with our friends. That's <laughs> a way to distract us. Um. It would be much easier if it was not raining outside also. It really would. They haven't made it easy. Uh, they have not made it easy on us. Not at all. Um, the gods must be crazy. Well, um, yeah, I mean, for... But you know what I mean? Like, there's certain, like, uh, 
I am also aware that as you get older, you start getting to a point where your willingness to uh, get interested in new things is somewhat diminished. That you get to a point where you're like, I know the things I like, right? And there's more than enough of those, and I'll just I'll just enjoy those kind of things. What's something you think you could have been interested in that you know you will not become um, interested in because of that? Um. Well, I see like. My mom's very much into like the St. Louis Cardinals, right? And uh, the I could see ba- you being a baseball guy. I could I could see you. I see a version of you that is a baseball guy. When I go to a live sports event, very rare occasions, always at the behest of someone else, I always enjoy them. Right. I always think, man, this is a lot of fun. But it takes a lot of time, money, and attention to really be a fan, even if it, you just read the scores or whatever like that right. even that takes a certain amount of mental energy absolutely I just don't have it but I could imagine a version of me that would get very much into the oh you know you see the way it provides people with like a a thing that isn't high stakes actually but it gives them the, f- the thrill of high stakes you know when your sports team doesn't win right you go oh no and it gives you that little visceral feeling when they do win it's great even though it fundamentally doesn't have any you see that on you. building right there with Which the, uh, the colorful up oh, what about it that's a uh, goosey's apartment oh really 40 year old goosey from yeah. the chris gethard show that's his uh art collective oh okay yeah not where he lives that is where he lives, oh, he lives in they all live there and work oh, there okay but i just like that it's visible from the train yeah it's good um hey you know something i like in new york I like uh, for a while I took video of all anytime there's interesting water in New York because New York is a very weird I always think about this I think about the world of like like Japanese RPG video games yeah where it's like in those games it's always like oh there's like the forest city and there's like the desert city and then there's like the like big metropolitan city and then there's like the water city and there's the to me New York, while it is the big metropolitan city, obviously, it's also yeah. a water city. Yeah. Like, if it were a movie or a video game, it would be the... It's yeah. an island. Yeah, there's water everywhere. There's water everywhere. And then as a result of that, there's, like, a lot of interesting ways that the New York deals with water. Like, every now and then, there'll be, like, a pipe that bursts in the subway, and you'll just see, like, a waterfall pouring down the stairs and, like, draining into the tracks. Yeah. Or, like, on these subway trains, whenever it stops, you see, like huge rush of water come across the windows in a way that I think it's all very like New York in its relationship with water is like very interesting it's just like trying to keep it out precarious yeah and well as you saw as we saw during uh, Hurricane Sandy right sometimes the water just takes over everything that, watch like when the train comes to a stop you'll see water like pour out over the windows yeah and I always think it's interesting that it's like oh yeah we're like in an island city Um, or maybe when it starts again. Maybe when it starts again. No, I saw some on this side. Okay. Um, what were we talking about before we start talking about music? Before we start talking about music? Yeah. Oof. No idea. Um, so who were we talking? Oh, I was. Oh, we're talking about my BlackBerry. That's how we got. Oh right. Yeah. Um. I just got an iPad. I got an iPad Mini. So did I. Uh, my sister got it for me for Christmas. My mother uh, got. My mother and father got it for me. 
Uh, it was an unexpected presence. It was not something that I was angling for. You know, much like my parents got me my first iPod, and it was not something that I had right. in my sights, like, oh, I want an iPod. I, prior to that, I think the most famous MP3 player was maybe the, the Rio. Right. And the I just never thought of it. I used to carry around a Discman, and I would listen to that. I don't yeah. know. And then when they, the second they got me an iPod, I was like, oh, man, this is perfect for me. I can put all of my music on it. Right. Um, and... I mean, it's technically not true now. I I have an iPod Classic, which is 160 gigabytes, I right. think. And I, I'm having to... I have a lot of stuff on it that I haven't listened to that I go... I have a system where I I rate songs as I listen to them. Uh, and I have three categories... Four categories that's of... That's such a Connor thing to do. I have four categories of ratings. Okay. Five Star is... This is a song that... I am fine with this coming up uh, anytime. Anytime when I'm in shuffle mode, I don't. I want to hear this. Yeah. Then I have three stars. Uh, is I want to keep this, but I don't want it coming up all the time. Right. Two stars is there's something wrong with this MP3 that's on here. Like every now and then you get like a corrupted file. Right. Or has like a skip in it or something like that, or it won't transfer yeah. correctly. So I'm like, I want to keep this song, but. I need to find another version of this. Sure. And then one star means when I get home, I'm deleting the song from my iPod. Oh, wow. Um, because there are what some... What are some examples of one stars? A lot of, like, I'll, I'll have... A lot of them be songs I don't know, where I'll, like... I have on occasion, like, torrented, like, the Billboard, you know, top 100 songs of 1995 or whatever like that. Because there's... Mostly because there's songs that I'll be like oh I didn't know who that was by but I know that song and I like it but it's something that I don't know who the name of the artist is so it's my way of sort of rediscovering songs I like that I don't know who did them but a lot of times something will come on and I'll instantly be like oh I don't need this Vince Gill song you know uh, right this is not the kind of music I like do you listen to your iPod on shuffle a lot I will usually listen to a playlist on shuffle it's rare that I listen to my whole but I have a playlist that is five-star songs. Right. I have a playlist that's five-star Elvis Costello songs. Why are these doors not opening? I don't know. We're on the subway train, but the doors aren't opening. Now they are. Um, and I have, a, I have some playlists that are like... I have one playlist that's just unrated. Right. And the second you rate a song, it drops off the playlist. Right. And so that's my way of then when I go home... I'll just sometimes go through and listen to like the first 30 seconds of the song and be like, oh, I know this song and I like it. Three yeah. stars or five stars. And then if I don't like it, I'm like, this is one star. This will be among the ones that I purge. Because my iPod is basically full. Right. And so in order to add new stuff that I know I like, I need to get rid of stuff that I don't like on my iPod. It's also a good way of passing the time on a commute. You know, where you yeah. feel like you're, it's fun, but you also feel like you're getting something done. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. I've, I've passed the time on many a late-night commute by going through and either enjoying a song, and I'm like, oh, here's this, I'll rate it to keep it, and, right. oh, no, I'm going to get rid of this, I don't like it. We are yeah. now in JD's neighborhood. Of Astoria, Queens, 30th Avenue stop. Um, and where do you buy your food, JD? 
Do you buy groceries? Yes, there is a key food down there which is, I like better, but there is a uh, uh, whatever the whatever. I will say I feel like it's raining worse here than it was in Manhattan. That's usually the case in Queens. Uh, and See, I'm wearing like this. See what? this? Oh yeah. I like that. I'm pointing to a, a pipe spilling water out <coughs> over a fence. Um, what are what are some of the interesting points about your neighborhood, JD? Um, it's a mostly uh, Queens was recently, based on the last census, it's considered the most diverse place in the country, mm-hmm. uh, which I like. And Woodside, where I live, is considered the most diverse place in Queens. Yes, exactly. And my part of Queens is mainly Greek, Saudi, and then there's a small Mexican area, and there's some Italian but mostly Greek. My street is definitely Greek. Um, right now we're walking underneath the above-ground subway track, which I really like in this part of New York, so you can sort of see the city as you go. Very French connection. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, like right now we're going to dive under the, the awning of the Euro Market, which is a European grocery store. Can it's we like, go in the Euro Market? Can we? Yeah. Yeah, why? Do you want to get something I there? might get something European. Okay. Does they really have European products in here? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Oh, boy. What do you What do you get in here? I don't come here that often, honestly. Oh, they got British chocolate. I'm going to get something. <sighs> I've never seen Connor more excited for something. Well, yeah. I mean, having lived in England for, like, five years, I've grown develop a taste for certain things. What are you looking for right now, specifically? I think we get a, a flake, a Cadbury's flake. You want one? No, I should be fine. Thank okay. you. Okay. I'm going to get a beverage of some kind as well. I mean, some of these things are just basic. Uh, I should come here more often, though. Yeah, I'm surprised. You're a man of the world, JD. Yeah. And, I mean... Spent many months in Prague... A lot, lot of lagers and things here. Yeah. Uh, I don't drink alcohol. JD, you don't either, do you? Nor do I. Yeah. Um, neither kind But I'm still impressed by the amount of lager there. I'm just looking to see what's the what here, you know? There's not yeah, a lot of... I get it. Where do they have juices and things? I feel like a good juice. What are you looking for? Juice. I'm sure it's in an aisle. Um, here we go. Here we go. All right. A lot of fun things in here. Uh, Milka, which I think is uh, Swiss, right? I think that's Swiss. No, it's made in Illinois. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's a, I guess, craft bar. But I thought Mil- Milka was Swiss or something like that. Might be uh, sold. Oh, interesting. Uh, I mean, a lot of times, uh, European brands will, uh, hey, did you know that, have you heard of Soda Shack? Oh, yeah. That's not European. No, it's not, but it's weird still. I've never seen that before. I I think I've heard of it. Yeah, Shaquille O'Neal putting his face on stuff. Soda Shack. Um, Hey, we have Lifeway Kefir. Uh... Hmm. That's a that's a whole other uh, explanation. Oh, here they actually have really good sodas here. Yeah, that's why I'm browsing through here, looking to see. I never realized this. 
the whole boiling section. I'm glad I'm introducing uh, you sumo. to something new in your neighborhood. What is sumo? This does not Maybe look I'll good. get a seltzer? Oh, oh no. Virgils? And then I mean, natural food there's something there. fantastic about a well-stocked supermarket, uh, particularly one that has things that are surprising to you. And what is this thing? Oh, I'm looking at something. Yeah, this is interesting. Looks like it's made in Moscow. It's like a Moscow lemonade. Oh, holy moly. You're holding vodka, Connor. No, that's not vodka. <laughs> yeah, that's they call it Moscow lemonade. Now, am I correct in seeing this? Yeah. Oh, weird. What are these sodas? Am I going to get... Oh, is this like a pear? I mean, these are giant. We should take a photo of this and send it to Gethard. Yeah, let's do it. You got your phone? You, yeah. Do you have a better phone for photos? Uh, I do, but I... I mean, what is the... Tarkoon. Highly carbonated, non-alcoholic beverage made of spicy and aromatic herbal raw material. Connor and I both share a friend who is very dedicated to sodas. Okay, Connor's got the... I'm just taking some photos. Yeah. I guess I'll send him all three of those photos. I don't know which one I should get. Is this pear soda? That looks like pear. And this one's in right. original soft drink, the best Russian traditions. Interesting. I feel like this is, I don't know whether I want to get this or the lemonade. I guess I should get both of them. You don't have to. I mean, I feel like I should, it's a liter each. Will you have some of this with me yes, if we I get will. this? All right. Do you think these are the two best picks? Yeah, this scares me. Because it's clear? Soda. Yeah. I'm sure that's fine, but. Yeah. What fruit is this? It's citrus, I think, right? Right, but that's it. Which just fell down from the ceiling. I think that's me dripping. Oh, okay. Um, um, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's see what happens. I mean, technically, this is not Euro. Right? Oh, look at this. That's. <laughs> I'm, pointing, I'm pointing out a beverage that has olives, olives. floating no, in are, it. Are those olives or grapes? Are those I can't olives tell. or grapes? I think those might be grapes. Those might be grapes. Still, the idea of that. All it's right. not pleasing to me. All right. Well, there's a lot of fun things in this Euro market, but we have to leave now. I'm going to ask this guy. Hey, have you ever tried these sodas? You haven't? Have you ever talked to them? I mean, I'm just taking a risk on them. Yeah, no, I never tried them. I saw a lot of people buy A lot? They're popular? Okay. Have you seen someone buy them and then they come back? Yeah. <laughs> it's not that it's just you drink those and then that's the end of them. Uh, okay. Oh, sure. Oh, I've got some cash on me. Hold on. Uh, I've never been in this market before. I like it. Yeah. There you go. What about these dinosaur trading cards? Oh, it's chocolate? I thought they were trading cards. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good day, too. Thank you. Have a good day. Happy New Year. We should... Oh, hold on. What are you looking at? Uh, there's something called the Flintstones Boogie Party. Oh, no. It's I, a non-alcoholic... I don't want to... That looks... 
I mean, looks so wrong. We're gonna. I'm gonna tweet a photo of the Flintstones boogie party. Okay. Because I feel like that'll help promote our podcast. You should, you, you should tie it with Jay and I working on a big project. All right. <laughs> they have apple and then apple strawberry. I, if if I'd seen these 30 seconds ago, I would have bought these. That would have been a bad choice. Um. Okay. Here we go. You gotta get real close. People can see the Flintstones. Get more of the cartoon characters. <laughs> I'm di- I'm directing Connor's photo now. But do you want me? You don't get the sense of the bottle. I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> that's the funniest drink I've ever seen. Uh, the Flintstones. That should be a euphemism now for when you've uh, you're you're going sober. Yeah. Oh, uh, looks like I'm going to be having a Flintstones boogie party for the rest <laughs> of my life. Yeah. Well, you just be like, oh, I'm on the boogie party right now. Uh, looks like I'm going to be at the boogie party. As long as I can keep at it. You know what um, I know is funny? What? Is that as we talk, I feel like I am broadcasting. <laughs> it feels like we're broadcasting live. Yeah. Like I sort of have that same excitement that you get when you're broadcasting something live. Yeah. But we're just talking to each other. Yeah. And like the thing that I think is funny is like <coughs> imagine if somehow this got deleted. That would make this whole everything sort of insane. Well, no, because I actually think we've already achieved your original stated goal, which is that the first hour of this podcast was littered with moments of us narrating. Right. And I feel like almost everything of hour two was just what we would have said if we were just hanging out. This is true. This is true. Like, I don't feel like what we just did in the no, Euro I f- market. No, I feel like now we're behaving how we behave when you and I This is the real out. thing. Yeah. The only thing that's different is that you and I never hang out for this long. No. I mean, already... Or if we do, we are going to or coming from somewhere. Yeah, we've never had a... a just a hangout. No. There, and, and, you know, that's one of those things... I was actually kind of uh, heartened to read this recently because it made me feel better about something that I sometimes feel bad about, which is I was reading an interview with... Uh, Tina Fey and Amy Poehler right. were talking about hosting the Golden Globes together. And they were saying that, well, I think this was in their co-edited issue of Entertainment Weekly that came out. Right, right. And they were saying they like to do, part of the reason they like to do stuff like host award ceremonies together is because it gives them an excuse to hang out that they're so busy that if they don't, like, come up with a project... Right. That it becomes hard to find the time. You always intend to. And I find that's increasingly true for me with a lot of my friends in New York City, a lot of my comedy community friends that when you're on a team with someone or when you're doing a show with someone, uh, it, you hang out all the time. Yeah. And then when you're not directly working with them... You find yourself in situations where you're working on other projects instead. Right. And they're working on other projects, and you just don't have the time. Um, yes. Like... How are you? Uh, for instance, uh, the... Uh, my friend, uh, Darcy Carden... Right. 
whenever she's in town. She lives in L.A. now. We used to be on the team Stone Cold Fox together. Oh, right. And when she's in town from L.A., um, how do I close this? Does it close? Oh, just kick that thing close to the door. Okay. Oh, like that. Okay. Um, whenever she's in New York City, I always make a point of getting her involved in a show, whether it's like, hey, come sit in with Stone Cold Fox and do a right. bit part or do this, you know, Olympic thing in the DCM. Oh, you know, right, like, right. I'll always find some reason to, and I'm upfront about it. I'm like, otherwise, I feel like we could accidentally not hang out. Yes. Um, cause it does happen, you know, like for instance, there's people you hang out with all, and it's not that you don't intend to hang out with anybody, you know, it's not that you're avoiding anybody. It's just no, no, that no. like, like, uh, uh, Mudon and I, Catherine Mudon, my friend Catherine Mudon, uh, we, we make, can I hang, uh, my wet coat on yes. this here? Okay. Yes. Or you can hang it on the door too. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I have a hook on there. Okay, good. Um, where your handcuffs are. Yes. Um, we very frequently, uh, uh, Catherine and I do a web series called I'm Too Fragile for This Together. Um, and there are times when the only times in the year that we see one another are on the days that, the, one of the two days in the year when, we're, when we film these episodes. Right. It's very strange. Oh, where did I put my phone? Um, Oh, I said it down here. Um, and it's, it's just because, like, there was a time when we were both in classes and we had more time to hang out. And then all of a sudden I was on Herald Night and then later she was on Herald Night. And now we're at a point where she's on Mod Night and Herald Night. I'm on uh, Stepfathers and Stone Cold Fox. And just the time in the week, there's less of it. And... You don't intend to go months without talking to a person or hanging out with them, but it just happens. Yes, of course. Um, I mean, I would say honestly, in the past year, maybe, uh, if I think of you and I, the number of times that we've hung out together, uh, if it wasn't for the Gethard show on Wednesday nights, there yeah. might be months might go by where we, we wouldn't see each other. Whereas, there used to be a time when you'd have like jump on three improv practice and I would coach you or something. Right, exactly. And that would, that would give us time to hang out. Uh, and uh, like this, this year, the way, that, the way that we'd both been busy, like one of the times we hung out was uh, when I came over here to get footage from you. And it was like we had a specific function. But a lot of the other times we've hung out have all been attached to working on something. Yes, that's very true. I'm not shouting. You said it before. I like that. Yeah. Um, Just have to find the uh, power cord. Power cord. Um, so I was, uh, I, it made me feel better about myself. Because sometimes I, I, that feels like bad. Like, oh, I'm a bad friend to people. Right. I don't make the time or I don't find the time. Um, but it does get hard to find the time. Uh, but it made me feel better to read that them saying like, oh yeah, we host the Golden Globes together because otherwise, when would we hang out? Uh, Thank you for vamping well. JD's apartment, uh, is full of fun things. Um, 
fun little toys. It's a not a messy apartment. It's pretty well free of clutter considering the nature of the apartment. You know what I mean? Like because you have a lot of areas that could become cluttered very easily. Yes. You know? <coughs> a lot of work areas, a lot of um a lot of creative, I mean, there's one area that's just a big pile of light bulbs on a shelf, right? Right now, I consider my apartment actually very cluttered from really? what it normally is, yes. But so I, I actually like to have workspaces readily available anywhere so that I can get going, and right now my but you could get it, you could get it up creativity right. desk is covered in a, a newspaper from 1964. Um, I'm going to put these sodas in the fridge. Yes, do it. Uh, so they're nice and chilled, because these are just shelf sodas. Um... And we're going to, I don't mean to be, I, you know, I have, I feel bad. I have yet to listen to any of the Fizzy Boys episodes. Uh, I don't feel that bad about that. <laughs> I, I have also not listened to the Fizzy Boy episodes. Well, part of it is that I don't think they've been on iTunes yet. They've just been like a thing that you need to stream, right? Yes, that's true. And that changes the nature of it because I haven't been able to download them and listen to them. Right. Or, or watch them while we're on the go. And when I'm at home, I don't necessarily always have the time to be like, oh, I'll, list, I'll watch Don Finelli and Chris Gathard talk about sodas. But um, the fact that we bought big sodas and we're going to listen to them later in the podcast, I almost feel a little guilty about that, that maybe we're encroaching a little bit on Fizzy Boys territory. But I feel like it's okay, given the fact that it's embedded so deeply into, so deeply into a 12-hour podcast. I almost feel like if at hour 10 we straight up did an episode of This American Life, it wouldn't be copyright infringement because we'd be like, Your Honor... You have to listen to nine hours of content before we. Yes, got I, to well, this. that's my whole thing with this is that like we could legitimately go see a movie, mm-hmm. and it would not be cheating. More than twenty percent of our podcast. Yeah, like we could go we could go see Wolf of Wall Street again, and that would only be a quarter of our podcast. Connor's now inspecting my. Oh, uh, that's Connor's looking at my VHS and DVD collection. Yeah, and one of my prize. Uh, possessions is on the left there the uh, 1995 release of the Star Wars trilogy mm-hmm. pre-special edition. Mm-hmm. So that is one of the few uh, publicly available copies of Star Wars without any of the special edition stuff Right on VHS. Um, and you have the Phantom Menace on VHS. Yes. Then you have the original trilogy digitally mastered in THX from the mid-90s. Yes. And then you have the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. Yes. Um, and I have some other... I'm, I'm curious what things stick out to you on my, on my shelf. Because there's some things there that, if you know them, I would be impressed that you... Well, a few things. Notably, have you ever seen The Snowman? Uh, I've heard of it, I feel like, but I've never seen it. Academy Award-nominated short animated film. Yeah. About a snowman that becomes sentient. Um, three editions of Labyrinth. Yes. Two and the, VHS and one ah, Blu-ray? That's where you're wrong. No. Number one, I have... Total, I have, I think, five copies of Labyrinth. Okay. Two of them are not there. Yeah. The three that you see are Blu-ray, yeah. VHS... And beta? And beta. <laughs> this is the beta? No. This one right. says VHS. Uh, no. Oh, take it out. It is not VHS. It says VHS. I mean, this is a... T- it's a tight fit. Yeah, it's just... I feel like I'll never get it back in. I mean, this says VHS. No, it doesn't. Here, give it to me. I'm it's... almost positive that is... 
You've been swindled, man. No, it's not VHS. Where does it say VHS? On the side, VHS. No, side, other side. VHS. Right now... This is not VHS. Well, this one doesn't say VHS on it, but it clearly is. Oh, it says VHS Hi-Fi. Why would it say... I mean, it's, I'm not wrong. Let's be clear. I'm not wrong. It says, it says VHS, VHS on the side. but this is a beta tape. Yeah, why does, the, why does the box say VHS? This might not be... Let's see. This is not the original box. Okay, so you have a, a dummy box. Yes, Corey Palmer got that for me for Christmas. A Betamax edition. Three years ago. Sheathed in a VHS box. Because I, I believe I have every version of Labyrinth except for Beta. I'm surprised you don't have like an old 16 millimeter copy of it. I do have a laser disc. <laughs> not here though. Um, There's my uh, Hey Vern, it's Ernest. Yeah. Good stuff. It's a good collection. Um, a lot of drives, a lot of drives up here. Yeah, I I have my favorite movies over on my desk. That's how I I maintain my top. Four hundred below. Is this your top five, top six? Uh, four hundred blows probably shouldn't be there, but it is. Uh, Loves of a Blonde, Milos Forman. Yes. Uh, I've never seen it. Excellent. Uh, Diva. Oh, I love it. Jean Jacques Beignet. Um, Dog Day Afternoon, Playtime, of course. Uh, Jacques Tati. Yes, yes. Um, which we both saw in the cinema. Oh, yeah. Were you there? That No, I went to see the next Oh, right. The you went to a different one. Day. Yeah. I liked it very much. And I think... The one, uh, Man, uh, oh, Hands on a Hard Body. You almost screened that when we were screening movies at UCB. Uh, we should have, instead of the, instead of the garbage uh, that we did. The Loveless. Um, that screening of Playtime is my favorite movie experience I've ever had. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, I had a good time going to see it. We saw it. There's what? my uh, my TV camera, my vintage TV camera. It's nice. You got a lot of neat gear around here. It still works too. This one? Yeah. What's this on top? Uh, that is a flip video. Oh. Um, little guy. <sighs> I'm gonna sit down next to you. Over yes, here. stand next to me. Um. I had a thought for a segment, um, and I'm sure this segues nicely into it, um, for uh, what would be, um, if, you were, if we were in a movie theater and we were going to program a double bill, sure, maybe a couple triple bills to put out some ideas for a Wolf of Wall Street, um, if we were going to, five years, ten years down the road, we're running a small art house cinema, right? Or, uh, uh, showing uh, like a retro Cinema, um, or no, that's the retro is not the word I'm looking for. What's the, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for for a movie theater that shows, uh, old movies? Repertory? Not repertory. Uh, um, I, uh, mm, what's the word? Uh, not restoration. Uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? We're both so close to thinking of the word. The word is, it is a, ra, re, ru, What's the word? You know what I'm thinking of, right? It's not repertory. It's not retro. It's not review. It's not... I hate this feeling when your brain just won't give you the information that you know you have in there. Yeah. It is an RE word, though. Not repertory. I mean, it feels like it's so close to that word. 
Um, we'll think of it later. But anyway, yes. we know what kind of movies here we're talking about. Yes, exactly. And so do our uh, listeners. So do right our now. listeners. Google it. And um, what would you what would you pair up with Wolf of Wall Street? I'm going to allow. And there's no limit on this. We don't have to pick one definitively. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Double bills and triple bills. Uh, so there's a couple options because when you are um, curating stuff for a uh, repertory, no, that's not the word. It's not repertory. Art house, Re- revival house. No, that's close though. So close. Oh god. Uh, when you're when you're programming that. You can try to have two movies that feel in some way the same, like it's like parallel movies, mm-hmm. and then the generational difference is something that's interesting. Or yeah. you can go inverse, so it's like you sort of see two lines dissecting. Yeah. Um, or you go movies that are just so not appropriate for one another that yeah. in itself is like a sh- shock to the well, system. Well, I'll tell you, I, I have a, an idea that I've always had in my head that if I ran a movie theater, I would show... Um. Uh, these three movies just for the gag of it because they're so they're so out of sync with one another. Uh, you know that the movie Babies that came out a couple years yeah. ago, that Disney movie about right. babies from all over the world, uh, Babies, and then Kids by Larry Clark, and then Grown Ups, the Adam Sandler movie. Huh. Uh, I think it'd just be an amazing triple bill because Kids really ruins anything that you put near it yeah. because it's such an unpleasant experience to watch. Right. Uh, but I feel like pairing it with babies and grown-ups, it would just be like only weirdos would show up. Weird people who like think it's weird to go do that would go for those movies. Also, I think that's I was thinking about this the other day is um, that like plays in the same concept I was thinking of, where it's like babies is a documentary about actual life, kids is a weird fucked up look at, yeah, and then grown-ups is the arguably the least uh, real. real of all of these yeah. things. And I was thinking about this where. Um, like young adult fiction, right? Mm-hmm. Young adult fiction. Well, I could put the movie. I could do a quadruple bill and put young adult. Oh, you could, yeah, uh, uh. <laughs> yeah. And then is there a movie called like Old Age? Uh, there must be. Oh, Grumpy Old Men. Yeah, but that's gender specific. Um, yeah. I guess you just show Cocoon. <laughs> um, but so like young adult fiction novels, right? Yeah, it's about uh, relationships. And people falling in love and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Arguably. Yeah. But then adult fiction is just erotica. Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the genre adult fiction right. just means people having sex. Right. But children's books are just about people like having jobs and visiting their friends. Yeah. And so like our like the genre of novels like almost devolves right. as the genres refer to older generations. So it's like children's books. It's like, yeah, just like live your life, have a job, have fun, visit your friends. Yeah. Like the, the worst problem you're going to have is like you get lost in the way to visit your friends. Yeah. Young adult is like, try to fall in love. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, that's going to be tough relationships. Life lessons. And then adulthood is just Just fucking, just fucking putting a penis in vagina. Yeah. Uh, it makes it, if you go back, it should be like kids' films. It's just about pooping and napping yeah, and eating. Exactly. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I like kids' novels, you know, where it's just like he ate the pudding. Right. Later on, he would have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. 
And then like, and you know, young young adult, you would go to the bathroom all night long. Young adult fiction should just only be about the like stark contrast from childhood to adulthood, and how suddenly, you're how much like, new hair you're discovering, right? And how much like you're like, no, oh, my I'm legs feeling, hurt. Those are growing pains. I'm gonna feel strangely because of my body and not because of yeah, the outside skin. world. And then adult fiction should just be the complicated like nihilism of life and how it's like. Oh no, this is life. Yep. Uh, and then there should be like old age novels. Yeah. Which is just like, you know what? I just have to be okay with it. Yeah. Um, so, Double Bill, Wolf okay. of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall Street. If I'm going parallel, mm-hmm. I might go Wolf of Wall Street and Citizen Kane. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your choices are going to be... Uh, Yours are gonna. I know yours are gonna be more thematic. It's gonna be clear how differently you and I would uh, tend to run the movie uh, theater. And your choices are always gonna be more sophisticated than mine. Mine are always gonna be a little bit dumber. I, I have some dumb options yeah. in my head too, though. My but fir- I think thematically, it would be so interesting to watch Citizen Kane and then Wolf of Wall Street because they're essentially the same film, uh-huh. but just about different generations. Yeah. Uh, my f- my immediate first impulse when I thought this would be a good segment for our podcast was a double bill of Wolf of Wall Street and the Fantastic Mr. Fox. <laughs> I like that. My triple bill idea would be to show the Wolf of Wall Street and then also show the movies Wolf and Wall Street. I was going to say Wolf of Wall Street and White Fang. Uh-huh. Uh, Mike Nichols' Wolf with Jack Nicholson, of course. Right. Um, which is a movie that I think, based on my faded memory of seeing it once in the theater. I remember thinking that it devolves at the end to just like pretty standard stuff. Right. But my favorite thing about it was that it was largely a movie about publishing. Like he worked in a publishing house and it was largely about the corporate backstabbing culture. Right. I don't think I ever saw that. Um, I just remember really liking the parts where Jack Nicholson realizes he's got heightened senses and how he uses it to his advantage working in this publishing house. Like, he can hear conversations right. that are further away. Uh, there's the iconic little Jack Nicholson moment where he's in the bathroom next to James Spader and he just starts peeing on James Spader. And he's like, what, what are you doing? And Jack Nicholson says, I'm marking my territory. And I remember thinking, like, oh, that's like the probably the most fun they had was thinking, like, we should have Jack say this. Yeah. Um... And then Wall Street. I feel like Wolf of Wall Street, like Wall Street, my memory of that is everybody remembers the Gordon Gecko speech. Right. But it's actually a pretty small part of that movie. Like that movie's mostly Charlie Sheen and Daryl Hannah and stuff that nobody really remembers. Right, exactly. Gordon Gecko is the one thing everyone remembers. Everyone remembers that one part and everything. And I feel like my memory of that movie is that it's not a great movie, that it's actually one of the weaker Oliver Stone movies. Well, now that they made Wall Street too, yeah, the streets, taking it to the streets, isn't that what it's called? Something like that. Uh, it's Wall Street to step up to the streets. Wall, Wall Street to 3D in the streets. Um, I didn't see the Wall Street sequel. Did you, um, did you see it? No. Um, With Shia LaBeouf. Wall right? Street to um, Port the, of Call, New Orleans. Yes. Um, I. But my feeling is that. Wolf of Wall, Wall Street, Street too. is a better movie overall than Wall Street. Battle for Endor. Uh, Wall Street to Nerds in Paradise. Um, 
The Wall Street Two lost in New York. Um, uh, Wall Street Two Five goes west. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think that Wolf of Wall Street is a better movie than Wall Street, and even though it's not strictly truthful, it's a heightened version of true things. I feel like Wolf of Wall Street as a movie overall captures more of the 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 intent of the original Wall Street. Like I feel like it just captures the awfulness of it right. better. Like it, it in some ways it might be overkill for a lot of people in that it's just it's three hours of bad behavior and bad choices. Yeah. Um I think I'm inclined to agree with you. I I felt when that moment on the subway happened where where you see Kyle Chandler's character and the subway is pretty bleak. I like the fact that I do like the fact that I feel like the things that they show, like when they would show a person's apartment, it felt like a real apartment. Sometimes the the locations that people have in movies don't feel like real locations. Yeah. I feel like like when he went over to the uh, Duchess of Staten Island's yes. apartment, yeah. her apartment looked like an apartment she could really live in. Yes, I agree. Um, and I, fe- I feel like... Um, even though it's a heightened version of of uh, of reality overall, I feel like they capture a lot of the detail of it correctly, and I like that that subway scene did capture what it feels like to be on the subway. Yes, I agree. Uh, like the the extras casting and everything like that was spot on. Like, yep, that's yeah. It felt like the seven train. It did, and uh, it was a one of those cars. It was one of those old cars. It was probably. I wouldn't be surprised if it was filmed in the. Museum of Transportation. That's where they film all of that. Yeah. That's where, when I did my lottery commercial, there's a little yeah. subway shot in it. I was in a That's lottery. That's so expensive, though. Is it? Yeah. Is it more expensive than shutting down and filming on the real subway, though? You can't do that. You can't do that. You only film in. So there's... anytime there's a subway scene, it's always in that museum? Unless they've stolen it, yes. What about when they do, like, uh, Spider-Man exterior shots of the subway? They don't, they're not allowed to go on the subway at all? Uh, they have... They have some of the stations that are like old stations and a lot yeah. of times they're not in New York City and they make it up to be I know they've filmed some subway stuff in Woodside on using the 7 track are they, they just doing exterior shots I'm maybe? sure that's so yeah if they do that that's so rare yeah okay for them to shut down a subway line to well they didn't something. shut it down it was like active and they were doing stuff oh yeah that's an option but okay. basically anything you need a camera on there like that's they don't really allow that uh, so there's a transportation museum in Brooklyn, <laughs> for listeners who don't understand what we just said, where there's a little bit of functional subway, like a mock-up of real yeah. subway. And anytime you see the subway, I guess, in a movie or a TV show or a commercial, they're filming in this fake subway. Right. And a lot of times they'll make a fake subway set that they shoot in. But yeah. in New York, but it's like something like, something crazy, I want to say like 15 grand a day or something crazy like that. Yeah. Well, I was in a, a New York Lotto commercial where I played a man who wakes up in the morning, puts on his suit, and then takes a shower in his suit. And then he rides on the subway and he's soaking wet. And a lady on the subway, as the narrator of the commercial, and she says, it pays to get the order right. It's, and then I, soaking wet, go to a bodega where I buy a lottery ticket and I play my four numbers correctly in the correct order. Right. That's like the one thing that my character does in the right order. So I had to be soaking wet in one of those fake subway things. So now when I see 
the subway shots in movies, I'm always like, I wonder if that was the same subway yeah. where my character was too wet. I've noticed that now um, when I was at home watching, because I don't have, I don't have like TV. Yeah. I, I just do like online content through my TV. Yeah. Um, so commercials, TV shows, watching my parents, I'd always like, they, every commercial I'd be like, oh, that's my friend. That's a friend of mine. Oh, uh, my friend shot that. Like, and all of a sudden it was like, oh, the magic of movies. Like, I had that feeling during Wolf of Wall Street watching it, and Connor and I knew, we knew a couple a people. A handful that were of people in, in the movie. And it was like... Henry Zabrowski from the uh, uh, Murder Fist. Right, uh, notorious. I personally at all. I've, I've met him. He's, he's super funny. Murder Fist is this crazy sketch group that does really aggressive sketch comedy. Uh, and he has a pretty big role in the movie. Uh, uh, Thomas Middleditch. Thomas As Middleditch, a, who my only real interaction with him was years ago at Fran Gillespie's birthday party mm-hmm. at the Dave and Buster's that we passed on the oh, way down the, the escalators. At the Long-time of the- listeners of this podcast will remember that yeah. in the opening moments of this podcast, we walked past a very loud Dave and Buster's. Right, and he and I played video tennis against each other multiple times. I never met, I've never met him, but uh, two of the funniest things I've ever saw at uh, the UCB theater were with him. He's there, very funny. There was a, a Diamond Lion musical improv show that I think he was the sit-in guest on that I think was the funny, the hardest I ever laughed at an improv show. He, there was a, it was a show where there was a scene where he was playing someone's mustache and he was just holding his finger in front of a person and he, was, he would sing as the mustache and do scenes as this mustache and he was really funny. And there was also a, a Gravid Water, which is an improv show where they pair up an improviser with an actor, usually from a Broadway show, and the actor will learn all of the lines of one character in a real scene from a real play. And the improviser won't know what the scene is. And they will just have to react to... The, the actor has to say all the lines that this char- one, their character says in the scene. But the improviser just has to react and they don't know what the scene is. And, uh, but then the actor also has to... If your first line is, you know, welcome to the locker room or something... Uh, and the second line is why not. The the actor who has the lines can't say why not until it makes sense. So if uh, if the improviser says a bunch of stuff, they have to keep trying stuff until that actor can say why not and it makes sense. Right. Like if you say welcome to the locker room, and then I say, yeah, I know it's the locker room. I can't go. Can't, why, why not? Because it won't make sense. You have to say like, yeah, I know it's the locker room. I don't need you to tell me that. And then I have to uh, hold up two shirts that I feel like I'm trying on, and I throw you one. And then you'd be like, I don't want this. And I'd go, why not? Right. And then it makes sense finally. It does. Um, but when Thomas Middleditch did it one time, they picked a scene for him that had a flashback within the scene. Right. And it was cued by a sound and light cue where, the, like, he, it was, he was so disoriented. He was like, you could tell he was like, what's happening? Because all of a sudden the scene just like, the lights started going crazy and there was like flashback sounding noises. Yeah. And you could tell he was just like, what is going on? And he picked it up right away. But then the flashback scene had all sorts of information that kind of contradicted right. stuff they'd already established in the scene. So he kept having to adapt to it. But anyway, he has a small part in <laughs> Wolf of Wall Street. He was in the best improv show I've ever seen also. Which one? It was uh, DCM three years, two years, two years ago. Uh-huh the third year ago, I guess. Um, and it was 
a um, improvised Shakespeare. Yeah, he's great at that. It was the only time that I've seen an audience give a standing ovation, not because something was funny, but because it was so like weirdly powerful. Mm-hmm. And I remember that the whole improvised Shakespeare is they do they improvise Shakespearean place in sort of a Shakespearean meter, but it's like relatively close. It's not perfect, but it's close. Yeah. And it's, the guys that do it are flawless. That's it's, so good. It's, I can't imagine how someone does that. And I, I'm someone who's done a fair amount of improv and I spent my, all of my teenage years doing Shakespeare plays. So I've read almost every Shakespeare play. I've done a lot of Shakespeare. It's been a while. Right. But I kind of can't imagine improvising uh, doing improvised Shakespeare. I'm, I, I've only seen them once. And there's like a couple of things that I've seen one time and then I can't... Uh, um, improvised Shakespeare I saw once and I'm like, I can't watch that again. It yeah. breaks my brain to see people doing stuff that... It was almost like, like watching like Dark Magic or something where I was like, I can't see it. Yeah. The other thing that I was like that... And I've told him this was when I saw um, Patrick North do his... Um, uh, MC Herald. Yeah. Um, which is, a, he does an improvised, like a Herald, which is an improvised form, but he he does it with him and, and a guy doing beatboxing. And he, they do the, the whole Herald in, like, he basically, like, raps a Herald. Yeah. And I watched them, like, I can't wa- ever watch that again. It was too good and it exhausts me. Yeah. I can't imagine how you do it. Uh, and I told him, like, I can't ever watch you do that again. It was too good and it kind of scared me. Yeah. But this one set of the Improvised Shakespeare was, the whole idea is that you get the title of the play that they're going to do. Mm-hmm. The title was Horse Flies in the River. Uh-huh. And so what ended up happening is that throughout the course of the set, we learned that it's like this sort of classic Shakespearean thing where it's these um, two families where the two kids are in love, but their families aren't supposed to, you know, one of them's the lower class and one of them's the uh, part of the, the royalty, right? Yeah. And um, in this town, the whole idea is that uh, all the royalty, like basically, there's this one prince that would go and like basically have sex with like every every female of the mm. like lower class. Yeah. And then all the babies, when they were born, they would kill them and throw them into the river because it was like considered a sort of like a a, a mark on the royal family to have these children exist. Mm-hmm. So then the euphemism in the town for all of these dead babies that they threw into the river was horse flies in the river. Uh-huh. And so the whole thing is about this one prince who's like the younger brother or whatever of the, the guy who fucks everyone and falls in love with this woman. And then they think that through this sort of like crossed thing that the child that he has with her is one of the the, the older brothers. And so they need to kill it. But, but he, he can't admit that he is in a relationship. And it's like this like very Shakespearean thing. Yeah, that ends with um, it, and throughout it, middle Thomas Middleditch played. He played like a fairy character, just like that would like provide uh, exposition and sort of like <laughs> sprinkle love dust on people. And so and it was very funny. Yeah. But um, he was not the main character. But the, the the moment that was to me the moment that I was most impressed in, and like all of improv yeah was so the whole thing number one it's like great improv but it's also the plot is excellent in the whole thing it's like yeah. a story that you're like gripped and you're like what's going to happen in this story and so in the very end um all the stuff happens where they go down to like abort the baby and put it in the river and da, 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 and then they tell her that the brother is dead but it's the wrong brother and so the woman kills herself and then the parents kill themselves so they learn it so then it's like everyone kills themselves and so then the main character the brother who's the main character the whole thing steps out 
and through a series of lies he's told that this whole thing has taken place. Yeah. Um, and so he steps out and sees his family and all of his, like, everyone he loves dead. Yeah. And so then he has this moment where he goes, um, he looks around, he steps out, and, like, the whole audience is, like, hushed because it's, like, we know this is, like, the last thing. And he comes out and he's acting. So he's just, like, so serious. And he looks around and he, he has this line that I'll never forget. I'm, I'm probably getting it the words wrong but this is yeah. the idea of it is he goes so much death before me like does make me shiver so I pull one arrow from my quiver and add one more horsefly to the river and then stabs himself and dies and it was like the most perfect like the way he delivered it yeah, and it was the only time that like horseflies in the river had been expanded to really, and it was not sitting there. Like it was a thing that was like when he said it, the whole audience was like, <gasps> right, and like people started like crying, and then there's like immediate standing ovation as he like died amongst everyone else. It's, like this perfect Shakespearean ending to this thing, and and then he did it in such a perfect with like so much death doth make me quiver. Yeah, so I pull one arrow from my quiver. And add one more horsefly to the river, and then ah, it's great. And it it's was just great. like it was like such an amazing thing. So it was like like you couldn't write that any better. Like no. if you sat down to write that, yeah, that's what you would have come up with. Uh, that's really nice. Ugh, yeah, I can never see them do anything. Yeah. So Thomas Middleditch was he was in Wolf of Wall Street. He was in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, ben Ramaka was in it. Yes. Um, who else? One so guy looked his, like Nate Lang. I don't think it was him. We though. didn't see that name, but then again, who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah, but it, you know now, uh, I mean, keep your eye out, uh, viewers of things. Whenever there's a scene in a New York City subway, if it's not if it's not the orange, the old orange seats. If you ever see one and it's like new blue, yeah, maybe they did some. Maybe they built their own thing or did something, but or it stole it. They steal a lot of shit. A lot, that's why a lot of times it's like subway scenes are like late at night and someone's alone. Yeah. It's because like they're stealing it at night and they just have a camera operator jump on there with the yeah. actor. Um, but rarer to see the new blue. Yes. And to see the old orange. Absolutely. Um, and then now the, the new thing will be that they're, they've got, they're creating the new poles. So now if you see poles that don't have the bifurcated middle. Right. You'll know that that's not, not a... Uh, real train because those are going to be coming out soon the new bifurcated poles they have like a big thing in the middle so that people can't Everyone dance can. on them yeah oh good yeah i mean they'll find a way to dance they'll find on a way those. to dance yeah nature finds a way life finds a way kids always find a way to dance um i had an experience of you know when you see the the showtime dancers if you come to new york city and you, you're on the subway and there are these dancers who i always used to think like they come so close to like kicking people i'm like how do they never kick anyone I'm like, I guess I got to grudgingly, like, give some respect to the fact that... Right. But I always never really trust it. I always feel like, I feel like you're going to kick somebody. Right. And one of them accidentally kicked me in the back. He was doing a spin around the pole. Oh, really? And he kicked me full on in the back. Yeesh. Like, it was a real, as in my experience, unprecedented misstep. Right. I'm like, I bet this happens more than we realize, because it's happened to me now. Uh, one of my morbid fantasies is to be kicked by one of them, so that I can be genuinely mad at them and justifiably mad at them. 
Because they really bother me. They really do bother me. I actually... I'm bothered by pretty much anyone on the subway, even people that I feel like are justified. I find myself in a mode where if someone comes onto the subway, even if they have a terrible situation, it feels like right. the wrong place to ask for things. Yes, I agree. Because it's, it's literally just a captive audience. It's a captive audience, and it's also... It's not a it's not an especially privileged audience like there's an element of you know early morning commuters on the New York City subway yeah are generally all going to jobs most of them are not happy in those jobs and I feel like to come on and say I need something from you guys it feels like you're in New York City. Go someplace else. There are other places to go. It feels like, it, it, uh, this is an extreme example, but it almost feels like nobody goes to the hospital to ask for things. Right. Because the assumption is everybody here in the hospital is going right. through something rough. They're going through their own thing. And I feel like there is, to a lesser extent, but still to a very real extent, people riding the subway are doing it and they've already got their own, their own problems. Yeah, I, I'm on that same page for sure. Um, um, not that I'd be in favor of people bursting into taxi cabs <laughs> right. to, to intimately ask for things. They should burst into Wall Street buildings and ask yeah, for things. Yeah, they should occupy Wall Street. Oh, look at where we've look got. Oh, full back to the I movie. I can't tell if this mic has been broken by the water. I mean, I'm still getting the signal on here when you yeah, talk. Yeah, no, I'm getting a signal, but I can't tell if it sounds murky here. Listen. All right. It might just be me hearing my own voice. Does it sound clear at all, or does it sound weirdly muffled? I mean, it's hard to say. It sounds good to me, but I don't have the highest standards. Okay. Well, if it sounds good to you, it sounds good to you. And then if it's wrong, they can blame you for it. All right. I mean, you can do whatever you can to sweeten up the sound. Yeah, sounds good. All right. Um, uh, what was I going to say? I'll be uh, doing very little post-production on this. Um, <laughs> go, through, go through and sweeten the sound a little. Just yeah. get a little sweetened. Um, I'll just do run levels. The um, the end of the movie Casino, yes, as we were saying uh, a while ago, right. That feels like a weird mix. This ending feels like a weird mixture of Scorsese endings because the ending of Goodfellas is, I'm okay, but I'm in the suburbs now. And my life's never going to be as good as it was when I was a good fella. Right, exactly. The end of Casino is like now. The corporations took over Las Vegas and they turned it into Disneyland. It's a bunch of old people there. And we see that Robert Nero's character is alive, but he's now just like a, a bookie guy. or yeah. he's just like a guy in a, working a job. He no longer is living the high life. Right. Um, and Wolf of Wall Street is he's in a cushy prison. He's playing tennis in a rich man's prison. Right. Um, and I feel like I feel like if you look at those incrementally, each ending is maybe a little more cynical. Maybe, like Goodfellas, you feel like he sort of gets what he deserves, or in each, a weird way. Here's another thought. Yeah, I think about this a lot because you know uh, there's a theory that not a theory, but you know there's the thought that um, every film is about the director uh-huh. or the writer. Yeah. 
or the director, whatever whatever your belief is on yeah, the auteur theory of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, so I like to look at the message in people's film when they go from being gritty, you know, independent guy trying to make their way to someone that has uh, millions of dollars. Yeah. And so one way to look at that for Scorsese is that, like, as he goes on, almost like his films start sort of like almost rewarding the the greedy character. Yeah. Or at least putting the moral sort of perspective on their side in a way yeah. that makes me almost feel like it's like, oh, he's seeing that it's like people that have success sometimes they are the hero because maybe in his own way he is now that person yeah and he likes to look at it as him he doesn't want to look at himself as this thing that needs to be but it's usually critical it's usually like not like the the bad guy wins but in a way that it's like you shouldn't feel good about it but in a way that i feel like is still also weirdly nostalgic yeah which may which i always wonder is like is that how he feels where it's like yeah, I did some bad things, and now I have all this money, and my life is better than other people's, and it's probably not good, but you know what? I did those things, and I'm where I am now. I could see that. As opposed to, like, this, like, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, you look at something like Taxi Driver, and it's like, that, like you are saying, the end is very much like this undeserved sort of victory. criticism of yeah. anyone but the little guy. Yeah. Uh yeah, Travis Bickle wins, whether that's a fantasy or whether it's uh whether the end is a dream or not, Travis Bickle wins at the end of that movie. Yes. He goes in, he shoots at that place, he does everything he wants to do, and he gets everything he wants, except for Sybil Shepherd. And they don't realize And in the really fantasy in the fantasy he in the fantasy version, if we believe that's true or a fantasy, he gets to feel like better than her. Right. And regardless, the world sort of whether he's a villain or not, yeah. he comes out on top. And the wolf uh, doesn't realize that he's a villain that so- somehow is becoming a hero. I do always feel real heartbreak for Travis Bickle in the scene where he takes Sybil Shepard to the uh, porn movie. Oh, yeah. And he just doesn't realize. Like, to me, there's something so innocent in that scene where he's like, I, I didn't know what kind of movies you like. Like, I- I- we can go to other kinds of movies. And she's like, so offended that he took her to that. Yeah, uh, that always bothers me. Because it, it's like a weird, sad, messed up. Yeah, because you just very feel like... lonely. He just doesn't know how to behave. And she'll never forgive him or forget that. She's just like, oh, you're a creep. Right, exactly. And he's like, I didn't know I was a creep. I cannot be a creep. Uh, it's too late. Um, the ending of King of Comedy is a victory for Rupert Pupkin. Uh... Goodfellas is the closest thing to here's a sad ending for our hero, our right. anti-hero, which is in some ways it's like this guy's such an asshole that he can't even be grateful that he didn't get killed. Like, yeah. he's like, I got to live in the suburbs just like every other loser. Right. And it's like you, you're such a – you have a happy ending and you're too fucked up to even realize it. This is the happy ending for you. Right. And the end of uh, Infernal Affair. 
What's it called? It's called The Departed. I thought The Departed. The Departed. They're, it's a remake of Infernal Affairs, exactly. right? Exactly, yeah. Um, um, I like a lot of parts of The Departed, but to me, Wolf of Wall Street feels more like what I want from Scorsese. Yes, I agree. Um, well, let's talk about the end of Hugo. I don't even remember it. What, does he become a real boy? No, everyone's happy at the end of Hugo. Not J.D. Amato. Which to me is a cynical end because it says that villains setting out not to make a great movie <laughs> succeeded. Um, People that set out to I honestly, distort the story of one of the great filmmakers uh, of all time. Yeah. I barely remember Hugo even though I saw it not too long ago. Yeah, I didn't like Hugo at all. Um I the end of Cape Fear uh great ending but it's like I always feel like uh I love the movie Cape Fear. I think the ending there's a parts in the ending where it goes a little over the top. Right. But I think that movie is in some ways maybe the purest expression of Scorsese just in like I just love how like Scorsese's like I'm going to make a full on like pulp thriller Right. And I'm going to pull out all my tricks. I'm going to get great actors. Uh, I'm going to whip that camera around all over the place. I'm going to use the original Bernard Herrmann score. Right. Because uh, when you watch the original, the original is good, but the original is there's a good guy and a bad guy, and the bad guy is after the good guy. Yeah. And to me, the Scorsese version... And you know, originally... I think, unless I'm misremembering this, I know that originally I think Scorsese was supposed to direct Schindler's List, and Spielberg was supposed to direct Cape Fear, and they swapped. Yes, I believe that's what happened. Uh, and I think at the same time, Kubrick was developing like a Holocaust movie, and then he was like, oh, okay, fuck it. When Schindler's List came out, he was like, I guess I'm not going to make mine. It right, took and then too he long. handed off AI over to Spielberg. Ugh, I can't even talk about AI. Um, do you like it? Do you like AI? No, I don't. All right, good. I mean, there's some people who really love that movie, yeah. and they're... Hard to deal with. Yeah. Um, apologies to anyone who loves AI. I'm happy for you, but I apologize to them. I'll tell you the moment that sums up my reaction to AI. I was watching it with my friend Jeff Falzone. Um, I think that would have come out when I lived in Ashland, Oregon. Okay. And I remember uh, this is when Jeff and I lived in the same town. I worked at Jeff's uh, preschool for a year. Wait, what'd you do there? I was his employee. Uh, Jeff and his wife uh, ran a preschool, and they hired me to be to help out at the preschool. What did you do there? I helped wrangle the kids. You know, you were a teacher. I mean, it was a preschool, so it was not like classes. It was more like like it like was like two year olds and four year olds. Yeah. What did you do? It sounds like you're like hiding something. No, I'm not hiding anything at all. I'm happy to talk about my experience working there. Um, basically, it was like a um, when I. Uh, was done uh, living in England. Uh, my wife at the time and I, right. we moved from, we'd both been actors in London and we lived in Liverpool for a while as well where we met in school and then we decided to move to America and rather than moving to a big city to keep pursuing acting, we decided let's move to Ashland, Oregon where my friend Jeff lived and we'll just see what happens there. There's a Shakespeare Festival there. We had some thoughts about maybe we could work at the Shakespeare Festival or something. You know, we hadn't really right. planned it out. <coughs> And then when they moved to this town, um, there was like a family in town uh, that was kind of a wealthy family. 
and they uh, very very wealthy family actually they were like heir this guy was like heir to a like French pharmaceutical empire or whatever right and they had these two kids who had been kicked out of every uh, preschool in town and so they basically funded uh, my friend Jeff and his wife then wife Nadezhda uh, to turn the house where they lived uh, like you can live in this house and you'll run the preschool out of the house and as a backyard and we'll set it up as a preschool and uh, will be your like landlords, you know, will and right. everything. But you have to take our two-year-old and our four-year-old into the two. two di- there were two different. It, it alternated. Some days it was the two-year-old class. Some days it was the right. four-year-olds. And um, and then when I w- got to town, I very quickly realized, oh, there's not a lot of work for me around here. And then they were like, how about we hire you to like help out here at the school? And it was a very like. Um, Waldorf school kind of philosophy behind everything. It was one of those things where everything was like, uh, the kids were all like, uh, you know, it was time for like the millet, you know, for everyone to eat the, the millet grain. Oh, weird. Um, and, and they would get excited about it, like, yay, millet! And uh, I hate these kids already. Yeah, and there'd be like kids named like Dakota. And stuff like that. Ugh. And Dakota. Uh, and it was it was a great it was great working there because I basically was just like I worked from early in the morning until about noon or one, uh, and uh, it was basically just like hanging out with my friend Jeff and making sure that these kids were okay. Right. So like the kids would just play and then they have a period inside, a period outside. Uh, the hardest things about the job would be things like when it's time to like either put everyone's shoes on or take everyone's shoes off, like. Putting on a bunch of little, getting a bunch of little kids to put their shoes yeah, on. Yeah, that's a whole process. Is when you have like ten kids, or or thereabouts, and you have to get them to all put their shoes on or take their shoes off. That's just like, you know, you're just struggling with like little feet. Yeah, and kids that like, if you're like putting on one kid's shoes, another kid is not going to wait around. Yeah. Suddenly he's wandering off somewhere. Yeah, and so there and there would be like, uh, and and I would do. Uh, I would do a lot of comedy stuff in my job at the preschool where, like, I would play characters and stuff like that. And the, some of it would be, right. like, finding characters that would, like, amuse Jeff and Nadezhda on one level but would also be entertaining. Like, I w- it was like trying to find that sort of Pixar-Henson dynamic yeah. where it's like, this part of this is funny to an adult for a certain reason, and then the kids won't catch that level, but they'll think it's funny because I have a silly voice or something. Right. So, like... Kids don't necessarily understand what's funny about, like, certain Muppet characters. Like, kids know that Sam the Eagle is funny because he's pompous and has a silly, pompous voice. Like, they get that. What? They get that, but they don't get the political commentary of of Sam the Eagle. Uh, JD just said Sam the Eagle is a square. Um, I mean, most little kids, like, the funniest thing to little kids is when an adult pretends to not want something to happen. Yes. You know, that's, like, the easiest road to getting a little kid to laugh. It'd be like, no, 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 don't do that, you know. Uh, Something that they know they, they are can, allowed to do. Yeah. They love that thing of, like, all right, nobody pick up. You know, when you do it in a tone that's clearly, like, a safe tone of, like, yeah. all right, I'm going to leave these pieces of bread here, and I don't want anybody to eat these because this is my special bread or something like that, and then I would leave the room and come back in or something. And then they love to see an adult pretend to freak out about something that yes. they know they're in control of. I mean, kids, it's a weird balancing act because kids love that. 
the worst thing for kids is the second that they get a sense that an adult is actually panicking about something. Yes, exactly. Um, that is like the terrifying thing for a child when you realize that an adult is actually scared or panicked or out of control in some way. Um, but, like, I played a character. Um, there was this little cabin in the, the... The backyard was like a playground area. Sure. And there was a little shed in the backyard that was like a tool shed kind of. Right. And I would go... I, would, I said, I think there's a man who lives in that shed. And then I would find a time to sneak into the shed when the kids wouldn't see me sneak in. And then I would make it clear that there was a man in the shed. I'd start making noise or something. Right. And I would never show myself, but I would... I said I was... My name was Randall Weaver, and I lived in that shed, and I didn't like people bothering me. I think that was the... If I remember, that was the... That was the, like, the game of that character, was that I... Right, right. This is my home. <laughs> it, would, it would be that... I didn't want people bothering me. I think if I that was the main thing of it, and so the kids loved like the man in the shed, or you know, and it's Randall Weaver, and they would talk about him. And then I did this character for a while, and then there was a point where like one of the parents was like, "So who's this Randall Weaver?" Like I, they like, he was like, "I hear my kid talk about this Randall Weaver character," and I'm like, "Oh, that's this character Connor plays. He's the guy who lives in the shed. He he just wants people to leave him alone or something. It's his home or whatever." And there's like. Yeah, is that the guy? That's the Ruby Ridge guy. I was like, what? And they were like, Randy Weaver was the name of one of the guys at Ruby Ridge, the, the shootout with the FBI where there are these... Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Now, uh, and so it, I wasn't drawing it off of that on any level. I didn't know that was the name of the Ruby Ridge guy. I think it was just like either a weird subconscious thing or a weird coincidence. Yeah. But like the parent was like concerned, like, what are you acting out? Like, are you acting out like the guy who died at Ruby Ridge in the FBI shootout, because that guy wanted to be left alone. He lived shack in the woods, and, did, and it was his home, and he didn't want... Uh, and suddenly you're like, no, 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 no. Yeah, it would be like if I was... If I played, like, a character named, like, Timmy McVeigh, and all I wanted to do was, like, I hated government buildings. You know? Don't make... I'm going to go to the government buildings, or something like that. It would be like, oh, are you playing Timothy McVeigh? Uh, the Oklahoma City bomb. No, 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 no. Mine just hates. No, buildings. mine hates government buildings, and his name is Timmy McVeigh. Uh, I did not play that character. I only played the character of Randall Weaver, who lived in a shack and just wanted to be left alone. Um, but uh, I don't. I don't know if I have any other stories. I mean, there are some difficult times when you're working with kids. There were times when I remember feeling like. You know, you have some kids who would come in who would just lose it for some weird reason. Can I test my mic real quick? Yeah. Do you think you're not recording? No, no, no. I'm recording, but I can't tell if my level is too low. Okay. Um, Should I keep talking while you test your mic or not? This is JD testing his mic. Uh Uh-oh. Can you hold this right here? Hold Hold the mic? Yeah. Right there. This is JD testing his microphone. JD testing his microphone. Oh, yeah. I turned myself way down. Now I'm probably too loud. Now I'm turning myself too soft. Now I'm turning myself right here. I'm going to try this. There we go. I wonder if that segment will ever catch on with uh, listeners of this podcast. Oh, the JD testing his microphone segment? Yeah. It Uh, might. It could. Um, So so anyway, so I worked at that preschool for a while. How long did you work there? Um, Probably year year and a half did you like it i did like it i mean like 
there was part of me that was uh, part of me that was very sad to leave that because I was aware like my life there was you know very comfortable. I had everything that I needed, and uh, it's an Ashland, Oregon. It's a very nice town, and uh, you know my job was working for my best friend, and we just like hung out and made sure that these kids were okay for the morning. There were fun little rituals. Like there was Friday was bread day. The kids would make bread. They would make bread. They would make everyone would like have their little like shape their little bit of bread and then they put it in the oven and they they would everyone would like mark what their piece was sort of in some way and then at the end of it they'd have this hot bread that was made. Oh wow! They would leave. So there were like a lot of nice rituals having to do with that. There were also kids that like quite honestly I would there were some kids like there'd be like a there was like a. A little girl that, like, her parents were like, she eats no refined sugar. She doesn't drink soda. She doesn't do any. She's only does doesn't ever watch television. She never sees. And I always remember thinking, like, oh man, like, this kid's gonna turn fifteen and go nuts. You know, like, did she? I don't know. Um, do you remember what her name was? Meadow. Remember what her last name was? No. Um, Imagine if we look, could look her up on Facebook. Uh, yeah, I don't know what her last name was. But no, I just think like if you don't give a kid any sugar, any access to TV, at a certain point, they are going to encounter these things in the world and they're just going to be like, I'm going to have all of this stuff. Right. Like, I feel like it's better to give a moderate amount and teach a kid limits rather than complete deprivation and just hope that the appeal of sugar will be diminished when they eventually discover it. Well, also, you're taking stuff that is not... Overtly dangerous, yeah. And you're making it something that's forbidden fruit, forbidden, yeah. But that they can perceive around them is not specifically dangerous, yeah. And thus they're like, oh, this must be so good that I can't try it, yeah. Because all these other people like it, yeah. I need to try this, and then they overindulge. Yeah, I just feel like the, that person's going to love sugar. May, maybe every now and then there'll be someone who's like, yeah, I never developed a taste for it, but I feel like sugar is a pretty appealing thing. I had cousins that my aunt and uncle, they uh, didn't let their kids have sugar or uh-huh. desserts or things like that or TV. And then when they'd go to my grandmother's house, they would overload to the point where they would eat like cake and stuff like that to the point where they would like throw up. Yeah. Because they just had to, they had to indulge because they had no concept of how to moderate themselves. Since yeah. They never learned that skill. Yeah. So they never learn that it's like, oh, it'll taste good for a while and then it'll make you sick. It was just like, no, it tastes good now. And like, I'm allowed to now, so I'm going to do it now because I won't be able to do this in like a day. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, Jeff and I saw AI when I was living in Ashland. Okay. And I feel like this is, I was proud of this reaction moment uh, because I feel like it summed up my reaction to the movie AI, right. which is there's a portion of the movie where, you know, famously, like, AI was a film that Stanley Kubrick was developing for a long, long time. Right. He died, and he kind of bequeathed it to Steven Spielberg, like, you finish this movie. Yeah, exactly. And there's a point in the movie where they visit, like, this hologram doctor called Dr. No. Yep. And it's this cartoon Albert Einstein that's voiced by Robin Williams. Yeah. And he's, hello, hello, I'm Dr. No, I'm Dr. No, what do you know, what do you know? And I remember leaning to Jeff during this uh, portion of the movie. I said, do you think there is any chance that this is how it would have been in the Kubrick version? Yeah, exactly. Because it was just like, there's just no, you just couldn't imagine 
there'd be a version of it where Kubrick would be like, yeah, and then there'll be an animated Albert Einstein character, and let's get Robin Robin Williams. Williams Let's get Robin Williams to uh, improvise some jokes. Um, That's not a knock on Robin Williams or anybody. It's just like this is so not Stanley Kubrick's style. Yeah, that it felt like a betrayal uh, because it also felt like it was not it was not the best of Spielberg in the sense that it'd be like this feels like it's coming from the part of Spielberg that made like Hook. Or Jurassic Park. Uh, yeah, yeah. Although I like Jurassic Park. Right, but I'm just saying it's that same. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't feel, it didn't feel like uh, a good blending. Yes. And I think Spielberg could make a great Kubricky type film. He's done enough different kinds of movies that he just, I felt like for most of AI, it didn't tap into what I think would identify as anything that felt like a Kubrick film. Um, Is that preschool job the weirdest job you've had? Um, no, the I mean probably uh, it's a it's a weird one. I mean I haven't had that many jobs. I had a temp job briefly where I I went to Manpower, which is a temp company, and for two days I worked in a car factory, and I didn't really have any skill to work in a car factory, and it literally was that my job for two days was that the the metal frames that um made up like the the skeleton of like the back seat of a of a family van. Right. They had like a couple hundred of these that were had come out defective. They were bent. Right. And they needed someone to bend them back into shape. Um and they weren't hard. It was just like a shitty job to do. Right. Like, it just like it would be just like a robot can't do this because everyone's a little different. Everyone's bent a little and basically you need to bend it and then put it on you basically have to lift this. It's the size of like a thing that would seat maybe three, yeah. maybe four people in a pinch. Uh, and, and they were just a little bit bent. And I'd have to bend them a little and then put them on this giant magnet thing that was built in the shape of it. And it had to touch, like if it touched all the points of this magnet thing, then it was like, eh, now it's good. Yeah. And so I did this for two days. And I just remember it being like a really weird two days. I had this one Elvis Costello song stuck in my head, uh, and I was just singing it to myself all day. Um, what year was this? This would have been maybe 94, 95, something like that. It's like a summer job. Right. Um, and I was always really bad at getting jobs. I think it's one of the reasons that I've worked in the same job for over a decade now is that like I'm not good at getting jobs I always feel like everyone else was like good at it they'd like figure out oh yeah I've got this job I work in this office I'm like how'd you get that job right and I remember there was one time when uh, I there was a job there was like these firework stands that go up in the summertime and I needed like work in the summer and this guy who ran uh, the Jefferson City sub shop in Missouri, this was when I was like in high school, uh, was like, yeah, I need somebody to like guard the fireworks stand at night next to the highway. Oh, no. Uh, and I was like, basically, you just sit in the tent and just sit there all night. You can bring a little TV or whatever and just stay there all night. Yeah. I was like, and like, it was like paid like several hundred dollars or something. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. I'll do that. And uh, so I was like, okay, yeah. Uh, when you do like this Saturday night, you come by around like 
10 p.m. and then you just stay through till morning or whatever. And and now when I think about it, I think that's a terrifying job. I would never want to do that job. Why yeah. would I? But I was just like, oh, it'd be so easy. I'd just like sit in this tent all night and watch TV. And not taking into consideration, this is like pre-cell phone. Pre- where I'd be like, what would I do if someone decided yeah. like I'm gonna rob the fireworks stand? Right. Um, and like three, two teenagers could have easily like taken it. Right. I guess it's just you're assuming that they'll be like someone's in there. They probably have a gun, you know, like. Right. And so, ten o'clock on the Saturday when I'm supposed to show up, I have my sleeping bag and everything, and I pull up in my car, and uh, there's a bunch of guys there, and they're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, we don't need you." I was like, "I'm supposed to guard the thing." Like, "Yeah, it's fine. We're we're gonna do it." It's like, "All right, okay." So then I went back to the sandwich shop and I'm like what happened like I was supposed to do this and then you had all these people there I'm like oh yeah sorry about that yeah um, we'll need you this Saturday night at 10 o'clock I was like, okay great so I did it again and there were a bunch of guys there already like yeah, yeah no it's alright we don't need you I was like oh, okay so this is not a real job and I never understood it like I never understood uh, what happened right because it clearly wasn't a prank it wasn't satisfying enough to be a prank right and the guy felt genuinely bad about it when I went in to say about the second time yeah. about the first time I was like, oh yeah sorry about that like, it wasn't like it was like a middle aged guy it wasn't a guy that would be like gotcha you know yeah what do you think it was just bad planning I think it was just yeah. they had a bunch of guys running the fireworks stand they were like yeah we'll do it yeah they're like we'll stay here you're yeah. gonna pay us money yeah I think it was just the guys who were running it just decided like we'll do it yeah exactly I mean, it wouldn't have been a very good idea for me to do that job, and I wouldn't have been good at it if it had ever been required anything right. beyond that. Better to have, like, a bunch of guys who just want to hang out all night. No one will mess with that. It's supposed to be, like, one teenager who's not brave. And isn't quite sure what the job is. Yeah. Yeah. What's the weirdest job you ever had? Uh, my dad maybe worked in his company's warehouse for, like, a summer. Mm-hmm. Which was fine, but it was like me and a bunch of like ex cons, and that was when I was like fifteen. What kind of warehouse? Uh, it's a company that distributes CPR training materials. <laughs> okay, like dolls. Yeah, so CPR dummies, and then actual defibrillators and books and stuff like that. And so, you know, it was like basic stuff, like getting orders, packing them, shipping uh-huh. them doing inventory, but it was like a big warehouse and there was probably six people total that worked in it. Yeah. And the one guy, uh, it was so weird because I all knew that my dad was like the boss of the place, but because it was so removed. Yeah. Cause it's not like he would ever interact, you know, it's he not like come by and check on it. He would, but like check out, but it's not like he was sitting there watching them. He was doing stuff in the, with all the salespeople and stuff like that. Yeah. So then like, I don't know what these people were thinking, but this one guy tried to start getting me to like deliver drugs for him. Oh man! And bring drugs to work, and like bring guns to work. And this is in Illinois, where it's like can't have guns. You grew up in Illinois? Yeah. I didn't know that. Really? So we're both Midwestern boys. I north suburb of Chicago. Uh. But that's why whenever you say St. Louis, that's why I'm like, yeah, I, I know the type of I know. I know that area. Do you know the Knickerbocker Hotel? Yes, I do. I stayed there once. Really? Yeah. Um, I'm in JD's refrigerator. I'm taking out the uh, Russian lemonade. 
Do you want me to get glass? No, I'll get glass. I don't have glasses. That's the problem. I have to wash them. Okay. Let me do it. All right. You you talk while I uh, I just can't respond because I don't have a lot. Oh, but I feel like we're in the middle of your uh, segment. Do you want me to bring the mic over to you? Okay. Um, JD's just going to go wash dishes over here. I find that interesting that you, that I didn't know that that you were an Illinois boy. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, I worked in my dad's, uh, mail room at the Missouri Bankers Association for, it was supposed to be a summer right before I moved to England. And then the opening of the school that I was going to in England was delayed from September until January. So I stayed on working in the mail room another few months. So it really started to feel more like a long-term job. And I did have the feeling like I could do this forever where, the mail room, basically like the mail, I would pick up the mail at the post office. I would sort the mail uh, and I would put it in the various like, I would sort everybody's mail at the Missouri Bankers Association. And then I would, when people had mail that they want sent out, I would like, I worked the, uh, the postage mas- machine for that. But then a lot of the day, you know, I just played the music that I wanted and I could every now and then go on the internet and and I really was like, this is a great job. Like, you really don't, like, it doesn't take a lot out of you. Am I the only one who's going to drink this soda? No, I will. Okay. You only washed one glass. I've got, I've got my glass. Okay. All right, so are you going to pour some for you? Yeah. All right. Uh, no, this is uh, Russian. Uh, JD is, uh, this is one, uh, my favorite thing about that, I didn't notice about this before, the logo for this uh, Russian lemonade is a Pinocchio, I assume it's a Pinocchio, because it's a wooden jointed puppet with a long nose, but he's holding a key in his right hand. Shapaduk. That's the Russian for this. Um, but it, it says 100% high quality. Why does he have a key? I have no idea, because the key is not an important part of the Pinocchio in story. In Russia, there's probably some fucked up box that he locks people oh. in. <laughs> he like, locks kids in a box. <laughs> it doesn't smell great, honestly. Oh, God. I can't take another drink of this. <laughs> Wait, let me get over by a mic. Oh. Oh, God. I don't recommend Russian lemonade. And honestly, it smells like cough syrup. (laughs) It is medicinal. I do not like Pinocchio, Russian Pinocchio lemonade. Let me try a sip, but it smells like cough syrup. Like, I'm not going to like this. (laughs) Oh, no. No, 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 no. No way. We are done. 100% high quality. I feel like... I feel like uh, it's, it's terrible. Oh God, it's so bad. Should we try the other? It's like medicine. I mean, I don't have a lot of confidence. I'm pouring out this whole thing right now. Just keep. I'll give okay, it give it to Gethard. Um, I feel like. Oh God, that's bad. It's really bad. Uh, <laughs> the. This does not seem like it's this, this looks identical. The, the the other soda we got when I looked at it in the fr- in the refrigerator looks like the exact same soda with a different sticker. Does it smell the same? Does it smell the same? JD just smelled it and he made a face like, oh no, exactly the same. Okay, the, this is pear soda. Oh, I mean, I can tell even before I've taken a sip of it 
that it is not good. It's the same drink, right? Almost exactly the same, except it's just a little less strong. It's a little less strong. I recommend... Well, I feel like it's a real warning sign. Oh, God, that's bad stuff. <laughs> yeah, let's split this lemonade. we got to get this uh, taste out of our mouth. Um, I feel like the story behind that label is... Pretzels? Yeah, I feel like the story behind that label is... Um, what is that? These are nuts that a priest made. I'm gonna have I'm gonna have my Cadbury's flake. Um, I feel like the reason they wrote 100% high quality was just like they knew it was bad, and they're like, we should write that it's 100% good, just to like it's like let's tell well, the, it, the the big lie. No, it feels to me that it's like no, just it tastes like it's gone bad. Yeah, but it's actually high quality. Don't worry. Yeah. Ooh. Is that helping you out? Yeah, now we're drinking the uh, Simply brand lemonade, right? Yes. Oh, and at first, for a second, it, it felt like the first sip of the lemonade felt like um, uh, it had much to better. eat through like a layer of Russian sadness. Uh, I like how both of us, a yeah. sip of that was too much. Oh, God. It, I, I, I mean, I'm notoriously, you know, as we said before, my... Tasting things, I'm picky. I'm real choosy about stuffs. But uh, oh, that was just unbearably bad. I guess, you know, it seems obvious now. When we saw it in the Euro uh, grocery store, I think I was bedazzled by the, the charm of something different. And that man tried to assure us that it was going to be good. Yeah. That man knew nothing about it. Yeah. He was just doing his job well. Yeah, I asked, and he said, yeah, people like it. It's really popular. Um, but I'm eating a Cadbury's Flake now, if it sounds like I'm eating something. Um, and, and JD is eating uh, priest-made nuts. Um, continue with the warehouse story. Oh, so they were all, str- you know, I was very friendly with them, and, you know, because you spent all this time with these people. Mm-hmm. But then they started... You know, tell me about the, all the drugs they had and asked if I wanted crack and all this stuff. And it was like, no, I don't. Also, my dad is your boss. Like, isn't this like 101 of like, don't work situation? And how do they respond to that? Um, they didn't. I never said that. I just sort of went along with it. And oh, then I was going to say, JD, pretty ballsy. No, I was not ballsy at all. And then by the end of it, because they, they knew I was going away to film school. Mm-hmm. Shoot a like porno a, with us. Well, it was like a movie where, as I was leaving, they all sort of stood there and said goodbye. Then this one guy, Steve, with like these like Coke bottle government issue glasses, who's mm-hmm. an ex-con, and tats all over the place. Looked like he looked like a skinhead sort of. Mm-hmm. He goes, as I walk away, he goes, Amato, hey man, just don't forget about us. And then the other guy was like, yeah, man, don't forget about us. And I forgot both of their last names. But you didn't forget about them. I did not forget about them, though. I mean, if they I feel like if they had if they had had the foresight, I mean, how would they have known this? If that guy had said, Amato, don't forget our last names. Then I would have been in trouble. 
Then no, I, I think you, I, just, I think you would have remembered it. Well, I don't. I didn't. I wouldn't have held up my end of the bargain, so I would have forgotten. No, I don't think that's true. I think you sold yourself short. I think you did exact exactly what they asked of you. Um, I don't know if that was my weirdest job though, but that was definitely my like. I believe job. you're the kind of person that if those guys had whatever those guys had said, I would have done. <laughs> if it was possible, if they'd said, JD, don't forget the quadratic equation. JD, draw a picture of us every Tuesday night. JD, have a dinner in our honor every Easter. JD, wear a hat at all times with our names on it. JD, join Sam's Club, but in our names, not yours. JD, visit every state twice except for Kansas. JD, remember Return to Oz? Watch it. JD, take two golf balls and act like they're your eyes the next time you see someone under age 10. JD, join one of those... Capital Steps type groups in Washington D.C. We sing as political songs to the piano. <laughs> uh, if they'd said, "Don't forget our last names," you you would have even if you didn't know them right then, you would have asked, "What are your last names?" They would have said, "Finkelstein and Wrinkelstein," and you would have remembered it. That, especially those, those names, not related, coincidentally working in the same warehouse. Finkelstein and Wrinkelstein. I do think my well, actually, my weirdest job. Uh-huh. Oh, I might have an embarrassing. Uh, my weirdest job uh-huh. was probably working at Troma Entertainment, mm. where I was. I ghost wrote for Lloyd Kaufman. His book. Well, that's why I ended up leaving. It's because they wanted me to write their book, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to based on what was being offered. Not much. And that did not go over well. But any interview that was with him was always, I wrote all the, it was very interesting. I have like magazines with interviews that I wrote uh-huh. all of his responses for. That's fascinating. I remember you telling me that before. Uh, but I think I probably asked the same question about his book when you told me that. There's stories now I can't uh, tell on this podcast. My other weird job was probably the VH1 job. Mm-hmm. So I was a staff editor there. And then when I quit, they asked me to come back Wednesday nights only. To do graveyard shift editing. Yeah. So every Wednesday night after the Gethard show. Oh, I remember when you would do that. Yeah. I would go to VH1 and be like one of like three people working in that entire building. And you'd work all night. It was the worst. Yeah. And it was working on like VH1 news pieces. It was so strange. I mean, your weird jobs are all, except for the warehouse thing, which is a family connection. But like your weird job, like working for Troma, editing all night for VH1. I feel like those are still within the world of, uh, those make sense as weird jobs for you as you build your show right. business career. Um, my weird jobs are all crappy jobs. Like I, I was a dishwasher during the summer in Ashland when um, there wasn't school, school, when like the kids were all away for vacations and stuff like that. Um, I worked as a dishwasher at this local like inn. And uh, my hands, I had this like reaction to either the gloves or the detergent or something. But like my hands were just like peeling and in agony, like they were uncomfortable all the time. Really? Yeah. And I remember there was like a weird thing where like um, uh, everybody there, like you had the chef and his like, line chef, line cook or whatever and all the people who were like cooking stuff 
in the kitchen. They all had like their banter and their like um their conversations. I was never part of their conversations. I was just like quiet guy, kept to myself, washed the dishes. Right. And um I remember feeling like there would be nights when like the wait staff would like get big tips and their tips were all pooled, but it didn't go to the dishwasher, it just went to the wait staff. I remember feeling like bad about that. Like my job is worse than yours. Like I'm washing the dirty dishes. Right, right, right. And yet you guys, when you get like clean dishes are a part of the service of this place, you would not get good tips if I didn't, if I left the dishes a little dirty and no one noticed. Right. Like if a customer noticed, oh, this glass isn't clean, that would affect the tips. I remember being annoyed that like the wait staff would like celebrate when there was like, oh my God, this tourist who's coming to town for the Shakespeare Festival left a hundred dollar tip. We split it, you know, um, but it was, I remember the, the, um, the, cause Ashland, Oregon is in Southern Oregon and like, um, it's a little, like there's a lot of like in red state America, there's like, uh, even though Oregon, I guess is a blue I state. Say, was Oregon red state? Well, most of Oregon is red state, but most of the people in Oregon live in Portland, right. which makes it a blue state. But if you go to most parts of Oregon, like there's a, an area of Oregon that I was told is like one of the main hubs of the Ku Klux Klan up near like, I think like near Grants Pass or something. There's like areas near certain places where like you don't want to like mess around in this town or whatever. And Ashland is this town that's very like public radio, uh, um, like it's a, it's a well-to-do, like very nice politically left-wing people, but like there were a lot of people that like, I had babysit for people who like, they'd be like a gro- two grown adults with like a little kid and like, what's their job? They don't have a job. Like they inherited a bunch of money and they just live in this nice town. And so I'd go like babysit their kids and they'd be like, I'm going for a hike. Like that would be like their daily activity would be like right. go for a hike somewhere That's in such the beautiful a nature. That's existence. Yeah, and but if you go outside of Ashland, even ten minutes, five minutes in your car or whatever, you have like Talent, Oregon, and then Medford, Oregon. Medford's where like the mall is, where you'd go to, you know, like chain restaurants would be in Medford. Yeah, uh, Ashland actually had a rule about like if you have the McDonald's has like you can't have a sign that's higher than whatever on the road, so you. Like, the McDonald's has, like, the arches are, like, on the ground. Right. Because uh, they have to keep it looking like a nice little town. Medford is the area where they have, like, the mall and the Orange Julius and all the Pizza Huts and whatever, you know. Um, and so uh, so the, the, the tone of Ashland was very, like, kind of, like, everyone was, like, everybody had the Oh Brother Where Art Thou soundtrack and, you know, everybody, you know. It was, there was a certain kind of demographic to it. And so even like in this kitchen where I worked, I remember I would listen to these conversations between like the line cook and like the head chef. And uh, one of them was like, uh, like the, the line cook was like, uh, hey man, uh, well, the, the, the head chef, uh, just if you want to think in terms of casting purposes, you would cast uh, Dylan Baker. Remind me who Dylan Baker Dylan is. Baker, um, I'm trying to think. He's a well-known character actor. He was in Happiness. He played the the pedophile in Happiness. Okay. Um, recently, he's in Anchorman Two. Yeah, he's been on a lot of different TV shows. But you you probably remember. Okay, him. sure, sure, sure. Uh, he, he plays a uh, uh, very very great actor. Does a lot of. He might be New York based. He does a lot of I think theater now. Um, 
But Dylan Baker would be who you'd cast to play the okay. head chef. Just kind of like, but not in his creepy mode, like when he plays like a mild-mannered average guy, sort of. And the line cook was talking to him and was saying like, uh, uh, he, he was saying something like, uh, oh, uh, like they would talk about it. He goes, what's your, uh, what's your biggest fear, man? And the line cook would be like, oh, oh, my biggest fear? Oh, well. Yeah, I guess, I guess my biggest fear would be uh, something would happen to me, you know. And I just think like, what would I, uh, what would what would happen to my daughters? Oh man, that's yeah, that's pretty rough. Yeah, you know, I guess that would be the thing that I'd be most uh, most frightened of. It's just like, you know, would they be all right? And like, I remember thinking like, this is not the standard kitchen conversation. Yeah, like they would go deep. They would, like, one would ask a question, and the other guy would take it super serious. Like, one guy was a little bit more, like, he'd pose, like, deep questions, and the other guy would just take them really seriously. I like that. And uh, it was great. I really did like it. I remember one time, uh, the line cook was like, uh, uh, the, main, the head chef was like, uh, so, uh, what'd you do over the weekend? And the line cook was like, oh, man, I had a weird weekend. Uh, there was one point where, uh, it was really strange, I... Uh, you ever you ever experienced a state of pure consciousness? <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I don't know. I don't. I don't think so. Oh yeah. I mean, there was a point this weekend where I've sort of been experimenting with just trying to get into a state of just like pure consciousness, where like you're you're just like you're not aware of anything except just the state of of just being, you know, and everything falls away. And I gotta tell you, there was a point this weekend where I thought. I was going so far into just being a state of just pure consciousness that I started feeling like I was just pulling away. Like maybe I'll just like drift off into becoming pure consciousness and never come back. And there was this long pause where while he heard the head chef was just like processing this and he goes, uh, oh, well, uh, oh, don't do that. Huh. Uh, oh, no, I need, I need you for work here. <laughs> and, they were so funny. I, I haven't thought about them in years, but the way that they would just the, the just the concept of like, yeah, well, don't don't, do don't turn to pure consciousness because you know, I, I I need you to I, come in here. You know, you're you're in the line cut. We've agreed that you'd help me here. <laughs> yeah, and so I just like the fact that those are actually they made a great like. I would just listen to them talk. That was the best part of that job. Was like the one guy would like always be super new age. The other guy was just very simple but honest. He was just like he'd react to everything real practically. Uh, but my hand the, it was just my main memory of that job was hit, destroyed my hands I remember thinking like oh this is a particularly bad job yeah it's weird how everyone ha- everyone has weird little uh, moments in their life where they like enter these worlds that they'll never return to yeah and I always think about that and I feel like I'm very conscious of it when I'm ha- when it's happening too where I'm like huh this is very real to me right now, but I will either forget this or it will become a distant memory so unlike the rest of my life. And you sit in those moments and then like, I feel like those details seep in, uh-huh. but then because it's so different, you forget about it. But then when you sort of like reconnect, suddenly this whole world opens up. You're like, Oh, right. I forgot. I forgot all of these things. Um, Huge parts of your life that you don't think about most of the time. Yes. Yeah. Like, you'll live in a place for years and then not think about it again. Yeah, exactly. 
um, it is true that like, even though we are the sum of our experiences, there are huge pockets. There are huge pockets of my life when I think back where I feel like, well, I know that's me, but it's not me anymore. Like I'm not that person now. Right. Even though I feel like the same, like I feel like there's a consistency to who I am. It's like, both good things and bad things. There's times where like, I can't believe I did that for both good and bad reasons. There's like, you look back at past accomplishments and you're either ashamed or impressed, but in a way that it's like someone else did it. Yeah. Um, yes, I agree. Like where it doesn't feel necessarily arrogant to be impressed that like you did something 10 years ago because now a lot of those things, it's like, I don't know how that I could do that again. What's something like that in your life? Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, it's easy to think of bad things, but I'm trying to think of a good thing. Um, no, I'll just think of like something that I did that was like funny or something. And then I'll think like, oh, I don't know that I could get there again. I could do something else that would be good maybe, but it would be different. Yeah. Um, like even I think of like things, moves I did like in improv shows a few years ago that I think like. Hmm, I don't know that I would necessarily have the energy to do that now. Uh, yeah, I know that feeling. I've had that feeling lately with improv. Because I sort of feel myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe it's just like a phase, but I feel myself being like, oh, I might never really do long-form improv again. Uh-huh. Just short-form for you all the way? Yeah. Uh, no. But it's just like... I spent such a period of my time getting what I think was pretty good at long-form improv. Mm-hmm. But then now both the place where I did that, the theater, and what my interests are as a person, mm-hmm. sort of, it doesn't make sense. I'll never return to that path probably. Right. Or at least to the degree that I was doing it for that period of time. Right. Because now if I do stuff at that theater, it's not going to be that kind of stuff. It's going to be stuff that's more purely the things that I enjoy about theater. Right, because you were on Herald... How long were you on Herald Night for? Uh, about a year and a half, two years. Which was a Somewhere around good there. stretch. That's so like a good run. Yeah. Um, it's like a good solid block of time to do something. But I feel like there are trajectories at the UCB Theater that are more and more or less conducive towards doing it for longer than that. Right. And, like, there are people who were on Herald Night for a long time. Um, that is a thing that happens. But a lot of times what more often happens is the people who do it for a long time eventually end up on, like, a weekend team, which then that becomes a different thing, like a different right. kind of show, yeah, exactly. a different kind of audience, um, a little bit removed from the actual community of the theater. Yes, absolutely. Like, Weekend teams are very well regarded by the community of the theater and looked up to by students and stuff like that, but those aren't necessarily the shows that all the students are going to see all the time. Yeah. I mean, in, some, in some cases they are, but um, but Herald Night is much more like everybody's seeing everybody else. Everybody yeah, exactly. Teams are seeing one another, whereas like weekend teams can go years without seeing each other perform. So it's a little bit more... Um, yeah. But that's why I look back at some of the stuff of just trying to learn and get good at just standard long-form improv. Yeah. And I have that same thing where I'm like, oh, man, I'm impressed I did a couple of those things. Right. Because now I've sort of 
let my brain go to a place where it's not working on those exact same skills. Yeah. And the stuff that I do is probably, it's not that I haven't, I've lost those skills, but it's like, it's like when you're training to race versus boxing. Yeah. Or like running for a boxer. Wait, listen, I'm not trying, I'm not going to get into boxing. Okay. You've been pushing that for a long time. All right. I'm not, I'm not going there. Maybe it'll happen. But like r- hiking for the experience, like r- running into the woods, like mm-hmm. on like a hiking trail for the experience yeah. of it versus like running to race. Yeah. I think that's for the difference where I'm like, I will, I, I'll never be doing long from improv with the intensity and degree that I did it back then. And so I look back at some of those things and I'm like, oh, I'm impressed that I was able to do that because my brain, I don't think is necessarily equipped to enjoy that type of creation. Yeah. I think it would be one of those things where it'd be like, uh, I think you're still using all of the same things that you got from doing Harold's for a year right, and a half. Exactly. But, uh, a Harold is such a specific thing to do that you're probably just like, I mean, there are episodes of the Gethard show that are probably function structurally like a Harold or where you're using a lot of the same skills right. in terms of like, but like, I'll never find myself again, probably in a situation where I'll have to justify vampire dad on the fly. And do it successfully to laughter. Maybe. In like an improv scene. Maybe. Maybe, but like... It's less likely. It's less likely because both the thing... If I'm doing improv, the things that I enjoy or stuff on that stage, the thing that I enjoy is not that. You don't like Vampire Dad? No. But I'm your father. <laughs> I literally did that. I, I was in a scene that was like essentially that. You don't. You don't talk to me. I'm not. Well, I could just... Is it because I am a creature of the night? The scene. The scene literally went like like that. That was like the initiation. And then I'm... well, I am. I will let you grow out of this phase. Dad, I've just been thinking, and like I feel like honestly, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I believe in being a vampire anymore. I just don't see the evidence there for it to be something you know part of my life. Like I guess I. Look at me. I'm all the evidence you need. I just, I just, I don't want to do this scene. I don't want to do this scene, Connor. I'm, I will, I will sink my fangs into you. Just, it, was a, it was a great scene we did at Harold Night. Was it like that? Did it end kind of sad? No, it was me confessing like as a, a kid saying that he didn't want to have a bar mitzvah or didn't want to uh, proceed in religion. Dad, that was very religious, being very upset about it. Mm-hmm. And the second beat was uh, instead of a birthright trip, it was a death right trip. Mm-hmm. It was great. A lot, of good, a lot of good specifics. That's good. But that's like not the kind of comedy that I really enjoy. But like being on Herald Night, a part of that is doing that kind of comedy, you know? You know what vampire character makes me laugh is uh, vampire <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Or... Yes. I, I've always, that was one of my favorite and the first of the, um, my favorite of all the get the show characters, are like the left turn characters mm-hmm. where it's like, here's a thing that you'd expect, but then there's this one element to it that is completely unexpected. Yeah. And that is the overwhelming thing. Like the fact that Josh was like, cause it's the premise is so present in the name mm-hmm. instead of Abraham vampire, Abraham Lincoln, vampire hunter, it's uh vampire, Abraham Lincoln hunter. Great. That's just a reversal of this concept. Yeah. And then Josh's like, yeah, yeah, I'm a vampire that kills Abraham Lincolns. But I do it by 
homosexually seducing them and then murdering them, and I'm not always sure that they're Abraham Lincoln. So essentially, I am just murdering gay people. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, you're just you're just a homophobic serial killer. Who is who is gay? Who is gay? Yeah. Um, is just a deeply confused character who's very confident about his world. Yeah. Which I love that. Also, like Josh, I feel like every time Josh brings a new detail into it, it's always really funny. Yes. Um, I was very happy in the... Now we're just talking about the Chris Gethard show, uh, but I feel like we can do that. Yeah. For the, the, we're this far in, we can do that. Um, we're only 35 minutes into the episode. Um, this, like, resets every... Uh, I have it broken up. All right, good. No edits, though. No. Um, the Cream Wedding... Uh, I was very happy to see uh, Mopey Janitor with bad timing back. He had, like, sort of the last word of all the Get There show. It also, it really made sense to have that character, even though you could argue it was good timing to have him back for that episode, but it's bad timing to have such a long break between that character's first appearance and his second appearance. I just like all the deep references, and I like doing that because then it makes it feel like at any time anything could happen. Mm -hmm. Like having... Rachel and Ray come back, break up, and then having Jackie's corner of sadness. Yeah. To me, it was like, yep, that's like, that's what I would have wanted as a fan. It's like, oh my God, here's this thing that I completely forgot about. Yeah. Oh, they remember this stuff too. I also want to use this moment to correct something that I heard on the Talking TGS, TCGS podcast. What was that? Which was, because uh, I feel like this is a good place Did to I start get doing it wrong? corrections. No, you didn't get it wrong. It was, I, I think it was just a, a miswording on uh, Griffin's part. When he was talking about... This is a um, podcast that someone d- that friends of ours do about another show that we do where they dissect the episodes. Yeah. And I was recently a guest, and I think Connor's referencing the episode that I was on where yeah. something was said incorrectly. Uh, Griffin was just talking about what it was like backstage when during the Scaring the Shit Out of Bethany episode. Yeah. And uh, when you were saying, uh, oh, should... When people were saying, should we go out? Should we do this? Should we do whatever? Um, that I think he said that he was list- listing the people back there because I think at one point Shannon asked you should yeah. I go out there and say something or whatever and you're like no no let's just leave it like this Yeah. but he made it sound like I was also backstage pitching should I go out uh, uh, no and you weren't and I wasn't because I was just watching I wasn't had no plans of being in that episode um, but it made it sound like I was backstage and I was saying like do you want me to go out JD uh, no, you were not doing that. I was you never not doing that. that. In I, fact, I have to like beg you to go out sometimes. Yeah. Um, the one time that was very successful recently was the sandwich night, uh, the Amazing Grace yes. thing, where which was which I credited you with entirely. That it was someone should sing Amazing Grace. When did Grace. you credit me of that? Whenever people would ask me about oh, yeah. it, because uh, afterwards they were like, "That was great." I'm like, "It was all JD's idea oh. and timing." Um, no, but uh, so hopefully, long time listeners, only you could have executed that. Maybe like that's one of the, that's why I like doing that show because mm-hmm. that's a move that I wanted to make but I could not have made that move. Right, it wouldn't have made sense for your character to do it. But even just, I can't sing. Don't know the words of that song. Yeah, wouldn't be confident enough to sing it without it yeah. being weird and aggressive. Finale could have done it. But also, well, yeah, maybe. But I think you're the perfect person. Probably, yeah. Because I think Finale would have said because Finale doesn't really know the. Sh- I don't think Finelli would have taken my cue to immediately go do it. Yeah. Whereas I was like, kind of go out there and do it. And you said, really? really? I said, yes. And then you went yeah. out and did it. I think Finelli would have taken too many beats and then it would have been gone. Yeah. Because we were close to losing that moment. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Like we're All right. You probably only beat. I beat Jeff the clock by it off by th- three seconds or so. Yeah. Because at uh, three seconds later he would have been like, "All right," and then it would have been a weird moment. Yeah. But you ran out there and just started singing "Amazing Grace," and it was perfect. Yeah. Um, and perfect for your character. Yeah. And perfect for Sandwich Night. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it is weird. It is weird thinking about. Um, thinking about uh, the skills that the skills that you pick up during certain things and how they how they come into fruition on other yes. things later on. One thing that I credit to improv, and it's such a cliche thing because everyone says, "Oh, it'll help you in like the rest of your professional life. You'll mm-hmm. be able to think on your feet." And that's not true for the most part because most people only take a couple classes. Mm-hmm. But when you go through the whole system and you sort of like yeah. wash your brain into this improv mode, you actually do gain these skills that are weirdly like become second nature of like the ability to like yes and and justify and direct things in certain directions even if it's not your original idea to like get it into a zone that makes you comfortable and to like sort of agree on a premise with people. Yeah. And so I found in talking with people professionally like – the ability to like adapt on the it sounds cliche, yeah. But I think you know what I'm talking about. But, yeah. But it's like the ability to <coughs> have someone say something that should shock me, mm-hmm. or that is completely contrary to what I thought was happening, mm-hmm. and then immediately be okay with it. Explain, explain back to them why it's happening. Create boundaries for it, and then say why I believe it should move in this direction. Also, yeah, is like a thing that. Or likewise, being able to disagree but still move things forward, yeah, has helped me professionally in a way that I never anticipated it would. Yeah, where it's like I feel like I'm much better communicating my ideas because improv is literally only about communicating your ideas. Yeah, in as efficient a way as possible. Yeah, I, I noticed something within the first year or so of doing improv. There was because uh, I work in a bookstore, so I'm in a retail situation dealing with the public a lot, and. Um, there was this customer who came in, and he um, was looking for some book, and then he very quickly shifted in a way that was awkward and uncomfortable to talking about how the reason he was looking for this book is because it was the kind of it, it had something to do with like it was the kind of book that um, his wife would have recommended to him. It's like the kind of book she would have liked. And then he started talking about how his wife had passed away like a year ago or something. And he started getting into detail about like just how sad things were. And, right. and I could have imagined a time where I would have just been like, oh, no, like I don't – this is uncomfortable. I don't know how to deal with this stranger. And I think because I'd, at that point I'd spent a year in classes where like you step out into a scene and someone says like, I'm your new doctor. Oh, you know, and yeah. and you have to just figure out a way to deal with like this annoying or weird or thing or whatever. I was just like, oh, okay, I'll just listen and react to this what this guy's doing. And it wasn't like I was, oh, I'll make a scene out of it, but I would just like process what he was saying, and then I would find a way of responding based on what he had said. And I'm just like, okay, this guy just needs to talk, and I just need to show him that I'm listening. And I need to react in a way that, like, I had to, like, sort of sense, like, what is this guy, why is this guy talking to a stranger about it? He obviously needs to say this. He has no one to say this to, or else he wouldn't be saying this to a bookstore employee. Right. 
And I don't remember what I said, but I remember feeling like, okay, this is going pretty well considering that for most people, this would just be like, oh my God, this is awkward. I don't want to talk to a stranger about this painful thing. Yeah. Um, and I found that like he was just saying these things and I was just responding with like, uh, if he would say something about how like she fought it for a long time, you know, I would just say like, uh, you know, uh, you know, what kind of cancer was it? Or I would just like yeah. follow up with, you know, questions responding, you know, to, to, to like right. uh, show that I was paying attention, you know? Right. Um, and, and then not editorializing or making it about you. Yeah. 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 Um, but. Uh, yeah, I also found for me improv. Now we're talking about the way it's improv has helped us. Yeah. Um, oh man, I did get a lot of those tweets and retweets. Um, just sort of, I feel like in some ways it makes you a better listener, which automatic, like that alone makes you a functionally better person. Yeah. But for me as a director too, because I mean my whole life goal is to be a director, mm-hmm. to direct things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, but, you're directing this podcast. I'm not really. This this podcast could use some direction, and it's not. That's okay. Well, I'm assuming when people are listening to this, they will have heard the sound sweetened considerably, and that's a director's that's job. That's mostly the director's job is to sit and sweeten, sweeten the sound. Um, but, you know, so much of that job is about working with and dealing with actors, right? Yeah. And all through film school, I consider myself a good director. I was good at working an actor, but I always felt like I was faking it mm-hmm. because and I, I couldn't yeah, – I feel like – I'm good at empathizing with people, but I could never really empathize with actors. Yeah. I felt like there was a barrier between us. Yeah. And so I was good at like faking, faking it and getting like performances. Yeah. But it was never, I never really understood. Like I was always like, if anything cracks in this, I will not know how to react. Mm-hmm. But now having spent so much time doing something I would have never anticipated, which is being a performer myself. Yeah been so interesting now working with actors has gone from something that like i feel like to now something that's just mm-hmm. the easiest most just like second nature thing because yeah. immediately i can empathize with how they are feeling in that moment yeah and like because i never knew the line between like uh what's the line between the character and the actor and like how much can i direct the actor and how much can i try to direct the character and like yeah. I, and now I'm just like, I know exactly what that line is because I've been there a thousand times and I've worked with a thousand different versions of this type of actor. I know the ones that are have to stay in it. I know the ones that have to be in it. It's like, yeah. immediately I can empathize with it. And then in shooting that, that makes it much easier to shoot because now I can see from like inside where they are and then it makes more sense where to place the camera and how to interact with them. Yeah. So it's been hugely helpful in that that regard. And just having a, a, a basis of comedy that is like sort of an, an objective tested and measurable way to create and work with comedy mm-hmm. makes it so much easier to direct comedy because you have a base of how you're going to approach it. Yeah. And so even working with like stand-ups or people like that, I immediately now have a perspective and a language that's not based on I'm going to make this choice. Is this funny or not? Like, I'm going to, I'm going to tweak this thing. Let's see if it works or not. It's like, no, no, no. I'm going to make this choice because I know it will lead to this thing. Right. So it's been interesting. And for that, I'm very, very, very grateful. And it's a tool that I, I can't understand now how people direct without 
performing to some degree. Yeah. It, it must feel so, I mean, it just was such a foreign feeling and unnatural. Yeah. I and I can't imagine, I mean, there are aspects of directing things that I would like. Like, I like editing stuff. I like compiling stuff together. But I really, uh, I dislike a lot of just the practical elements of, like, getting stuff together to film things. Right. Uh, and I also feel like I don't have the patience to learn what the technical requirements for things are. I always feel like I'm willing to skimp on any manner of technical things. Right. And then just try to fix it later. Sure. Uh, I just feel like I would never be able to get to the point where I'd be enthusiastic enough to learn what kind of equipment you need to use and what the differences are between great equipment and not great equipment. Yeah, I think that's a thing that lots of people have, though, and I feel like that's a thing that I've, I feel like I have that to a certain extent, too, where it's like you get stressed out. Equipment can be a stressful thing, but I think it's just like anything else where it's like the whole idea is that you get over thinking about that. Yeah. Yeah. But I think the biggest thing is I think the thing that's stressful in anything is just unknowns, right? Because mm-hmm. there's not anything that's that complicated in life. It's just stuff you know and stuff you don't know. Yeah. And the stuff you don't know paralyzes you. Mm-hmm. And even if like... For example, here's a great example. Yeah. My mom used, and dad ma- used to make me go to uh, day camp in the summers. And I, I was not a kid that liked fucking chaos and mm-hmm. weird, any, any uh, complicated social situation. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't like kids that were poorly behaved. I didn't like chaos at all. And day camp was all of that. Yeah. And I, I like to know the whole lay of the land before I went into things. Yeah. And I remember one day all the kids were playing kickball. It was mm-hmm. like one of the, the, the activities. Yeah. And I did not know the rules of kickball. Yeah. Just didn't know. I didn't know how it worked. I got that there were bases, but I didn't know when you ran to what base and why you had to and when you had to stop and et cetera. And at the time, these people seemed like adults, but they're clearly like 16-year-olds, you know, that were the counselors. Yeah. Like, don't worry about it. Just run to this base. Don't worry. And the entire time, I was just so stressed out and I just, I think I ended up quitting and just being like, I'm just going to sit here because even though the only thing I had to do was kick the ball and run to that base. And then when they told me run to the next base, those are the only activities because I didn't know the, there were so many question marks around why I was doing it or like if something could happen to intervene that, you know what I mean? Yeah. That that paralyzed me and maybe not want to do that. And I feel like that's the way for almost everything where it's like, Truthfully, the like technology behind like cameras and equipment mm-hmm. is very simple. Yeah, but just the fact that you don't know that is enough to be like, uh, I'm not going to enter that territory. Yeah, because even if I could be like, you don't have to worry about that. The fact that it's something you wouldn't know would yeah. be still a stressful thing. Yeah, which is why I feel like so much of life is just like learning all the details of a thing, even though you're never going to use them, just so that you know you don't have to worry about them. I feel like for me, like when I've done stuff where, uh. I'll have someone like filming something. They're always on top of the way that I'd be like, ah, let's just film it on my flip cam. Yeah. And I'd be like, well, we won't get good sound with that. I'd be like, ah, we'll figure it out. And I'm just too eager to cut corners if, if something's just easier. Like, well, this one just has one button. Let's just use that. Right. Uh, I feel like I'll always have an element of like, like I'm getting ready to do the my second Olympic workout at UCB. Right. And my impulse is rather than giving... Even though uh, Alex, who does the tech at UCB Theater, he's more than willing and capable for me to give him a bunch of tech cues. 
my inclination is I'm just going to do what I did last year and just edit a 25-minute DVD that is like, this is the backing for the show. Yeah. Hit play. Hit play, and I will just adapt to, if the timing's off, we'll figure it out. Rather than deal with the, the variables of, here's my 20 keys sure. or whatever, I'll just be like, the sound keys are on this, and if we go off it, then uh, sure. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And I'm aware that like maybe it could be slightly better if I would just like instead make a tech cue list. But I'm like, nah, I just want to edit this thing together and I'll do the show to that. Yeah, and I think that's the thing that I find is fun is being like, I'm going to give all these people specific jobs and then in the moment we're going to see them all cascade together and work in unison. Yeah. Um, but also, I'm going to say this. Yeah. I think you've developed a lack of trust of the world around you to a certain degree. Probably, yeah. I feel like there's... I feel like you're a person that every now and then, like, if there's something that you want done, you will only go to other people if it is absolutely the case that you cannot do it yourself. Yeah. Like, with you editing your things on iMovie, like, there's better ways to do that. There's people that could help you. I don't think there's a better system for editing film that they've developed than iMovie. Than you on iMovie. (laughs) Like, there's so many people that could help, but you're just like, no. At least this way, I know what's going on and I can deal with it myself. Yeah. I feel like you're, you're that way with the comedy perform. All the stuff you do is like, I, will, I want to have domain over this. I want to have full understanding of it so then I can just... Like, you want to know where the walls are so that you can just play within that area. Yeah. As opposed to having any question about something that could go wrong or something that could interfere. I think it's maybe a combination of that and also being comfortable with... I'm comfortable within my own limitations that I'm like, I'm aware that there's a version of this I could hassle a bunch of people into helping me do it. Or I could do a more limited version of that on my own and just get it done. Can I, I have an idea for a dream project for you. What would that be? I'm predicting, I want to know if this would be your dream. Yeah. What if I made a TV show? Mm -hmm. We created a house Uh out in the middle of the country somewhere. Yeah. That had cameras, like Truman Show style, cameras everywhere, rigged up, ready to go. Uh-huh. And they're recording at all time. You didn't have to think once about the cameras or where they were or what yeah. they were doing. You would also hear the audience laughter coming in through speakers in your house. <laughs> there'd be you an audience? Just, there'd be an audience watching at all times, just around the world. Yeah. You, but you would hear them all laughing in unison. And you would just have to live your life as a comedy show mm-hmm. within that. Not 24-7. Not 24-7. But... I could turn it on and off. Yes, you could turn it on and off whenever you wanted. That's what makes it the dream project. <laughs> Show's over for a while. Exactly. But the idea that you could just flip it on, you wouldn't have to think about camera, you could just do a funny thing, have a funny thought, act uh-huh. it out, and people would react. I mean, I would... You wouldn't have to worry about presenting yourself to a camera, to an audience, to anything. It would all be mic'd, it would all be good. You'd just have to, you'd just have to behave comedically. Yeah, I mean, I could see like that. Or non-comedically. I could see liking that. Yeah, there'd be a lot of non-comedic episodes um, of that show. But just imagine that if you woke up and you flipped the thing and you were like, oh, I'm just going to do this thing. I think it would be interesting if I do this thing. Yep, they reacted. Flip it off. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, the one time where I felt like creatively, uh, like, oh, I could do this for a living. Like, I would be happy doing this was in the first 13 weeks of the Gathered Show when we were doing the Lone Cornmeal episodes. Uh, because that was literally like Mile would hand me some footage. Yeah. 
and then I would just have to figure out what to do with it. And the footage would always be good. So I'd always have like, oh, here's some interesting stuff to play with. And then I would just play with that like a toy. You should be an editor. Um, I think you'd be a good editor. I have good editing in- instincts, I think. I appreciate good editing a lot. Like when I see editing, yeah. I'm like, oh, that's a nice like cut. Or I like the way... Like, one thing that I really like, that I really respond well to, is... And I... F- I fantasize about these things is um, the way that a movie or a TV show cuts to the end credit. Um, And my preference is almost always for a hard cut to black and then titles come up in some way. I've recently wrote a whole post to Netflix that a bunch... Oh, about the way Netflix Instant pops to the... uh, Yes, and I think that... um, Now, that only happens if you're watching it on a uh, computer. It doesn't happen when you're watching it on Roku. It happens when you're watching it on PlayStation 3. Mm, Well, that's because you're treating life like a game. Is that why? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to play life like a game. You end up like a loser some of the time. No, when I used to watch Netflix Instant on my iMac, it would bug me the way the second it would cut to executive producer or whatever... It would to me the moment that a show or movie cuts to the end credits or to black. Yeah, that is a near religious experience that is as close to like a post coitus moment mm-hmm. that exists in art, mm-hmm. where it you are your brain is so. It's like um, you're leaving it's the. Like, it's, you're... Like, it's like a, a flash kiln. Yeah, where like the films and painting on your brain this whole time. When it cuts to black, that's when it, it like you have to. The moment can be so easily ruined, mm-hmm. and that's where the entire movie is made in that moment because that's when all of your thoughts solidify. Yeah. And so if you fuck that moment up, or if someone ruins that moment for you, yeah, the whole movie is almost like if if right before the credits cut on Wolf of Wall Street, someone came up and went, yeah, right in our faces, the whole movie would have been a wash to me. I would not be able to react to the movie. Yeah, because I need those. I think I think I think it exp- it gets log like logarithmically or actually exponentially eh, logarithmically the one where it gets less yeah uh, more less important so like the instant it cuts to black is so important but then like the farther you get from that moment it gets less and less important right but if someone literally like on the moment that like, moment cut to black was like like right in my face yeah it would be as if I had not watched the entire movie yeah and I would have to watch it again for that moment. And you'd never be able to fully experience that movie. But also, there'd be a lot of questions about that person and yeah. why they. Maybe, you, but maybe your life would have been in some way enhanced by that actual non-movie experience. Yeah, like, there's a lot of questions about why that why that old man is running up to me and yeah, in my face. Yeah, that's your crazy uncle you never knew about, and your life's been better since you met him. And he was like part of some weird block ops thing, and they cut out his tongue. Yeah, and he just escaped. He was the only one who could help. The him. only way he can try to communicate. He's the only one he can he's, trust. He's trying to communicate, but he, Jack Ryan, yeah. Shadow Recruit. He's trying to. That's yeah. the plot of Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit that we saw a trailer for earlier. God, you know, I was shaking my head during all those trailers. Uh huh. There you was were, a, You were still, admittedly, you were still in the part of this day where you were the least happy. Yes. During the trailers, you were. Yes. Well, because also there's a thing with, um, you know, Werner Herzog talks about it, Lars von Trier, all these guys where it's like, what is it with movies where everything has to be fucking guns and killing and violence? Uh huh. 
and anger. Like everything has to be like sex, violence, guns, mm-hmm. kidnapping. It's like nothing. Can there not be stories told without that? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's why I appreciate something like The Wolf of Wall Street, even though there still is violence and all that excess. Yeah. At least it's not like why can't... someone's kidnapped, someone killed another person, someone had a gun to the other person's head. It's like, oh, how often in real life does that happen that yeah, we why... every movie about that? Why can't there be a movie about a woman in the woods who, like, punctures a man's penis? Right. Well, that's it. Yeah. That's a large venture. Yeah. Um, but you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Well, it's also weird because those experiences, everyone's so familiar with, uh, you know, uh, uh, I think Albert Brooks made a comment that if aliens came down and just watched our movies, they'd think everyone was a cop. Yeah. Uh, that um, so much of our movie-going experience involves things that are not functionally part of most people's life experiences. Yeah. We experience way more hostage situations uh, than anyone ever does or did in real life. Right. If you know someone who has been in a, in a, in a high-speed car chase, if you know one person who's ever in a high-speed car chase, that'd be like a weird thing. Oh, yeah, my cousin was in a high-speed car chase. But almost every movie has some sort of right. equivalent to that. Which is why I love a movie like Playtime so much. Mm-hmm. It's because it's about celebrating the details and like the like the, the the oddities of just like regular living life. Yeah. In a way that it's familiar and interesting. Yeah. But it's in no way extravagant, right? Yeah. Like like the thing that's like the most exciting stuff in that movie is like someone buying like a drink and it's just like, oh right, machines that dispense drinks are very strange in their own way. Yeah. Oh right. The fact that, like, when you every pair of shoes makes its own different sound. Uh huh. Oh right, like, no one can work any control panel in the world, and like everyone, the technology we create to help us is foreign to all of us. Like all those things are details. That's like, yes, they're comforting, familiar, strange, noteworthy. Yeah. It's interesting to see them being discussed and played out. It's like enthralling to watch. It's funny. It's interesting. But it's not a fucking guy being chased by the government and like having to kill people. It's like, yeah, that never happens when it does. It means almost nothing to everybody else. Yeah. Well, and the thing is, it's also, I mean like one of the most exciting sequences that we talked about in Wolf of Wall Street is two guys who get fucked up on really old quaaludes that take too long to kick in. So they take too many. Right. And like a guy trying to get into his car while not able to move his body. Yeah. That is a sequence that feels much more relatable. Uh, and yet, I don't recall any other sequence in a movie like that. That feels more relatable than any of the sex scenes in that movie. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure all of us have had sex more often than we've been on Quaaludes trying to mm-hmm. crawl in the cars. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, although, I, did, I also did appreciate the fact that the movie has... Uh, a lot of sex scenes in it, and then one sex scene, no, two sex scenes, I would say, that are probably uh, far more grimly realistic than almost any sex scene in any studio movie. Which two are those? I mean, the, I agree. I, I think I know it's two. I know it's two the, you're talking the about. The first but... and last time with the Duchess. Exactly, yeah. There's, there's a, one is played as a joke, which is that... Uh, he has sex and it takes about 11 seconds and it's, right. 
it's filmed where you see both of their lower halves of their legs and feet. Right. So it's like a, a non-glamorous way of showing like two right. very attractive movie stars um, having sex. And then there's the last time, which is basically a marital rape scene. Right. Um, and which is, I think, on Leonardo DiCaprio's part in particular, like uh, a particularly kind of bravely non-glamorous way to be shown in a movie where he's, He's having sex in a way that makes his character look awful. It makes him look ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and just weak. Yeah. And it kind of, in a way, those scenes are like the uh, the movies. Like we've shown you a bunch of like the dishonest fantasy uh, over the top versions of this, but we have these two moments that we're pretty clear with you. These are real. Like I feel like the moment of the the last scene. The, the the last time uh, that he has sex with her, it's almost like the movie. It felt like it was like we've been showing you a lot of this sort of through his point of view, right? And it almost felt like here's one where it's just like this is what is actually happening. This is not how he's experiencing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, I have a I have two uh, fantasy ideas of. Um, I don't care for the James Bond movies that I've seen. Um, I enjoyed, I think, uh, um, Casino Royale, the, the reboot one with, yeah. uh, um, I never saw that, honestly. Um, I enjoyed some aspects of that, although that, then they made a second one that would, I haven't seen Skyfall, which I've heard good things about. I have not seen Skyfall myself. But I'm not a fan. I wish I was, because I like a lot of the ideas. I like when I see bits of James Bond type stuff. Right. But a few years ago, I decided, like, I've never seen these James Bond movies. And sometimes you'll have, like, big swaths of, like, or I've had, like, swaths of, like, movie history that I just haven't seen. Movies I haven't experienced. And yeah. I'll be like, I need to watch this. Like, there was a period where I was like, I should watch those John Wayne movies. Everyone talks about, like, Rio Bravo, Rio right. Lobo, uh, the, uh, Rio Grant, those uh, Red River, things like that. Yeah. And then when I watch them, I'm like, oh, man, Rio Bravo is really fun. And Red River is really great. Like, uh not like what I expected necessarily. Um, and then I was going to be like, I'm going to watch all the James Bond movies. Yeah. And I watched the first one, I think. I, I only made a couple into it before I'm like, ah, this is kind of depressing me. I'll watch these some other time. Yeah. And what I didn't like particularly about, I think it was Dr. No, is that like James Bond's character is awful. He's such a, he's so unpleasant, I think. Yes, I agree. Uh, and he is a rapist. Yes. Uh, there's a scene, I think, in Dr. No, where he wants to get, like, some files from, like, a secretary. And she's like, you can't come in here. No, you can't come in here. He's like, I'm coming in there. And he pushes his way in to, like, he backs this woman into a filing office. And then you, she's like, no, no. And then it's like a slow fade where you see, like, her hand pressed against the glass. Yeah. And then the next shot is him coming out of the room, straightening his tie, and he's got the file. And you're like, oh, he had sex with that woman against her will, and he took the file. And the implication, I think, that the movie wants you to have is... He charmed her into having eventually sex, and then she, she liked let it. him, yeah. But strictly looking at the facts, I was like, holy shit, like, based on... Maybe that was the viewpoint of a movie-going audience in the 60s. Right. But I'm like, any modern viewer of that like it's hard not to look at that and say like the facts of that scene are james bond raped that woman yes exactly then there's a scene later on where there's a female villain he's been flirty with and 
She says, come over to my house or whatever. And then on the way over to the house, she, try, she has assassins try to kill him. He thwarts them and kills the assassins and then shows up at her little house. And she's, she thinks it's going to be the assassins coming to report that they killed James yeah. Bond. Instead, she's like shocked to see him. And he's like, oh, hello, I'm going to see you. And he has sex with her. And uh, then his people, his backup shows up when he's done having sex with her. And they arrest her. And she's like, you knew? And he's like, yeah, I knew you were trying to kill me. I had sex with you anyway. Right. And, and I was like, oh, my God. That's like one of the darkest things I've ever seen a main character who's the hero of the movie do. I know yeah. we're supposed to not like her because she's the bad guy and she tried to kill him. But what is another movie where it's like, that woman tried to kill me, so I... Uh, but she didn't, and then I went over and I pretended I didn't know anything about it, and I fucked her right before the... the like, that's unheard of. I don't know of any movie that that's yeah. it, where the main guy, catch, rather than catching the bad, the villain woman, he fucks her and then has her arrested. Right, and if, if that was, like... Let's say this were nowadays, yeah. And the information got out that an agent working for the U.S. government was actually doing the things that James Bond did. Yeah, it would be national news. Yeah, it'd be like that Secret Service scandal a couple of years ago where they like yes. they hired a bunch of hunters. absolutely. The other, so my but it'd be I exactly that. That's the unpleasantness was what I didn't like. The other thing I didn't like was that based on the James Bond movies I saw, I found this funny, but I also didn't like it. The plot of James Bond movies, as far as I can tell, of most of them, is that there's a man who's the main villain, and his second in command is a beautiful woman. And James Bond just seduces that woman, and that's the weakness in the organization. Right, always. Always. That it's, and it's like, that almost feels like the plot of a ridiculous like 1970s porno movie or something, where it's like, it's about a hero who like, fucks his way through the problems of the right. adventure. And so I had a notion that they should do a movie. I had two, two different notions for James Bond movies I'd like to do. One was, and you could do either or, um, one would be to do uh, a version of the movie that everything about it would be a legit, like I'd be like, yes. let me do a legit James Bond movie. Right. My only caveat, I want everything to be just like a normal James Bond movie. My only thing is, instead of having a sex scenes be like we fade to the next thing, we show the sex, it takes a realistic amount of time, and it's always filmed from a stationary camera in the corner of the room, like, yeah. like a sex tape. And it should just be realistic sex. So it should be really grim, almost like, for, almost like the way that Wolf of Wall Street shot felt, where it yeah. kind of pulled away. And it should just be like, everything about it is, you know, shaken, not stirred. And all, everything else is glamorous. We have all the, we have a Bond song at the beginning with all the ladies yeah. and their, their vaginas and the credits come out of their boobs yeah, exactly. and everything. And, but then the sex scene should just be... <laughs> And it should just be like, oh, he's just like right. And then you have to, we have to see the transition of him getting dressed, <sighs> taking a breath, and then like getting up, getting dressed, putting, and then being, and then back into the like da bum da bum. Oh, that. Uh, dun, that dun, dun, so that's dun, one dun, idea dun, is that you just dun. like get the studio to agree. Yeah. To, like, I just want these sequences to be very uncomfortable for the audience. Yeah. I want the audience to feel like, wait, what happened? I was watching them. Oh, okay, they're back. Yeah. And then be like almost dreading the next time. He's like, wow, look at here. You're like, oh no. Like, it would really make those dark movies. Yeah. It would make them dark, dark movies. Um, they would actually make almost any movie a dark movie if you would just include 
a in every think of any movie that would be able to survive a couple of real time sequences of a, any kind of natural body function that normally isn't portrayed in the movie. Like if there had been one sequence in Pretty Woman where Julia Roberts had to take a shit, uh, it would probably ruin them. Everyone who that's their favorite movie would be like, I don't like that movie. Yeah. I've often thought that would I would like to to uh, see what it would be like to make a movie and just have a sequence where like every character takes a shit at some point. Right. Just because you never see that in a movie unless it's like a major dumb and dumber sequence where it's like the punchline says, but just have a movie where it's like at some point every character leaves a scene, goes in the bathroom and has a bowel movement because it's like this is something that is like a And it's not like a cutesy um not a joke. Like you know how like sometimes we do it in like Romantic comedies would be like a girl on her toilet and she's like attractive and sitting on her like iPhone or something. Yeah. It's like, no, you want to see them like shitting. Yeah. And like and just be the like, sounds and the like, everything is so, not graphically, but just like realistically. Realistically. And, and just be like, this is just a detail of life that is edited from all movies. Yeah. And. What are other details? Sex? Sex. Real, actual. Actual, actual realistic sex that's not glamorized, that's not made cinematic. Yeah. Uh, bowel movements. I feel like we see plenty of urination in movies. I feel like that's not something that's hidden. Uh, I always think e- eating. Yeah. Because eating is one of the most difficult things to film. Yeah. Because... I feel re- like Brad Pitt has done most of the eating in movies in the last two decades. Yeah. He loves having food in scenes. Yeah. Uh, he likes eating angrily. Yeah. He likes just having the prop. It's like a Brando thing. Like, you have that food in a scene. But I feel like I've seen him do that. Yeah. Like, they're like... Four quickly into the stage. Gesture with the food. Yeah. He loves that. Um, but like eating, just like the conversation Sleep, at a meal and then just like the process of eating is sort of like a weird, like especially someone eating alone. The amount of times that we eat alone as people. Yeah. Just like seeing that process would be such an unglamorous thing. Um, napping. Uh, <laughs> some of these things are just because they're not a good thing narratively. Yeah. Um, I feel like realistic reactions to gunshot wounds... Um, that's not something that we see enough of in movies because it would be so unpleasant that I feel like the number of times that we see in movies someone get shot and go like and then go back to fighting Yeah, I want to see more gunshots that actually completely make a person unable to continue functioning in the movie right like we see a lot of people killed by a gunshot we don't see I mean, there are exceptions. You know, you have like uh, uh, Tim Roth in Reservoir Dogs is bleeding out through most of the movie right. and things like that. But I feel like there's not enough times where even a minor gunshot wound would be enough. Actually, there was a pretty good, uh, I mean, it's a Hollywood thriller, but did you see the movie Shooter? No. It's a Mark Wahlberg thriller based on, it's like a pulpy kind of Jason Bourne type thing. Okay. But he gets shot early on in the movie and a lot of the movie deals with him... Um, dealing with the gunshot wound. Like right. he pours like that military, like blood clot stop yeah. the thing, the wound gash stuff on it. And he spends a lot of more of like, there's a weird thing in movies where it's like, you have to give so little and mo- so many movies don't do it where it's like Indiana Jones, like he struggles a little, he gets hurt doing things. You know, he has the dragging under the van sequence. And then he has like a five minute sequence where he's having her like look to his wounds where he's like sore. Yeah. And it's like, that's just a few minutes of screen time, but it buys you so much credibility to the movie going audience. Yeah. Like, oh, just showing a character suffer a little bit 
for the action. It's the reason the first Die Hard movie works, because you feel like his feet really hurt. Yeah. So you're like, oh, this is realistic. It's not realistic, but it's just, all the audience wants is just show us a little bit of realism and we'll believe your whole fantasy. Yeah. Um, Driving in action movies? Yeah. Just the, the like 20 minute drives between locations when they're, we found the guy, he's at this building. Um, just like, they're like, you have to drive there. Accurate retrieval of information on computers? Yeah. That's become such a, so ridiculous. People are so fast. I want, I feel, and this, here's the thing, like, I'm surprised that people don't find ways to milk, get more out of like the the tension of, I want to see a scene in a thriller where someone's trying to get information off a computer and I feel like we see a lot of sequences where they either get it too fast or they build up tension and they get it at the last second. Yeah. I want to see more sequences where they have to abandon the plan to get the information off the computer because... Someone's coming and it says there's 15 minutes left. Yeah. Where it's just like, what are we going to do? We, we can't do it. We have to. This is our only shot. And just have the person like, it says 15 minutes. There's no way. We have to leave now. And well, they have to abandon well, their the plan. The thing that I always think too. Yeah. Is they're like at the keyboard like watching it. And they're like, come on. And it's like, if you just hid. Yeah. How, if, if you walked in and your computer, or if you just turn the monitor off. You yeah. Know what I mean like. If you walked in, your computer was doing something, it would take you like 20 minutes to realize that something was happening on your computer. Great. That would be a great sequence in a movie to instead of having the, we got to get out of here, oh, 99%, 100, got it, and then dash. Instead, have the person come in, you're hiding behind the desk, and have a 10-minute sequence where the person is in the room and you're in danger of being caught and have the sequence be silent, have the sequence be, we hear the breath of the person under the... Under the desk, you hear the person. <sighs> even, even, you know? even more. What if the scene was, they let the thing do the thing. Yeah, they get out. They're in the ceiling, whatever. Yeah, and then we have to see the tension of the person in the room. We're seeing the thing count down. Yeah, we just want to please to God, the person. Do not let them go. Try to use their computer. Right. Because as long as this thing happens, right. I don't have to be there pressing buttons. This day and age, yeah, it'll just download and do its thing. Yeah. So you're just like, please let this person not touch the computer. Yeah. And just the idea of like, we know every person is so addicted to their computers that they're gonna walk over and want to touch it or check their email and just like, please, there's like, like ten percent left and it's like they get up, they walk over. Oh, they've got their phone. Good. They can check their thing. It's like all yeah. the stuff where it's like, oh, God, don't go to your computer, please. I remember watching the movie Magnolia, and there's the sequence where William H. Macy, the key breaks off in the lock. Yeah. I remember thinking, like, that's, that sequence where the key breaks off in the lock feels epic. Right. It feels like a major thing happened, and that's a small thing. And I thought, why would you ever need to stage these giant CGI battles if you could make something so epic, you just get the same drama juice from a key break. That when you think of how great, like the Mission Impossible sequence with Tom Cruise hanging from uh, the where he can't have a drop of sweat, yeah. and the, it just comes from the fact that like let's not score it, let's have it be silent, and the whole thing is he can't make any noise, he can't sweat, yeah, and just like build the tension to that. I'm amazed at the simple ways that people choose not to go. Yeah. To, to develop like an exciting sequence in a movie because it takes so little. One person in the room who might discover you and just milk it. Yeah. 
and you can actually go more realistic and have it be more tense as opposed to like anytime there's a sequence like that in a movie where it's like come on 98 99 come on i got it let's go and then the person walks into the empty room and then yeah. you like pan up and you see the, the hero like hanging from the ceiling fan yeah. it's like the little, that's not... the little 5 second cheat trick yeah i mean the one of the great all time tricks is probably like uh, uh silence of the lambs the sequence yes. where you already know what I'm talking about before I've even said it. Right, the sequence where well, that's famous parallel parallel editing where it's like yeah, where you the feel, audience thinks that they know what's going on and they don't and they don't. Yeah. Long time viewers of the podcast don't even need me to say what sequence I'm talking about. They know it. Yeah, um, yeah. It is amazing how often you feel like if that's one of the things that made me so angry about. I'm still angry about the last Die Hard movie that came out. The, I had stopped watching after like one. <laughs> I was just curious. I mean, the second one I like it because the second one is, the second one's an unimaginative second beat of the first Die Hard. But I feel like the real failure of the Die Hard series is that they, if they continued to make them Christmas movies involving his wife, involving that journalist, yeah, and also the best thing about the second Die Hard movie is that he says, "How's the same shit happen to the same guy twice?" He says that line. He calls out what's wrong with the movie in a way. Yeah. And I feel like there was a great series to be had if they had committed to, all right, Die Hard 3, it's Christmas again. He's in a new location. His wife's in danger. Yeah. But this time, this is the third time this has happened to him. He's starting to get freaky about Christmas. Yeah. I feel like by the time you get to Die Hard 8, you have a movie about a guy who hates Christmas because Christmas to him means terrorist danger. Gremlins, been there, done that. Yeah, Gremlins did it. Uh, but it would have been great to have a legit uh, yeah. a legit action movie series that heightens the point where he's like, you don't understand. I have a problem. I'm like, oh, well, no, you're booked into this resort. There should be no problems. You know, And you have one that's like, he's at the uh, a Shining-style hotel yeah. resort for Christmas. You have, uh, I mean, I know Under Siege prevented them from having the Die Hard 3 they wanted because they wanted Die Hard to be on a boat. Right. And Under Siege came out and they're like, well, now we can't do it. I wish in retrospect they'd done it because there's no, no one reason remembered you couldn't under have. No one remembers yeah. Under Siege and Die Hard 3 on a boat would have been great. Yeah. Um, but the last Die Hard, it's almost worth watching. It's not worth watching, but it's almost worth watching to see how wrong a film can be. Because, first of all, John McClane is no longer the hero of the movie. He sees that his son, his estranged son, is in some kind of trouble in Moscow. Right. So he takes it upon himself to go rescue his son from Moscow. What he actually is doing, he doesn't realize it because he hasn't he doesn't know what's happening. Yeah. He ruins a CIA operation that his son is running in Moscow. Ah, I didn't know that. He he like rescues him, but he ruins the extraction. Right. Which would have happened. And then he's like mad at his son. Like, I came here to help you. And his son's like, you ruined a CIA operation that we've been working on for a long time. And there's stuff in the movie. Like, there's one point where John McClane, like, gets thrown in front of, like, a truck in traffic. And the truck almost hits him. Or does hit him. And, the, and then the guy's like, why'd you run in front of my truck? This, like, Russian guy. And he says it in Russian. Right. And John McClane yells at him, uh... John McClane's mad at him for hit, being hit by the car. Right. You know, he's the one who, like, flew into the traffic. He then grabs the guy, hits him, pulls him out of his own truck, and yells something about, I don't speak Russian, or something like that. Gets into the truck, 
and then says, I'm fine, by the way, thanks for asking, and drives off. And you're thinking, well, this is just a Russian civilian driving his automobile on the highway. An American asshole gets thrown in front of his truck, who then pulls him from the car, yells something in English, beats him, and then drives off. Right. I'm like, there's no element of this in which, uh, like, at least, like, Indiana Jones, when he shoots that guy in Raiders of the Lost Ark, the guy was, like, waving swords at him, like, I'm going to kill you with a sword. Right. So, on the one hand, it's cold-blooded murder. But on the other hand, it seems like everybody with a sword in that village is trying to was kill Indiana Jones. Yeah. This is just, like, there's no world in which John McClane's the good guy in that scenario. You just beat up a guy. Except for the fact that the cameras are following him. Yeah. Yeah, that he's... It's only because we're in the Die Hard universe that... Yeah. But I made a joke. I tweeted this joke after, and I wish it had gotten more traction, that Vacation Jason had done a uh, ghost rewrite on uh, Live Free or Die Hard because the joke, that he, the joke that he repeats to the whole movie is, I'm supposed to be on vacation. And he says it like 10 times in the movie. Right. And what really made me mad watching that movie was that... I mean, I'm sure they didn't. They sort of did that movie on the cheap. I'm sure it wasn't like it didn't. Look, it didn't look like they'd gone all out to make this a huge movie. Like a Die Hard movie now is going to be made at a moderate Hollywood budget rather than a huge Hollywood budget. Yeah. Um, I mean, it'll still be expensive. Bruce Willis has a big quote, all this stuff. But my feeling was that as bad as that movie was, if you had hired. You know, any one of a hundred people that I could name if you just gave me a piece of paper from the New York City, like UCB comedy community. Uh, if you had hired any one of them and given them, like, here's $50,000, here's $20,000. Which is way less than they would have paid a writer to write that. Yeah. Well, just to, just to um, give us, you know, 50 jokes. Right. 100 jokes for the movie. Write a funny joke for him to say in every one of these otherwise boring scenes. Right. And for, a, for pennies of what a diehard movie has to, to throw around, uh, they could have gotten any one of a hundred or more people would have been willing to be like, sure, y'all, I'll, I'll write jokes for a diehard movie. I'll write jokes. You're going to give me that? Yeah. You got to pull the Scorsese and get Thomas Middleditch, Ben Rameka, maybe Nate Lang. Definitely Henry Zabrowski. But just like literally one funny joke in each scene of Live Free or Die Hard and it goes from being unwatchably bad to not a great movie but certainly a fun movie. Right. And that's not a lot to ask. If you ask a funny person who's good at writing jokes, uh, you know. Make this funnier. What? Make this funnier. Make this funnier. Ten places. Yeah. They will be able to do it. They would be able to do it. And it's infuriating to know that it's like that's not a... That's not a hard idea to think of. Like, I thought of that. That's not hard to think of. Like, this movie is fixable, even as damaged as it is, just by that. Have him say something funny in every scene. Yeah. And uh, it's so hard for me to think of, like, when you see a bad movie, that kind of bad movie is easy to fix. Yes, where it's just you didn't try hard enough. Yeah. And that's why the most interesting bad movies are the movies where they tried super hard and really missed. Yeah. Those are the ones that are interesting. The ones that aren't interesting are the ones where it's like, well, you just didn't try. You, just, yeah. you, didn't, you, didn't, you didn't give yourself a shot at and all. And what's sad is that any movie involves a tremendous amount of effort. Right. Giant trucks full of 
skilled laborers, the worst movie you've ever seen, if it's made by a, if it's a professional movie, involves massive amounts of infrastructure and talent and ability. Right. And the thought that, I mean, Bruce Willis knows how to sell a joke. Give Bruce Willis a great joke. He'll say it. Arguable. Any? I hear he's a tough guy to work with. Well, here's what I would it's say. All the here's what I would say. And I think stuff. this holds up. I would say that Bruce Willis is almost the perfect example of an actor who always adjusts to the quality of the movie he's in. It's hard to think of an example of a, a great movie that Bruce Willis is in that he isn't great in. There aren't any bad Bruce Willis movies that he's great in. There but aren't any could, mediocre. Could he have made mediocre movies great by being great in them? No, he he is not. He is a he is the temperature of the movie. Right. He adapts to that. Whereas there are bad movies that Philip Seymour Hoffman is great in. Right. Um, there are uh, mediocre movies that Liam Neeson is great in. Um, there are bad movies that Meryl Streep is great in. Uh, Bruce Willis, like, how is the movie? That's your answer to how is he in it. Right. Like, he's great in Pulp Fiction. He's great in Unbreakable. But Cop Out? He is as good as Cop I haven't seen Cop Out, but I would bet he is as good as Cop Out is. I've not seen Cop Out either. Um, but, like, w would you say that that theory holds up based on the ones you're thinking of? Like, any Bruce Willis movie you've seen... Like, if you see A Color of Night, it's a bad movie, he's bad in it. Yes, I agree with that. So I think if you give him a good joke, he will sell it. But I also think it's, he has to think it's a good joke. Because I think there's plenty of movies that, I, I can't think of specifics, but I'm sure that if he had given a dynamite performance, it might have improved the quality of the film. Maybe, but... That he was just like, nope. But I can't think of a movie that was like, that movie had good jokes and Bruce Willis undersold them. He didn't deliver them right. He didn't do a good job with those jokes. If a better person had been in Bruce Willis's role, uh, those jokes would have been great. Sure. Most of the time, if you give him a good script and you have good actors around him and it's a good film, he'll do really good work. It's rare that he ruins a film. Yes, I agree. He's in movies that are bad and he's bad in them. He's in movies that are mediocre and he's mediocre in them. He's in good movies where he's good, and he's in great movies where he's great. But I can't, for the life of me, think of a Bruce Willis movie where I'm like, Bruce Willis's quality of performance is in any way out of sync with the overall movie quality. Sure. Uh, <clears throat> my second idea for a James Bond movie. Yes. You've uh, been going on long tangents. It's true. This is a long tangent. But I feel like you're cool with it for now no right? i like it i i just think it's fun that we keep being like great okay so my other actually my other, I, i'm gonna i'm gonna do one after this okay Go my it. other james bond idea is a little bit more complicated um which is it, it affects more the plot of the whole movie which is that you have a criminal organization that is all men and when when they're analyzing when bond and q and ever they're all looking at an m they're all looking at like what can we do? And James Bond's just looking at it. He's like, there's no way in. <laughs> it's like, you know, he just can't see that there's a way into this organization. We have to go back to the drawing board. We can't, you know. And at that point, M explains to him, no, you're going to handle this the way you've handled every mission that we've given you in the past. You're going to go in there. You're going to seduce the second in command. 
and you're going to bring down the organization. Well, second in command's a man. And there's just a quiet tension in the room as M then sits forward and quietly explains that you've had a good run-up to now, but this organization is about protecting queen and country. This is not your personal pleasure palace. You were, he you were given a license to kill, not so that you could run around the globe having all kinds of hedonistic adventures. You're here to do a job, and you're going to do it. And basically, we just got done explaining that this is the corner piece of a multinational crime organization that could take down the government and could collapse the entire world economy. We have narrowed down the fact that you are the only person available, skilled enough, and in a position to stop them. It has been advantageous for you up to this point that the second command in every one of these organizations has, has been, been a, a beautiful woman. A beautiful woman. But you have assured us time and time again that every time that you have seduced these women, it has been in pursuit of doing your job correctly and meeting the ends of the mission. We are now at an impasse where you have to continue doing your job. But are you telling me that you are unwilling to do your job because it is not sexually pleasing to you? I just, I can't, I, I, it's not what I do. It's not, I have sex with women. Right, right. I'm James Bond. Your job. I'm Bond, James Bond. You are not a prostitute. Your job is not as a sex addict. You're not a professional fucker. Your job is a secret agent whose one and only mission, open up your badge, read what the one phrase is on there, to protect and serve at all costs a license to kill. Your job is to do everything in your power to save our country, our organization, the world economy, and you have agreed that you're the only one that can do this, so now you have to take it upon yourself to have the modicum of respect for our organization to follow through with this plan. Yeah, I would just love to have that long, tense scene at the beginning that. Uh, where, where you just have Judy Dench explaining to him. And just getting more, more and more, more mad. precise. Like, yeah. when, did you, when did you come to think that you were here for your own ends? Yeah. We all do jobs that we don't like. You're good at two things, 007. Killing and fucking. So you're going to go in there. And you're going to kill, but you're also going to fuck. And you'll fuck whoever we tell you to fuck. You'll fuck whoever we need you to fuck. I just like they did too, being like, like, you walk in here and you see Q hand you exploding pens. And like, he spends years and years working on the minute details I don't, I don't want of to do science this. and technology. I don't, I don't get, want to do this. Like, I love the idea that it's like everyone else in this organization is spending hours and hours. We've not seen our families. We, our lives are dedicated to providing a tiny bit of aid to you. And the fact that you cannot suck it up for one mission. Yes. Uh, I love that. And <coughs> I just think I like the idea of them in a real James Bond movie. Not a sketch about a James Bond, but in a real yes. big budget James Bond movie. They actually go through and elaborate. They finally talk about the fact that the main thing he does is have sex with women who are part of evil organizations. Right. And then he turns them good through the skill of his lovemaking. I also would like it if, like, um, 
in one James Bond movie, like when he's like sneaking into a thing, he gets shot and killed. Uh-huh. And then it becomes a thing where then the rest of MI6 tries to sort of uh Solve the mission. Solve the mission, but they can't. And then it becomes sort of a more nationally known. And then just a war begins. Yeah. And then we just sort of see the like political ramifications of sending in troops and all this stuff. And then, it would be great if the last James Bond movie, he died a third of the way into the movie. And the yeah. rest was just results. Just the political fallout of everything that happened. And, you know, seeing all the people, all that stuff happen. Yeah. Um, I also would. So I, in that mission, you would have all the scenes where you see James Bond like having to figure out how he does his job when he's not just serving his own id. Yeah. And, like, see how James Bond uh, attempts to flirt with just the man who's, like, the second in command. Yeah. He'd be, like, a... Uh, maybe not even an attractive man. Right. Like, that could even be one of the issues, like, not even a good-looking man. You know, like... Yeah. That it's just, like, a short, balding, middle-aged man. Yeah. Just like, yeah, you know, I'm the number two. If you want to do well in this organization, you, yeah. Oh, hello, Mr. Bond. <laughs> Just like, it's nice to see you, Mr. Bond. Um, and he would have to have some name, like how the Bond women have jokey, yeah. like pussy galore type names. Uh, Dominic he, Mound. <laughs> he would have to. The the he would have to have one that was like a. a a male sexual innuendo name. Yeah. And I also feel like the final maybe indignity would be that, that James Bond spends pretty much the whole movie trying to uh, ramp himself up to have sex with a man and he finally gets to the point where he's ready for it and the number two is a top. Huh. Like I feel like just like the one thing that James Bond hadn't planned on which is that like no, no, no. I don't like it like that. You you don't need a condom. You don't need a condom. You don't need a condom. I have one for me. Um, and the mission works. Like, everything else plays according to the beats of a James Bond movie. Yeah. Like, at the end, they're all celebrating the victory. And James Bond just looks like he's just then there has to be a less big, comfortable than he's ever There should been. be this big reverse. I feel like there should be a reverse moment where he's, like, talking to him. And he's like, you can't, you can't, you can't do this to me. Like, my job is as an agent. My job, you know... Uh, making someone have sex to, to the end of a to make ends to a mission it's that's it, immoral what you made me do is immoral and then it just sort of starts coming to light all the times that he's yeah raped women yeah you've never had a problem with this before i mean i'm i'm shocked to hear you i mean you've never you've never had a problem with it in previous yeah. missions do you know how many rights violations we've had to sweep under the, under the rug i mean we to make sure all of our missions can close up we have enabled you for a long time, and this is a very small favor to ask. In every international court, it has come up that you have raped the person on trial. And on a few of those cases, that has almost been the, the, the linchpin that has made us lose, lose our case and, frankly, let some of these people go. But we have always managed to sweep under the rug. And now, for the first time, you have a problem with this. Now, this is, this is immoral. Yeah, M can't even believe she's having to have this yeah. conversation. Like this has always been an unspoken understanding. Yeah, that James Bond will have sex with whoever it takes. Yeah, I would actually like to see like M be like tremendously disappointed because up to now she'd always felt like, well, she she's sort Bond of bought, is willing to go the extra mile. Right, she's bought into the idea that it's like, oh, he's doing this for the he's job. He's willing he's to do pr- the. He's things, always promised that this was for the job. He's willing to do the things that other agents are not willing to do. 
He's always been willing to cross the line. And now it's like, no, I can't even act like that's the case. This guy's yeah. just a in a moral pervert. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to see that. It'd be a good movie. So Tangent the other you. movie yeah. that I would pair with Wolf of Wall Street. Oh good. Is I like pairings that are complete opposite spectrum movies. Yeah. Um, so I think it'd be really funny to pair with Wolf of Wall Street. Um, like something like um, uh, like Princess Mononoke mm-hmm. and Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Or like, I'm thinking like an animated children's film that's very calm. Just because I, I like the whiplash pairings mm-hmm. where yeah. it's like you watch this and then you watch this and you're going to get whiplash. It's going to hurt your brain. Yeah. Or Dumbo. Dumbo. Dumbo and Wolf of Wall Street might be good. Dumbo. Bambi. Yeah. Bambi Um, and Wolf of Wall Street. Dumbo probably more than Bambi, I think. Yeah. I notice uh, I own that coffee table book that you have as well. Enjoy the experience. Uh, That was given to me as a gift by IFC. Do you like it's it? Not, you I, haven't, you haven't unwrapped it. No. Do you want to unwrap it for me? Yeah. Show me what it is. Do you know what it is? I don't. Um, IFC sent me that bottle of champagne and that book. Well. And so far, neither has been useful to me. Um, Just because I've not had time to open the book, nor do I drink champagne. Well, no, the gift was very appreciated and very kind. The, there was an exhibit. Unfortunately, I, I had to miss it this year. Um, basically, uh, is there a way to make your apartment cooler? I'm very yes, warm. Yes, I noticed that as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I I run warm, yeah. So I always hesitate to make it cooler. Yeah. Um, the, Enjoy the experience is a book, a coffee table book about um, self-produced um, record albums from 1958 through 1992. Basically, the guy who edited this book. Now, the the thing that's important to understand about this book is that it's not. Um, it's not supposed to be like ironic. Sure yeah, ironically, um, this isn't like oh, look at these dumb people and their homemade records. Right. Um, the the guy who edited this was talking about how like if you, I mean, they're funny. It's funny to see them because they're so specifically weird. Um, oh, I know the Shags very well. Yeah, they're like one of the most famous ones from, from they're in this book. Yeah, I I've been into the Shags for a long time. What the editor, uh, Johan Kugelberg, I think was the main editor of this, um, I read an interview with him where he was talking about how um, back in the 50s and the 60s in particular and the 70s, like if you wanted to make a record, like make an LP, um, it took a certain amount of effort. Like you had to find a way of recording it, you had to find a way of producing it. And it had to mean something to you in most cases because if you didn't have a record player but you somehow were making a record... Um, he was comparing it to like now if you want to sing a song and put it on YouTube it's relatively easy Yeah, and almost anybody can do it but back then uh, he said it's like fascinating to look at he would like find these in uh, he would like scour the country and find these for sale in like garage sales yeah. and weird vintage things and you just look at some of the uh it's mostly just cover art of these LPs, but there's some of them are like fascinating. Like, what is the? Yeah. Well, I'm looking right now at an album by a guy named Bo Deaton, uh, who has like big sideburns and like sort of thick 
conservative 70s hair. So it's like thicker than... Uh, he's got a tie. He looks kind of... He looks like a late 70s like uh, TV show host of yeah. like a variety news show. And his album's called Who Cares? And yeah, it, the image is a big image of his face surrounded by four smaller versions coming out concentrically around him. That's right. Um, and, I mean, just some of these are so weird. Like, there's an album called Colleagues, and it's got four very strange expressions. <laughs> four, like, we- it look like a weird, like, if the monkeys had failed. Right. Um, the monkeys failed and, like, hung out for 15 years. Yeah. I mean, there's a great one. There's a, a, an album by a guy named uh, John Donnellan called Tying Up Loose Friends. And it features a weird, like, the heads are all photographic pictures, but the bodies look more like clip art or, or like, right. painted. And it's him sitting with an anchor, and his friends are in a hot air balloon basket. And he's holding a little rope. He's got sunglasses on. Tying Up Loose Friends. Uh Long distance friends, Tony Tallarico. Tony Tallarico. It's him holding this weird little guy named Tony Tallarico who's got a guitar, and he's holding the hands of a lady friend who's taller than him. He's taller than him. They're both smiling and looking back at the camera in a what looks like a park path, yeah, a park road. Um, yeah, but I mean, you can see like this is just a fun book. Um, I didn't know that's what this is. This is really cool. Yeah. Uh, I I and it, I was just sitting at my desk here, and you happen to know everything about this book. There's um, there's some fascinating. I haven't read it all yet, but it actually comes with a download code for some of the songs. Oh, that's uh, there's cool. a soundtrack to this. Some of it is bad. Some of it is good. It's all kind of interesting. That's really um, cool. I recommend it. I haven't even got. I have a. I bought the vinyl LP that came out with it, and um, also downloaded the songs that came along with it. Yeah. Um, but it's very fun because it's it's really celebrating how weird it, a lot of records were. Where like a lot of times it's like a married couple just decided to make a record, uh, or like a family decided we're going to record some songs. Right. Or uh, a dad decided that he wanted his daughters to be the next Beatles. Yeah, and they would like make a record, and they're such unlikely recording artists. Uh, there's a lot of ones in there that look like it's like. A very amusing, like nineteen seventies version of a sexy man, like or what what people thought of as like a se- like a sexy man in the nineteen seventies, uh, would now probably be classified as like oh that looks like a bear, yeah, like like uh, uh, the, the the speaking in the class the classification in the gay community of like right. the body type of a hairy man in the seventies a hairy man like Burt Reynolds with his shirt off just like lots of chest hair was like considered like that's a sexy man. Yeah. And now it's a very amusing thing to think of like how thick the hair was and how uh, intense the body hair was. Uh, that that was what would, be, would get you on the cover of a... What do you think will be antiquated in our current style? I don't know. It's hard to think of. Uh, I don't know what the current style even is. Uh, I think the tight pants are going to be antiquated. Yeah, tight pants. I think it'll be like goofy that I'm wearing pants this tight in the future. These are not that tight, but even this will be like, oh, man, you're wearing tight pants back then, J.D. I think so. I mean, I... Uh, this, this hair thing... Yeah. Where you like... Uh, where it's like people put their hair up. Yeah. It's like the like bedhead look. A little messy. A little messy, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've never been... I mean, my uh, hair's wet, so it's not... 
I've never been fashionable. I've never been, like, there was a point where I was dressing in a certain way where people would say, like, you can't dress the way you're dressing. You're mixing up plaids and polka dots or something. And I'd be like... That would be your album name. Plaids and polka dots. Connor Ratliff, plaids and polka dots. Um, It'd be you on a brown background whole, uh holding like a, a ukulele that's painted like with red and white polka dots. That's me. Uh, and that eventually became like, okay yeah. to mix patterns. And I remember saying at the time, like this will become fashionable and people laughed at me. I never did it in a way that was fashionable, but I was like, I know that this will become a trend that you can mix like stripes and plaids or something. Right. And people will be fine with it. I think the main thing culturally that I know is of this current moment that will not be true for either one reason or another, it won't be true 10 years from now, maybe not even five years from now, which is that right now we live in a moment where everyone carries around at least one portable device that runs out of batteries uh, during, like they can't have a full long day without charging up. Where having a charger on you is a part of your everyday life. Yeah, and having to find an outlet to plug your charger in is a part of a grown adult's life. I mean, when I think of the fact that uh, and I think two things will happen. One is charging stations will become bigger first. Yeah. Like you're already seeing it in good airports have charging stations. Yes. Bad airports like LaGuardia or uh, the St. Louis airport don't have charging stations. You have to trust that there's enough outlets in places that you can get to. But it usually involves having to stand in a place where there's not chairs or... Um, Next to a broken down sit arcade next, machine. Yeah, sit next to a like where the 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 custodial staff would plug in the vacuum cleaner, and you use that plug to plug your phone in. Yeah, and the fact that everybody now is running around is just like I need a, my iPhone's out of batteries. I need to charge it. I just need a little bit. That's not going to be true five or ten years from now. It'll either not be true because battery life will get better, or society will crumble. What do you think is more likely? I think battery life will get better, but I'm an optimist. Uh, I'm just speaking in the next 10-year period. Yeah. I'm short-term optimist, long-term pessimist. Okay. Um, I think you and I are going to make it through. We will die of natural causes? We'll die of something horrible that isn't the end of the world. We will not die with millions of people. We will not die in a way that it feels like we're dying with millions of people. We will die with millions of people. Right, just because every day millions of people die. Yeah, but it won't feel like a mass death, I don't think. We won't see other people die alongside us. No. If we do, it'll be because the Gethard Show went horribly wrong. Yeah, it'll be. Um, no, I, th- I think short term, short enough term that like, uh, that w- I don't think you or I are going to see the apocalyptic crumbling of society that will, I feel like, inevitably happen, right? Yeah. Like, it happens in every culture, doesn't it? Yeah. At some point, everything falls apart. Right. Um, You can see, I mean, you can see it in just a little bit of subway interaction when things go a little bit wrong. You can see... Like, recently I was waiting for the 7 train. I got to my local neighborhood subway stop, and there were already people freaking out. And what had happened over the previous, like, 
10 or 15 minutes was that a train had arrived at the middle platform. There's three platforms and one is in the middle. You'd go up on either side of the stairs to get to that platform. And the doors had opened on the wrong side of the train. Right. So the people who were waiting for a train were seeing that the opposite side doors had opened so they couldn't get to it in time. So then I guess they moved around, everybody moved around to the other platform thinking, well, when the next train comes, they're going to open on that side. And when that train came, the doors opened on the correct side. But they were now on the wrong side of it. They'd gone around. Right. And those two maneuvers, and I think another train had come through and the doors hadn't opened at all. Right. And those three moves were enough to drive everybody insane. Like when I got to the subway station, there was a group of people at the ticket booth and they were all screaming at the person in the booth. And I had this is unacceptable. And when I went up to the platform, there were all people on the platform and there was an MTA worker up there who was trying to calm the crowd down. And the crowd was just all screaming, like, well, what do you know? And the person was like, I'm going to see what I can find out. And then another person came up and started screaming. And the people started screaming at that person, like, they're going to find out something. Let him go down. And it was like, no, I have a question. Like, we already asked him that. And you could feel the, the you could feel like the agreed upon. This, this, the seeds of aggression that would take place were something larger to happen. When the doors don't open on three trains. On three trains in the, in the way that you can get on the train. And I'm thinking, like, I wonder what's the number. Like, what is the number? Is it eight trains? Like, at what point does one of these people in the crowd take the life of another human? Is it ten trains? Twelve? What's the number? Or is there, maybe there, maybe it's a low boil. Maybe it's a thing where... By the time you get to 12 trains, people lose interest in just riding. Like, maybe the situation disperses. Well, the only thing is if, if they're trapped there and their only option is the train, then at what point? Yes. Where someone tries to take their own life or the life of someone else. Like, jump in front of the train to stop it. Right. Or jump from the train. The train conductor continues moving the train, even though the person like some s- someone will die between ten and twenty trains. That is a terrifying thought. Ten, ten and twenty. We're like fifteen trains in a wall away from people dying. And uh, I think stuff like that, I do get worried in situations like that where I can feel like, oh, something's going wrong. Like, whenever you're in a situation where things are going wrong, you get that weird feeling. When's the last time you felt that? Probably that. Probably just like, that, cause that wasn't that long. It was a few weeks ago. I had that feeling of like, oh, man, like, this could get ugly real quick. Um. And there are other situations, but frequently, like, I, I remember the first time, one of the first times that I came to New York, in the, it was when I was coming to New York to audition for uh, the British drama school that next year. Right. My mom and I came to New York, and it was specifically 
so that I could I had an audition for this thing. And we didn't understand how the subways work. The subway in New York City Yeah. And it's designed to be even confusing sometimes for locals. Right. It's not friendly if you don't know the town. Because you it's hard to figure out where is this train going. The fact that you have different train lines that you can get on a train that has a yellow color to it, but it might go to a different that, you ran out of batteries recently. Oh man, well probably your subway story. I don't know, let's see. It's probably not that one. That one probably has batteries, unless that's off. Oh, it's in my pocket. Yeah. Uh okay, so we're in a situation here where Connor's been talking for you've probably heard Connor you've probably heard me listening, but not heard Connor talking because his uh transmitter died there. Um, so right now we gotta switch out the batteries on his lav mic. Cause this entire, I'd like to point out this entire time Connor's just had a lav mic clipped to him, and I've been having to hold up this mic. And I've found that I think it me it's making me less comfortable speaking because I'm more aware of it. Because I'm more aware, of, like, I think I stand up. I have to hold this mic here, and I'm like feeling the wind of my breath bounce right. off it and back at me. I'm back in the game. Yeah, and see, Connor can just sort of sit there and hang out, and he can walk around. Like, Connor could go pee and keep talking. I, I may do that. Yeah, well, I would have to bring the mic with me. No, I wouldn't want you in there with me. No, I'm... No, I'm... No, no, no. I'm, no if no, I have no. to go to the bathroom, I don't want you bringing the no, mic no, no, in no, with I'm me. Saying, I want to go I'm in on saying, my own. like, I would have to be in there to, like, mic what your penis sounds like. I don't... I've I, heard you've got a very interesting-sounding penis, Connor. I don't think penises make a sound. That has been proven false. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. A uh, long time... Listeners of this podcast, we'll know who are also that. viewers of the Chris Gutherd show, will know what that reference means. Exactly. Um, well, I don't know how much we lost of that. That could have been an hour. I don't uh, think so. Because um, that's why I kept looking up to check on it. Yeah. You've got levels now, right? I, oh, I definitely have levels now. Um, Can you toss me my phone? Yeah. Matt Cohen said he wanted to come over. Oh, yeah? For so the podcast? Yeah, he lives a couple blocks Does away. Does he know what the podcast is happening? Yeah, I told him we we're doing a 12-hour podcast. He said he might come over around 8. Okay. Uh, and then I think uh, um, for the final stretch, if you don't mind, we might make a field trip to my apartment at the very end of it. That works. Uh, very few people have seen the inside of my apartment. It's not entirely tidy at the moment because I just got back from being out of town. You live in Woodside, right? I live in Woodside, yeah. That's not far away. Um, what stop are you off of? Off of uh, 61st Street. Oh, that's not bad at all. Um, but I remember having being on the subway and someone making... Is there somebody get food around you, your place? Yeah, lots of restaurants around there. Okay. Um, the uh, Yeah, we can go get some food if you want. Yeah, we can get food in Woodside. Um, the... What do you call it? Oh, oh, but my mom and I being on the subway train and, and the guy starts to make one of those announcements, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry about this. I remember thinking like, oh no, we're about to get shot. Yeah. And I just remember one of those moments where it's just like, oh, this, this is how it ends. Yeah. And then when I think back on it, I feel so silly for thinking that because that's just something that happens all the time. Someone gets up on a train and says that. Yeah. Uh, a little while ago, I uh, had a bad reaction to Ambien. Mm-hmm. And I lost the ability to experience fear. Yeah. And I gained a craving for high-risk, violent situations. When was this? Uh, right after I was doing the thing where I was broadcasting myself sleeping at night. Oh, yeah. 
and I wandered into Brooklyn ready to die. I wanted to go get into a fight just to do it. And I was ready to die. Like, I was like, if I die tonight, that's okay. Yeah. And I couldn't find anyone to fight. And you know me. I'm not a guy that... I barely like hugging people. Right now, I feel like you're the closest person I know to Hemingway. <laughs> this whole monologue feels like it's... I walked into Brooklyn ready to die. But so then I couldn't find someone to fight. So then I started climbing the subway platform down deep Brooklyn. Uh-huh. Just climbing it. Like, just like, oh, I can do whatever I want. I had this realization of like... What do you mean climbing the platform? Uh, you know the above ele- ground? Yeah, you know the above ground okay, in Brooklyn? Yeah. I started climbing on the outside of like the fence yeah. on the top part. Yeah. Because I was just, I had this moment where I was like, I am just a conscious being yeah. here on earth. Whatever happens to me doesn't matter. Mm. And I can be standing here or I can be standing on the top of the subway platform and I am just a standing person. And so I just start climbing to go just be like, I can do whatever I want. I have that ability. And so I wonder if enough bad things happen in the world, like when the world crumbles, if that feeling that you're talking about, yeah, I've felt it go away. Yeah. I wonder if that becomes a thing that happens where you just, your body gets so tired of experiencing that fear yeah, that it goes away and then you just lose the ability to experience that type of fear and then you just become this existing existing force willing to live or die only moving forward logically for the moment like living instantly in the moment and like i don't care if i die or live but i'm doing this next thing yeah i mean and i think that's what would cause the collapse because i think that fear is the reason we don't go over the edge that fear that you're talking about mm-hmm. where it's like you feel that feeling in your stomach everyone gets that when things start getting crazy and that's why like People try to like you see them back off or try to fix the situation. Once that's gone, yeah, there's no stopping anyone from killing the train conductor for not opening the doors, right? And ripping open the train and driving the train to the next station themselves because they just need to get to work. Yeah, and if there's no consequence, then it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I I have to say, I mean, how much fear do you feel like you experience you experience on average? Uh. I always talk about uh, big picture, like capital F fear and lowercase f fear. Yeah. Lowercase f fear, very little. Yeah. I feel like lowercase f fear, I'm very fearless. Uh-huh. And that's one of the things that I'm, I'm proud of is the fact that like from moment to moment, there's very few things that can unnerve me. Yeah. Big picture fear, yeah. tons, constantly. Tons. I had like a breakdown last week because of big picture fear and that that translates into stress and anxiety yeah of just like you know because i think all fear is essentially of the unknown yeah michael kane I, I, on g chat the other day he made a uh friend, mutual friend of ours not michael kane the actor michael kane the new K- york k-y-n-e michael kane yeah also a great actor yes um but not the ac- british not michael the kane not the british michael kane dirty rotten scoundrels you might be thinking of um we never chat on Gchat. I never go on Gchat or any of that stuff. Yeah. But I was at home. When I'm at home, it's the only... Because I, I always have stuff to do. Yeah. And so I end up talking online with people. Like, for the once a year, during yeah. when I'm home, during winter break, is the only time I talk to people online, mostly. Unless they're, like, my very close friend and I have something I want to say. Like, you know, plans I want to make or something. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, I was like, oh, I'm going to talk to Michael Caine. 
because he just went on this big road trip with his kids. I wanted to hear how that went. And then he said something that is like a very Kane mode of thought, but that like something that I was like, oh, I think that's maybe one of the most true things that exists. Is he was like, um, the key to all happiness in life is just managed is just managed expectations. Mm-hmm. It's about managing your expectations. Yeah. So the only time that we ever disappointed is when something falls below your expectations. But if you set your expectations logically to the things that are going to happen, you're able to, to ground them. And that's sort of your emotional ups and downs sort of come from doing those expectations. Yeah. So the only time that I think you really experience fear is when you don't have expectations. And so you have nowhere to put that bar. And so then you don't know how to feel. And then you just feel fearful, fearful, right? Mm-hmm. So anytime that you're like, I don't know what's going to happen for this thing. I don't know what's going to happen here is when your mind starts, at least for me, that process of fear starts yeah. revving up and I start being like fearful. And then the only way that it goes away is when I start concretizing any of those elements and this becomes things that I can clearly see and then plan for. And then they, I don't become fearful anymore. I, I, I calm down. Yeah. So the less question marks I have in my life, the less fear I have. Which is why I think in the moment, I'm very rarely fearful. Is because you can see the things around you in the moment. Yeah. And if you've lived a certain amount, you're able to create expectations based on that. Yeah. How about you? Do you feel you have a lot of fear, either big or little? Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like I'm a, I do feel like a cowardly person. Why do you feel like a cowardly person? Um, like I just feel like... Um, I feel like you uh, you say that about yourself a lot. Yeah. I mean, I've had, like, not too long ago, I would have, like, these um, very vivid dreams. I, I don't remember my dreams that often, but I'd have these, like, um, we're having a very vivid nightmare about um, being at work and someone coming in with a gun. And I, I remember the sound in the nightmare being very realistic. Sure. That it sounded weird the way you hear people describe, like a pop, pop. Like yeah. That in some ways, gunshots sound small and hollow, tinny kind of sound. Yeah. And that in my dream, my first thought was like, how can I get, I need to get to that door. There's like a door that if I get to it, I can get out of here. And I remember like unquestionably being like, I wouldn't do anything to try to help anyone else. I would just try to get out of there. Right. And just like get away from this building, get out of the situation. And, uh, there's a part of me that, uh, that troubles me. Cause I feel, I do feel like, um, you know, some people in situations where, you know, it requires someone to like stand up and like help, something like that, I worry that my reaction would be like, I got to get out of here. I, I couldn't help this. Right. Because um, I know people who like their first reaction is unquestionably like, I got to step in and help people. And I feel like my instinctive reaction is like, I got to get out of here. Sure. Um, and uh, I mean, the one time, I do know like the one time that I... I think the only time really that I've experienced any physical violence against me, I was mugged a few months after uh, moving to Liverpool. 
and um, I was in the wrong neighborhood, basically. I didn't know my way around, and, and I was going to visit a couple of new friends that I'd met, and uh, it was in a neighborhood called Toxteth, which, um, if you know, if you've heard of Toxteth, it's a, a neighborhood in Liverpool that if you've heard of it, you probably have heard of it as part of the phrase, the Toxteth Riots, which happened under Margaret Thatcher. And it was basically just like a part of town that just got people rioted and burned it to the ground, sort of. Not completely, but like that was the... Right. And so, like if you say to someone like, oh, I went to Toxteth, they'd be like, uh, you know, because it is a still, I mean, I don't know if now it's, you know, 15 years later, but it was still regarded as dangerous. Right. And I just didn't know that. And um, I remember getting off the bus. And it was only like two stops away from the dorm, the student housing where I was living. There were these two students who had rented an apartment in this neighborhood. And I'd been to their house before. So I just thought, oh, it'll be fine. So it was at night. Got off the bus. And it was only like a block from the bus to this apartment. And I'm walking. And these two guys come up to me. And they're like, uh, do you have the time? Do you have the time? And... I said, uh, yeah, it's uh, 8 o'clock. And then they were on me at that point. They were like, they sort of like boxed me in up against like the, the like sort of, uh, it would be like if you imagine like brownstones, that kind right. of apartment, the kind of fence, the kind of like yeah. fencing that's in front of those sometimes, like a metal, like wrought iron fence. And they were both up against me. And one of them goes, uh, hey, you're from the States, are you? And I said, um, yeah, yeah, and then they were up against me at that point, and they said, uh, give us all your money, I'll stab you with my knife. And I never saw a knife, but the guy like had his hand in his pocket and said, yeah. he had a knife, and I didn't really feel like it was implausible that these two guys had knives. Right. Like, I, didn't, I didn't feel like it was like, they're probably bluffing. I, even now, I don't think it was like, it's easy enough for two guys in Liverpool to have knives. Yeah. They don't need to be like, well, tell him we have a knife, and then hope that he doesn't call us on it, you know? Right. Um... And so, but I do remember being really calm, like weirdly, like I went into a calm, very professional demeanor with them. And they were, they were like going through, they were like up against me and they were going through all my pockets. And I said, okay, I said, uh, okay, here's my wallet. And they were sort of going through it and like, do you have a credit card? Do you have an ATM card? And, and um, or they don't call it that. What did they call it? They call it something other than ATM card. Yeah. They uh they actually when you refer to an money box. Uh, they they referred to an ATM as um that they get their money from a hole in the wall. They actually would call it that. They would say go to a hole in the wall. That's funny. Uh, and uh the I remember feeling like there was like much more work to call something a hole in the wall than it was to say an ATM. Yeah. Um but I was like explaining to them, like, I was like, I don't have a lot of cash on me, but I, 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 first I lied to them, I said I didn't have a credit card because I was a foreign exchange student and I, uh, foreign students weren't able to get credit cards, which was not true, but I knew my credit card was in like a little, I kept it in a little magnetic uh, paper sleeve and it was right. tucked under, so I thought they probably won't find it unless they just take the wallet. Yeah. And <coughs> so I said, I'm sorry, I don't have that much cash on me, but, um, uh, oh, I do have weight. Hold on. I'm like going through like, I so said, I have these pound coins. I'm sorry it's so heavy, but but that's like about 11 pounds worth of uh, um, cash. And then I was like, oh, I have these uh, uh, prepaid phone cards. I said, you can use these. This has got like about 20 pounds on it. 
and I just kept uh, as I was handing the things like that's my um, ID card I would really appreciate it if you would let me keep that because it's not of any use to you and it, it would be really helpful to me if I could keep that I remember saying to them like he's like what's this what's this and he was like jingling in my where I had my keys in my pocket and I said those are my keys I said I would really appreciate it if you would let me keep those because you can't really use them for anything and I need them to get back in at night and so I just kept negotiating where I would give them right. things and then I would also like respectfully ask if I could like keep the things that weren't of any use to them but would have made the rest of my night yeah. very difficult um, and so then uh, they I remember they the guy put the, my keys in my hand put my wallet in my other hand and then punched me in the face hard Right, and uh, he punched me right in the nose, uh, and I remember passing out from it. I remember I was knocked out from it. Right, and then when I came to, I was like sort of like laid back, sprawled over against the the fence, and then I remember feeling like ah, it hurts, and then I remember feeling a warm gush yeah. as the blood coming out of my nose, and. Uh, but I remember the time thinking, like, oh, it was surprising that I was able to... It was very frightening, because I really did think, like, oh, they could stab me at the end of this. Right. And I remember thinking, like, oh, it worked out. It was horrible. And I was, like, really traumatized by it for a long time. I was always afraid when I lived in England. Um, in Liverpool and then even in London, I was always, like, wary. Um, and then I remember thinking, like... Oh, I'm like surprised that I had the forethought to like offer them things and then also ask for things from them. Right. When they were in control of the situation. How did they react when you asked for things? They didn't say anything. I think they, I, my sense was that they were surprised I was volunteering extra things for them right. and explaining how they'd be of use to them. Like, here's a, here's a 20 pound phone card. You can use this to make phone calls to anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's prepaid. And I was like, oh, wait, I have these pound coins here. Because I was, right. they were just looking at what was in my wallet. And I was like, I had a lot of pockets, so I was like offering them other things. Right. And also found. in your mind, too, you're like, I don't want them to find these and think that they, I was trying to keep them from... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think for me, it was also just more like, I want my ID, I want my keys. Right. And I want my like personal effects, yeah. like photographs of people and stuff like that. Um. Yeah. But, I mean, fortunately, I have not had any other... I mean, I never was in any, any, like, fights in school or anything like that. I feel like the passing out thing, too, mm -hmm. was probably, like, a weird subconscious or even conscious defense mechanism also. Mm -hmm. In the sense that, like, I bet if the situation warranted, you probably could have not been knocked out by that. Maybe, yeah. But the fact is, it only would help you to be knocked out by that. Yeah. Well, they did it as a... Like, they were gone. Like, I was not out for more than a few seconds. Right. And they were already just, like, down the road. So they were very smart about, here's your wallet, here's your keys, punch, and we're gone. Yeah. And it was, the punch was really, like, don't get a stupid idea now. Yeah. Like, it was like, we want to punctuate this with hurting you, disorienting you, and we want to be gone. Like, we don't want someone suddenly thinking, like, hey, I'll follow those guys or whatever. Right. Um... It's also weird to think about stuff like that. That like, like that, if you stayed up, 
it probably would have been more of a problem. Yeah. Um, it's also weird to think about. It. I've never really thought about this, like how for those two guys, um, the uh, that was such a minor thing in their life. Yeah. That was not like a big payday for them. And it was not like a memorable... I mean, they probably might have re- remembered that they robbed a Yank, you know? That it was like yeah. an American guy and we punched him. Right. But that was not their first time robbing someone. It was not their last time robbing someone. They just r- probably robbed a lot of people. And there's nothing very notable about it. Yeah. It wasn't like... Um, and for me, it's something that like I don't think about it often. I used to. I used to think about it all the time. I used to be like, really would like think I saw them places, you know? Right. Like I would see a guy and think like, is that the guy? I can't really remember, but it looks like him. Yeah. There's one time when a group of, uh, young, there's a certain age of child in Liverpool that's really frightening. Yeah. Um, there's one time I was on a payphone to my mom on a Sunday afternoon, and this was in the first year I was there when at that time the Liverpool City Center, all the shops were closed on Sundays. But Sundays were the only day I had time to like wander around and browse places and see right. the city. So I would like wander around the city center where only a few things were open. I go to like an internet cafe at the far end of the city center, and I was calling on a payphone. It's broad daylight at Sunday afternoon, and a group of like ten year olds yeah. surrounded me at this phone box, and I remember having to like tell my mom like I gotta go. I had to, like get off the phone because I'm like I don't want to get mugged by a bunch of children on the phone to my mom. Yeah. And I've just like walked past them, but it, and it was clear that like they just, something about the situation, they just didn't pull the trigger on it. Like right. they just didn't, not they didn't have a gun, but I mean they, they just didn't, no, yeah, they, yeah. they were like clearly doing something and they just didn't finish it. Right. Uh, and the, I think the only, I, I'll tell you the other time, the other, there was an almost mugging, which was, just a few years ago, this was in since I lived in New York. Um, there was a comics exhibit that was going on. That half of it was in Manhattan, and the other half was in Newark, New Jersey. Part of Mocha? No, it was like the Masters of Modern Comics. Oh right. And the m- more modern ones, like Chris Ware and Art Spiegelman, were at the Jewish Museum in Manhattan. And the earlier half, which was like George Harriman, Charles Schultz, Windsor McKay, so like that, was in Newark. And my parents were in town for Thanksgiving. And my dad and I decided we would get the train out to Newark and we would go to this museum. Yeah. And it was like it was like Thanksgiving weekend or something. It wasn't I don't remember which day it would have been, but it was like the week of Thanksgiving. Right. We got on a train from Penn Station, we went to Newark, and then we got out and I was like, Okay, to get to this place it says we take Newark light rail to get to this museum. And um so we were like looking at the map and like, okay, so we do this, we do this. And so we're waiting. We waited for probably like about 10 or 15 minutes for the train to come. And there were these teenagers who were like uh, hanging around in the train station. And we didn't really take any notice of them. <coughs> and then the light, rain, the light rail comes. And the light rail in Newark, um, at least this area or whatever, was just, um, it was more like a jitney. Right. And... So my dad and I got on this thing, and these teenagers got on this thing too, and it was like two little cars attached to each other, and the teenagers immediately got went from their car into our car, and we're the only other people on it, 
and they came, and my dad and I were talking, and these guys, they got on, and they sat directly behind us. There were like five of them. Right. They sat directly behind us in the train, and they were talking about all the people that they'd robbed recently, and they were laughing about it. Like, they were laughing about their conquests, basically. Right. And I was just like, oh, God, like, I don't know what they have on them. I don't know if they all have guns. I don't know what's about to happen, but I know that they're, like, toying with us. They're like... They're like an animal playing with its prey before they attack. Right. And my dad was just continuing to have the conversation with me. He did not notice at all that there was anything weird about the situation. And so literally the train pulls out of this station and it goes, it probably went for 60 seconds and then it stopped. And that was the first stop. And I said, this is our stop to my dad. He's like, what? Because we just waited for 15 minutes for the train. I said, this is our stop. He said, really? I said, yeah, come on. I said, it's our stop. We got out. And I knew it looked weird. I knew this is a risky yeah. moment because we're clearly getting off. We waited, they, we waited with them for 10 to 15 minutes. You're getting off like 100 off feet a away. Minute, yeah. 100 feet away. We got off the train. And then the train left. And I was so relieved. That I was waiting like maybe they'll get off too. Yeah. And the area was deserted. There was no one around this little so city. So if they got center. off, you would have been in more trouble. Yeah. Yeah. And the train just kept going. And then I'm... And then He's like, this is it? I was like, no, this wasn't our stop. I said, did you not notice anything that just happened? Because I was also thinking, like, I'm about to get mugged with my dad. Yeah. Like, my dad and I are about to get mugged together. Yeah. And it's my fault. And it'll be embarrassing for both of you. It'll be the worst. Yeah. And if I, I won't know how to handle it if I get my dad mugged. Like, if anything bad happens to him because... I wanted to go to this comics exhibit. Right, because I want to see Windsor McKay drawings. Yeah. And so we're out of the stop, and I'm like, this wasn't our stop. I said, did you not notice what just happened? Those guys were, those teenagers were talking about people that they mugged, and they were doing it deliberately for our benefit. And I felt like something bad was about to happen. And then I realized, based on the scale of the map that I've been operating on, and based on how far the distance was between the stop we waited for and the stop we get off, I'm like, this thing basically does a circle of an area that's like, imagine if like Union Square was like twice this big. Right. I'm like, this train is coming back around uh, in a few minutes. Like this train will arrive. We probably got to the station right as the train had left. Right. And it did its little 10 minute round or whatever. Yeah. And I'm like, we need to get out of here before this train comes back. Because if they see that we're still here, you know, like it'll just, it just won't be good. Yeah. And so we like found the museum, which we could have easily just walked from the first train station right. to the museum. And then I was just like looking at the stuff and I was like, I don't care. I can't enjoy about this now. these comics. This isn't, I've read these. I don't, I'm just looking at like, oh, look, they erased something. Yeah. Look, there's white out on this. And I was like, why do I even care about the things I like? Like they don't matter. At all. Yeah. Like, it was so important. I got on a locomotive to get, to go to a different city to look at stupid comics. And I, I genuinely, I remember the feeling of like, I don't care about any of the stuff I like. None of it matters. It's stupid. And I just risked our lives. Like, as far as I was concerned, I had just risked our lives so that I could look at some original Charles Schultz art. Right. It's really feels awful to be a a fully grown adult and to get scared by children 
Yeah. To get genuinely like scared for your own life and the life of someone that you care about. And you're like, these children could just be crazy children. And the odds are, I don't know whether those kids had ever actually robbed anyone. They could have just been funny teenagers who thought it'd be funny to talk about all the people they'd quote unquote robbed. Right. <clears throat> to them, it was probably funny that they sat next to us and then we got off right away and they were probably just like, that's hilarious. But for me, it just made me very sad. I'm still sad when I think about that. Yeah, I can tell. Cowardly person. That's not cowardly, though. It's, it was the smart move. I don't think the smart move would have been for me to like fight them. Yeah. But I do feel like at the core of my being, like danger situation pops up, and my reaction is like, what's the safest thing that, we, that could happen? Like what? But that's, a, that's an evolutionary life-preserving thought. I'm definitely, I'm definitely evolved from like small rodents that were... <laughs> what? No, no. Like meek. Like there's that episode of Star Trek The Next Generation where uh, something, ha- something happens in the air and everyone starts devolving into the right. kind of thing that they... And Picard becomes like a very terrified, like he's like a small little rat. Yeah. That's me. That's a great episode. That's a great episode. That episode is almost like a Star Trek movie. Like, that would have made a great movie. Because Worf turns into this beast that is just, like, in heat. But that's the thing, though, is I feel like I have this thing that I've been operating on lately where, like, every human, every person I know, especially, like, among the people we know that are, like, very creative and stuff like that, like, everyone has their (coughs) superpower and their super weakness. Yeah. And, like, it's important to know what your superpower is and what your super weakness is. Because I feel like as much as you're, like, I'm a coward, da-da-da-da-da-da, you also have a superpower that those kids will never have. <coughs> I feel like my superpower is, is maybe that I don't... I don't... I have a lower threshold in terms of, like, dignity. Like, I don't... uh I'm not afraid to look stupid. You know, like I'm not, I feel like that's, it takes a lot to embarrass me. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's maybe a, a symptom of your superpower, not your superpower. What do you think my superpower actually is? I feel like your superpower is that you are someone that is, um, how do I phrase it? You are a person that, unlike other people, mm-hmm. can see the bigger picture beauty of a possibility mm-hmm. and commit to it regardless of the immediate losses <laughs> or the immediate things that will get in your way because you know that it will be worth it at the end of the day, yeah. which... A part of that is, yeah, like you're willing to be embarrassed in pursuit of those things. Yeah. You're willing to be uh, put upon as a, in process of achieving those things. But you seek to achieve things that other people would not even seek to achieve. Yeah, that's a nice way of putting it. Um, I don't think it's a nice way of putting it. I think that's, oh, that's what it is. Um, yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Um, 
But I also like, it's, it's funny when I think back to, did we first meet in parentheses or did we meet before parentheses? We met before parentheses, but we were Just not barely. friends. What did we meet? Uh, I'm sure we met at like indie improv shows. Oh yeah, like Secret Man Group and Jump on 3 probably interacted at... Exactly. Like I think we did your guys' show once or something. Right, yeah. And so like I think you and I knew each other. No, wait. We did know each other before that. We had to have. Because I remember knowing that you wrote your essay last second. Okay. And like I knew that was a part of your personality. My essay for to get into parentheses? Yes. Parentheses. Because you made a video for it. Yeah. Uh, um, for long-time listeners of this podcast, we'll just explain. Um, parentheses was a, sh- was a class at UCB that had twice the normal number of people in it. And it was an improv class uh, taught by Chris Gethard um, that involved um, a lot of core people that if you watch the Chris Gethard show, you'll see in various capacities. And then emphasize the exploration of improv as an extension of personality and not as an extension of form. Yeah, it was like there were no hard and fast rules. It was like, let's see what happens with this many people. It was a crazy experimental class. Um, Because I remember that you made a video for your submission. Well, I think... um, And for some reason, I knew that was a part of your personality to do that, and I thought that was... Very Connor-like. What so I know, we must have known each other enough for me to have that understanding of you. Yeah, I think there probably were under St. Mark's uh, experiences. Oh, late night with Harold. Oh no, that was after. No, late night with Harold. Oh yeah, late night with Harold was before. Okay, that's where we knew each other yeah. from, and from under St. Mark's shows probably. Under St. Mark's shows, and then we were in late night with Harold together. That's right. I forgot you were in that class. Yeah. Uh, my memory of that class is a little blurry. Oh, my memory of that class is a big sensor bar of just forget that, move on, JD. Um, I learned a couple of really important things in that class, though. So did I. And me and Matt Cohen have an experience that we always talk about. It's very funny. Where Anthony was very upset at everybody. Oh, that week, yeah. And then... Was that week two or three? Something. He railed. He got really mad. A, yes. And then he was like, two pe- like another scene. And me and Matt accidentally double initiated, and we became the fitness twins. Mm-hmm. That were two weirdo twin characters. Yeah, and it was like not. It was like a very strange scene where we were just like these weird, bizarre, mm-hmm. hesitant but like aggressive twins. Yeah, with Steve Tice playing opposite us. Uh huh. And after the scene ended, we were like, oh, "We're about to get." And then Anthony was like, "Now that is how you do a scene. That right?" Th-. And he like went through the whole thing about how that was a great. And me and Matt were both like. Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Because it was like a fun scene, but it like didn't necessarily feel in line with the stuff that he was right. really mad about. Yeah. And um, then we were both like, oh, God. Yeah. But yeah, that whole class was... Uh, yeah, I learned a lot of great stuff in that, but it was definitely a uh, an experience. Um, but in parentheses... Yeah. I think the thing was... Uh, I wrote an essay. I almost didn't get into parentheses because it was last minute. Right. But the thing is, like, there was only like the four-day window or something to... Yeah to sign up for it. And uh, I wrote a regular essay and Mudon said, no, 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 you should do like a cool, like do a video. And I was like, I don't have time. Like I was really busy. I'm like, I don't have time to do a video and get it edited and output and upload and all this. And she's like, no, no, you really should do a video. And I was like, I'm just going to do a regular 
essay. I don't have time for it. And then Mutant was like, I really think you should do a video. And so I did it. Uh, it was like on Monday morning I did it. Right. And I uploaded it, but I didn't have it. It was like going to take like an yeah. hour to upload to YouTube. And we went in for the late night with Harold class. I remember that. It was Monday afternoon. And in the break during that class, I went to the, use the public UCB computer there to get the link for it and email it to Gethard for the application for the class. And then we went back in for the second half of the class. And uh, when we got done with the class, it was all picked. Like, like at 4.30, I emailed the thing. And at 6 o'clock when the class got out, I, uh, we were in it. Right. And Gethard closed the class. Like if I hadn't, if we hadn't taken, if we'd taken the break later or if the computer hadn't been working or whatever like that, I just wouldn't have been in the class. Yeah. Um, and it was, it, I think Mutant was like, uh, keep it open. Like she was saying to Gethard, like, keep it open. He's going to get you the thing. He's like, I don't know who this guy is and I have, I'm going to close the class. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I remember, you know, during parentheses, uh, during that class, I remember feeling like everybody in that class was really, um, I felt like so many more people were open to the possibilities of getting weird and experimental. And I always felt like I was like the old fashioned person in the class that I was, I felt like I'm just, I just do like little scene work things. Like other people would do things that would be like, I'm going to make a move that changes the whole structure of this show we're doing. And my tendency was like, I'm just going to walk on as a character and do a scene. Right. And, um, and I remember like, um, feeling like other people did stuff that was, uh, crazier. And I feel, I remember feeling like, am I just like, the guy who's like, just do old-fashioned scene work. That's like the old days. Like I really felt like sometimes like the kind of old fogey in the class who was just like not quite as wild. Because we had so many like wild people who do crazy stuff in that class. And uh, I remember like the one time, I remember like Gethard was really disappointed in the second parentheses show. Yeah. And I felt like um, I think I made the move. There was the move of like counting the audience or whatever, and I made the move where I was I was an audience member who hadn't been counted. Right. And I remember feeling like, oh, this is the kind of move that is like good for this class. It's like a weird move that changes the yeah shape of the show a little and it plays with the form of where the audience is. Uh, and then I remember feeling like uh, like he didn't like that show, and he's like he was mad at the people who had like done a lot in the show for like drowning out the people who'd been more hesitant or a little quieter in it. Uh, and then I remember, and I felt, I remember feeling good about, I still feel good about this movie, even though I feel like this is typical of my personality. And it's like elements of my personality where I feel like the, there's a caution. There's a sense of like, like when there was the show that Murph said, I'm going to try to do a backflip. Yeah. And I've never done it before, and I'm going to try this now. I'm just going to attempt it. And then Matt Mayer was getting up to help him do the backflip. I remember feeling like this is just like 
a dumb idea to do this. Like, I remember I spoke up and I was just like, I'm sorry. I know everyone's excited about this. Like, I, I don't want to be the guy who's like ruining everyone's fun and the craziness of the show. But I have to say, I think like this is a bad idea. It's not worth it. Like if he does a backflip, it's great. We'll all be excited. But if he breaks his neck, we will have all like enabled this for a comedy show in a basement. And I remember feeling like making that speech that everyone, I was going to get some other people who hadn't been willing to say it to then also say it. And no one did. Nobody said like, yeah, I also agree. I don't think. And afterwards there were people who said to me like, yeah, I also felt that. I was like, why wouldn't you like say it at the point where like, I felt like that's my version of taking a risk, which was I'm willing to like put the health of this person ahead of how cool the show is. Right. Um, I was just thinking about that because I was listening to the Murph's episode of Talking TC Jess where he talked about that and then said later that he saw a video online of someone who like broke his neck when he yeah. tried to do that. I still stand by that as a move. Like even though, even though I know that that is in some ways goes against the spirit of like, this is a crazy experimental class. I don't think that does. There's a part of me where I feel like it goes around to the point where it actually is more rebellious to say, let's not do this crazy wild thing, even though it seems like it could be fun because it's a bad idea to do it. That I feel like there's an element of, um, (coughs) prioritizing maybe. Well, to me, I don't think that's a bad move because I think you're playing to the, the whole the whole point of that move that Murph's making is to make this thing take it from this to start it off in a place where like this is just a real moment that we're all in a room together. Yeah, and I'm gonna do this thing, and what's exciting about this is that it's just a moment that we're all gonna be experiencing together, and there's yeah. no presentational aspect to it. Yeah, and so you reacting to that honestly is something that I think is great because whether or not Murph does it, that's accepting the fact that this is a real thing, and yeah. you feel this way, and you're being honest about it. Yeah, like I like that more than like being the guy who wasn't counted because that's like taking a thing and being like I'm gonna add in another fake thing. Right. Yeah. Which which I think is more like that's not honest. That's like that's 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 avoiding moving forward. No, I would just say that's a I was doing a character move that was a more scenic thing that as opposed to a right. Here's a real thing that's happening. Right. But in adding space. in a, a, a character thing like that doesn't move everything. It just takes a, a side. It takes a detour side road to yeah. deal with this character now. Whether yeah. that's fruitful or not is one thing, but that's certainly just a great. Let's stop and see this attraction. Yeah. Whereas that, giving a speech about how you think this shouldn't be done, yeah. that's an honest reaction to things. Yeah. And no matter what, if you're being honest in the moment to something that is just about the moment, then you are a part of that. Because the most interesting thing about that was not the backflip; it was about the anticipation and excitement of whether he should do this or not. Yeah. And whether it's a smart idea, and the fact that you were speaking on behalf of most of the audience, which is he shouldn't do this. And then that being the whole thing of like, well, we all have voices that tell us not to do these things. Like, is it worth it once to like not listen to that voice? Yeah. I don't know. And then here's Connor being that voice. And that sort of set up the context of the show. Like, if it was just everyone chanting for Murph to do a backflip, that wouldn't have been as exciting as people, as you. Because I feel like you standing up there and saying that was what actually started making things. Because then it became a thing where like everything everyone did was like, should I do the thing I wanted, I'm about to do or shouldn't I? And then like we all sort of took our, our steps to do it. 
And can you imagine if that show had just started with Murph getting up saying, I want to do a backflip, and Matt Berry getting up and saying, like, here, I'll help you, and then him doing it, and he broke his neck? Yeah. I think that probably would have just been, I would have just stopped doing shows. I don't know if I would have. I think I would have just been like, I can't go back to that theater. <laughs> like, that guy's paralyzed. Murph is paralyzed. And uh, I just don't feel like doing comedy anymore. I feel like it just would have, it would have been such a horrible thing. Sure. I guess the thing that I rail against so much now in comedy is I feel like there is so much fake stuff. Mm -hmm. It's like, uh, I think almost, especially this, there's current trend in comedy that's like this very, um, I mean, everyone uses the phrase ironic detachment, but I mm -hmm. mean like there's an irony in everything that's being done to a certain extent. Like people are doing so many things ironically that it's like, well, why don't you just do something genuine Something, something that you actually want to do, something that you want to see happen. Yeah. Why don't you do that thing? Yeah. As opposed to, I feel like there's a lot of hiding behind fake elements, and that is supposed to be entertaining. Yeah. And it's becoming this thing that's almost like, it's starting to feel like fucking like, um, uh, like the 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 lumberjack challenge, you know, where it's like, you know, you ever see those events that used to be on like ESPN three thousand, where it's like guys with chainsaws racing each other to cut the lumber mm -hmm. of the this then they have to hack off this thing and then they have to climb up this and cut off the top of the wood where it's like once that was a skill and your ability to do that quickly was something that right related one-to-one -to, -one to chopping down trees and building houses yeah but now it is just an appreciation of an art form that has no context right and i feel like to a certain extent improv specifically and comedy to a large extent there's an, an aspect to it that is just an appreciation of a talent that has no context outside of the realm of comedy. Yeah. And that is just a uh, <coughs> ice dancing version of the you know lumberjack challenge. Mm -hmm. And I find that so uninteresting and so unappealing. Yeah. And then people toss around the word artist like all that means that you just have to not have a normal job. And it's like, no. Art should be this expression of saying something, of, exi of, of communicating thoughts. Yeah in ways that aren't just writing it on a piece of paper and wondering whether that's right or not. Yeah. It should be a, a communication of your thoughts. And people are like, oh, you know, it's tough being an artist. Like so many people I don't consider artists because they are not yeah. communicating anything other than their ability to do the analog of chopping down trees really quickly or efficiently. And I find that uninteresting and unexciting. And I think that's the antithesis of entertainment. And I think, so much of what the purpose of entertainment is supposed to be is this both escape that people can escape into entertainment mm. and then take something away with them when they leave. Yeah. You know, it's like, to me, the whole purpose of art is that it's like a, it's, it's, it's a drug, right? It's like a little pill that we can take yeah. as a culture, not as artists, but as audience, as consumers of entertainment. Mm -hmm. The point of entertainment, to, in my mind, is that you need all these different versions of things to reflect all the different shades of life so that at any given time, you know that you need to feel a certain way. You can count on entertainment to take you there. Yeah. You can count on this to uh, spirit you away to a specific frame of thought that you need or a mode of thinking that you need. Like, entertainment itself is only there to support other people, right? Like, our job is to make, like, doctors and uh, house builders and farmers feel a certain way. Right. So that they can do their job more efficiently and help everyone else. Like, our job is for those people. So then if we just make our job insular and it's just about 
showing off this little dance that we can do. Right. People will come and laugh and they'll go back to their jobs of saving people and have no context for it. It will be unhelpful other than a 20-minute respite from actual life, which maybe that is worthwhile, but you can also get that by like locking yourself in a closet for 20 minutes and like humming a song in your head. Yeah. Yeah, like, I mean, what's your reaction to like... Um like something like David Blaine. Why'd you pick David Blaine? Because he's pictured someone being locked in a closet and that made me think of things <laughs> he does that are about watching the endurance Yeah, something. Well, that's something that I, you know, um, I have multiple thoughts. Number one, um, believe it or not, like one of the weird things that I, I think about um so much of the world is that like so much of the real world is so magical and wonderful and interesting magical not in the literal sense but it's so I'll just use a different word then wondrous. so much of the real real world is so wondrous and interesting and engaging and just uh, profound yeah that we don't need fake stuff right. to fill that in we can use fake stuff to contextualize mm-hmm. that interesting wondrous part of reality but we don't need to make up a fake reality right? that only serves to trick people into believing a fake reality, yeah. right? And so my thing with magic is that I like magic as a um, contextualized symbol for the idea that um, there's a deeper layer to everything that goes on, that there's, 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 there's things that appear to be magic is actually yeah. this element of hard work and intellectualism and like thought behind it. But then I hate people who claim magic where there is none mm-hmm. because the real world is far more interesting than the fake world. Yeah. And so a guy like David Blaine, I actually respect to a certain degree because he is one of the magicians. I've been weirdly into the skeptical community for a long time, mm-hmm. and that overlaps with the magic community in a weird way. Yeah. Because so much of the magic community are actually very ardent skeptics. Mm-hmm. And so David Blaine's actually a guy who is very admitted that everything he does is a trick. Yeah. And everything he does is a um, a fabricated plan that he has to do things, right? Yeah. For a while, he was playing the, like, supernatural element, and that's a lot of his presentation, which I don't like that he does that. Yeah. But he's been more and more public about his struggles to achieve tricks that I, I appreciate him more. Mm-hmm. And then I think his endurance things, though not magic or wondrous are interesting in the context of he creates these goals that he sets out that like a sporting event, like a movie, like anything like that are these symbols that represent a certain part of humanity. And it's like the idea that it's like he's set out to set the world record for holding your breath. Yeah. And then he did all of these steps to get there. And then he achieved that thing is a really cool thing to see because then when you're trying to achieve a thing, you can think, Oh, it's possible yeah. just to be a guy and choose to do this thing. You know, some of his other things I think are, are, are less interesting, but still they are symbols of yeah. endurance, whether powerful or not. At least they are attempts at that. Yeah. The people that I despise are people um, like uh, Sylvia, whatever her name, like anyone that claims actual magical powers. Psychics. Sylvia Brown. Sylvia Brown, yeah. Psychics, um, people that talk to the dead. Um, I mean, funny religious leaders, like things like that. Like I, that stuff really bothers me. Gandhi, 
Well, I think the real world is so interesting and so profound. Dr. And so Dr. Martin Luther King. I don't like the religious I, aspects of I it. I know, I know. I honestly don't like the religious aspects of it. I, I, I just thought it was funny to, to throw those in as, as you're naming the list of people you despise. No, but I, I, I don't like when people call on religion to, to support those things. I mean, I'm not a religious person, obviously, and there's, yeah. I'm a person that does not believe, and there's people that do believe. Now, are you, this is interesting, are you, uh, would you say you're an atheist or an agnostic? Uh, I'm an agnostic atheist. Because those are two separate questions, right? Atheist is whether you believe in a God right now, whether you have evidence to support that there is a God. Mm-hmm. And agnosticism is answering whether you think there is a, uh, an answer or there's not an answer. Like, so basically I'm saying my, my thing is... Well, agnostic is you don't know. Well, I don't know and yeah. I haven't seen evidence to support that there's a God. Yeah. I mean... Because I, I, well, you, you could not know and think that there might be a God, but just say you don't know. Yeah. You could be an agnostic theist and be like, I think there's a God, but I honestly, there could not be. For me, I'm on the side of, I, I don't. You're think, agnostic. I would say you'd be agnostic leaning atheist. I mean, I I don't believe there's a god. Yeah, I do not believe that there is a god in the. In the but you also in don't the, like, know the, Ab- the Abrahamic sense of like a, a being that yeah. rules the world through singular thought. Yeah, or whatever that vision is. See, I always feel like there's a lot of atheists who don't respect agnostics because they think agnosticism is wishy washy, and I always feel like. Agnosticism, like the problem with athe- atheism, is the certainty, because that's the problem I have with most religions is the certainty. Well, I, th- I think to be uh, to be certain about anything about the existence of the universe yeah. is a foolish endeavor. To say yes. that there is certainly not a god. That's why I feel like agnosticism is the only game in town for any reasonable person. Well, my thing too is, I I'm I, I'm not even willing to I'm not I wouldn't even say leading atheist. I would say atheist because yeah. I think the idea of a god is such a human made concept that it's like. Yeah. There's an infinite other amount of things that it could also not be. Right. So to say atheist is such a, a strong idea to me where it's like not God-believing. Yeah. It's like, well, it's, I'm also not like flying donkey-believing. I'm also not that like if you sit on the couch, that means that like cats can talk believing. Like there's a million yeah. things that I don't believe in. Yeah. And there's a million things that there's not evidence for. So all I can say is that like since there's a prevailing thought that there is – that a lot of people believe that there is – some sort of theistic presence in the world. I don't believe that because I've not seen evidence yet yeah. to support that. But if tomorrow I saw evidence, I don't know what it could be that there was a God, I would yeah. immediately be like, great. Yeah. Well, that's a, I've seen the evidence. That, I believe that's it. The it, would take a, it would take a lot. And I don't know what could possibly make me believe that. It would probably take a, a it, lot. Well, I would say it probably wouldn't take much from the perspective of if a God, if a theistic right. God existed, it wouldn't take much effort on... On his their part, or its yeah. part uh, to prove to impress. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that's so bizarre to me is like if you look at uh, how it's all like the part of me that's like, well, um, if you believe in like a you know that there is a god, a creator who has like a an active interest in what's happening or whatever. Yeah, um, everything's been set up so that you can't know, and you're just it's all set up so it's like believe without evidence that's the real that's what yeah that's what it wants and i always imagine like well if there's a scenario where i die and then suddenly i'm faced with the realization that like oh this was the correct thing all along well i knew a lot of people who believe in this it's weird you did a great job of tricking everyone because most people didn't believe in it yeah like like you really set it up in a tricky way like I always, I always have this weird feeling. I mean, it's 
partly a joking feeling, but it's like, I feel like either, I feel like if there's a, if there was a God that wouldn't be willing to listen to you for 10 minutes while you explained why you didn't believe and accept that, then, then what you're actually dealing with is a monstrous a tyrant, s- yeah. tyrant of it. Like that is not like if I, I believe if you would give me 10 minutes in a, in, not a room, cause presumably that's not a, that's a earthly right. concept, 10 minutes in some sort of a void where I could just state my case having been presented with like I died, I'm in the afterlife and it turns out that, you know, uh, Christian, uh, Christian doctrine was correct. Um, give me 10 minutes in a, in, a, in a heavenly void where I can just state my case as to all the many reasons why I yeah. didn't have invisible, blind, invisible faith. Yeah. And just hear me out. And if you're not, if you're, it, it seems, that seems like a reasonable request after, a, and it feels like if you're not willing to hear me out for 10 minutes, then you're a monster to begin with. Like, right, and then my whole concept of the world is fucked then. Yeah. Of, of existence is fucked because there's a, a, crazy, hu- a humanoid crazy person, crazy person making decisions on a grander scale than I can Which understand. is, when you look at the world, that feels more likely than it's... It's much harder to understand uh, from a human perspective the existence of a loving God that could take an active hand but doesn't. Yes, that's harder to for me to understand because, like, when we watch, like, say, a Neil LeBute movie, like In the Company of Men, yeah, you watch that movie, and you the Aaron Eckhart character is clearly a, a terrible sociopathic person. Right, he's doing this experiment. It's cruel, and he doesn't have to do this, but he does it. Uh, we look at that and we're like, that's horrible. But then you'll have people who will like read the book of Job and say like, Oh, well he was testing him. Yeah. And you're just like, well, okay, but can we stop and try not rationalizing this for a second? And, uh, I always think the book of Job would make a great movie, a great horror movie to do a modern, uh, a modern retelling. Right. Of the book of Job where you, um, I had actually written a script uh, for a friend of mine at one point, uh, that we were going to try to do this horror movie. And it was basically, a um, a modern version of the Book of Job, but ins- you'd have a female lead instead of a male, right? And you would have basically everything in her life fall apart to the point where, like, she can't explain it. It's insane what's happening, and uh, that uh, a lot of it would just play as a straight up horror movie. Like, a lot of it would right. just be like, you can't understand why this is happening to her and it's all basically a retelling of that. But I always think like that story, like even if you did like a faithful retelling of it, the ending that I would put to it, like the ending in the Bible of the book of Job is his wife and family all died and all of his livestock died and he went through all this horrible stuff. But then at the end, the story is told as if like, but it turned out to have a happy ending because he got a new wife, he had new kids and all new livestock. Yeah. And to me, I think the retelling of that story from a modern perspective, you would tell that and you would have the ending. You would see Job with his new wife and his new family, everything new. And you'd have a, a, a family tableau at the end. Everyone's happy. But you have the camera slowly push in 
until you got right to Job's, like, just his eyes. And you would just see it in his eyes that, like, this has not been made even. Like, this man has not been made whole again. Yeah. Like, that added to, to me, that story is, like, <coughs> disqualifying. Yes. It is, uh, in any modern sense, you could go to almost the worst culture on earth right now, and if you killed a man's wife and children and all of his, took away, burned down his house, killed his pets and his livestock, assuming he has livestock, and then you gave it all back to him in a new form, there's a new wife, have new kids, new things, there's not a society on earth that would say like, yep, you did right by that guy in the end. Yeah. You'd be like, no. Learned I, a good lesson. Uh, well, yeah, it was okay in the end because, well, we did give him a new wife and kids and new livestock. Yeah. Anyone else would be like, no, because what you put him through is worse. It's unforgivable. Yeah, but see, I, I agree with all of that. But my whole thing, too, is like I, I, I don't even dare get into any of the Bible stuff or any of because like it's all just made up to me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like it's all just – and <coughs> what I love is when there's uh, you know this point of view of like, uh, oh, well, you know, the interesting thing is there's cultures that are untouched by other civilizations and they also create a God. And to me, it's like, great, that's evidence that we're just making this that up. That people tell a certain kind of a story. Because they're all different and we're like – we're uh, uh, a herd, a herd animal yeah. that likes a leader, needs would, an alpha leader. It would be like if our culture thought that Meatballs, the movie, was uh, true. It was a true thing that had been passed down for generations. And then you found out that other cultures also made their version of a summer camp sex comedy. That wouldn't make them all true. Right, but it's not even, just like, it's not oh, even a, all summer camp sex comedies. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's summer camp sex comedies, and then it's With like the Ocean's Eleven is another one. Yeah. And then also like, like a Lars von Trier movie is another one. And it's like, oh, well, they're all movies. It's like, yeah, because we all just need something to watch. Yeah, we all tell stories. Yeah, and listen, even though ours is correct because Tripper is the one true lord, <coughs> and the Mohawk guys are assholes. And you know what? At the end of the day, it, it does just not matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And at the end of the day, if uh, if Spaz is going to carry an egg on a spoon as fast as he possibly can, <coughs> imagine the, the the religion of meatballs. I love meatballs, the movie. It's been so long since I've seen it. My memory of it is that it's fun to see Bill Murray, but I, I don't remember any other... It's a great movie, it. and it has one of the greatest uh, motivational speeches of all time. And it was all improvised, which is great. Mm-hmm. And if you watch it, you realize that it's an improvised, improvised thing, because it's all of the cast all the extras in this room and it's basically they have this big competition against Camp Mohawk which is the uh-huh. rich kids and so Bill Murray is the head of the you know the head of all the uh, CITs right yeah and so um, he's giving a speech to them because they're like the ragtag camp yeah and instead of like a big motivational speech his speech is like listen we're gonna go out there tomorrow we're gonna lose to Mohawk you know what that's always how it's going to be. Because then he, goes, he has this whole thing where he's like, and if we win, even if we win, ha, if we win, if God himself reaches his finger down and points to our side of the field and somehow, somehow <coughs> we beat Mohawk, he's like, at the end of the day, like, like, uh, what is it? Uh, even God above reaches down, points his hand to our side of the field. Even if we win, if we win, all the really attractive girls will still go home with the guys from Mohawk because they have all the money. And you know what? It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter if we win 
or if we lose. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just do- and he makes the whole camp start chanting. It just doesn't matter. It just th- it, I love that rallying cry of like, yeah. you know what? I'm not going to motivate us. We're not going to win, but it doesn't matter because we're going to go out there and we're just going to like we're going to do our thing. And then they all like you know they do yeah. win. But uh, I just love that speech of it just doesn't matter. How many movies feature a, a, an improvised uh, uh, rousing speech by Bill Murray? Because the end of Scrooge is him improvising yeah. on the set of the Christmas Carol broadcast. Uh, does Stripes have one? It might. Well, also, he's the king of like his, that, his blasé mentality of like, yeah. listen, we're going to, you're going to go down the street and you're like him just like giving this pseudo inspirational blasé speech is like such a Bill Murray thing. You know, I really, I have this, it's, it's weird because in some ways, I really have, and I say this as someone who I feel like my start in comedy, I get a late start, I feel like. Sure. And there's a part of me that feels like, oh man, like I'm already near the part where, I'm already near the age where comedians start kind of losing, like. Not really though. Well, I feel like a lot of great comedy, you have like people in their 20s and then they're great in their 30s and they start like, they've done it for 20 years and then you start Repeating yourself and losing your edge and losing your freshness. I feel like you're at the edge when people start making professional moves. Maybe, but I feel like I'm already older than, like, how old were Monty Python when they were doing Flying Circus? Yeah, but I think that's also different. Well, I just, there's one of those things where it's like, there is for most comedians a drop-off. Yes, yes, yes. And it's the exceptions that are usually like, oh, they keep doing this. And I have a, I always had a respect how for, like, Monty Python, like, a lot, most of those guys, they got to a certain age and they were like, Oh, uh, I'm gonna start like doing writing books about Chaucer, or I'm gonna like do travel documentaries that are kind of interesting. Like they right. started pursuing things that weren't, uh, you know, like dancing with a fi- the fish slapping dance, or yeah. sil- like John Cleese got to the point where he was like, I'm not gonna do silly walks anymore. Yeah, uh, and that uh, you look at like. Steve Martin and Bill Murray, like each of them reached a certain age where they started doing a different kind of comedy that, uh, or different type of filmmaking in some cases, or like kind of focusing with various levels of, uh, different levels of success. But there's a part of me that also would really love it if like uh, Steve Martin would write one other movie, one more movie where it's just like, what's the craziest funny thing to you right now? Like, I would love to see Bill Murray, like, he's had such great success right. from the 90s on doing movies where, uh, I remember when, when, around the time he started doing movies like um, Ed Wood and Mad Dog and Glory, and he started becoming a character actor, even before Rushmore, right. he'd had a handful of movies where it was like, oh, wow, like, Bill Murray shows up in these really good movies playing supporting roles where he's really good. Yeah. And... I remember reading a thing where like Bill Murray was talking about how what a relief it is to show up on the set of a movie and it's just like this script is great. And I just need to do the script and it, I think he was talking about Mad Dog and Glory talking about how like I don't need to fix this script. Right. They're not expecting me to come in and riff and save an underwritten comedy. Right. And but there is a part of me that would be like Bill Murray's done so many like good dramas and prestige pictures and supporting roles and we just saw a preview earlier for The Monuments Men. 
and like where he's like an ensemble player and a team player. There is a part of me that's like, ah, I would like to see Bill Murray like at this age do another do a movie that's like a an older man's version of uh, what he did in like Stripes and Ghostbusters, and just see like what's the old man Bill Murray version of that movie, right? Uh, what's the old Steve Martin version of like the jerk or uh, right. the man with two brains or something like that. Like, I'm just, I wonder if, if there's any impulse to kind of check back in with some of those impulses or whether they've just gotten to the point where it's just like, I'm interested in other stuff now. Sure. You know, cause me, cause if they are, I mean, it's a fantasy on my part to want to see that. Uh, but, uh, like I could imagine a time, I could imagine a time, it's hard to imagine right now, I can imagine a time when maybe Will Ferrell is no longer interested in making a Ron Burgundy type character and he just wants to do things that are more like, um, uh, um, what's the one where, um, where he's writing the movie um, Stranger Than Fiction. Like I, could, I can imagine a point where he's like, yeah, I used to do like these goofy kind of characters and then at a certain point I just got interested in being in Good films. Well, so you started this by saying, relating it to your age. Yeah. There's a part of me that, like, the optimistic part of me thinks, like, oh, I'm starting late. So it's just, like, the clock still starts from zero for me in terms of, like, yeah. uh, I hope it isn't that, like, I've already burned through the years when I would have been at the top of my game. Um, well, so then I'm just going to parrot your advice back at yeah. you then shouldn't you just make the thing that you think is the most funny right now, regardless? Oh, no, I think, no, it's more just a worry about, like, not necessarily this year, but, like, maybe a few years down the road. Like, I wonder whether or not, is it like uh, there's a line, there's a ladder up the mountain and down the mountain, and am I just cutting in at near the top of the mountain, and I'm going to have the same, the drop-off will happen at the same age, or will it have more to do with, like, well, I started this year, uh, you know, like, when will I peak, sort of? Right. But like, regardless, your only option is to... Yeah, I can only do what I can do. I, I'm positing that more as a challenge than as yeah. a thought. I mean... I feel like... I feel like... I'll say this. I feel like you're a person that does a lot of <coughs> contemplating about that. And I'd like... I I would like to see, much like you would like to see Bill Murray sit down and make his thing that is essentially his. Yeah. I would like to see you do that. Yeah. I don't think you've done that. Uh, I've done some of that. I think. Yeah. I, cer- I certainly think, like... But I think you could do it to a bigger degree. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, so, no, do- don't dodge that. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what that would be. Like, Sure you do. No, I don't. I used you know to what think you I think knew. is funny. Yeah. Right now. And that's yeah. all it takes. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, because I used to have ambitions for things that I don't think I want anymore. Like what? Like, there are so... Like, I think my old ambitions would have included things like creating a TV show. And I don't know that I don't know that I have the stomach for that in terms of uh, it just seems exhausting the thought of it. It seems exhausting. I think I like the idea of having had created a TV show. Like I don't know whether I have uh I don't know. I don't know whether or not I have the stomach to really the go emotional th- energy to go through it. Yeah, I don't know whether or not like everything that I do now is relatively feels great to me, but it's relatively small bore in terms of like, uh, like to me, 
there are a few dozen people who are actively interested in anything that I'm doing. Some of those people are among the people that I have the most respect for in the world. Uh, and to, there's an element of me that's like, that's enough. That feels pretty good. But I feel that's extension of what we were talking about four hours ago. What was that? When I was Wolf saying, of Wall Street? Yeah. Well, I feel like you're a person that you feel most comfortable when you know where the walls are around you. Yeah. And then you just work within those. Yeah. So I feel like you place convenient walls for those 12 people and then work within that. Like I, did, I feel like were you to do something bigger, you would find a much larger audience that would be obsessed. I don't with know. I feel like there's a low, I feel like there's a, uh, a low ceiling for anything that I would think would be like, Oh, this will be a fun I think thing. That, I don't think that's true. <laughs> I think that's an excuse that you use to not make that thing. I'll say this. I did think when I was doing the lone cornmeal machine, uh, films, I felt like these are pretty good. And I feel like I bet if everybody saw these, a lot of people would like these. And that was a fairly pure expression of what I thought was funny because it was literally just, I would get a bunch of images and I'd be like, what would make this fun? And I would record the soundtrack and I would edit it and I would edit the music to it. And I got to do all the little things that I liked doing. Right. Um, and then we burned out 13 weeks in and then we did a few more. And I think what really killed it more than anything was I think the last one we did, which was a pretty good one. Uh, no one was interested in it. Like, I don't think we got a single comment from anybody about like, that one was really good. Right. It was, and it was one that was, it was the one that was full animation. It was one that, Oh, right. Mile did, did two and a half minutes of full animation for it. And I did a song. I recorded a song to go along with it. Is that about like a balloon or something? No, no. That was the one that was about, um, Oh, what was it about? Oh, I can't remember what it was about. It was a song that was about like uh, paranoia. It was about paranoia. Oh, right, yeah. And it was like a schoolhouse rock. It, yeah. She gave me this like hand-drawn full animation. And then I said, oh, I'll make like a... I, but I had to make sense of the whole thing. There was no way I could edit it. It was a completed yeah. thing. And then I wrote a schoolhouse rock style song to it. And I think we showed it in an episode of The Gethard Show. And it was like tepid audience reaction, no online comments yeah. at all. Like no one liked it. And I remember, I remember thinking like it had so exhausted my L to do all that full animation for like zero feedback from sure. any viewers. But so I do feel like I could do something that would have appeal. Um, I guess what I'm saying is I think you should. I, th- I think I could be involved in something that had appeal. I think you could create something that had appeal. Yeah. I think, because here's what I'll say. <coughs> I'm just going to be harsh here. Yeah. I'm going to be, not harsh, but I'm going to be. We can be harsh. We're only seven hours, almost seven hours in. Yeah. I think we only have uh, five hours left, right? Yeah. We're almost, uh, we're almost to the hour eight. Yeah. Um, I think you are one of the more, most talented people in the New York comedy scene. But I don't think you create enough stuff to show off your talent. Yeah. I feel like I'm always doing stuff. But but you're always doing stuff, but I think it's stuff that you do within walls. Oh, that I don't get it out there enough. Not even, not like, not like oh, you got to pull, 
publicize yourself more. I feel yeah. like you. I feel like you could have a bigger impact <coughs> on the larger scale culture than most people, but you choose not to. I do choose not to, but I also feel like. And you have reasons for why you choose not to. Why do you think? All the stuff that you talk about. You always talk about, oh, I'm a, I'm a coward. Then you talk about all the movies that you tried to make that didn't work. Then you yeah. talk about how uh, you, don't have, you don't have the emotional willpower to There's also the element it. of like I don't – there's an, a, an unwillingness on – there's a reluctance on my part. Not an unwillingness. There's a reluctance on my part because I'm uncomfortable with the impulse and I don't fully understand the impulse. I do have an impulse within me that is like – it's neat to have your work seen by a large audience. Right. But there's a part of me that genuinely doesn't understand whether that's a healthy impulse or not. Sure. For me. That if I do something that I think is fun and good and a small handful of people that I respect see it and they like it, there's a part of me that thinks, oh, okay, good. The thing I did was good, and the people that I know and respect liked it. And it's also not just like, in my case, the people whom, because it sounds like if you're just like, oh, I do stuff for my friends, and my friends think it's funny. In my case, a lot of the people who are my friends are people who are like serious people within the world of professional comedy who have high standards about stuff that they wouldn't just say they liked it. They wouldn't lower their standard because they know me. Right. Like if they didn't like it, they just ignore it. Um, and so like it's good enough that I know like, oh, it's like a, I did a thing that's like legit good. Right. It's not just like, yeah, my friends think I'm funny. Right. Like, well, you know, my friends are people like Noah Foreman who Noah Foreman wouldn't just say this is funny. Yes. Because we're friends. If anything, he would be uh, one of the first people to tell me something isn't funny. Right. If he thought it wasn't. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but there's a part of me that thinks, like, why do I need a bunch of strangers to like something? Isn't it enough for me to know? Like, because there's a part of me, and this is actually part of my... If you were to meet me in my 20s, you would have met someone who was very torn up about the fact that I felt like it was always like two steps forward and three steps back with me. I always felt like I felt like I had a certain amount of a certain amount of ability and I always felt like I would get a lucky break and then something else would like undercut it. And it and it was and then the point where I started doing better was the point where I stopped being obsessed with being successful. And where I started embracing the ephemeral nature of everything that we do. Sure. And that, to a certain extent, and maybe this, is, this could be all just success-failure rationalizations on my part, but I did reach a point where I felt like, you know, it, in the big picture, is it more important uh, that I'm happy with what I'm doing, I feel fulfilled. And if, if doing something that a small number of people really like is enough for me, um, it's like how like a geologist looks at time differently. Right. In the sense, 
you could have, you could be Bill Cosby and be, have the number one show and be one of the most successful comedians of all time. Right. And then a hundred years from now, 200 years from now, maybe Bill Cosby is no more significant a comedic figure than uh, uh, someone who was like a cult figure that very few people knew because time goes on, different people exist. There's a part of me that thinks like, like right now, like you have, hey, Vern, it's Ernest on DVD. Over time, the number of people who are going to have DVDs, let alone have that DVD, is going to shrink to almost nothing. Right. But at the same time... You're saying, I will die eventually. We all will, I think. That's the, that's the scoop that I'm nailing right here in the middle of this podcast. No, but there's a part of me that became quite comfortable with the ephemeral nature of like feeling like it's okay if, like, if a tree falls in the forest and a few people hear it uh, and they're the people that I wanted to hear something, then it doesn't... I don't need to be a person who's like, I need a million people to hear my tree fall. I need it. I want it. I want to have, but I realize like I'm rambling a little at this. I know that not, this is an easy thing to poke holes in because at the same time, like, uh, the broad city pilot just went online. I find it super exciting. I have a tiny little part in the third episode, but even if I didn't just watching the episode and being like, Oh man, like I know people who are in this, like, people who have lines, people who don't have lines. It's like fun. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be on TV. Like my parents can watch this on Comedy Central. And they'll, even if I, even if I didn't have a tiny part in it, that my, it's cool that my parents will recognize people that they've seen or met who are in this. Like it's fun for people. So there's a part of me that's like, it is fun when things go big. Like it is a fun quirk of modern culture that you can do a funny thing and then everybody can turn on their devices in their homes and watch them. So maybe that's not so unhealthy. But I feel like you're also approaching it from a very, um, a Connor-centric perspective. <coughs> Which is what? Which is you're saying, I don't need a million people to be watching the things that I do. I don't need a huge audience to watch a thing. Yeah. But I'm not talking about you as a comedian. I'm talking to you as an artist based on my definition before which is like in a way our job is to this is this is basing things on an external locus but also is also very selfish and egotistical mindset uh-huh. but it's like our job is to provide things to the world oh so you our have more own, a sense of duty to it right our our utility in the world because we are not people that can fight or farm or build houses oh god is like <laughs> Useless. We have to provide the one thing we can, which is you like... You have to make people laugh because otherwise you're not fighting, you're not farming, you are not building houses. Right. What are you doing? Right. And there's a part of me that's like... That's like, a noble way of looking at it, I For guess. me, I look at it too as like, are we necessarily the most... Are we the most equipped? We might not be. I, from my perspective, believe that you are a person that is exceptionally equipped to be doing that job and you have a talent. It'd be like, um, like right now in the NBA, there's a... This player who's been injured for a long time is a huge guy, center, massive, just built to be a superstar. Yeah. And he recently, because he doesn't like the team he's on, he released a quote that said, I've never even liked playing basketball anyways. I'm going to stop playing. And everyone's like, even if you don't like basketball, 
you have to continue playing. Yeah. Because that is your that is what you were built to do. Yeah. That is your utility. Yeah. And if you do not, it is like a selfish act. Now, this is different because I think basketball is less important than messages and ideas. But for someone like you, who I think is exceptionally talented, I feel like you have a certain duty. That's very nice. To impact more people. I appreciate people. I appreciate that. It's not it, I I'm not saying it out of appreciation, I'm saying it out of Well, I mean, I certainly I can see it in the sense I'm not making any uh, comparison by any means, but like there's there's like a part of me that thinks like, well, what if Jim Henson had decided like I'll just do puppet shows for my friends. Sam and Friends is enough. Sam and Friends is enough for me. I like being on this local show. I've got everything I want. Um there's no question that my life and your life, and, well, I mean, it's the line. It's the line from the Muppet movie. Millions of people happy. It's probably the best message in any movie that ever tried to have a message. Right? Right. Rainbow Connection. Someone um, thought of it and someone believed it. Um, it takes someone thinking of it and saying it for someone to believe it, and then that becomes a true thing. Um, the... Millions of people. Millions of happy. people happy. Um, anyone listening to this podcast, I speak for both of us now without hesitation. If you haven't seen the original Muppet movie, you need to see it because it's great. Um, I say this to be provocative, but I, because uh, I know it's a powerful statement when I say this, but it's the second great. It's the. Citizen Kane is the second greatest film that Orson Welles ever had anything to do with because he was in the Muppet movie. Uh, I like that. And uh, that I feel like that statement maybe would be better phrased if I said Orson Welles, amazing. Citizen Kane is the second greatest film yeah. of all time. Like, what's the greatest film? The Muppet movie. Yeah. Um, the Muppet movie is a great, great movie. Um, and I don't mean the Muppets. Uh, the Jason Siegel movie, which is a fine piece of Muppet tribute entertainment. JD and I could probably talk about for a very long time. It's a great cover song. Yeah, it's a great, it's like going to, going to see, uh, if you go to see like one of those like Broadway Beatles tribute shows, those are very skillfully done. No, you know what it's like? It's like, um, like when the Who play now. Not even that, no. Well, because some of the originals are still kicking along in the Muppet. But the Who still has Pete Townsend and... Is Roger Daltrey still in it? I don't know. No. If it's like what what if, are those if, what are those bands if, where if, everyone's cycled out of it at this point? Um Yeah. I mean like yeah. Where it's like one original person. Because the the Who right now, like if, if the Muppets still had Frank Oz uh who is alive and could do these right. things and had a story outline, maybe even a finished script that yeah. he had written with Jim Henson that he wanted to produce as a Muppet movie, but the studio... <coughs> I don't want to badmouth Jason Segel because I'm a, I'm a fan yeah. of Jason Segel, and I think he is an unabashed fan of the Muppets. Yes. I think he saw an opportunity to revitalize the Muppet brand and the Muppet franchise in a way that I can't really have a problem with because I think the new movie will probably be fun. I think the... And he's introducing a whole new generation. Yes, for a whole new generation. But I will say that... If I knew that I had in any way prevented Frank Oz, who, uh, I don't know Frank Oz. Maybe he's kind of a prickly guy. He could be. Right. Um, maybe there's things I don't know about. But there's a part of me that thinks Frank Oz, who is 
original Muppet uh, person had a Jim Henson story that he wanted to make into a Muppet movie, I feel like that should have been made regardless. I feel like somebody should have made that. Yes. Maybe it would have been a profound disappointment to make it without Jim Henson, but I don't know. Right. But, so we're getting back to that point of yeah. if Jim Henson didn't make <coughs> Oh, God, it would be like Pottersville. Right. Um, that's an It's a Wonderful Life reference, not a Harry Potter reference. So that's why I'm saying there's a certain duty to if you have a talent, which it is widely believed that you have, then should it not be your duty to create things? In the same way that you crave Bill Murray creating something now. I mean, I have a couple of irons in the fire. What are those? Well, I'm going to do, I'm going to try to do my George Lucas talk show. Right. I think, that, I think that's still within the walls though. It is still within the walls. What do you think I could possibly do that would be outside of the walls of my own? I can imagine myself accident, like becoming involved in something that goes outside the walls, but I don't know that I have an idea at this point of anything. I have, I had one idea, it was a while ago when we were pitching pilots, there was that process where like uh, UCB was like asking some people to like pitch projects that right. could be done as pilots. And uh, I had a couple different ideas for things. None of them got picked, but the, uh, there was one idea that um, I was talking to Mayel about doing something that was like Lone Cornmeal-like, but a longer form, like a, more like its own TV show. Right. And our idea was to do, I mean, I guess we're deep enough into the podcast I can say an idea and not worry about the fact that I'm revealing something. But well, also it puts it on the record that it's your idea. Yeah. Copyrights it. Yeah. Well, we had this idea. Copyright of, 2013? Uh, December. Of, uh, what is the date? The 29th. Yeah. The idea was a weird talk show that would be set. This is a very like Pee Wee's Playhouse type of idea. Yeah. Um, a talk show that would be set in a uh, little boy's bedroom, and it would be, and the little boy would be played. In our ideal version of it, this was uh, we would get Bobby Moynihan to do this. Right. That he would he would be playing like uh, a ten year, like an eight year old or a six year old or whatever, or a five year old little kid. Yeah. And he's sent to bed at night, and he does a talk show in his uh, bedroom, and it would be a real talk show. Um, but the guests would come in through the window off of like a tree right. branch and the band would be a bunch of uh, little action figures that he had on his desk would be like the, the house band yeah. and his like sidekick would be like a, a dog or, or it would be some, but it, it would be like a very cheap show to make yeah. that would be in a very fun, crazy kid's bedroom. Uh, and it felt like just sort of like a character based talk show that would then also have like short films and he'd show a cartoon and he, you know, yeah. have all those elements. <coughs> and I remember thinking like, but it wouldn't be for kids. It would be for adults. I remember thinking like, Oh, I would watch that show. That, that seems like a fun idea for a show. Yeah. And it would be a show that wouldn't, it also felt like a show that that, that felt like in the same way that like, um, um, uh, Jenny Slate, um, with her, um, what's the character of the, um, uh, um, not the clam, the, the Marcel, the, Marcel the, yeah. Like it feels like the type of thing that like, uh, like the way SNL people, like it felt like, oh, this would be a fun Bobby Moynihan for people who love Bobby Moynihan. Like the way that SNL people start to get like a side yeah. project going like Portlandia or, uh, 
things that are like, oh, he could also do yeah. this, and it would be fun, and I don't know. I feel like that's a commercial idea. That yeah. would be fun. It doesn't have to be commercial, though. What do you mean by outside the walls? I don't know. I, I tend to think that means something that could be bigger than... Maybe it goes hand-in-hand with commercial, but just something that there's an opportunity for the rest of the world to see it. Yeah. I think the presidential thing was pretty close. Right? <coughs> it was close. But like, um, I could see something like that that you ran with that you didn't keep within the walls of... You have to share something like that that could yeah. take up steam and be like a cultural bullet point. Yeah. I don't think it would be the Olympic uh, campaign. No. That feels like uh, even if it turns out that there's a way, and there may not be, to sustain that depending on what the future holds, um, that still feels like no matter how big it got, it would still be a weird little subcultural right. thing. Um, I will say, when you were talking about comedy things that are fake and comedy things that are real, I do feel pretty good about how, for the most part, more often than not, the elements of the presidential campaign and the Olympic thing have tended to be real things rather than staged things. Yes, and I don't, mean, I don't necessarily mean that the differences between always having to be yourself and real and always things having to be fake. My point is that everything has to be Sincere. either... Sincere or in in pursuit <coughs> pursuit of a real message or a real thought or a real idea, and not just a demonstration of uh, dancing ability. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, the I I'm not against fictional things. I love yeah. fictional things. I love the Muppets, which is such a fictional thing, right. but it's in pursuit of genuine, real emotions. Oh yeah, and genuine, real messages. And there's comedy and things along the way, but it all adds into this total goal, right? Yeah. The things that I don't like are things that are just distractions from creating something that actually means something to someone. Yeah. Which is, I think, a lot of improv can be just sort of... Um, shiny. Yeah, sh- uh, a, a shiny uh, demonstration of a skill. Yeah. Like, it, it it sort of reminds me every now and then of, like, like weird, like, Rust Belt vaudeville, like, Fanny and the Whistling Girls. And it's like... Like a bunch of people whistling some weird song. Well, that's, it's like, well, that's interesting, but no one will ever care about this beyond this one drunken night. Yeah. Well, I think, and to a certain extent, I think a lot of that is like, like a year or so ago when Gethard started pulling away from doing improv uh, as much. Right. Uh, after doing it for you know eleven years. Yeah. And do, for most of that eleven years, doing it. All the time. Right. Like it being a thing that like... He had done every week for 11 years. Yeah. And there were some people that were like, how could he stop doing improv? And it never... Even though for me personally, you know, I was sad to not get to do improv with him every week. But I totally got it. And I could could sort of see it coming in the sense that like, I think he got to a point where like when he was on stage... For me, there's a lot of things that are still surprising, right? still fun, but I could easily imagine a decade from now getting to the point where like, someone walks on and they're like, I'm your crazy doctor, that you get to a point where you're like, really, again? I feel like Another? I hit that point like a year into improv. Couldn't imagine it for 11 years. Um, 
the I mean, there's a part of me that feels like um, with a lot of this stuff, it's just like, and this may also be like what I was saying before, where I was like wishing for Bill Murray to do another, right? You know, crazy comedy where he's a renegade, or Steve Martin to do a a, a version of the Jerk that's like an old man version of the Jerk. It may be that he's like, I did all that. Like, I don't. Why do I want to act like a wild and crazy guy? Like, yeah, I'm a I'm a retiree, basically. You know. I think what I just want is I know that I think part of it is I want. I know that Judd Apatow grew up as a huge Steve Martin fan, and I feel like Judd Apatow... I want Judd Apatow to be like, Steve, I will produce any movie you want. I will get it made. What's your movie that you could never get made? And I will help you make it. Right. That's what I want. I love it when stuff like that happens, where it's like somebody empowers somebody else to make their cool thing. Like, that's what's exciting about seeing something like like, Judd Apatow sees Lana Dunham's movie and is like, what do you want to do? I want right. to produce it. I'm going to help you make Girls. Like, without Judd Apatow, does Girls get made? Maybe, but maybe not. And it's like, what a great use of his power. Because he probably loves that show existing, like, even just as a fan beyond being involved in as a producer. Like, I can imagine Judd Apatow being maybe as proud of that show as he is of anything that he's done himself, that he, ma- he helped make that show exist. Right. Um, and similarly, like looking at like Amy Poehler ma- helping make Broad City into a real thing, like that's a really satisfying thing when you see like, if I have any, if I have any fantasies uh, uh, regarding any kind of like achievements or anything, they mostly have to do with repaying debts that I feel I have to people who've helped me out. Like, yes. Like, and, and then also like being able to be in a position where like I could see someone, um, and do something to help them make something happen. Like those, (coughs) those twin fantasies and they both, they're not selfless fantasies. They're both selfish in the sense of like, it would make me feel good. Right. But like earlier this year, there was a thing, um, um, Gethard's um, former roommate was doing a thing in the Magnet Theater that was like a, um, the Mulaney uh, chain where you, one improviser right. asks, like uh, his roommate asked Gethard, um, Gethard asked Alyssa, Alyssa asked me, and then... Um, I asked an improviser that I had seen, uh, Alex Song, right? who I'd seen in a couple like Triple Crown crazy shows that Terry Withers had hosted where he had one, a group she was in. I remember thinking like, who is that? She's really funny. <coughs> and it felt really good to be able to like, she was really like seeing her and Gethard do an improv scene together Yeah, was so amazing because they were like peers. They were like, she was like so good and he was so good with her. Right. And I mean, part of that is like Gethard makes people good in improv scenes because he knows how to support you in a way that you don't even realize you're being set up to do a good move. Um, But um, that felt so good. Like that she had like a fun night and it was like, she expressed like, 
surprise because I didn't know her. We didn't know each other personally. So it was just like if I had been, I don't know what level she's at. She might be in advanced study, but <coughs> I know how it felt for me when Gethard asked me to do like two prof before going on the stepfathers. I remember thinking like, why would you ask me? Like, uh, I like the thought of ever being able to be in a position where I would be able to like get people involved. I mean, that was part of what was fun in the presidential campaign was like just asking people, Hey, you want to be involved in this? Right. And, and, and then they yes, would have yeah. fun doing it. Like when we did like the concert at the, at the beast, that felt really satisfying because I just asked everybody to come out and do a bit. I didn't vet any right. of the bits at all. Is Matt Cohen here? Yeah. Um, JD's going to the door to get Matt. Um, what's happening? JD left the apartment, so I'm going to do a little experiment where I hold JD's mic and I talk into the lav and to the mic at the same time. So right now I'm double mic'd. I don't know if it has any effect at all. Matt Cohen is coming in with JD. And this is, our, this is exciting because this is the first guest that we've ever had on our uh, 12-hour podcast. Yeah. Long-time listeners will know that up to now, it's just been the two of us. Long-time listeners will realize that we have never had a guest bef- aside from Matt Cohen. <coughs> we are now about seven hours Seven in. hours in, about to the 12 hours. I'm hungry. I would have brought SJD to maybe food or something. We'll go no. get food. We're going to go get food oh, okay. uh, later on in Woodside. Yeah. Um, Matt Cohen... Uh, blowing his nose, getting ready for uh, what, for what, what's your shirt say? What's your jersey? Uh, it's a Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers. Did you just get that? I did just get it. Hey, what's the famous coach from the Pittsburgh Steelers? He said Steelers? he did just get it. You want me to say, I did just get it? No, I'm saying question. Who's oh. the famous coach from the Pittsburgh Steelers? Like current, uh, currently, I think it's Mike Tomlin. No. I don't know. His Who's the, like, the legendary coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers? I don't know. He's the guy who's in those Time Warner commercials. I know who you're referring to. I, I, I did yeah. one of those Time Warner commercials, but I have no idea who that guy is. I don't know his I name. just know that everybody knows him, but now you're wearing... You made me feel good because I didn't know who this guy was, mm-hmm. but you're wearing a Steelers zip-up jersey, yeah. and you don't know who he is. No. That's the logo for the Steelers? It's like that bowling alley thing? This thing? Yeah. Yes. It, that's like an old-time bowling alley type logo, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. I think it represents <coughs> something. It I, looks like... I, I feel like each color probably represents something. The red, red the, remembers the, the blood that's been spilled in the steel industry. The blue is because <laughs> it's a blue color industry. And, <laughs> the, and, the, the, yellow, color and the yellow is the cowardly steel mill owners who, won't give the, who are too scared to give the worker an even break. Sure, that sounds about right. What's new, Matt? Uh, not much. I just got back from Pittsburgh. That's where you got that jersey. That is. Fairweather fan. Yeah. Well, not a Fairweather fan. Just a... a Uninformed. An uninformed fan. You got to talk close to that mic. A recent convert. Me? You're doing great. Man, you got to step up. You have to give context to who you are also. Okay. I thought I was... This was sort of a big act break. We had just a pretty in-depth conversation. Yeah. Okay. My name's uh, Matt Cohen. Are you putting a... New equipment on for this? Yeah, JD told me to bring my uh, my microphone. Oh my god! Okay, this is great. Yeah. Um, so I'm getting. Would out. you like a soda? Uh, yeah, that'd be Here, great. Here, uh, what would you like? Lemonade or pear soda? <laughs> Neither of those are what I expected from. Uh, one of them is not a soda, 
and the other is. Do we? Can we get a glass? Maybe. Yeah. The, <laughs> get your glass. Maybe if uh, if this was Family Feud and this was asked like name ten sodas, that would never be on the. This board. is the first prank that we've done in our podcast. Um, did you hear that? No, I didn't. Good. Um, JD is washing the glass for you. Okay. And I'm gonna let you. Lemonade tre- would be great. Thank you. Perfect. Oh, we don't have any more uh, of the. Do we have a second drink for after this? No. All right, I'm going to give you a choice mm-hmm. between. Ru- well, this is Russian Pinocchio lemonade. Okay. Which is a. Is this going to be terrible? <laughs> is this going to taste awful? No, it's going to be Cherno Golovsky. Read the label. Okay. 100% high quality. 100% high quality. Okay, that sounds like a good promise. This one, I don't know what it says. He's holding a key. <laughs> I don't know what. He looks very devious on the label. Am I wrong in reading? I mean, Pinocchio is a liar. Look how long his nose is in that. And pointy. Flavored, highly carbonated, non-alcoholic beverage. Okay. I wouldn't expect this to be alcoholic. Ingredients. Russia, you always have to be clear. Treated artisan water, sugar, acidity regulator, citric acid, lemon citrus infusion, natural flavoring, coloring agent, caramel color, E... One, five, so which one D. do you want? Do you want lemonade or uh, that? I'm going to go we'll with the one sm- that I can actually... Do you want to smell the bouquet of both? Yeah, sure. No, just let him drink it. Okay, lemonade. Great. The fact that I didn't get a full glass means something is a muck. <laughs> Right. It's a little it's weird. terrible. Yeah, it's okay. It's, the worst thing. Yeah, it's, it's okay. like medicine. It tastes like cough syrup. Eh, it's okay. I can't believe you'll drink that and you won't watch more than ten minutes of Game of Thrones. <laughs> the show's yeah, I was it's terrible. It's you haven't watched it. Yeah, it's not for me. I saw two episodes. It's not for me. Oh. Do you want this back? Are you No, I'm laughed. <laughs> um You're you're totally wireless. Yeah. Um, That's great. I bought those sodas at the the Euro Market mm-hmm. in the neighborhood because I went in there. JD had never been in there. <laughs> I like that you have a different kind of microphone to either of these. Yeah, like an old. Three different microphones. I love that. Um, we went in there. I saw these sodas and I was charmed by them. Mm-hmm. Never. Oh, it's okay. Re- it's good. Oh, even the smell bothers me. Yeah, I'm getting a little sick even just knowing that you're drinking it. I'm fine with it. Matt Cohen and I were in. <coughs> Uh, improv 301 together. Right. We were in our first, our first improv practice groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that you and I were probably uh, in in all those early rounds of improv that you and I felt like uh, uh, soul, improv soulmates. Yeah, I, I think we were like married to each other. Yeah, uh, um, so to speak. And uh, the. We don't see each other as much as we used to. It's no. a sad... I was talking earlier... I was talking earlier mm-hmm. with JD about how it's, um, it feels bad when you get into rhythms, and part of it is purely the practical element of the amount of time in the week. Yeah. Because when we were in... Our first improv indie team was a group called Secret Man Group, right. which formed out of a, a 301 improv class at UCB. 
and then we were in a 401 together, and we were we in uh, what other classes after that? I think that was it. That was those are our only I think classes because we just practiced. We all just the practiced time. We all the time. So, kind of so we Seeger Mager would practice every week, and we had a monthly show at under St. Mark's, and we also did lots of indie shows. We would book indie shows. Yes. And is this good, JD? Yeah. Here, wait. Let, let me check get, levels. Let me get all the audio set up. You can keep talking. Okay. And we, um, a, a weird thing happens that I don't think, I think what's weird about it is I don't think we knew it would happen, but it makes sense that it happens because the reason for it is, um, once, even though we were still doing secret man group, uh, and practices whenever I got onto Herald night, yeah. it definitely like it hindered the amount of time that I would have to do... Sh- like, it did feel like... Yes. Um, Anything like that, I think, uh, when there's any sort of, like, career advancement... Yeah. Uh, it creates a little bit of a rift, just uh, in terms of, like, there are new responsibilities and there's... Yeah, like... And then... Um, and then it got to the point where... Um, test, test. I think what really finalized it in terms of schedule time was once you and Peter... Uh, got onto Lloyd Knight. Yeah. Then that meant that you're and you because you were on different teams. Right. So that meant that you two suddenly were on two different schedule. Yeah. Uh, schedules as far as when you were at practice. Yeah, it became kind of a scheduling nightmare. And it really, more than anything, that's what it was. Was that uh, once when we were on no teams and it was just our any team. That Very team was easy. like, yeah. that was like to the hang out and practice, and, and that was shows. everything. And then increasingly, as each of us has gotten onto different teams, your limited amount of time uh, goes toward those things. Like even like we've had a we have one secret man group show coming up, and we had one that we did recently. Yes. that was like a reunion show, and not everyone was able to make it. To that show, and only three or four of us are going to make it. To, is it you, me, and Alex for this next one? Yes, I think so, yeah. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, Alex French, the very funny Alex French. Very funny guy. Um, I'm a big fan of his. I feel like uh, he almost is in the way of like who I work a lot with. Like he, yeah. for a period, was the new you. Yeah. He was, my, he was like the next evolution because I was on multiple teams with multiple classes. Yeah. I definitely have a feeling when I see you and Alex together... I feel like um, uh, Alec Baldwin and It's Complicated. <laughs> and he's your Steve Martin. Uh, and you're the, you're the Meryl Streep. Well, I'm spoiling a major okay. part of the trailer, which is that... Uh, <laughs> a major part of the trailer. Uh, Alec Baldwin is uh, her ex-husband. Mm-hmm. He wants her back, if I'm remembering correctly. I enjoyed that movie quite a bit. I know a lot of people rag on it, but... I think I it's fine. I think Alec Baldwin is a lot of fun in that movie, and it's. I liked him a lot in Blue Jasmine. I thought Blue Jasmine <coughs> was good. Yeah, um, but yeah, when I see you and Alex together, I very much do have a feeling of, oh, that's my uh, ex-wife with her, her new husband. Yeah, in some ways, yeah, it's it can be tricky. I think this community and just this sort of lifestyle. Yeah, uh, you're kind of. I think you have to talk, talk closer to your. You're mind. kind of very close to somebody. Uh, and then you're not. But I remember... Wait, let's do mic check. Mic check. Check, check. Keep going. Good? Keep going. Keep talking. I'm going to keep talking until JD tells me that the 
Test, test, test. See, I'm good. You're not. Does <coughs> um, your mic? Does your mic need phantom power? It does need phantom power. Ah, that might be the problem. What's phantom power? Phantom power is. Uh, well, we can't. More we can't power. hear you explaining it. Yeah, let, let me re-explain it through you explaining it. Yeah. So basically, phantom power is like you get phantom power. You get more power. power. It's like an additional. An additional power source. Wait, so is this a real thing or yeah, a wish? Where's your, where's your secondary mic? Uh, secondary mic. Oh, I think it's still in my pocket. I'm, I'm just going to switch out your mic now. Um, I, uh, you and I never had a falling out, though. No. Why would we? I mean, we wouldn't. No well, personal yeah, just use this mic. Sure. Um, Thank you for bringing You can we, still use your The stick. closest thing that Matt Cohen and I have to a falling out is uh, I constantly bring up the fact that Matt Cohen refuses to watch Matt Cohen watched. Sorry for that unpleasant noise. We were in a Oops, this is too loud. Matt Cohen explained that he sorry for that unpleasant the first ten minutes of the pilot of Game of Thrones, and he turned it off because it was winter in the show, and he doesn't like winter. He's too cold. And I said that was a bullshit excuse. I said that if he would give it a chance, he would grow to. He loves all the other shows that people Good. who Good. like Game right. of Thrones. All the other quality shows. You like Breaking Bad, you like The Sopranos, yeah. you like The Wire. You like all these other shows. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you my problem with it? Yeah. Honestly, I think it's just too like dense and in the way it just I can't devote the mental energy to understand that world. I yeah. feel like it's just too much. See, I think It's very tiring. I, I saw the first two episodes, I've just felt very tired. The problem is uh, I don't I think you're selling yourself short. I think you have a lot of mental energy. Mhm. Uh, in reserve and I f- the thing that frustrates me is I know that if you would get seven episodes into that show you would be like oh I'm so glad I watched this show I think you'd go back and rewatch the episodes that you're bored of now even that's um, seven hours I can't you devote can't think seven of this, hours this way it would be like if if you pitched Breaking Bad to you and I said hey would you like to watch Breaking Bad it's 30 hours long You'd be like, no. Okay, but I will say there is no hour of that show that is completely <laughs> devoid of entertainment. Well. There's no hour of that show, and I've had my problems with that show. There are episodes I don't like. Yeah, I know. There are things I don't like, Ugh. but there's no hour of that show where I was like. Notoriously. No, this. I, I did- hate this. There's no hour of that show that I was like, I totally hate this 100%. There's- in the way that I hated the first two episodes of Game of Thrones. In that they, I didn't actively hate them. They just were very boring, and I couldn't. At all. Whereas with Breaking Bad, even at its lowest point, I was like, okay, okay, I'm on board. Yeah. Uh, it does frustrate me so much because I know you'd love it later on. And you wouldn't feel like you wasted the time. I can't, though. The fact that your first excuse to me was that it was too snowy kills me. Because I know deep was... down you're just making up reasons. No, it was too snowy. There's no such... What do you mean? It's too, it, too snowy is not a valid... I wasn't in a snow mood at the time. The show. What are you, a princess? Yeah, that's 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 a pretty weak. Uh, it's weak, fine. It could weak be argument. Weak. I don't care if it's a weak argument. I actually, I'm not judging the show based on the decision to have a snowy landscapes. I mean, it's just the, I didn't want snow. At the I mean, time. for I will say this: if that was a legit reason, then and it's not. But if it was, then you'd be on solid grounds, and that it is a show where they're constantly saying the winter is coming. <laughs> so if too snowy and I don't like winter 
would be a reason to stop watching the show. That would be the show to stop watching because everyone keeps saying winter is coming. I can imagine if you hate winter, the last thing you want is a show that is constantly predicting that winter is about to happen. Do they just predict winters? Does winter ever come? Well, winters, when they come in, in Westeros, they, it's not just a season. It's like can be years of hard living. Like mm-hmm. it's, not a, it's not a quarterly, yearly cycle or whatever. Okay. So like, well, it's more like an Ice Age is coming. Would you watch the Ice Age movies? Have you ever watched one of the Ice Age movies? Yeah, they were, eh. But you watched them all the way through. <laughs> How many Ice Age movies? You're talking one Ice Age movie. How many Ice Age movies have you seen? One. So 90 minutes. Did you see Disney's Frozen? I did not. Did you see, well, what are some other notable ice movies? Uh, cool Runnings. The Ice Storm? No, I did not see Did you that. see Disney's Snow Day? I, it just missed my radar. Or Nickelodeon Snow Day? I did Day? see Snow Day. Okay, so I guess I'm not understanding why you saw that. I was a kid. I don't know why I saw it either. So back then you liked Winter. <laughs> I, I, I don't hate Winter. Have you ever seen Out Cold I, starring just, Zach Galifianakis? I feel like this is a Frost-Nixon uh, session Did you ever now. see The Ice Harvest? More like Frosty Nixon. Burn on you. Frosty the Snowman, okay, Winter. I thought there was a callback maybe to an Snow? earlier hour, but no, it was pretty There funny. might be. There might be a huge O callback. Okay. Well, no, I don't know. I, I just, look, I'm allowed to not like what I don't like. And yeah. I didn't like, I, I look, the too snowy thing was just a mood I was in. I didn't want to see snow at that time. I accept your apology. Uh, I The two episodes of Game of Thrones I watched, I did not like. I will concede. And I felt like I have... I don't want to go further. No. I'll concede that you, of course, have every right to not like what you don't like. I would say, I'm going to take a hard line on this and say, you don't have the right to not like what you would like if you just watch it. Just watch a little more. What I hate is that in order to get back up to speed, you probably have to rewatch the two hours that you already watched. I forget. Which is hard to deal with because here's what's sad is if you were to watch the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you would probably at some point go back and rewatch those first episodes and get new uh, things out of them. Because a lot of the things that are overly complicated are not important for you to... Like, when you're watching Game of Thrones, there's a lot that you can let wash by you as long as you're getting like, oh, that guy's angry, this guy's not. And <coughs> some of it is detail that you'll, you might only appreciate later. Sure. Now, now that I'm in this mode with you right now, mm-hmm. where I'm kind of being a little bit aggressive in a fun way with you, <laughs> yeah, it does occur to me, I'm getting a sense memory recall of a couple of times where I've sort of taken on a role of taking you to task for things. Yeah, I think you are a task taker. Do you think I am generally? Well, also... I think you feel no- comfortable enough... With me to it's, do it. I feel like online, I'll let you get your point, sure. sorry. I think uh, like on your Tumblr, not a ticket, you're, you're someone who is like, I want to educate people on things that I like and oh, think shit. are good. No, I don't think that's bad. Yeah. I think it's great. But I think uh, that can, uh, form that that can take is taking me to task on stuff. Because you know, I'm not going to take it personally. I'll sit, I'll listen, I enjoy these debates. Uh, I like defending my side as much as you like trying to convince me otherwise. Well, there's two things I'm thinking of in particular. I'm wondering if you'll, if you'll recall or think of the same two mm-hmm. things. Do you have anything that you think of in particular? Well, I want to mention that since the question is, are you a taskmaster? 
A taskmaster. Task taker. A task task taker. Matt and I, one of our earliest forms of interaction Mm -hmm. (coughs) would be me taking you to point on things that I disagreed with you about. Yes. To a, a degree that drove you insane. Yeah. To the point that we began performing on stage an act where the audience would bring up a topic and our our points of views would be so opposite and that I would get so frustrated a bit that it would make you frustrate. I would be able to make you frustrated in an instant. You know how to push my buttons. Right. So is it that we are both people that like taking people to task or are you a person that is task takeable? I am definitely task takeable. Absolutely. That you have dumb opinions that the world needs to crush. Well, now you're just you're just fishing. You just you just baited a hook and you're just throwing it into my ocean. I wish I'd had video of the half second where you said you have dumb opinions. Before the smile crept onto your face, there was a half second of slight woundedness. Like there's like your body, your face took a moment to just be like, I know we're gonna enjoy this in a second, but just let me feel it first. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say it's a little bit. I think uh, I'm, I'm somebody who could, uh, you can get a rise of, but I think both of you are people who like getting a rise out of people you can get a rise out of. I, yeah. think, I think you're a person, though, that you take pleasure in simplifying your point of view to the lowest common denominator, and oftentimes um, it, it slices off points of your view that, for, for instance, you saying that you don't want to watch Game of Thrones because you don't like the winter. You don't want to watch... A, it's like... That's not the reason you don't want to watch Game of Thrones. Right. It's just a convenient uh, lowest common denominator of your point of view. Yeah. I'd say that's accurate. And then it makes people like us who are driven insane by uh, people disagreeing with us. It it makes us insane. immediately yeah. have to, it'd be, it'd be like, uh, have to figure to, out the logic of it. If I were to say, like, I don't want to listen to Elvis Costello because I don't like glasses... Like, I don't like... Yeah, that would bother me because you wear glasses. Yeah. Well, yeah, you could have a field day with that. I know. I just say you're self-hating. <laughs> you don't want to listen to yourself. Uh, that's why you never make albums. Here, can I run something by you, Connor, that yeah. has been uh, a frequent and current um, disagreement between Matt and I? Yeah. Something that really bothers oh, I me. I love it. Something that bothers me that he doesn't see my side of it on. Okay. And that is... I make you no promises. I might agree with Cohen on this. Yeah, you might, but it'll be worthwhile. Uh, I'll get more mad if you do, but that's okay. So, a thing that I think is dumb, that is pointless to me, is in competitive swimming... Oh, God. Don't oh, God, this. I'm already checked out. (laughs) In competitive swimming, the fastest way to swim the water is underwater yeah but it is banned to swim underwater the entire length of the pool you have to go above water and swim the stroke that is that race Uh uh-huh so number one yeah already we don't have the records that are truly represent the fastest human can move through water Uh and number two the idea of strokes and swimming is so inane and stupid and nonsensical that I can't believe we still have them to this day in our modern competition. That would be like having a silly walk competition where it's like you can run from this distance, distance, but you have to do it by lifting your legs up in this ridiculous fashion. Like the butterfly is not the most efficient way to move through the water. The butterfly will never be a way that people will swim to do anything. And so why is it a thing that we're using to test human 
endurance between. All right, and what's your point of this, Matt? Well, here's my counterpoint to that. You're basically saying, look, uh, uh, a like a bike is not the fastest mode of ground transportation, right? We should just get in a car. So I guess the Tour de France should just be everybody driving that. <laughs> I do think that. I do think the Tour de France should, should be everybody driving. We won't respect it. It should say, we don't respect it. We definitely don't encourage it. But if you want to get in your car and drive the Tour de France, you may. <laughs> His point is that... that, that wait. Because that, like that, is, life- that is how the Tour de France works. You can get in a car and drive. You will not be rewarded for the bike race, though. No, what but- does that mean? <laughs> You would be disqualified. If you, right, right. My, my, so, you, I mean, it could also be yeah, like... In your point, they'd be like, no, that's the true record of how fast someone... <laughs> that would be like... No, no, that's not, that, that's not That it. would be like saying that you you could kill everyone else in the Tour de France. And that, yes. is, that is how it works. Yes, you that's exactly prison, what I said. No, 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 no. You could go to prison <laughs> and would not be awarded the, the, the victor. I no. said this exact no, no, same no, thing. No, 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 no. Because the idea of the Tour de France is who can ride a bike the fastest in the world? The I idea agree. of swimming is who can swim the fastest in the world. Yeah. The idea of a running race, no, who that's can run not, the fastest. Okay, wrong. But that's tr- not the idea of swimming. I could be, wrong, not- about, I could be wrong about this, but Craig, the Tour de France specifically is you have to ride a French bike, though, right? No. It's the fastest French bike. I have no idea. What? No. The bikes are all, it's because it's, it's run, it's organized by the French biking industry, and it's that's specifically, not true. it's about promoting the, the fastest French bike. Maybe back in like, 1802. I, mean, I don't know. I don't know nothing about the Tour de France, but I assume no. that's what it is. That's not what it is. You're no. wrong. It's not who can swim the fastest. It's we have these parameters. Well, who can do? Who can swim the what fastest? But the parameters, parameters are nonsensical parameters. They're not nonsensical. <laughs> yes. Any parameters. Swim like this. Swim with both hands. Dribble a ball like this. Shoot it like this. That's that's no. made up. It's I will all say made this. up. I will say this. I think JD is correct. What I would do Thank is you. I would say that I didn't know that about competitive swimming. But that there were different strokes? That you had to do strokes and you had to stay above you water. Really you couldn't just that? swim underwater? I didn't know that. I didn't even know that it was fastest going all underwater the whole time. I don't I, think that's true. I it is true. I'll show you videos of it. And they, they don't allow those because They should it's allow not... that. Do they not allow that because of television? Because they want to see those strokes? No. no, there's a rule that says at this certain line you have to be above water and doing your stroke. Because okay. Because think, otherwise, the butterfly, the freestyle, the backstroke would all be dominated people that never broke the top of the water and did those dumb, nonsensical strokes. I think so that, how are they dumb or nonsensical? I think because you would never use them outside of the bounds. Of you being, would never ride a bike outside of what? Are you bounds. kidding me, Matt? Are you kidding me? Um, have you never? Okay, have you competed in the Olympics? No. Have you ridden a bike? Yes. Okay. Thank you. I'll have you the, swam? Yes. Okay, great. There we go. I do think what? That's what, exactly what I'm saying. No, what do you mean? Have you were you just underwater the whole time? <laughs> <laughs> no. I was swimming free yeah. That was the fastest, most efficient way for me to do it. I was not like, oh, oh Connor, my friend over there. Butterfly, butterfly. Like trudging through the water. Build your upper I body did, I didn't know that well, I'll go to a gym then. I didn't know those were rules about swimming. I do think they should just rename it. Competitive swimming should be no holds barred, fastest swimmer. That's what I think. Competitive stroke swimming should be like should be a thing that children it like do. No, it should be like no one says that synchronized swimming is the fastest way of swimming. No right. one says like if you're the best synchronized right. swimmer, it should be like diving. You're the fastest swimmer. Nobody's saying the people in uh, like doing the butterfly are the overall fastest swimmer. Just you won the like a hundred meter butterfly. It's like the people that get Guinness Book of World Records for like there's a lot of underwater Amazon rainforest. 
uh, like mountain bike that. wheelies in so a Mike, river. So Michael Phelps has medals in a lot of different races. Oh, but imagine how many more medals he'd have if he was really fast. Than well, honestly, that's a big problem in the Olympics right now is that Michael Phelps has so many medals, but if they had a race that was uh, the 200-meter lift your legs higher, Usain Bolt would have as many, if not more, medals than Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps is the most decorated Olympian. But that's because... They made up 10 versions of his same sport and are like, well, now do it like, oh, you won again. Now do it like this. Oh, you won also, again. But he's also having, as a, as a former winner, he's also having to swim with all those medals, which slows him down, which makes it more impressive that he's still continuing to win. Sure. Yeah, that's definitely more impressive. Right, we say, all agree on that. Hussein yeah. Bolt doesn't have to wear as many medals when he swims. No, he doesn't. Can I change the topic of conversation? Sure. So I saw. What were you going to say? You saw something. I saw two movies. Okay. Uh, I hope one of them was Wolf I, of Wall Street. I hope it was one of them. Because this is a Wolf of Wall Street podcast. Great. I would like to. Uh, what are your opinions? Let's on? talk about the second. Uh, the second was first. American Hustle. I saw. I saw that too. I didn't see that. Okay. And I'm going to see that. Okay. Well, so let's I'd rather talk not about... talk about spoiler territory for that. Well, I won't um, go to spoiler. I will say cover, I liked. Cover your ears, JD. I don't want to. Cover your ears. Oh. I don't know what you're saying. No. No. Bradley Cooper, Robert De Niro. No, I don't know it. They were in a movie together, so this was like kind of a reunion. Oh, okay. Anyway, that's a little surprise, right? Oh, that's nice. When he showed up? Yeah. That's fun. Back. Back in. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I liked both of them. I think I liked Wolf of Wall Street more than yeah. American Hustle. Where did, you saw, where did you see Wolf of Wall Street? Saw it in Pittsburgh. I both saw. I both. I saw both of them in Pittsburgh. How much? You, you said how much was the ticket in Pittsburgh? Five twenty-five. Oh. Oh. This was a matinee show. Hey, you as can't well. complain too much about our ticket. It was eight bucks. Eight bucks. We saw it. That's pretty good. We saw it this morning Sunday at nine thirty a.m. Ooh. Sunday morning movies. New York City. Right. So I also on. like how we were planning to do a podcast of 12 hours and we decided to tack on three more hours of spending time together watching a movie before that. Yeah, I think that's great. I, I liked Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it yeah. So I think I. maybe the more I'm thinking about it, I'm wondering if I... I loved it. No, if I didn't like it as much because I, well, I went out there really liking it. Then I think more I'm like, yeah, I guess maybe it was a little long or... But I liked it all yeah. the way through. So I, I, I'm, I'm having a debate with myself. I want to hear your thoughts on um, Wolf of Wall Street. Well, longtime listeners will rehash some of our opinions here. Yeah, but you'll hear some of Matt's reactions. Uh, JD and I both liked it. We were both talking about how it is closer to the kind of movie that we consider like, oh, this is like a pure Scorsese Absolutely. kind yes. of movie. I did not like Hugo. Not a huge, not a huge fan of Hugo. No, you're not a big Hugo fan. Not a Hugo. That's what they call Hugo fans. Hugos. Hugos. Not a Hugo. Um, and and there's Hugolines, which are female Hugo fans. I was saying it felt like the energy of it felt like the most purely Scorsese movie since Bringing Out the Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, there are moments in things like Gangs of New York. There are things, elements of uh, The Departed, but overall, as far as just a sustained energy. This felt like, and, and I said it feels like, without being too condescending about it, that Scorsese at 71 could make a movie that feels this kind of like, if this was a first-time film from a new filmmaker, from like a 22-year-old filmmaker, you'd be like, wow. Yeah. Exciting. It was pretty cool. It had some balls to it. Yeah. It and was, it was like, it, it felt like Scorsese auteurdom, right? Yeah. It felt like he was making decisions as a director, which... 
be it true or not, but it felt like a Scorsese told story. I thought Jonah Hill uh, was really, really great. Normally, yeah. I'm not the biggest fan of his. I thought he was phenomenal. Yeah. Yes. I, th- I really thought I he was really great. One of really my... funny. Really, truly funny. Yeah. I think one of my favorite scenes in cinema, we already talked about this, was the scene where uh, DiCaprio is trying to get to his car. That and then funny, the yeah. fight scene that happens after that. Yeah. Just because it's such a... Without the context of the whole movie leading up to it, it's just meaningless, bizarre comedy scene but with the movie it's just like intense justified strange moment that yeah. could only exist in this movie at that time yeah i thought it was i love that i really like that a lot yeah i did not like this is one small thing yeah when uh, they're on the yacht for the first time they play foo fighters everlong for like a couple seconds yeah there were a couple weird weird music choices choice. why one because that's such i think a uh just a jump, I think, from Scorsese's normal music choice. And because the Foo Fighters, in my opinion, are maybe the most average band that's ever existed. But don't you think, I felt like some of the weird music choices, there are choices that are like, here's Scorsese playing a song that he thinks is fun for this sequence. Mm-hmm. And I feel like there's sometimes when it's like, we're in the world of this character, and this would be a song that would be like, this is his yacht, they're playing Foo Fighters. Okay. That it's of the era that that is what um, this guy's yacht would have. Sure. I mean, but that would not have come out at that time. Really? It, Don't to, think so. To, Foo no. Fighters Everlong was, I think, 98, 99, maybe 97. I mean, this movie goes up to that point. Mid-90s. Because really? his trial's like 94, 95, really? I think. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Because he was there for seven years, and it was like late 80s. Because I Wikipedia the guy, yeah, Jordan Bel- Belf- Belford. Belford. The, th- mm. the thing that the only reason why it struck me wrong is it felt maybe like Scorsese trying to implement new, yes. newer music, but that he his concept of newer music was actually like a little dated. Dated, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. I'll tell you about a Scorsese moment because I would say probably one of my least favorite Scorsese movies of recent vintage, like. Hugo, I said earlier, Hugo felt like an okay movie that could have been made, like not bad, but I felt like it could have been made by a lot of different filmmakers. I thought it was very boring. Like I feel like a lot of competent filmmakers could have made that movie and it would have been equally fine. Yeah. A movie that really did disappoint me that it even existed was Shutter Island. I have no interest in seeing that. I heard it was terrible. Um, It wasn't like the worst movie. It was skillfully made, has good actors in it. What was troubling to me about it was that anyone thought that it should have been made mm-hmm. and that Scorsese thought this movie needs to exist. It was actually like there are worse movies that have a more compelling reason to exist. Right. Yeah. The I'm going to spoil it if it's okay. Yeah. Please. Um, I'm going to get some water. I mean, yeah, basically, Shutter Island, it has a big twist in it, but it exists at a point in modern movie history when... If Shutter Island had been made in 1950, it would be a revolutionary, groundbreaking... It would be a movie that everyone would be like, oh my God, this movie. But in the 2000s, to make that movie feels like a... um, It feels like it's made... It's like a gesture of someone who hasn't been paying full attention to what's been going on in movies. Like It feels like Scorsese in the 1970s 
never would have made a movie that was so uh, uh, redundant. Right. Because it has a big twist that it's like, oh, he comes to investigate this insane asylum on an island. Is he the crazy one? Yes. Oh, that's... Oh, boy. So... But here's here's the worst part. This is the part that, and I understand it. I'm willing, I'm also have an explanation for it. It's just a thing that makes me a little sad, and also points in up to my anxieties that I was talking about about like, as you get older, you get to a point where you're just not as with it, you know. Right. Um, that <coughs> the reason why, um, the reason why um, Dica- DiCaprio went crazy and kills his wife. Mm-hmm. The reason he kills his wife is because his wife was crazy, and his wife drowned their two young children. And um, there's a sequence where you learn this, and then there's a sequence where they flash back and show you it. Which, that's first of all, that's really bad because you have a scene where you're realizing it, and you right. don't need to then see a flashback of it. Yeah. Right. And it's already a pretty long movie. But there's a part where you see DiCaprio like rushing out into the water to where he f- discovers his dead children, and it's this horrific, horrible discovery, and he's holding the kids, and then the the camera the it cuts to a god camera point of view, looking down on DiCaprio, and he looks up and he goes, "No!" Oh and That's rough. what it tells me is in that moment I I thought okay, bare minimum. Martin Scorsese has never seen The Simpsons. Mm-hmm. Like, right? You probably can't watch a dozen episodes of The Simpsons without having some sort of Mendoza, or yeah. it's a, a little dry, or you know, some you know that is a joke that's been that is a trope that has been ruined by comedy. Mm-hmm. You can't legitimately pull that move anymore, legit. Yeah, I was just watching. I also saw Olympus Has Fallen on uh-huh. Netflix, which is a really fun, really bad. Like uh-huh. a schlocky action movie, and there is a spare scene early on where uh, like a car goes over a bridge. Yeah, and the president is like, "No!" Yeah, and I was just like, "You can't." Yeah, this movie was made in 2012. Or- Comedy does have a tendency to uh, take once certain kind of once effective dramatic moves have been parodied enough, the parody becomes it takes ownership of it. Like and you, like you can no longer like have a scene start by someone walking into a new area and going disappointed. <laughs> you guys ever seen that? What's that? From uh, Hercules, the show Hercules. Uh-huh. There's clearly a scene where they accidentally included in the script a uh, stage direction. Yeah. So he just is walking around. And he goes disappointed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And yeah. like it's, I don't think it ever made it to an episode, but it's like that clip is isolated online, and like uh-huh. it's just such a, yeah, bizarre. Out of, and like Kevin Sorbo trying his best to make it somehow contextualized, to make it work. Yeah, like things that existed before Hercules, like any of the Tennessee Williams plays where that happens. Yeah, you accept it. Like when when uh, Marlon Brando in Streetcar when he walks over to the corner and says, "Disappointed." Um, that yeah, works. That works great. But so I'm watching that, and I'm th- and Shutter Island, and when he does that. No move. I'm like, oh, okay, this is just showing that Scorsese, and of course, why would he? He is a busy man. He is an older man. This is a guy who doesn't. He's not obligated to watch 500 episodes of The Simpsons. He doesn't have time to watch The Simpsons. No. You know, uh, when I'm in my 60s, 
I don't want to be expected to watch whatever cartoon show right. is popular if I don't want to, if I'm busy doing something else. Um, but I was happy with Wolf of Wall Street that it didn't feel like there were too many moves like that where Wolf of Wall Street felt like a movie by a guy who's not like the Foo Fighters move probably is a move where he's like, oh, what are, what are what's a new band? To now? Yeah. You know, like I, I have a realization that I probably have a handful of, you know, more current music references, but there's bands that I think of as new bands that are not new bands, but they're new in my right. nearly 40 years of living. They're like, well, like I think of the killers as a new band, eh. right? But that's not a new band. No, um, that would be like someone in like 1990 thinking of Huey Lewis and the News as a new band. You know, <laughs> want a new drug? Uh, or like in the mid 90s, be like, yeah. you know what new bands I like? Huey Lewis and the News. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, oh, I loved. I forget the actor's name. But Coach Taylor. Yeah. yeah, thought Kyle he was Chandler. phenomenal. Honestly, I think if you were to like, what's your favorite scene in the movie when he goes to his yacht? Yeah, okay. I thought that was. Wonderful. I was almost scared for a second because my least favorite scene in the movie was with him. What scene? Subway. Oh, you didn't like him riding the subway? No, I really like that. I thought it totally undercut what I found to be the moral thrust of the film. I wanna, I wanna hear more about this because I, I like that. I thought that was an interesting moment of. Uh, like, oh, like, as I felt like the bad guys win was like a thing. It's like we, I thought I was really glad they had that moral of like, yeah, you could just do whatever you want and you're rich, you can get away with it. And this thing of like, oh, I did the right thing. I'm still here. And just this moment on his face, you don't know what he's thinking, if he's maybe regretting it or just, uh, but I, I thought it was sweet. I thought it played too hard into that he, because it, it cuts from him looking at the sentence and then him looking around mm-hmm. the subway car, and they shot it so it looked like the subway car was sort of like a prison. And so it was like this thing where it was like, oh, he did. He had all these good times and lived this crazy life, and he only gets three years and a tiny bit of his money taken away. But here I am, again still on my own, again on my own in this subway on my own prison. Yeah, and the I, only see, I didn't, I didn't see his. I didn't read it as he was like. Upset, but just like a thought of like, yeah, I am still riding the subway, but I like I didn't see it as a good or bad thing. This is like it's almost like, yeah, this is what we'd expect. I wish I did read it as him being like, there being a possibility that he was comforted by the fact that he was still on the subway. Yeah, to me, it read very clearly that he was like, oh, I'm here, um, or like a tinge of regret or doubt I, that I did I don't not think I like. expressed an opinion about it earlier, did I? No. I, the more I think about it, I agree with your reading of it, but I like it. Huh. Um, because I think what it is is it would be like um, uh, in Silence of the Lambs, the way like Hannibal Lecter will say things to uh, Agent Starling, and then she later, we're seeing through her eyes like things that Hannibal Lecter has called her on, and she's like noticing, uh, like he'll say something about like. Um, her boss fantasizes yeah. about you. And then later on, we see the way she interacts with him, that she's thinking, like, Hannibal is in her head. Right. And I feel like it's a moment like that where he's like, he's looking at the subway, and maybe it didn't bother him before, but now he's thinking about, okay, that guy was right. He's in his head a little bit. Yeah, I like that reading of it. Yeah. 
that okay, you know what? I actually now I've now I've come around on that scene because now the way I'm reading it is not that it was like he's still a free man, that, but it's a little bit of like well, more that okay, so that that actually makes more sense too now, and it gives mm-hmm. context to it because now how I read it is that so DiCaprio's whole Belford's his whole thing was I'm always going to keep fighting. I'm never going to stop. I'm I'm not going to let them tell me no, right? And so yeah. this whole thing is any way that I can fight the system <coughs> at all, I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. And the system being this regular society, him yeah. being the real villain. But then I like the idea that um, now my reading of it is that the, the real damage that a guy like Belford, DiCaprio's character, does is it puts those doubts in the head of regular people. Yeah. They make that. They is make my life, question. Is my life good do, enough? Because I'm not like him, right? Do I need that excess? Yeah. When we know as an audience, the answer is probably no. But the danger of a guy like Belfer is that it puts those doubts in people's heads in yeah. a way that they never had before. Yes. So now I like that scene again. Yeah. Like, okay. like I think, um, I think that, you know, the point of view of the movie. A lot of it's told from the point of view of the character, but the movie's own opinion of this guy is that he's a monster. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another example of like, that's a minor piece of damage that he did in the movie. Yeah. Was the movie would be like, no, you want to be the child, the Kyle Chandler guy. You want to be that good, decent guy who actually accomplished something. Yeah. Yeah. But it did cost him a little something. Like that's what right. it cost that character is. Tangling with that rich asshole made him feel a little bit less good about his own life in a way that he shouldn't. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um, I I, we were talking before. I loved Matthew McConaughey. I thought he was great. Yeah. Um, I thought I really loved that scene. I think uh, that's my the people I saw it with didn't uh, care for it as much. Yeah. Uh, but I really liked it. I thought I thought he was great. I've been liking him a lot recently. We've been talking about uh, earlier made the... He can be an underrated, underrated actor. I think now he's getting to the point where he everyone's appreciating him because yeah. between this and like... Was Ma- he great in Eastbound and Down too? Didn't he do it? Oh, yeah. He was great on that. Was great, yeah. He was great in Magic Mike. I didn't see that. Great in Game of Thrones. Great in Mud. Um... He's not in Game of Thrones. That's a prank I just played on Matt Cohen. What, Game of Thrones? Yeah, he's not in Game of Thrones. Okay. But he could be. You would never know. I would have said I didn't know that, but sure. Um, the I was saying earlier that as we were talking about how in the 90s, Matthew McConaughey kind of became a punchline because mm-hmm. he did a lot of movies that were kind of ordinary and where he was kind of like a, a dull straight man in a lot of movies. And but you read about him then partying, getting arrested naked, playing the bongos, and our analysis. Did that happen? Yeah, that was one of the. Oh no, maybe was that, was that Woody Harrelson? I don't know. One of them. One of them. They're both on an HBO show next year, anyway. Yeah, yeah but he was great. I love. I love that scene. Um, I, I normally don't like Leonardo DiCaprio that much. Mm-hmm. I thought he was really. good. I thought he was phenomenal. In this. Yeah, I thought he was really, really good. Well, you know, the funny thing is, early DiCaprio yeah. movies. I really liked everybody. Early DiCaprio Thomas Middleditch movies. was good. Thomas Middleditch was good. Yeah, I thought it was interesting to me. I was like that scene. I was like, oh, you know what? That's the scene where it was like you were arguing the length. Like that's a cuttable scene because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we're getting no new information. Yeah. Here and my, I think my not problem with that scene because it's fine on its yeah. like own right. But you don't 
almost know the rules of that world a little bit. Like he right. comes in, like Joan Hill's mad because he's wearing a bow tie, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like that's never established as sort of like not, like you don't do that. Yeah. Like uh, there's like, oh, not on today. Like I think we needed maybe a little more of like, okay, this is a big, this is IPO day. This is big. Everybody like straighten up, fly right, like mm-hmm. run up your suit or whatever, like to kind of yeah lead into that. Uh-huh. And also because he's just some throwaway guy, it almost just like, yeah, whatever. Like, it wasn't like, I wish it was like a, maybe a character that we were invested more to. Like, see, like, this is... We were wondering if, if, if Ben Ramaka maybe had lines that were cut because he's credited by name in the credits, but he doesn't actually have any lines. Even though I, I'm almost positive he did. Have a line? I'm pretty sure someone said that he had a line in the movie. That was cut? Yeah. Oh, I don't know. If, yeah. Must yeah. Have. We were watching for it. And yeah. he's very prominent in all those scenes. Like, he's yeah. right, yeah, he's right, right up center. Right, yeah. But um, I, I heard, I think somebody told me, and this is all like secondhand, I think somebody said that, like, oh, yeah, he had a line or two in the movie. Well, maybe there'll be a four hour version on DVD. Oh, hopefully. Um, the unrated. Crazy how edition. many New York, we're saying how many, how many New York comedy people were in it. Yeah. Mm. He's always, Scorsese's always been really good about, um, like, when you think about. Scorsese's been really good about casting comedy people in non-comedy parts. Mm-hmm. Think about Don Rickles in Casino. Um, think yeah. about um, like uh, oh, Sandra. Don Rickles is great in Casino. Yeah. Um, Albert Brooks in Taxi Driver. Like he's always drawn in when he's casting things. Uh, Sasha Baron Cohen and Hugo. And Hugo. That's true. Yeah. Um, the um, um, Larry the Cable Guy in Kundun. I was going to say mm-hmm. Rowan Atkinson in uh, uh, Age of Innocence. Right. That would actually have livened that movie up a little if there had been a little Mr. Bean type uh, physical comedy in the Age of Innocence. Mm-hmm. Um, the <coughs> but I have you, have you guys seen the movie After Hours? No. No, I missed it. Hmm. I highly recommend that be the next uh, Scorsese movie you watch. What's that about? It's Griffin Dunn, and it's a comedy. Mm -hmm. He made it either before or after Last Temptation of Christ. It's one of those, like, um, early 80s Scorsese movies where he was, like, just trying to get stuff done. Like, it it was like, um, um, let me look and see. Uh, But it's a New York... It was like a, you know, it, in some ways it's like, um, it would be a great companion if you did a double bill, like a Scorsese, like you should Taxi Driver and After Hours. Like it'd mm-hmm. be a great, like you could pair it with one of his dramas and be, it's got a lot of comedy people in it. Um, really good cast. Um, Griffin Dunn plays a guy who, um, he meets, uh, I think it's uh, Roseanne Arquette. And she, like, flirts with him and says, like, why don't you come down to my, like, downtown Soho loft? Um, And it's basically about a guy who gets trapped in lower Manhattan after dark. And he takes a taxi ride from midtown or uptown to downtown. And when he... The taxi is driving so erratically that the $20 bill or whatever that he has blows out. It drops out of his hand and blows out the window. And that's the money he has. Right. And 
the rest of the movie is just a complete comedy of errors, of things going wrong, and heightening in terms of like the danger he's in. Because it's presenting New York City as like the New York of the 80s and the 70s, the dangerous New York. Mm -hmm. It's actually, it's quite anachronistic. Like, Like watching it now, it's very much a period piece because now, especially if you, for those of us who like live in New York, the idea that you would get stuck in Soho and wouldn't be able to get uptown, like when I first moved to New York and got my sense of the layout of it, I was just like, oh, it's like a 20 minute walk. Like you could be out of this area and fine relatively quickly. Whereas the movie does make it look like you're just, he's trapped in hell. Um, I'm going to get his list of films and see when this, but it's really good. Catherine O'Hara's in it. Terry Garr. um, Cheech and Chong are in it. Um, Hell yeah. Who else is in it? Can you do your top three Scorsese movies? Yeah, probably pretty easily. I mean, they're probably not that original, but I would probably say... I mean, the first ones that pop into my head would be Taxi Driver, King of Comedy, Goodfellas. Maybe Swap. I, I would go back and forth between Raging Bull and Goodfellas, probably. Yeah, I would do... Top three is hard for him. It's hard. It's very hard. I would... Top far, four is much easier. I would do... Uh... Goodfellas, King of Comedy, Casino, honestly. Raging, I would, uh, and Taxi Driver would be my number four. I would do, are these ordered lists that you're doing? Yeah, no, I, I wasn't doing But you can do unordered but... if you want. Mine's unordered. My top three would be Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Casino, Goodfellas, and four. Uh, I love Casino. I do always feel like Casino to me... Casino to me is like... Um, I just like the depiction of Vegas. I do too. I, I like all the, the lights and color. Vegas. You know, Casino to me feels... And I just think the sets are so beautiful and grand. They really are. In the same way that this movie, uh, Wolf of Wall Street, shows excess, Casino shows excess in the same way that's like, I can't take my eyes off it. Yeah. I mean, Which is sort of like the whole point of the movie, too, is like you get sucked in and you get stuck. Yeah. Because of the pretty lights. I mean, I would say like the sequence that shows you how the money travels through the casino. Yes. The casino is one of my favorite all-time sequences in any Scorsese movie. I mean, I do always consider that the sequel to Goodfellas. I know it's not, yes. but I always think like Basically, that's Goodfellas it's, it's too. A spiritual sequel. Yes. Um, it's, the, it's a sort of sequel. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, sort of sequel has some characters from the original. That's the this is forty knocked up definition, right? I don't know. They call that a sort of sequel. It's a spiritual sequel. I think you're right. Um, but where characters come back to life, though? <laughs> yeah, characters that died. Did a character that died in Knocked Up come back in? In uh, anyone died in Knocked Up? No, I'm just saying. In oh, right. Goodfellas and Casino. Unless but. you say that maybe Harold Ramis, as Seth Rogen's dad, died. Like, he was just an old guy and died. <laughs> yeah. But he didn't come he back to life. He was old, so he's probably of, dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's hard to pick. I, I'd have to have Taxi Driver. I'd have to have King of Comedy. And then the third slot is interchangeable. Because I would also... Taxi Driver is so good, too. Honestly, though... Uh, I picked those top three, but if you put me on a desert island, if, if they were a desert island top three, I would be tempted to swap out Cape Fear for one of them. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah, Desert and you got to go with what's most watchable to you. Like it's kind of like yeah, I'd be more if you gave me Raging Bull and Cape Fear, I'd say Raging Bull is better. On a, like I would say it's like fun. But Cape Fear I would rather watch. Yeah. Like Raging Bull I get that. I'm is that. stark in a way that's like if 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 you were going to put me in a room and say like I'm going to put one of these movies on a loop and you just got to watch it forever. I'd be like put Cape Fear in it's bolder and brighter and the music's thrilling. Yeah. And and Raging Bull I feel like would make me sad after five rewatches yeah. of it. I would put Goodfellas, Goodfellas on, on a loop. I think I could do that. It's a shame that I can't. It's a shame that yeah. he has so many great movies that I can't put After Hours anywhere near my top four. But it's it, just one it, of the greats. But it isn't. After Hours is kind of in a class by itself when mean I look Streets at his movies. Is very fun too. Yeah, like Mean Streets. Mean Streets is good, but I don't know how many times I'd ever watch that again. I don't know if yeah. I'll ever watch Mean Streets I don't think again. I'll ever watch it again, but I had fun. With um, but I know I'll watch After Hours again. Mm-hmm. Well, basically, he did uh, also New York, New York, very underrated Scorsese movie. Did you ever see that? No, it's his musical. I have not seen New York, New York. But the musical numbers are all mostly. Um, there's one big when you watch it now. There's the happy endings ending, which is like a giant old fashioned. Musical number, it looks like something out of like an American in Paris or Singing in the Rain. Mm-hmm. It's great. And it's just like, this got cut, or I think it, it either got cut or restored. It went, let me look up the history of it. But anyway, the chronology of it was Taxi Driver, New York, New York, Raging Bull, King of Comedy, After Hours, The Color of Money, Last Temptation of Christ, Goodfellas. That's like, that's where After Hours fit in mm-hmm. with everything. And After Hours, look who else is in that. Um, but. New York, New York is a very grim film. Um, I think Scorsese almost died while making New York, New York. He was like doing a lot of drugs. It's a very stark film. Um, I hate when movies kill people. What do you mean? When the making of a movie. That's the thing that happens. All the directors. uh, Okay, I thought for a second you meant like. Not fatalities on set, no. I mean like. The stress of a movie being the thing that puts someone over the edge. Yeah. Because like they always said that it's, about... You're making a work of art. It shouldn't be... They said that about Sidney Lumet with Before the Devil Knows Your Dead. It was a great film, but that that was the thing that sort of put him over. They said that about... We're talking, remember with the uh, Muppets in Disney World? Yeah. And how that killed Jim Henson? Yeah. Um, like there's so many things like that where it's like just like, ugh, the stress of this, I just can't. Okay. When when New York, New York was originally released, it was 155 minutes. It didn't do well at the box office, so United Artists cut the film down to 136 minutes. It was then re-released in 1981 with the deleted scenes, including the big long... The right. reason, when you see it, it would be, it's one of those things like the ending of The Abyss, where it's like, right. they cut this? This is the reason the movie exists. Yeah. Um, and the happy ending's big musical number... The f- final running time was 163 minutes of the final, so like, it got screwed with right. considerably. Um, but it also probably saved his life because then I think Raging Bull was like uh, yeah. De Niro saying, "Like you need to make another movie to right. get back in it." What's another example of a movie? The making of a movie that was so stressful that it ruined somebody. Um. Magnificent Ambersons probably, right? A little bit? Yeah. Like that. 
Oh. Orson Welles never really recovered from the disappointment. Like, he never again made, like, a... Right. This is not that. But I was recently watching Chris Farley's last TV appearance. Uh-huh. And he What's was, that? He's on Jay Leno. Mm-hmm. And he's just, like, going crazy. And it's clear that he's on tons of coke. And in the middle of the interview, his nose starts bleeding. Oh, wow. That's and it's, like, really tough to watch. Like, I had to stop watching it because he's, like, going full force doing his thing. And he's, like, as his, like, blood is, like, coming out from his nose. And just, like, oh, this guy was, like... Did they comment on it? No, because it's, like, small enough that, like, you see it. And he, like, sucks it back up. But, like, you can still see the mark there. And it's, like... It was never commented on, but it's you can clearly really see grim. it. And it's very tough to watch. You're just like, oh, this guy was, like, on the edge at that point. Like, there, yeah. like it wasn't a coincidence. It was like he was barreling towards a wall. Oh. There's no way that he was not going to get out of that alive. Um, also, I'm very hungry right now. Are you hungry? I guess so. You don't have to be. Um, Are you hungry? Uh, no, but I could be in a little bit. Okay. Why were you thinking of getting? I don't know. I have no. Pl- I have no plans. I've been doing a podcast all day. I've yeah. No- how are you? Well, let me ask the logistics. How are you going to get food while recording? Well, we had food already. Mm-hmm. We started have? this out leaving the AMC twenty five. It was raining outside, which foiled our, our original plan. Was I think we were going to walk down to Wall Street? Yeah. From Times Square. Yeah. That was. We have a portable. Quarter. Okay. Yeah. And well, I have a lab, so I'm hooked in. Yeah, your work. Um, so it'd have to go one mic, but we could easily share that. A, yeah. And use Connor's lab as a. Yeah. Or you could order food. You could also order food. Why don't you order food since you're the hungriest? Are you not hungry, though? I would order a smoothie if you were ordering from someplace that had a smoothie. Really just a smoothie? Why don't you why don't you pick what food you want, yeah, what do you want? and then you kind of can say Sure, sure, sure. Like this is the place I'm interested, in. what would you guys want yeah. from here? Okay, I'll do that. Yeah. I'm gonna get on that seamless. Alright. Um, swap. Yeah, you can see it with you. Alright. Right now Matt and J D are swapping mics. No. Just no, swapping, swapping seats. seats. It'll probably be better with that length of your cable there too. Yeah, I got a shorter cable. Um But we uh, some, we that, some, that's my movie recommendation. Of the day is After Hours by Martin Scorsese. I this really it. has been a uh, Wolf of Wall Street podcast. It really has. We we keep touching back on it. Yeah, yeah. I'd see. Look, uh, look. I don't think American Hustle was as good uh, as Wolf of Wall Street. I don't, I don't know either. What you think you saw it? Um, I liked it, but I wouldn't go to bat for it. Like it, it. I thought it was unsure of the kind of movie it wanted to be. I thought tonally it was a little all over the map. Uh, this will not, uh, JD. I won't spoil anything for you. I think okay. it wasn't sure if it wanted to be more of like a drama or more of kind of like a sillier comedy. I liked a lot of details in it. You know, like I, I did liked well. a lot of performance details. I thought, honestly, I thought Bradley Cooper was great. I thought Amy Adams was great. I thought, well, Christian Bale was great. I thought everyone was great. Yeah, um, Louis C.K. is great. Yeah. Although, you know, it's funny. At first, I was like, oh, this is distracting. But then, uh, he was fine. I thought his character was fun. I thought the character was really fun. I thought, at first, I was like, no, this is distracting. But then where it kind of went, I was like, yeah, that's really great. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, with with David or Russell movies, it's weird because I think Three Kings is probably one of my favorite movies of the past couple of decades. Oh, wait. Can we talk about... 
Three Kings. Spike Jones being in the Wolf of Wall Street. Oh yeah, fun. I thought he was really good, but it was so strange. It was weird. Yeah, I was like taken out of it for a second. I was like, weird. He was really good in that part, though. Yeah, he's very. I mean, he's a good actor. I think you know he just gets asked to. Well, I brought that up because of Three Kings. Yeah. Well, and I know uh, I read recently that in an article that was talking about him doing the uh, cameo in Wolf of Wall Street, he said that like when David O. Russell cast him in Three Kings, the studio was very much against him being in it. Oh, really? They did not. They were not happy with him being in it because they were like, "Why? He's not an actor. Why don't I get an actor?" You know? Right. They could have gotten a third or fourth name actor in there. But Spike Jones is one of the most fun things about Three Kings. Yes, I agree. Um, and everybody who watches that movie loves his character. You know? uh, yes, 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 yes. It's also great in that movie that at mm-hmm. that point, like Spike Jones being a lesser known face compared, you have Clooney and Wahlberg and uh, Ice Cube in that movie. And they're all people that movie going audiences recognize as like movie stars. And right. Uh, uh, Spike Jones, I think, is in some ways more relatable as this kind of innocent goofball character because you don't have the any baggage of like oh other movies that I've seen him in. Right, I agree. I agree. I, th- I always, th- I like movies where they cast relative unknowns. Yeah. I like get into that. Yeah, yeah, I like that too. I really like that's why I liked Wolf of Wall Street. Like all, all the kind of cronies, I thought they were yeah yeah all really great. And also, thing this sounds so silly, but like it's like those felt like real people. You know yeah, what I mean they were kind of goofy yeah. looking dudes, memorable looking. Yeah, memorable looking. It really, it was nice. It was just, they were and they were all great. I thought they they were all great. Yeah, but um, but Three Kings, I feel like is like there's not a lot of movies like that where it's a a fun comedy caper, but it also manages to like say a lot of serious things that were, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, quite prescient. Like, I feel like the second... You've never seen Three Kings? No. Well, I mean, like, this is a movie that's about the first Gulf War. Right. I mean, I know a little bit about it. I feel like a lot of movies pass me by. Yeah. I'm going to order from Crave, by the way. What's Crave? I don't know Crave. Oh, wait, that's a chocolate... Uh, cereal that Kellogg's puts out that has chocolate in it. Yeah, they've got a like a distribution place over here, so you can just order on cereal. cereal. Yeah, but you have to bit them in boxes of a hundred. But I'm just gonna get that. What's Crave serve? Lots. Okay, what do we got on the menu? I'll have an allergy disclosure. Great. Can you get some Cravens? We're just looking at the menu right now. On, okay. uh, yeah, we're all just quietly looking at this menu. I think I need you to scroll um, back up again. I need you to scroll further down and see okay. where, those, where those smoothies are. I don't, there's a smoothie. Oh, I'm sure there is. Every place has smoothies now. Really? No, they don't. Um... I mean, we can we can walk out no, no. to the world. No, that's order. There's also a burger place if you want burgers. Crave has burgers, right? But there's a there's another if you want a burger. There's a better, probably a better burger place. That, uh, but this just that? has more options, so yeah. that's why I chose this. Mm. I don't really need anything. Really? Not really. I'm okay too. Really? Yeah. yeah that's okay. that. 
soda. Okay. I think it ruined my insides. Um, I'll just order me some gravy for 50 cents. <laughs> um, no, do they have juice? Can I get a juice? Yeah, I'm sure of it. Yeah. I'm more thirsty than, than hungry. Snapple. There's a lemon zinger. I don't know what that is. I'm not experimenting anymore with lemon. <laughs> yeah, we, we burnt out on the lemon zinger. Um, you know, there's also uh, Sanford's. Now, I want to order from where you want to order from. I'll well, a, I, I, I'll eat from any of these I'll places. have a baked potato. Sanford's has uh, only water. And I'll have a, a bottle of water and a, and a... Or do you have good tap water? Yeah. I'll have some tap water, and I'm going to have a, a baked potato. A baked potato? Okay, yeah. I can get that. Um, I saw that down there below. And then there's also this place also, mm. which is good. What's an ice cream burger? Uh, I don't know. Let's see. It doesn't tell describe. You. Two people like it. Ooh. Uh, that makes it sound like it's weird when you say like, two other people like this. You just picture two weirdos, right? Yeah. When you click a food item on Seamless. Pick weirdos. I like this. I like it too. I don't know who likes. I don't know. Who I've never used likes? Seamless, honestly. You've for never myself. seen you used it for others, just altruistic. Like in a group where people were like, oh, we're ordering. I'd be like, yeah, sure. But I, I think getting food delivered to you, I would never do that on my own. I'd always go pick it up. Yeah, I usually do. But then I've, with work stuff, I've started just being like, yeah, bring it to my door. Are you back in the Crave menu? Or no, this, this is Sanford's, which is like a mm. nicer yeah. diner. Yeah, place. they have lobster ravioli and hanger steaks, sweet potato mash, and a... They also have like burgers and quesadillas yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I think you might like three Wait, things. It's warm looking. The movie is completely non-snowy. Yeah, it's it's in a desert, right? Um, no, but it's one of those movies that, even though it's, it was I think it came out in '99, and even though it's about the first Gulf War, um, it actually has gained a certain, like, more resonance with the past decade, with the second Gulf War and Afghanistan and everything. I feel like the, uh, a lot of the things that the movie's trying to say are kind of, like, actually hold up a lot better. Huh. They've been made more meaningful rather than rendered That's as interesting. curious, you know, of the, the way some movies become, like, a period piece because everything changes and it just becomes like, oh, that's what this was like yeah, then. Yeah, this becomes more relevant. Yeah, the ways. way Three, Three Kings speaks about, like, America's involvement in the middle east and how it affects people yeah um but it's like genuinely a really funny movie and really exciting and fun here while also being uh uh, at times very like serious and disturbing but it's you know what it is is like a lot of the stuff is based on like real stuff over there and it just it's like one of the like the way that like even though like apocalypse now is like a weirdo version of vietnam Mm -hmm. um this is like a weirdo version of um, the Gulf War, the Iraq War, but a lot of the stuff that's weird about it is actual stuff like when they're going into like these palaces that have like giant murals of Saddam that are really mm-hmm. strange. Like those are like based on actual weird things as opposed yeah. to like the fever dream kind of weirdness of Apocalypse Now. Do you want stuff on your baked potato? What's on it? Uh, I just want the one with butter, I think. Okay. And then do you want sour cream? No. Okay. Definitely not. Jeez. Do you want something like that? No, thank you. 
Okay. It's exciting. It's, uh, I mean, it's very exciting. How much is a baked potato? It's like $3. All right. That's a bargain. Yeah. Um, I'm going to call on that $2 favor now, JD. Gotcha. It's on me, brother. Earlier today, uh, I bought a bottle of water for JD, and he tried to hand me the money. I said, no, I'm going to call on the favor later. And here we are. Wow. Eight hours later, and I'm true to my word. Uh, I don't want to get too meta on your <clears throat> podcast, but okay. I'm getting very antsy, I feel like. Why? I don't know. You're getting antsy? I'm getting antsy. Like, just holding up a microphone. Hey, man, I've been doing this for eight hours No, now. I know. I'm, uh, I'm commenting on the fact that you guys are still running this Well, marathon. I've been on a lav the whole time. Yeah. And I'm not about to offer it to you because I love... No, no, no. I, I'm not... This is... Please. I'm not trying to take you've been here. Place. You've been here a short while, Thunder. and I'm sympathetic, but not to a point where I'm willing to help you. No. I'm just You're, saying... I'm, I was holding this while we ate in the diner. Yeah, that's Everyone sounds, was looking at you, too. They, I, it was. True. Um, no one was looking at me because they can't see this lab. I'm just, I just look like a normal person. Mm-hmm. The JD looks like Kermit the Frog on Sesame Street. I wonder who will listen to all of this. I don't know. Uh, I don't know, and I don't. Uh, you know, uh, if you listen, if you've listened this far, um, go to the Twitter, which is um, uh, one two H R J D Connor. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you want to make that now? Yeah, you go ahead and make it. Um, and maybe like tweet them something? Yeah, hashtag... No, we're stealing that from talking TCGS. No, that's just a normal thing. Is it? Yeah. What, a hashtag? A hashtag. When you, just to indicate that you listen to it. Uh-huh. Uh, hashtag Antsy Matt. A-N-T-S-Y-M-A-T-T. Because this was the point where Matt Cohen got a little antsy. Yeah. So this would be somebody who would be listening to it for about eight hours? Or fortuitously skipped ahead in their file and, <laughs> and landed at the hashtag point of proof. Um, can you recall the two of the incidents that are in my mind, I was saying this earlier, oh. where I've taken you, not taking you to task, but where I've been like, Matt. No, you, please prompt me. The most recent one, I know you'll remember, which was that Breaking Bad ended. Right. And you did a post... About you did take me to task. I did. On that. I took you to task for that because you did a long post about how you didn't like the final minute. You didn't like the last shot of Breaking Bad. Yeah. I don't know what our password be. Oh, uh, <laughs> you shouldn't say it on the podcast. <laughs> well, just mouth it to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, I didn't like the, the end of Breaking Bad. Overall, I think that was, to me, indicative of the final season declining in quality and kind of being a show more about pleasing the majority of people rather than continuing along with what I wanted the show to be. One of the things that I've always enjoyed about you mm-hmm. is that when you have a certain kind of opinion and you're not doing it for effect, but there's certain no. kinds of opinions that you, the way you vocalize them, and it's not intentional... But you vocalize them in a way, even the way like your head, you sort of lost the ability to hold your head up as you said that opinion. <laughs> that you, when you say a certain kind of opinion, you vocalize it as if you are like becoming a more pompous version of yourself. <laughs> That's probably where, where true. Where you like, you were like, uh, I felt the final shot. Uh, 
crowd betrayed a certain quality that was indicative, I think, of the crowd-pleasing quality of the overall. Yeah, I'm aware I, I couldn't be that you way. You develop a, a new cadence to your voice. Sure. That when you're saying something that you don't feel like you're going out on a limb on or that you don't feel like you're going to be that you don't feel like you're going to be not a, a lightning run. rod this is uh <laughs> sometimes these opinions i have i know they're home runs other um, times this is this is like a, a bunt this is i'm, I'm laying down that you a, know that you're going to draw fire for it so yeah. you, you automatically like slightly I'm surrender with, i'm, I'm a bunting on two strikes with this yeah one. um because i love the final season i had nothing but enjoyment for it yeah um, i i liked I felt like no, that's not true. I I think the first three seasons, I think, mm-hmm. are really really good. Yeah. The fourth season, I think, it starts showing signs of decline. It has some really great moments. Mm-hmm. I think some of my favorite moments on the series are in the fourth season. But I think overall, it becomes too <coughs> actiony, too like pulpy. Although it was always a little pulpy. I think someone said something on something about mm-hmm. about it being becoming that it, it is in some ways kind of like a comic book type story in the sense that um, you're seeing like the creation not of a superhero but of like a supervillain right. or something like and that. And I have no problem with people with like realism or whatever. Like uh, realism is important for anything, but realism within what the show sets up and the show I think stayed. At least originally, it was like, okay, these are the rules of this thing. And then I, I think I it kind of got away from it. I think if the only criticism I really have of it is I think there's one thing that kind of I think is uh, in the pilot episode that I don't like, that I don't think holds up very well and you're rewatching the whole thing, mm-hmm. is his reaction to um, when he thinks the police are coming and he makes that video and he's. He thinks he's going to have to like shoot it out with the cops. Like he's standing waiting for the cops to show up and he's pointing the gun. Yeah. That that kind of it feels like a a kind of hyped up desperation for the pilot that Yeah, that's a moment. That's like a hook. That it feels like it doesn't make sense with his character the way he is the rest of the show. Yeah. That it feels like an unearned moment of desperation. Like, well, we should have this, but I don't think that character's reaction to the cops are going to arrest me. Even yeah. in his panic, I don't think he's a character who would react by standing in an empty road with the gun pointed. It feels like it's like a good establishing shot before the yeah, cold open. It, I, I, absolutely. But I think that what we later it. learn about Walt, it's kind of like how in The Wire, the one flaw that I think exists in The Wire that I feel like is in a objectively, like, this is a mistake when you're mm-hmm. looking at it as a work that was made up as they went along, is the way that Presbyluski's character is in the early episodes does not, is not consistent. Not really jive, yeah. I don't, I believe they, they changed everything about him to the point where the, those early ones where he's, like, hitting a kid and saying, like, fuck off, shitbird. Like, he has a different dialect, yeah, he has a different everything. I think they just reimagine that character on the fly, and when you see him at the beginning, you're like, "Oh, they haven't figured it out yet." Yeah. It's like a blooper. It's like a continuity error. Yeah, I'm okay with that. I think The Sopranos had that a little bit. Uh, the Sopranos, of course, had it. With uh, I'm thinking of Vito, the big fat guy. Later on, uh, he's a closeted homosexual mm-hmm. uh, and he loses a bunch of weight. That's but- not the thing I'm talking about, and you know it. 
Oh, are you talking about character reimagining? No, I'm talking about the thing that keeps I'm not talking the, about flaws. I'm the, talking about a character reimagining. Yeah, that's true. But the thing that, of course, we have never committed to, to recording, the thing that makes The Sopranos disqualified questionable for CGI being work. the greatest show of all time. It, it is one of the great shows of all time. But the CGI of Nancy Marchand scene, you can't have that in a thing and still be number one. It is an automatic silver medal. It's an automatic... No, it's not automatic. It's an automatic bump to the number two slot. It's very, very, very bad. It's as bad as anything I've ever seen in a great show. I can't think of anything worse than that in an, uh, in an otherwise great show. Because I don't think the flaw I'm pointing out in The Wire is nearly as bad no. as that. No, you're I right. I can rationalize that one in a way that I can't rationalize the CGI Nancy Marchand. This was a poor... Yeah, I don't know. Um, People are getting overly excited about uh, our tweets, and there's too many favorites and Facebook likes of our two posts. Oh, yeah. Earlier today, JD tweeted, and then I tweeted that we were going to work on a big project today, and people <laughs> there's buzz developing about the 12-hour podcast, which I think is a good thing. It only speaks toward how well this podcast well, is going to uh, do. Well, let me speak frankly to that. I think that's because JD, whenever... JD has a good way of being vague, but like interesting. Like yeah. you are like Connor and I are working on a project. People are like, "Whoa, what is this going to be?" I feel like I'm going to let them down though with this one. Oh, you're absolutely going to let them down. <laughs> but we always knew that. Yeah, that's sort of the point of this. I mean, the it's I actually a giant letdown. I well, actually, no, the idea is that so many people complain that the that the world now is um, overhyped, bite sized. Oh, right. Um, you know. Internet meme, like, you know, convoluted small-time stuff where we're taking everything and chopping off the beginnings and ends of it to make it uh, swallowable in small doses. So it's like, you know what? Fine, we're going to make a podcast done. That is the antithesis of that. I would almost We're going to use the internet to create a deep, long, endless hole of content. I would say that with podcast, people's main complaint is they're too long. Yes, and I think that's also wrong. I think that's also wrong like the fact. I like the fact that you recently said on another podcast... Wait, you think that their complaints are wrong? Yeah. Yes, I think podcasts should be longer. I think podcasts are a long-form medium. Anyone that's making a podcast that's under 45 minutes, I think, is doing it incorrectly. I I disagree with that. Not everything has to be. I think your podcast is incorrect. How is it incorrect? It should be longer. No, he actually spoke highly uh, of... uh, uh, your podcast on one of the podcasts when he listed good podcasts he likes. I did. Oh, well, thank He's, you. He mentioned Life Scrapers and he mentioned it. Um, he also mentioned its length, but you didn't point it out as like too short. But I, I would, lo- I would love it to be longer. I'll yeah. make it a positive. Um, it would make me happy if it were a longer. Look, I would love not, to. But it's not prohibitively short. Like you're yes. still on the. No, no, it's still it's, it's still a long form podcast. Yes, I don't. Anything that's like I hate the five minute, ten minute. That's not a podcast. Nope. I would a never listen of... thing five, ten minutes. To no. me, for my show, not I worth think, the clicks. I think a it needs 20, to be at least a half an hour. Twenty to thirty is the right length for each okay. of these because it's almost like that's like a bit or a thing, and it's like sure more than forty. I mean, each is a zombie. It's more than forty is almost like this is. It's hard to sustain. I do. I don't think JD and I are finding it hard to sustain longer than forty minutes. No. Um, I think we're doing fine. We've no, been sustaining. Podcast? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I mean, for my show. Oh, yeah. My screw. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I thought you were just saying in general podcasts. No, podcast, please. No. To sustain. You can do a podcast. Because we are. You're at. Uh, I think a, eight and a, half a show that like, is uh, interesting and engaging and stays on a topic, or this is more of a like 
recording a day in the life of. So this is less of a... Yeah. Do you know the name of our podcast? 12-hour podcast? 12-hour day. 12-hour day. With J.D. and Connor. Yeah. Okay. Um, I do... Uh, you can follow us at 12HRJDConnor. Um, for updates and... Can I be your first and only guest? You are our first guest. You're one of the 10 people we've followed on Twitter per the requirement of Twitter. Oh, you have to follow 10 people to be on Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know that. I better start following people. Um, the, I didn't know we were following anybody yet. Um, we're, we're following. I, I did chose... Did you tell people to... Did, but I said I wanted to be the only guest. Not ever. Just, yeah. You could if you wanted. You could. But I have a feeling we're after... It's, that's going to be a hard promise to keep. Because after we launch this podcast, we're probably going to be just like shooing Inundated. people away. Yeah. Every day, it feels like. The people um, we're following are me, you, Matt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Jonah <laughs> Hill, NASA, Barack Obama, the UK Prime Minister, Michael Bromberg, and Hugo Chavez. I want you to follow more people that are related to the things we've talked about in this podcast. That's all that they are. When did we talk about Bloomberg? Uh, I included Bloomberg and the street safety being oh, mugged. Oh, that's true. That's right. Uh, wait, Connor, what's the third thing that you took me to task on? I'll tell you that in a second, but I first want to say... Um, Oh, 12 hour a day, follow me on Twitter. Um, the, uh, uh, See, also, I want this podcast like, to get. Well, go ahead. I like that you, even though you thought of this idea before you said these things on the podcast about it being a long form improv, but I love the fact that you've just been on another podcast saying that podcasts are a long form medium and you put your money where your mouth is and you're proving it. I yes. like that too. That, yes, because like you know, Connor, you, you can attest that I have, been, I have had this idea for. A long. long time. Yeah. Not as long as this podcast. No. Quite long. I've had... I've. It's been months, right? Yeah, it has been months. That I've been telling you that we're going to do this podcast. Yeah. Are you checking the levels? Yeah, I'm just checking How are we levels. doing? How are I we think we're levels? doing okay. I think we're good. I can, I'm looking based on if you see there, it's going... We're, yeah. I think I'm a little... Actually, mm. no, I'm okay. Yeah. I'm all right. I have to tie up a couple of loose thought ends real quick. Okay. One is that uh, so Matt Matt did this post saying he didn't like the final minute of Breaking Bad, and I said oh, I yeah. responded by saying, Matt, you love Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad is a show that has given you all of this joy and pleasure, and why don't and the internet is a cesspool of negativity, and which you're not wrong. I'm not wrong, but I was like, why don't you do a a post about I said it was clickbait. I, I called it clickbait, I yeah. think. And I said, I would rather see you do a post about... Because you loved the penultimate shot. You thought it should have ended one shot early. Yes. And I thought that is what you should have written is... You can still include your criticisms of the last shot. And I think that's more than fair. And I think that's... You want to be notorious. And this ties into the other time that I called you out on something. With, which I remember feeling almost bad about it. Mm-hmm. Because... You were, I think, slightly wounded by it, or you certainly like you were like concerned when I said it. But I remember, do you remember me telling you at one point that jokes that you made on Twitter, yes, were too mean, really mean, yeah, and that upset me. Does it still upset that, you to think uh, about it? Yeah, because I don't want to be mean, and you're not mean. Well, that's why I told you. I, that you know what? Because, I'll say this. Yeah, I think sometimes you have an edge online that you don't have in person. That's I think what that's, I said. I think that's very. That true. sometimes your things that you say online are a little more cynical. A little more cruel sometimes than the Matt Cohen that I know. I think so, and I don't know. You know what it is, partly, and this is what I was saying to you, is I wasn't saying, like, change your style or whatever. No, no. But it was like, it's partly that 
you will make jokes like that in person and it conveys your, your personality was get, gets lost when you go to a dark place right. on Twitter jokes. Right. That if you do, you've done dark stuff in improv scenes with me, but you have such a, a warmth and a charisma on stage that everybody gets it that you're going to a dark place, but you're a warm and lovely person. Thank you. And when you do, Twitter is sometimes, and, and Facebook. That gets and, lost because it's just text. Well, also, here's the thing, too. Yeah. Is that, and this ties into what we're talking about, our, both of our relationship to you. Yeah. Is that sometimes you will make statements that are very hard-edged statements, but then immediately someone can call you on them. It can be a joking back and forth, and you'll often be like, all right, I can see that I do not... I did not mean what you were implying I meant. One of the things I love to do is just say <laughs> extremely bold statements and then recant immediately. Right. Yeah. But online, you'll say those bold statements, and neither can people be like, what, Matt? No. And get, yeah. And neither yeah. can you be like, no, listen, what I, what I mean is. Right. Yeah. So instead of just this bold statement that people are like, oof. <laughs> That's pretty aggressive. Was there a, what's the thing that I said that maybe recently came off as too aggressive? Uh, well, here's the thing that I, we can talk about too. Yeah. Uh, and this is, I I'm think, bad that, at remembering this Twitter is a, jokes. A, a a broad genre of stuff. Is that recently I've come into a thing? In fact, today I felt slightly uncomfortable from time to time. Is that I've sort of decided to remove myself from like commenting publicly online about things like movies and TV shows right. as to whether they're good or not. Because now I feel like we're reaching a point where chances are I know someone that's worked on that. Right. Or right. I'm making stuff that is going through the same process and I see how difficult it is and how things can get altered. Yeah. And so I don't like criticizing pop culture things online unless there's things that I will say to the face of those people. That's always been my standard. And like I was a little worried. That was what I was worried about today too because I've felt generally like um, I'm much more comfortable. I think most of what we've been saying today. Like um, me saying how much I didn't like Hugo makes me uncomfortable saying that on this podcast. Yeah. Because obviously Hugo is a great cinematic, like like the, the craft of like filmmaking. If, if that I, is a high, if I made Hugo, or if I, I would made, be, if yeah. I made Hugo, you'd be like, my friend Connor made Hugo. It's pretty awesome. Right. I would be proud of myself uh, for making Hugo. Yeah, but in the context okay. of pop culture, mm-hmm. I feel like, oh, I don't like it for these reasons. But because of that, uh, it, it caused me to tear down a thing that clearly took so much effort and work. And things, there are elements of that film that I both am not able to do myself and that I aspire to do and respect. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, here's my counterpoint to that. Like, I saw Hugo. I didn't like it. I wasn't entertained by it. I didn't think it was a good sure. movie. I didn't think it was interesting. We're editing could, this out of the podcast. <laughs> could I do Hugo? No. Is Scorsese, is everyone involved good at what they do? Sure. I believe it. Did it? this thing not work? I think we can all agree it didn't really work 100%. Sure. Right? Like, we said yeah. you didn't really yes. like it. Yeah. Connor, I think, didn't really like it. I liked it, it fine. Okay. Uh, uh, sure, but uh, there are better Scorsese movies in your mind. Oh uh, yeah, there are better movies. It didn't. Uh, whatever. We. Uh, but the point is, it didn't. It wasn't like amazing. Yeah. I think no one will say like the greatest movie of all time. You'll say it was like you liked it fine. Yeah. Uh, so, but it wouldn't be a movie that I would be hankering to see again. It yeah. wouldn't be a movie that if you were like, should I see this? I'd be like, no, see after hours. You'll like it more. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's fair to 
like like where you don't want to go is like a personal attack. Like I'm not yes. ripping the guy or being like you suck at making movies. That's clearly not yes. true. It's just this thing that you made didn't work. Everyone who's an artist makes stuff that doesn't work, and that's fine. I think as long as you keep it not personal, uh, you can kind of tone down the venom and, and criticize things in a legitimate way. Where it's just like, look, this thing you made, it didn't work. The skill level of people involved, it may exceed my level. But for most things, that's absolutely true for me personally and for most people. But this thing you made wasn't very good. And that's okay. It's fine. I think it's a disservice when we don't draw attention to that. When we don't, when we just kind of, I think I'm worried about a culture where there's a lot of everybody being like, this is great. This is amazing. This is amazing. Where it's like, no. This really wasn't. Let's be. I'm, but I, I, I'm. I'm not saying you have to say something's good. I'm. Right. I'm saying the thing that I hate. You're is avoiding. I don't like. Number one, I don't like the polarization of uh, cultural criticism, mm-hmm. where something's the worst or the best of all I time. I hate that too. I hate that things are that broken down into small. <laughs> it's the worst. No. I hate that things are broken down into small, bite-sized, like lists and mm-hmm. th- I, I i hate that concept of it it's the worst and i hate and then i also hate the idea that um as the ability to create has become so proliferated by uh technology like the internet all sorts of stuff everyone is somewhere on the spectrum of artist and audience member everyone right? is a content creator but then because of that, the line has been drawn between people who are a part of the creative community and are um, criticizing it from a constructive way from within as a part of that voice and people who are on the outside <coughs> throwing rocks at it as, as, as an uh, unimpressed or unhappy viewer and thus polarizing their opinion. Yeah. Like I, I, hate, I, hate, I hate seeing like filmmakers when they're like, I mean, I, I might have been guilty of it earlier today. Is filmmakers and they're like, Hugo is the fu- like worst movie. I hated Hugo. Like, it's like, well, no. Like, you make movies, and the movie you made probably might not have been as good as Hugo, or technically not as pulled together as Hugo was. So, like, let's talk about the things we didn't like about Hugo. I, I'm willing to talk about the, the things that I don't like about stuff. And I think mm-hmm. I, I also hate, though, the, I think positive whitewashing of good vibes, good feelings. I hate, I despise that. Um, well, here's the thing. Like, I'm not wor- Like, I'm, I'm not worried. Just because human nature is so terrible, uh, I'm not. We're never in any Do danger. Really think so? I think there's I think people are pretty good deep down. Uh, most people are are great, but we're in no danger of running out of negativity. Sure. Right. Because even great people complain all the time about things. Even it's I'm complaining so much fun. about it. Yeah. So even my even my criticism of it is part mm-hmm. of the problem in a way, but I don't think we're in any danger of being in a culture where it's like people just don't say when they don't like something. Right. Like the the imbalance is that you know like if you uh, if you want to buy a TV set and you go online to look to see what's a good TV set, all you'll find is reviews saying don't buy this TV set. Yes. Every TV set ever made has like don't buy it, mine broke. If you buy a TV set and it works, you don't then go out and say like, hey, I bought this TV set. I've been using it to watch shows. Five stars for this TV set. (laughs) Because that positivity feels like a waste of time. Whereas if your TV set breaks, and maybe you're the only guy who that model of the TV set broke. But you're going to be like, damn it, I'm going to make sure the world knows this is bad. You know what it is? It's the the hard drive phenomenon. If you look at the reviews of any hard drive, they are – because I think the hard drive – an external hard drive is the quintessential – 
version of that. Yeah. Where you will never give it a positive review to a hard drive because it is just doing a u- utility job, right? Yeah. But if it breaks, it is so heartbreaking that you want to shout it from the mountains. And right. also, hard drives are they either last they break in the first six months or they last like two to three years. Right. Yeah. And so, so basically, if you look online. Yeah. Every online review is like zero stars. It broke on me. Yeah. And then you look at it and you're like, I'm never going to buy an external hard drive. And all I see is that they explode. Yeah. Like that's all I see. When it's like really like of the like two million sold, these 20 are the ones that broke. But the yeah. two million that it worked, none of them are going to write a positive review because none of them care. But I th- when I think of the, like the opinions that I've expressed about movies, I'm very careful about this because I do. I'm a Seagate man. I do feel like I've had some problems. Are you serious? With yeah, I like Seagate. G Drive is the most reliable. I think. Where's my G Drive? Look at all those G Drives up yeah, there. G Drive's good. I think I have ten in my apartment. Yeah, um, hidden in various areas. Uh, to give to give a couple of examples, there was a, um, for instance, like when we're talking, like think the most negative I've been about any cultural thing in this podcast so far was talking about Shutter Island. Right. Um, I didn't like it. I do think it's technically well made, but I don't think there's a reason for that movie to have been made in the era in which it was made. Right. I think it, it, it's a story that, like, all its tricks have been... I mean, you guessed it without me even telling you anything but the premise yeah. of the movie. And, but I wouldn't feel... I, I mean, I'd feel, if that was... If Martin Scorsese says he was in the other room listening and that was the only thing he heard, I'd probably feel shitty about that. Right. But... Right, but we're talking about one, one thing. If you're like, well, one let's thing. talk about Shutter Island. I'm going to discount everything else he's done. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about, oh, look, I didn't see it. But like you would say, it's like, yeah. look, it wasn't good. But if we were talking about like Raging Bull yeah. or Taxi Driver or any other of his great movies, we would talk about how great they are. And I only offered that within the context of a conversation which we were raving about yeah. what are our top four look, Scorsese best movies. hitters, uh, the greatest baseball hitters of all time, they miss... Uh, more than half the time. I think the That's thing. Fine. I think the thing that is different for film, yeah, is that it's the one art form that has. I think it probably has the most amount of work that goes into a single artifact of output in all of media. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and art. surely with the most like people working on it. I most, think. most people on oh. most money most. I was, I was more negative, actually, about the most recent Die Hard movie, but that was within a very constructive conversation about... I would feel very comfortable having that conversation with anybody involved in that movie. Right. Because I was saying... Like, I heard that was so bad. Well, what I was saying was that <laughs> that, that movie sucked. could have been made infinitely better if they had given... Uh, what would you say would be a fair, reasonable, realistic check for this kind of job? Uh, budget, you mean? Yeah, budget-wise. Uh... Thirty million dollars. That would be what you'd pay for the what? person to write jokes for it. Oh, the the joke thing. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about like a total budget. What no, you could no, make yeah, a like diehard movie for on the budget. If they were like to hire, that's still low. But uh, if they were to like Neil Casey, we want you to write some, uh, a joke for every scene in this movie. Something funny to happen. Yeah, thirty grand. Thirty grand, and I'm like, that would have been the easiest. And and I could name a hundred other people without breaking a sweat. Mm-hmm. Where I'd be like, they should have offered thirty grand. To, uh, they could yeah. offer ten grand and someone to do that. Yeah, there'd be people. There'd be hilarious people. If I, if they, if the makers of Die Hard said, Lining up, Matt yeah. Cohen, uh, ten grand. We need you to write two funny jokes for every scene in the new Die Hard movie. Done. Yeah. Uh, Where do I start? When they can be mean. They can yeah. be anything. Um, <laughs> oh, good. They can be mean. They jokes. can be mean. They can jokes. Be jokes about how Hugo was yeah. so bad. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> but so that would be the, the quickest these, way to lose that job. These jokes are all about Hugo. About Hugo. <laughs> 
I think that's the thing that, that I... That I, movie would be genuinely great if the most recent Die Hard movie, in every scene, Bruce Willis was mad about how he didn't like the movie Hugo. We were it also the weirdest movie ever made. <laughs> this wasn't on the pod. This was right before the podcast, but Connor and I were talking about how we were hoping that there'd be one serious drama to come out in the modern era that post-credits would have... A blooper reel? No. no. Samuel L. Jackson show up and ask. We were saying we waited till the end of the credits, and I was like, I was really hoping that there'd be a scene where uh, Samuel L. Jackson would ask uh, um, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's character to join the Avengers Initiative, and we were saying like one non so Marvel movie can do that joke, and it'll be amazing. And two, and it's the worst. Two, and it's the worst. But uh, um, three, and it's like sort of funny again. Yeah. Five and it's like we should make this. We should always movie. do this. We know five and five it's we like should make, let's, let's do really this. Let's really add them to the Avengers. <laughs> Shia LaBeouf from Nymphomaniac and like it's like it all like these him, weird characters. Uh, yeah. uh, Wolf of Leonardo DiCaprio and Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Uh, Meryl Streep in Wolf August, Man. Osage County. Yeah. Will Forte from Nebraska. Um, <laughs> they all have to be in the new one. And they're like <laughs> they all sign on for the new Avengers. Um, but like. Uh, JD suggested they could have done that gag very easily at the end of like Anchorman Two, mm-hmm. but I was saying like what I wanted to happen is a legit drama yeah. that that has no expectation of that kind of joke. Um, the uh, Chiwetel Ejiofor at the end of Twelve Years a Slave, yeah, uh, just have a Samuel L. Jackson from an earlier era showing up like through a time yeah. portal. That'd be funny too if it like imagine if they didn't like like. like like a DC, like if like Batman ended with that. Oh, that would be hilarious in a way that would blow like comic book fans' minds. Yeah, people would be so mad, happy. <laughs> I think there'd be some people would be mad. That's not the right universe. Yeah, some people wouldn't. <laughs> or what if? What if? Oh my god! Oh, imagine a way you, to make if you people... had a DC crossover Avengers thing. There'd be one person in the audience who'd be like, "No!" <laughs> like you get like. Imagine that. if like Disney, because didn't Disney just buy Marvel? Yeah. Yes. Oh, um, do it at the end of the Muppets. No, it, movie. it was like at the end of like the Hannah Montana movie. Yeah, and it's like everyone would be like, "Oh my god, I can't believe they're Maybe ruining people this." Be so, people honestly, would be so. I want like I there's I think this is mostly a bad thing, but I sometimes I like delighting in other people's like misery. Yeah, like comic book nerds or like nerds like that subculture in general, like being like, oh. This is ruined with like Hannah Montana being the veggie. That would make me so happy if they had like, yeah, we're gonna do it. Like we think, you know, she's yeah. super hot. Like we need to put her in the Avengers. This will make this the biggest movie of all time. That would make me so happy to see the outrage. I feel that like that would make me so happy. I feel like it is. We could. I'm legitimately pitching this. It's not too late for the uh, uh, the new Muppet movie that's coming out. Yeah, what's it called? Muppets Most Wanted. I'm not interested. Yeah. But, I might not see it. Uh, but that's a legit joke that you could do at the end of a Muppet feature. In some ways, that would be, in some ways, the least surprising version of it. Right. But that's a legit joke that would go viral and people would love it. Yeah. Samuel L. Jackson showing up and asking Miss Piggy to join the Avengers Initiative. Yeah, and then she'd karate chop him and yeah. go flying. Because that feels like a joke that, that... You admit, like, that joke is a lot more fun if it had happened when if Jim Henson was still alive. But I think... Everything was better if it, Jim Henson was still sure. alive. Um, JD left to go pick up the food now, so he walked he out during this. Yeah, I think. Um, what I was going to say before about um, I have a, a rule of thumb, in particular with um, 
Well, like, for instance, I was talking to Mudon about, um, at one point, uh, like, I, I have a rule of thumb, with, and I posted something about this, and it was in reference to some, just some general things that I'd seen people doing, where people were being, like, overly critical of, uh, overly negative of a lot of, um, uh, well, because I know a lot, of, we know people, uh, Mm-hmm. Who are like well, like like Adam Conover, hugely opinionated about comedy. Yeah. But you would never catch him going online saying I don't like this comedy or I don't like that comedy. Right, sure. He's too smart and he's too classy. He knows that like you can have those strong opinions, but the second you, you yourself, yeah, there's certain ones that just aren't very classy. They're not very useful to come out with. Um, they just lead to fights and bad feelings and whatnot. And um, I was talking to. Uh, I had made a comment uh, online at one point that's just sort of a general response to some stuff I'd seen that I'm like, if you're going to be post-critical stuff about... Uh, oh, no. What happened to the food? Oh, no. JD's... Oh, JD's no. Had a bad reaction. Something happened to the food. No. This drink spilled in the uh, refrigerator. Oh, no. Ah! The drink spilled in the refrigerator. Was that my fault? No. Um... Oh, God. You'll never get the smell of those sodas, Russian sodas out of your fridge. Oh, that's going to be a You might as well get the landlord to give you a new fridge. Oh, yeah, you might have to move. Um, I, my, my comment, which is itself a kind of a snarky comment, but I, it was, um, if you're going to make public critiques of, you know, this comedy, film, TV series, etc., podcast, whatever, then the rule of thumb should be that your web series needs to be... Oh, thank you. Your web series needs to be at least uh, one-sixteenth as good. See, I don't think that's necessarily true. What I, I would say is you can make public think... Here's my rule with like public criticism. Yeah. Don't, like, if it's on Twitter, don't, like, reply to the person. Uh, I think it was, yeah. Uh, don't like reply to them. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like don't be like, like at Martin Scorsese. Yeah. Like Hugo nice was awful. Like yeah. you can say like, ooh, Hugo stunk. I yeah. think is fine. But like that's almost like going up to that person and saying it to their face, and that's yeah. just rude. Yeah. Uh, but I think you're just because you aren't making something one sixteenth as good as whatever. I you're feel allowed to... I feel it's uh, a good starting point though from it. I think whether I'm not saying as a hard and fast rule, but I am saying food for thought. Um, think about the quality of your own stuff before right. you appoint yourself. I think that's uh, if you don't think you could do a, as better of a job if you are somebody who's in that field. And, and at least I think it's useful in the sense of like couching your criticisms in ways that are more. Yes. Like I feel like a lot of people post their critici- couch Thank their criticisms you. as if it's like. I know better. Mm-hmm. And I feel like one of the things that was great about Roger Ebert was that he had, made, he had written the screenplay for Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. Yeah. He knew what it, how hard it was to make a movie and to get it done right. He knew what the various pitfalls were and, and that it wasn't... Uh, the fake was great, by the way. Thank you. I mean, I'm thanking on behalf <laughs> of the... Um, but I think it affected the way that he approach film criticism as someone who wanted to like things. Now, I will also say, for instance, um, 
One example of someone who posts things that are critical of movies, there is also an example of um, an exception to the rule, which is, for instance, I love John Flynn's uh, live tweets of movies. Mm -hmm. Um, They're always really funny. Mm -hmm. And I think that violates, like, two rules I would have, which is, like, don't tweet, don't go to the movies and tweet during the movie. You're not experiencing the full movie. But I would say he is so good at it that I'm like, well, it's... Well, that's also a rule. If you're good, you can get away with anything. It's almost like it's like Don Rickles gets a pass from a lot of people for a lot of jokes that would get other people banned from TV because they're like, well, that's his thing, and he owns it. And Um, he's good at it. And he's of a generation where it's... Yeah. You can be racist. Yeah. Um, Uh, But... I, but I think I think I think that is a good barometer. It's like if you don't think if you are in that if you're a comedian and you're going to criticize other people's comedy, yeah. I think feel like you can back it up. Like you're doing something that you think is as good. But yeah. I think there's also maybe it's just me, but I think there's a part of me. It's like well, I can divorce myself. It's like look, the thing I'm watching, did I laugh? Like no, did I? Like I just didn't find it funny. Uh huh. So it wasn't funny. I think a, a, a rule of thumb I also try to use a lot is I I will almost post a lot of things and then I'll kind of and this is not to say that anything yeah I post well you is want useful, to avoid knee jerk but I'll things. think like is there any reason for me to post this thing mm-hmm. and very often I'll be like no this is just like needlessly negative and I'll delete I, it I should think about that more and I, I sometimes yes sometimes, I I do that as well where I will uh, write something. I do think I'd be like, to what end am I writing this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I go to no end, and then I will, which is why I started deleting all my tweets because I was like, I don't. None of these thoughts need to stay around. Even the ones that make it past that filter don't need to remain. I, I feel like um, often it's just like what I realize is I needed to write it. It's just nice to write, honestly. But then if you're there and you're like, let's just submit it out. Um, but you know, um, it was interesting, like. I was talking to Mudon about this at one point, and she was saying she had been talking to someone about how it was someone who wanted to like live tweet jokes that were like critical of like SNL during SNL, mm-hmm. and they were feeling like they couldn't because they know people and and they have ambitions in comedy, and it's like, well, now we now you can't just be like a person who's saying like oh this jokes this jokes sucks. jokes about this sketch not working or whatnot, yeah. and I was saying like okay, but I said you know. Even if you have a really funny joke, to a certain extent, at at some point, what you're sacrificing is like, you might be the funniest asshole in the room. Yeah. And how valuable is that to you? Maybe it is super valuable. Maybe you're a great like roast comedian, and your jokes are, you know, mm-hmm. that's what that's what you're good at. But for some people, it's like a side thing. It's not the main comedy thing they do, and it's like, well, this is actually going to cost you more than it will help you. And I pointed out to, like, to Mudon, for example, that, like, we had a review that some website did of I'm Too Fragile for This mm. that was a rave review that was saying, like, you should seek out this podcast that pointed out that in the early episodes of it, the audio is terrible. Okay. And Mudon was, like, really hurt by the... F- she, like, Tom and I, Tom Levin and I were, like, uh, Tom Levin, who directs I'm Too Fragile for This, we were, like, this is a great review. And Mudon was, like, uh... She wasn't thrilled with the review, and we were like, what's wrong with it? And she goes, well, they were pretty harsh about the audio in the early episodes. And Tom and I were like, it's legit. Like, we screwed up the sound in the early episodes. It's not good. That's the reason we didn't, like, put those episodes on blip and stuff. Yeah. 
And I was like pointing out to her, I'm like, Munan, like, this wasn't even like a bad criticism and look how bad it made you feel. Like, this was just a thing that we all yeah. agreed was wrong with it. But it feels bad when you, when it does you feel bad. stumble across. This, it also brings up another thing that's been bothering me that mm-hmm. I've been communicating is um, <clears throat> I feel like we're, there's not enough people that are taking their job of uh, being critics and criticism seriously enough. I agree. Uh-huh. Like, that's why I was so sad to see Roger Ebert go because he was such a voice of my job is as a critic. I'm not a creator. I am a critic. And the way that he approached movies, and that's why like, I listen to this podcast, Films Fight, and I think they're great at talking about movies because they consider themselves critics first, and then mm-hmm. they approach it from that perspective. Um, and they, ha- they, they, they bring a, a mindset and a set of rules for criticism with them as they do it. Yeah. Whereas now, I feel like almost every pop culture critic or anything critic mm-hmm. So many of them turn around and try to be then creators also. Yeah, and yes. it's like or they try to be you're, funny. Yeah, you're mixing your motives, which is why like I love a guy like David Sims, who is like, my thing is I want to comment on culture. Like I want to, like watch every TV show and talk about them, and like mm-hmm. I also like he wants to be a journalist. That is his job. He's a journalist and a critic. Yeah, I like, find I that, love that very commendable. I wish we had more genuine honest critics rather than people i think who are like i'm creating and criticizing as well like you you're just kind of splitting the difference and you can kind of do neither of those things to their full extent the thing i the thing and i'm in the minority on this definitely but i always like when i would go and read reviews by pauline kale and like her books i know most people like look at her as like she's like uh yeah, sacred. Big, Just like yeah. she's like invented modern film criticism to a great degree, mm-hmm. and a lot of filmmakers. When I read her reviews, and maybe I was just maybe it was the mood I was in at the, she can be a little at the phase, I felt like, and this is clearly in some cases not true because she devoted her life to movies. But I felt like there was a a lack of joy in her the way she looked at movies. Oh, that I felt like it was rare that she really just gave herself over to a film and enjoyed it. Hmm. Oh. Also, I have to point out the uh, probably floating hypocrisy in the air of us then doing this podcast, which is on its face in a joking manner, a review of The Wolf of Wall Street, mm-hmm. being that we've spent the entire time talking about creating stuff. And then our podcast is theoretically, that we're doing right now, is theoretically a, a review and criticism of The Wolf of Wall Street. No. But clearly, that is not our actual intent. Of I don't think. Yeah, but so. I think here's the thing. I think everyone is allowed to. Crit- I think when you're like a, a critic, then it's like you got to bow out of the content creation. But you, everyone has it. Look, I think you are not a true artist if you don't seek out other art and then have strong opinions on that art. Well, and the thing like, is, that's what should spur you to make stuff. Is being like, oh, I like this. I didn't like this. I like this. I'm going to learn from this. I'm going to avoid doing this. Well, and and when you look at a lot of, if you look at it this way, because even you said you don't like critics who want to also be content creators. But I think if a lot of creative people that I are like my idols, like Elvis Costello, his opinions about music, they tend to mostly be from the point of view of an enthusiast, like. He'll write obsessive. He's an obsessive music fan, and he is the kind of music fan that he also attracts that kind of person as his fans. He did like a a list for Vanity Fair that was 500 albums you should own, and Mm -hmm. it was a list of 500 albums that he put together. Um, 
And the way that he writes about music and the way he talks about other people's music is very uh, enlightening. It's very interesting. He is a good uh, uh, voice who is a creator but also has opinions about other people's music. He doesn't just write like, here's this new album, three stars, I didn't like yeah. it, you know, or something like that. Well, that stuff's not um, helpful. Um, and so I think, you know, it's a different thing if you're primarily a creator but you also have opinions about things. That's not the same as being a critic. You know what I mean? Like, uh, especially in the sense of like, People who are a critic, who their job is like, I review everything that comes down the pike. You know? That, like, a working critic tends to take it all good and bad. And that's why I think I would not be able to do it. I think the only way I would ever be able to be a critic would be to be like, well, in most cases, I'm only going to just recommend things. Mm -hmm. Because. Can I ask you a question real quick? Yeah. How many of the. 500 albums you should own did you own oh uh, i don't know there were a lot that i didn't own because he had a lot of things that were like did you go out and try to buy them i've i always refer back to the list and will gradually pick up more and more of them so i was gonna say if you didn't yeah then nobody did because like if elvis costello tells some tells the public to do something yeah I no. feel like you are the deepest barometer of that. No, correct? I'm not the deepest. I'm not the well, deepest. I don't think he meant it as like, hey, everybody get all 500 no, of these. No. I'm just but saying all those like, things that's like, here's like like 10 ways to improve your filmmaking. But and like the greatest fan of that person will be like, I'm going to do those 10 things. To me, it's like if, if Costello is like 500 albums you should own. I, to me, I'm like, well, he is talking to Connor. Well, no, I would say this. But though. you say there are people that are deeper. I would say... For, to an outside observer, like Will Hines would say, I'm one of the most obsessive Elvis Costello fans. Mm -hmm. But, and there aren't that many more obsessive, but the ones who are more obsessive are way more obsessive. Some of them um, aren't as joyful about it as I am. Like, there's less pleasure taken in it. Yeah, it, you've mentioned that before, how that bothers you. Yeah. I mean,. I, Will and I, Will Hines and I went to see um, a concert at Port Chester recently with Elvis, uh, it was Elvis Costello concert, and I met up with some people that I've interacted with in the Elvis Costello fan community right. online. They all always tend to be a generation older than me because I'm, I'm, I was born in '75. Costello began in '77. The people who were like the core original fans were teenagers in '77. That makes sense. Um, when I was, you know, two years old, they were in their teens. But there were like people that I met up with who were like going to every concert on the tour. And I just wouldn't have the energy for that. Like, I wouldn't be able to be that much of a. Right, but I would almost say that's more like a completionist yeah. sort of thing rather than someone who is like knowledgeable. And like, a, you know what I mean? Because you you don't learn more or like know more by seeing like every show. Yeah. Uh, and I think even with like, well, I want to go back to that like list of 500 albums. I would say if you even sought out one of those albums, so like, oh, this sounds interesting. And then you like listen to it and liked yeah. it. I bet Elvis Costello would be like, oh, good. This list did its job. Like somebody checked out a record, like yeah. a new album that I think is like really cool. Yeah. Uh, like, I don't think anybody's being like, oh, 
you're going to go get these 500 now because that's just a, such an investment of time and money. But if it's just like, oh, let's look at this, and it's like, oh, hey, this thing, if you like this, maybe you'll like this record. Yeah. And you're like, okay, sure, let me try this. And then you like that, and maybe you, you get 10 albums off that list that you never listened to. And I think he'd be, he's like, good, then it, That was the point job. of yeah. it, yeah. Um, but I think, J.D., I think you're crediting me with being like, uh, I think there is a degree to which... Um, I would say within the within the obsessive Elvis Costello fan community, the thing that I think probably distinguishes me, if there's anything, if there's any one detail, I'd say like I'm more this than anybody else. It would be that I tend to be a little bit more of an activist in the sense of I'm more likely to say like I wish Costello would do this. I wish he'd reissue this album. I wish he'd release right. this unreleased thing. For a long time, I've said, because I think I perceive Costello to be someone who seems to, um, these are just french fries, right? Yeah. Seems to, like, have a, a desire to have, like, a hit record. Yeah. That has been difficult for him to achieve. Like, he has not, um, no, I don't like pickles, but thank you. Um. I was hoping that would happen. Um. Matt Cohen is currently eating my pickles for my hamburger. Um, I I perceive that Costello is frust- has been frustrated for a long time that he'll put a lot of effort into a record. It'll get a lot of press and a lot of good reviews. Right. And then it won't sell convincingly. Like, he right. had a record... He just came out with one recently. He came out with one of the Roots, and it was like got a lot of publicity, right. like, got good reviews, but like within three weeks, it was kind of like it was forgotten. It was off the charts. I think man, that's also has to do with I think music. It uh, does now a days, right? Yeah. Um, but like in two thousand nine, he came out with a record, and he released it on Here Here Music, which is the Starbucks label, mm-hmm. and it was his highest charting. U.S. debut since, like, 1980. Right. And it was because they put it on every Starbucks counter in America and it had a cool Tony Millionaire cover. Well, you can't beat that distribution. Yeah. And he got excited about it. And the next year he put out another record on the Hear Music label with another Tony Millionaire cover. And this one was, like, he really, like, threw everything into it. You could tell he was like, oh, that last album did well. I'm going to really make a great album. And for some reason, it it was like Hear Music changed their methods or something and it you, it wasn't for sale at Starbucks. Oh. And isn't that the whole point though? I think they were like going through like business things. It wasn't like they, okay. oh, let's not promote Costellos. It was just like oh, we're not really doing that as much now or something. Sure. And you could just tell it was like disheartening to him because he was like, "Oh, the only we reason it did well is because it was on Starbucks." And it's also like, "Why can't you, like we made this work a year ago? Why can't you make it work now?" Yeah. Um, yeah. And but I think, and I've thought this for a while, that the way that Costello would have a hit record, and it's a trick, but I think it's a good one, is he should write a batch of songs. And he should write them for other people that he wants to sing them. Because he's friends with everybody. Mm-hmm. 
He could if he wrote a song and said, David "I want Bowie." Yeah, he could probably get Bowie. Bowie. Uh, Bowie. Like if he wrote a song for Paul McCartney to sing, and he asked Paul McCartney, "Will you sing the song I wrote for you?" Paul McCartney would do it. They're friends. I bet you if he went to Beyonce and said, "Beyonce, I wrote this song for you. Would you sing it?" I bet Beyonce would do it. I bet if he went to Aretha Franklin. I bet if he went to, um, I mean, who's someone else? Who's Mozart. Mozart. If he exhumed Mozart and said, "Play this piano song I wrote for you." Um, no, sing the song. That I wrote sing the for song, you. Mozart. Oh my God! Um, Here's a if if you could make one impossible piece of art. Well, I'll just say what. I, imagine how I would love to make a video that is Mozart singing some like pop song, and just like not a great singer, not a great song, and it's just actually Mozart. Singing he was just that. singing like girls just want to have fun. Yeah, yeah. Or if it's just Mozart like. It's like a wrecking ball. I'm coming like a wrecking ball. Like it was just like this weird. Is that like, the lyric of that song? I have no idea. Well, first of all, it'll be amazing because he's dead. And you. That's be, what I'm saying. It's just having the image like that like, alone. But even the fact that like even if you were just like stop the presses, I brought Mozart back to life. That would. That's enough. I'm I'm I'm, I'm just uh, <laughs> the fact the fact that <laughs> for a My second is, your version is I'm coming like a wrecking ball. <laughs> it's the lyrics of that song. A wrecking ball. I'm coming like a wrecking ball. <laughs> what does that even mean? Just a lot and fiercely into ah! your into your walls, your uh, vaginal walls. Your uter- your uterine walls. No, don't. Don't say swinging in as if that's a, a sex motion. It's like yeah. your dick swings. I didn't think of it as sexual. I just think like you're coming like a wrecking ball. I'm on my ball. way like a wrecking ball, yeah. but I'm also coming like a wrecking yeah. ball, destroying your uterine walls. Well, now you're just writing <laughs> new lyrics. Um, like a uh, wrecking ball, I'm destroying your uterine walls. Wall. It was even rhymes. Um, no, but I think that would be... If Costello would do that, just like I'm going to gather up a bunch of people that actually do have hit records and make an album that's like an all-star cast of new Evis Costello songs with the with the Imposters as his backing band or whatever musicians he wants to get, and then bring in like here's 15 people whose records do sell, right? And they're singing on it, and I feel like that's a hit record, and people will be like, oh, we love these songs, and I think he could tailor make songs for certain pop singers that would be great okay here's a question mm-hmm. if you could uh or, or and not if you could uh-huh. what band where's your bathroom okay this is gonna be tough with Why? the lobbed up i mean what's gonna happen here it's gonna be heard right yeah i mean that's just real it's i, mean, just I can a, always turn it off no i mean Why, it's an invasion of privacy what for what you? are you doing We'll see what happens, but I'm pretty sure I'm going to urinate. Okay. This, I feel this, like it's cl- not classy, dude. I'm going to turn my mic off. No, you, sh- you should... Wait, uh, am I peeking? What does that mean? What? I'm getting a red light when That's I look okay. at that. Does that mean I'm peeking? No. What do you think I should do, director? Keep it on. Okay. This was... We literally had a discussion uh, four hours ago yeah. about this. Is All this right. the first time someone has gone to the bathroom on mic? <sighs> on our show, yeah. I don't know how to close JD's bathroom. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, on our show. Now uh, you have your headphones on. So JD you know. has a padded toilet seat. That is, I'm um, listening to him talk that, about it. That is uh, 
It's he's, like an old woman's uh, toilet seat. He's just talking about your toilet seat. This will probably, if someone's listening to this, not be very interesting because it would just be... I'm doing everything I can to mask it. Yeah, me or me just recapping what they would just hear about Connor talking about this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so I guess while Connor's going to the bathroom, JD, you're talking. I can hear them, but they can't hear me except they can hear me too. Um, well, I, uh, I just went to Pittsburgh. I had a good time in uh, Pittsburgh. I visited my girlfriend and her family. I met her. The, her family for the first time. That was very nice. I really liked her family. I was nervous that maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't get along with them or they wouldn't like me. But I think they really took to me. I think they liked me. I think her family is super nice, very funny, interesting people. Um, her mom is uh, great. So, yeah. Yeah. It was just a great time. She's a huge family, right? Very big family. Did you go home for Christmas? I take it. I did. Yeah. Okay. How was that? It was good. It was good. I had a rough week the week before. I'm sorry to hear that. And then uh, I got to relax a little bit, saw the family for a week, and then came back, and now I'm feeling much better. Oh, well, that's good. That's great. This was like my first... I've never like gone anywhere for Christmas, being Jewish, and it's not a thing I do. I mean, oh, I've right. celebrated uh, Christmas before. This is like I went somewhere for Christmas, kind of had a Christmas, and it was really great. I think I got... I get now why everyone likes Christmas and is excited by Christmas. Right. It's very much a family get to... It was really fun. I'll be very surprised if anyone was able to hear anything prior to the toilet flushing. I I heard you talk about... I was talking, but I was very discreet. I heard everything. Did you hear... I put put my... my Did you hear me urinating? No, I took it off. That's what I mean. I I don't think anyone will have heard the urinating. Do you pee onto the side of the bowl? Uh, no, I sat down because I felt I could cushion it better. Weird. That is weird. It was for audio purposes. Okay. Still weird. Why is it weird? Because uh, it's uh, an unnecessary action. Um, I actually feel like you have a very low toilet. Yes. Especially for a tall man. I just pee in the sink all the time. That's not true. Um, I, th- I find that horrifying. I felt like it was... <laughs> Polite and discreet, since I had an audio recording device on me, to try to go for the method that would be the least crass. Because this isn't a... What if you had accidentally farted? I was wary of it. I was wary of it. I definitely... <laughs> that would be like the most broad, comedic, crass thing. Yeah. I was wary that it was possible, but... Um, that you could maybe do one of the funniest things Yeah, you've ever done. And you've done many funny things, but I think farting on a podcast, <laughs> I did not do that's it. That's up there. I did not do it. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, it would have been the only thing. People would have skipped. People were like, you got to check out this podcast. Skip to nine hours <laughs> in and yeah. hear the fart. Um, Corey Palmer says he imagines it's going well right now, that we're really getting to the good stuff right now. Who's saying that? Corey Palmer. I mean, Where? we don't have a lot of time left in this podcast. No, we only have like two and a half hours. We should start wrapping up. We, uh, um, let's get into let's get let's get real deep right this now. Is the come down. Let's get into it. Okay. Has twelve hour day tweeted anything? No, because I didn't want to. Uh, I don't want to start following people because I don't. I want to release. You already this. did. No, not people, people outside of us. 
Oh, right. I'm going to start following as well. Right like, I, I want this. I want when we announce this to be that sort of is the joke. You know what I mean? I, want pe- I don't want the joke to be spoiled with a Twitter account. I want the joke to be like, wait, they did what? And you can immediately listen to it. Yeah. When do you think this will be live? Hopefully, like, in the next two days. Oh, it would be great if it could be for, if we could make it go live at midnight on New Year's. Hilarious. Oh, yeah, that's close, isn't it? And we could announce it. Um, hey, um, this is going to be a badly dated part of the podcast. It's just me asking for information. But um, where's the, what's the, do I need to register to go to any of that UCB? I, I think you, I was just thinking about that. Today. It's too late. It's too late? Yeah. Do I can't go? I don't think so. But uh, since you, That's not true. You're somebody with some pull. Wait, if I just email Dwyer, can I just say like... I would uh, email Dwyer. Because I've been, I've been going on... I, I've had some bad personal stuff going on recently. I'm very sorry to hear that. Uh, that I feel like I could get into any UCB party just by mentioning what's gone on with me the past... Yeah, just email Dwyer. Yeah. Okay. I'm very um, sorry to hear that I didn't know you had... Yeah. I don't really, I'm not going to get into it in the podcast. Yes, I only bring it up in the context of how I can use it to get I hope you're okay. I, only, I, I just hope you're okay. I'm sorry for what's uh, going on. The uh, I don't want to get in. I just don't feel like getting into it. Don't get into it. You can mention if you want to. We don't have to get into it. Okay, but I feel like it's personal in a way that I don't know whether it's my right to talk about it. Okay, I guess it is. You can talk about it in a broad context then. If you uh, want it's to. Uh, um, a ba- like like you don't you know, get specific about. Yeah, uh, it's just um, very bad health news uh, in my family. I'm very sorry. Not me, uh, but. Um, and hopefully will, it will be, uh, 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 once we get through it, it'll be better and things will work out. But right now it's, things are bad. It's about uh, as bad as it can get right now. Yeah. Right now it's about as bad as it can get. Okay. Um, oh. and so I didn't make reservations at the secret email for the party or whatever, <laughs> but, um, yeah. Um, I don't want, don't want to cash in on that too much. feels wrong. No, uh, that's but that okay. is why it didn't occur to me until just now. Like, oh wait, should I have emailed? Just, just email. Just email. Be yeah, fine. yeah. Um, There's nothing in this world that can't be solved by an email, especially when it comes to a small independent. I don't even know what theaters. I don't even know where I find information about it online. It was. Uh, you, uh, this is getting not insidery, but boring. But like, there was an email <laughs> sent out. Okay. Uh, End I'll, of that I'll, I'll email you the email because I don't think I did it either. And I'll, yeah. I'm also going to email them and be like, I apologize to longtime listeners of the podcast <laughs> for the last four minutes, which have been cryptic and uh, I'd say pretty exclusionary. Much, yeah, uninteresting. Yeah, but I think of... I think a big part of listening to this is a voyeuristic thing. Yeah, yeah it was real. I mean, it was 100 percent honest. And you don't always get that on podcasts. Okay, so let's get into let's get into stuff. This is like I've only been here let's since hash about eight o'clock, so I've been only PM. here for yeah eight p.m. I'm sorry uh, to clarify. So I've been here because for JD about- and I the podcast didn't start at eight a.m. but we did meet at nine, 9 a.m. And so both of us were probably up around eight a.m. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I've yeah, been here for you and I and have hours. been going for more than twelve hours today so far. Yeah, yeah that's we haven't great. been recording it, <coughs> but uh, yeah, so. The you know this is pretty interesting. Let's uh, let's get into it. Let's, this is where you're kind of at your home stretch. Yeah, for you guys uh, for this podcast. So Matt, if if we could talk about one thing, what would it be right now? Something that you think? Yeah, what's a really question? That's something that you think you'd like what's to hear. What's really on this interesting? Uh, Don't be afraid to go that's deep. A tough thing. I'd have to think about that. Oh, what with us three in the room 
do you think is worthwhile to talk about? What I like to talk about? You know, it's funny is I think that we were talking about a lot of things that were worthwhile and interesting to me. Then when you ask me that, I feel like making a decision just inorganic. It's an inorganic way to take the conversation where I thought sure. Well, okay. Let me rephrase it. What's a good direction you feel we could take the conversation? I know. I'd like to honestly. I will say when I uh, when you texted me, JD, uh, that you were doing this and I should come over. Uh, part of it was like, oh, this sounds fun. I'll definitely come over. But I, I wanted to. I feel like I was like, oh wow, the thing where we'd just be having a conversation, talking <coughs> uh, with these people. Like I feel like uh, like Connor. I, I almost rarely see nowadays. Yeah, it's very rare. And we have not had a long conversation. That was like, this is the most. Nice. This is the most we've hung out in 2013. I think. I think that's absolutely true. Yeah, and that's a shame. That's a uh, shame. I I miss hanging out with you. I was like, oh, this will be great opportunity to, to hang out with Connor uh, and catch up and see JD which I always uh, like doing so was, part of me was like it would be nice to see some friends hang out with some friends yeah I feel like Matt you and I have become much closer friends in the past six months probably Definitely. to a year why is that we've uh, just been hanging out more I think neighborhood the, buddies well I, I also bit. in the past year I made a concerted effort to reach out more to my friends to hang out and do stuff and be friends yeah in a way that I would not in the past. And so I was like, oh, these are people that I want to be friends with and spend time with. And so I feel like I've been actively trying to engender friendship with people. Uh-huh. It's good. Yeah, I consider you a good friend. Yeah. yeah. I treasure your friendship. I follow your friendship. Thank you, Matt. I treasure your friendship. You're pro- I probably consider you one of my closer friends, yeah, too. Yeah, you're one of my closer friends as well. Yeah. Definitely. I feel that way with you, too, also, Connor. Thank you. Yeah. Both, to, both back to you, Jess. Yeah, you're a close friend of mine. Though, so, Connor, you and I hang out far less, mm-hmm. but we do dumb stuff like this that yeah. enables us to hang out. Mm-hmm. And then we get to catch up. Yeah. Um, but again, it did take us fabricating the idea of a 12-hour-long podcast to really spend I, time together. I also think, I mean, the more I think about it, I think it's legit that <clears throat> uh, when we're all so busy with projects, I think you get to a point where you start thinking of projects as a way of uh, motivating Absolutely. the hangout times. Yes. Because you, we are all in a rhythm now where we have so many projects going that we fill up our schedule with projects and then the time that's remaining is like either work or rest or, you know, um, uh, seeing people that you don't see when you're working on projects or, you, you know. You feel guilty. I feel, I feel guilty. If I have downtime, I should be writing. I should be making something. When often it's like, no, you, there are other things in life. You should be cultivating friendships, relationships, family. These are things that will enrich your artistic projects. But also, it's like this is good for the soul. I think yeah. uh, so to to speak. Like yeah. it doesn't always have to be project, 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 work, 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 work. I think. Yeah. Enjoy enjoy people. Spend time yeah. with loved ones. And yeah. Just relax. Spend an evening by myself. Like even just, I was in, uh, I think I said Pittsburgh. I think I told you I was mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh this past week. It was just so nice. Like we didn't really have anything to do. So we just hung out with her family. You know, we just saw some movies. Yeah. Just watched like football. I've never really done that. It was just like, this was just like a nice, like it just felt good to kind of slow down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Have you had any, I know JD recently you've been running so busily and so stressed. Have you had any time recently over the holidays or anything to just be able to take it easy a little? Yeah, I, ha- 
I had a little bit of a breakdown the week before the holidays. Mm-hmm. A big breakdown. Yeah. In a way that I never experienced before. Um, and it caused me to, when I got home, I turned off my phone, my computer, and I did not turn it back on for maybe four or five days. I think that's wonderful. Uh, and it was, uh, it was good to do that. And then I got sort of unwind because I was very wound up from all this stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And I, it was the first time I'd ever had a, like, a like a real, like, sort of like breakdown. Like I had like a legit, like anxiety attack in a way that I'd never experienced before where I was like completely incapacitated. Where were you when it happened? It actually lasted for like three days. No, where? I'm, but I'm saying it, it, oh, it lasted, lasted three, three days. days. So you, as you went around everywhere, you were... It started actually one day when I was having lunch with Gethard. Mm-hmm. And I just had so many things on my mind, both personal and work stuff. Yeah. And then I think my mind just got into like a loop, you know what I mean? Yeah. Where it just starts heightening itself, even though nothing's really happening. And then it just starts spinning out of control. Mm-hmm. And then I, it was this thing where I, I couldn't talk to people. Like I would try to start talking... Like, I tried to speak I would like start getting like physically sick and nauseous and like yeah. start like gagging and stuff and then like I would uh I was getting really dizzy and like having to like I whenever I tried to like stand up and walk somewhere I would just get dizzy and like fall back down mm-hmm. and then it took it was two days of me just in my apartment and like I had meetings and stuff I had to do and I'd go out to try to do them and I would not be able to and I'd have like cancel stuff and mm. and then I thought I was not gonna be able to get home because I literally could not get up to pack and then I was like oh my god getting a car and like getting to the airport and then doing the airport and getting on a plane. I was like, I can't do it. I can't. Yeah. And then I like made myself and then luckily I got home and was able to, uh, just literally like stay in bed for like two days and then like slowly emerge. Was everyone worried when you were in bed for two days? Yes. Well, my parents saw what was, it was very apparent if you saw me that I was, yeah, they were like, this guy needs two days that I was not together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at least I, how long were you at home? A week? A week, yeah. Yeah, well, at least you you know, you know got... Good no, and then days. I yeah. came out of it, and then I relaxed, and then I sort of reset stuff. Full discl- I have my first ever therapy appointment tomorrow. Hey. Congratulations. I yes. think that's great. Yes. Uh, therapy is really helpful, I think. Yes, I've never done it before. Though, it's helped every one of my close friends in life has been like, uh, I think you need to see a therapist based on all of my mm. anxiety and stress, and so then... That'll be tomorrow, and then... I some... think it'll get a lot of stuff. <coughs> For me, when I was in therapy, the most helpful thing was just... It's like, oh, this is somebody I can just talk to about things I'm thinking of that you just can't talk to people about. Yeah. So it's like, instead of bottling it all up, like I think what you said, like, oh, it was just like heightening in your mind. It was just, yeah. oh, this is more of it. Even though it's... You're not getting more stuff. It's just in your head. There's just too much, and then you kind of right. manufacture. Not saying you. you know, no, no, no. I it think you it was manufactured because yeah. obviously I have a grasp of everything right now, yeah. and I'm actually very confident right now mm-hmm. and excited. But it just the moment it like tips, it just spins out of yeah. control. Yeah. It's just so much easier when it's like, okay, I can just tell you this right now. I can just unload some of that so it despirals. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, that's great. That's wonderful. Yeah. So it's been good, and now I'm actually very. I mean, I'm very excited about this current time in my life but i need to keep my stress and anxiety in check otherwise mm. it will make what is a fun exciting thing that plays to my strengths yeah turn it into a thing that's just stressful and uh uncomfortable but right now now that i've dealt with it and i it's sort of like you know when you like when something breaks 
it's sort of actually a good chance to like recover and be like, okay, great. So that happened. And now that I'm back to, back to where I was, I know how not to get to that point again. I know what that feels like. I know what that's like. And now I can make adjustments moving forward. So now I'm actually feeling even better than I think I ever have in terms of that's good. dealing with all the stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, yeah, I've never been in therapy. And I've always felt, most of the times when I've felt like... Uh, when I've had, there have been a couple of times when someone, when people have been like, what about therapy? And in each of those instances, I always felt like, uh, it wouldn't, like I'm always in favor of it whenever I hear someone, it always seems like a positive step. Right. But I've always felt like for me, the times when it's been like recommended to me, I mean, not by an official person, but yeah. like someone's like, well, why don't you do therapy? Uh, it's always been that I've been worried about something that's like, a real tangible practical thing that I was worried about that I'm like, well, I feel like I don't want to go talk to a therapist. It's not something that I feel like talking to someone about. It's like, I'm worried about this real thing and I'm worried because it is a bad thing and I don't feel like it's something, I don't have the impulse to talk to a therapist about it. I feel like if I did go to a therapist, I would just lie to that therapist and tell them what I felt I needed to say in order to get through it. Right. Like I haven't, and I feel like, well, you have to want to talk to a therapist. Like I've never had the impulse where I'm like, you either have to want to or need to. And I've never felt either, even at my worst, lowest points, I've always felt like, uh, re- re- resistant to it in a way that I feel like I just would not, I feel like I wouldn't benefit from it in the way that people think that I would. Yeah. I mean, for me, it became this thing, where, like you said, like, because I was a person that always avoided dealing with any of that stuff. Anything emotional, anything about, anything like that, I just completely tried to avoid. And then it got to the point where I was like, oh, right now I'm experiencing things that I need to speak out loud to someone. Yeah. And I have no avenue to do that. Yeah. And now I'm feeling it physically affect me because now I'm feeling like control. Yeah. And then that's the point where I was like, oh, I need to now because the idea of therapy is something that terrifies me because I'm not someone that likes to typically talk personally about. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to be more open about like, hey, here's the things that are going on in my life, good and bad. Yeah. But usually that's not my MO. I just sort of like to be like, work, 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 work. Yeah. And I like that to be my identity as just someone who works hard. So then now I'm like, well, I think I need an outlet for that. And then it's like, that's the job of a therapist. Yeah. So I, I, am, I am terrified of it, but I feel this need where I'm like, I need to, I don't know if it'll be helpful, but I, feel the need to like at least get these things out that I cannot express to other And I, I've never fe- I've never felt like I had anything that there wasn't somebody that I could talk to it about about it. Yeah. Like I feel like not, there's not necessarily been one person that I could tell everything to, but I've always felt like there's w- at least one person for anything. I don't I don't feel like I've ever had anything that I'm like there's no one I can talk to about this. I also feel myself particularly cuz I know that feeling. Mhm. Because I do have friends, people like that, that I would... Mm-hmm. But I also feel like a large... is a weird thing, but I feel like a large part of my self-identity mm-hmm. is just something that I don't like to express when I'm having problems with things. Yeah. I like having the demeanor of being someone who sort of has everything under control. Yeah. So then talking to people about it, I immediately feel wounded both uh, 
in that idea of my self-image. Yeah, the, that you're like the, shattering the something about. Yeah. Why, why would you want a self-image of somebody who is like pretending to be okay when they're not okay? But that's not the self-image. The self-image that's the is reality. Like, the self-image is I just want I I just want to project that I've got things under control. Yeah, and that I am someone who has things under control. Okay, he does. Yeah, and that why is that important to you? Because uh, I think you want to know why it is honestly. Yeah, because I think so much of life, no one knows what's going on, mm-hmm. and I think so much of life is just. Trusting and believing that someone has it under control, mm-hmm. that someone has it together, and that like we can put our comfort in that. Yeah. And so to me, I'm like, someone's got to be that person, and then I feel like I might as well be that person that I can be like, great, I got it under control. So don't you don't worry about it. I got it under control. That's like you're making yourself into like a like an ultimate parent or like a god almost because I think that's like when you're like childhood, right? That was to me is like that's what you just said described childhood. Like when I was a kid, it was like my parents. Have got it together. Like when I was right. like six, seven, eight, nine, ten. You know, it's like my parents. You know, it's like they're telling me where I got to be. I got to be in school. Great. Like this system, I just have to do kind of what they say. I love picturing you as like an eight-year-old saying those exact <laughs> things that way. Yeah. My parents have got it together. They tell me where to go. I got a school system. <laughs> I just love the idea of little Matt Cohen just You're articulating it, articulating like, it exactly like that. Comfortable. Look, guys. My parents have got it together. <laughs> they tell me where to go. <laughs> what to eat, when to wake up, when to go to bed. Yeah, it's all like it's all taken care of, right? And then you think that they know everything. Adults, I think it's a common kid thing, right? It's like adults know what they're doing more than me. Uh, <coughs> then like you kind of realize like, oh, nobody knows anything. Nobody knows what's going on. Like, William Goldman. Hmm? William Goldman. Nobody knows anything. Oh, okay. Right? Yes. But also, I think a lot of my self-identity is also attached to my work, and my work is the the profession that I've chosen to pursue is one where mm-hmm. you are supposed to be the person in charge who knows also, the solution to the problems. Also, I do think that a lot of times, in a lot of situations, you do have it together. Thank you, Connor. I, now, is that just me being fooled by your projected image? No, I but I, I work of, hard I to have somebody, it together. I think you're somebody who has a lot of stuff together. I think you're very wise, I but I think it's also, it's okay to not have some stuff together. In right. fact, I think that's... Impossible like, not to have. It's impossible not to, yes. but also it's like preferable to be like, be a little bit of a mess or be a little chaotic or be a little unsure. I think it's okay to give into that. I agree, and that's why I've been trying to be more open about those yeah. things, which is why now I'm speaking freely about the fact that I... Yeah. Of those things. But it's a thing that is not comfortable, but a thing that I'm trying to do more because mm-hmm. I yeah. believe what you're saying. And I think, and I think, uh, only a per, like if you were a person who never had it together, it would be impossible to even want to have that self image. You, only a person who generally does have it together a lot of the time is able, I mean, at least a large enough, you have to have a, there's a minimum percentage of time that you have it together. That you have to have in order to even begin to project that as a as an image of yourself to people, like sure. if if you only have it together five percent of the time, you got no chance of projecting like that's the guy who has it together because you just don't have enough reserves to. Then you become old Gill. <laughs> On the Simpsons. The Simpsons, yeah. Well, that, old Gill, you're gonna get it this time. Oh, here we go. Uh, that was I. I just mentioned him to talking TZGS when the. They I think were, they really blew the Simpsons thing. 
Well, I was I was curious to. Uh, Is this like you're talking bad? Yeah. R- Riley Solander and Griffin Newman started a talking TCGS podcast hosted by Cave Comedy Radio. It has nothing. It like we don't even produce it. It's a different podcast network producing it. Yeah, I'm aware of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, the last thing that they always do in every episode is relate characters from TCGS to characters from another universe. So X Men in the first episode, right. JD was there for the second uh, two episodes. <laughs> they and, had to break mine up. And the two you did I the Muppets, oh. and I really like you had a really solid handle on it. Like a lot of your corrections were immediately like. Uh, accepted as law. Thank you. I, I, you're especially probably happy of your correction. Oh yeah, my correction made a lot of sense. Which they said that the Muppet that I was analogous to was the Great Gonzo. No, you don't think? Who do you think? Uh, they said Beauregard they first, said Bo- right? No, no, they said or like New Zealand or someone. No, he was going to say the Muppet Newsman or something. Oh, Muppet like that. Newsman. And I was like, no, no, no. Yeah, Connor's the Great Gonzo. He is this. Foolhardy, heart of gold guy that embarks on these on a, ambitious fails, missions, ambitious things, and, and will fails always at them. fail. But the process of failing never gets him down. Oh, okay, yeah, always leads that. on All to right. the next yeah. thing. I, I can't. And what sort of lives say? in his own universe. I was thinking. All right, I was thinking you were going to say New Zealand or someone like that. No, no, no. Because um, you're you're much more of a central character. Well, for the Simpsons one, they got stumped on my name, right? And I suggested that. There isn't a perfectly analogous one, but I said that Gil would probably be the one that I'd be closest to, and that oh, maybe uh, he is ambitious. Like he's a lot more like quick to admit failure or defeat, but he is someone who's like, "Hey, I got this great thing," and then immediately is yeah, uh, can't do it. Yeah, I thought you were actually like, uh, well, actually, I don't know. I remember what I was thinking of, but I was like, because they got the whole main family weirdly messed up in my mind. Some of the corrections were better than that. I think Shannon is Bart. I mean, can't believe we were playing their game on this. Yeah, I know but. this is like a three times through. Um, but, but I was. I. I think. I think. Never mind. We don't need to do this. Yeah, uh, we don't. Um, but uh, I'm supposed to be on that podcast on uh, Friday. Oh, that'll be great. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Um, but the maybe it'll be like your UCB podcast where uh, where I never mentioned you never mentioned the Gathered Show or parentheses or any of I did mention parentheses. Oh, did Are you? you mad that that was snubbed? Connor Connor never you mentioned the people. No, no, I uh, I mentioned Gathered and I I'm mentioned fuming right now. <coughs> Mudal was really mad that I didn't mention I'm too fragile for this. Well, I was just laughing at the end. It was like, oh right, Connor's done a lot of stuff, and this was like an eighth of it. Yeah, so it's like that's you, why podcasts should be longer, long form <laughs> content. That that that. that, um, that. So I'd have loved to hear you talk about. I'm too fragile for this. I'd have loved to hear you talk about. Me too. I I was you know the funny thing was I did that hit the mark podcast and I deliberately didn't talk about any UCB stuff because I was like someday they might ask me to do the UCB podcast and I'm yeah. saving all my UCB stories right. for that. Um, I could tell you're you're trying to stay very improv centric. Yeah, I wanted to be true to the yeah. spirit of that. Podcast and not just be like, hey, let me plug Stone my Cold other Fox. Yeah, I only mentioned that because of the running Gramps gag. Yeah, but you, ne- I mean, you barely. I didn't mention didn't get it into it right? at all. Yeah. How I got on Secret it. Man Group, even. No, I talked about Secret Man Group. I talked about Terry Withers coaching yeah. us. Oh yeah, I love that we're reca- recapping. We're just recapping podcasts, other podcasts now. In our, I mean, this is what you get when you go nine hours. You start to get to a point where you're going to talk about other podcasts. I do think, you know. And and I made this comment. I know John Stewart had made this comment, but I'd been making it for years before I ever heard him 
make it. I'm not calling him a joke thief. It's just a thought that I have it's for a long time. It's just a nickname that you sort of has caught on for him. And, uh, yeah. No, but I agree with you about the great thing about podcasts and about internet things in general is that it used to be that you know you had three broadcast networks or a couple of radio national radio networks, you, and you had a finite amount of time for everybody to get their you know, so you had a half hour show or an hour right. show, you know, and, you know, the news was 30 minutes. And so you'd have to report a certain way. And, you know, talk shows only had so much time. And it's weird to me that oh, what's happened in the modern age is that there's no reason for time to be limited on a lot of these things. And yet there's these self-imposed limits that happen like... 24-hour news channels that are constantly having a conversation that lasts three minutes and then saying, well, that's all the time we have. We'll have to continue this conversation another time. And I always feel like, no, why don't you just, why does it have to be so structured? Like, come back in the next hour and keep talking. Yeah. Um, Or just keep going. Like, like you used to have, like, Dick Cavett would have a talk show and you'd have a guest and they'd talk for an hour. Yeah. And now... Good luck finding an hour-long interview show with on anyone. TV with anybody. I think that just works. The hour-long interview works better with podcasts now. It does. I mean, just because who like it's not a visually exciting thing, and you'd rather it's like it's interesting, but it's a thing. It's like oh, I'd be, it'd be great to take this anywhere as opposed to I'm sitting on my couch. But yeah, you know what? You, said. you can make it visually interesting and interactive and fun all at the same time, and put it in a half-hour an block. It is possible. <laughs> I'd a, love to see it. Well, wait until January. Oh, I can't wait for Broad City. Um, I really can't wait for I'm not, it. I can't either. I'm very excited. Good slate of shows on Comedy Central coming up. Comedy Central, looking in the right places. Uh, making the right choices? Let's hope. Let's just say everyone's pulling from UCB these days. It is true. Scorsese, Comedy Scorsese. Central. Yeah. That's it. Uh, <laughs> everyone. SNL. Everyone. Um, Tosh but Pino. like as I was saying, the, the like twenty four hour news network, and you find more short form things on a twenty four hour mm-hmm. news channel than you used to find when you had three networks. Yeah, and as you're saying, like people who are doing five minute little podcasts, where it's like, and everything online is like, well, keep your video short. Uh, we don't want to have a video that's longer than ninety seconds because yeah. people won't watch it. I hate, I hate that. And you're like, well, can't. Uh, well, I can get into it on this. We're so deep into it that um, there was a um, a big argument. The biggest argument in the making of I'm Too Fragile for this was over an, ep- an episode that Tom Levin turned in the cut of it, and the cut was like eight minutes long. And I was like, I like it at eight minutes. And you know, I was like, it's great, but you need to cut it to under five. And we were like, we want this to be long. We both agree we like this one. And she's like, no one is going to... Can I admit something? Yeah. I don't watch I'm Too Fragilist that often because they're so short. <laughs> I save up watching them so I can watch a couple at once. Well. Because I like to watch content. I like to get in the rhythm of it. One of my favorite ones, this was the birthday episode. and But also it's been already, it's already yeah. been established that I am, I like you long, long stuff. content. And, you know, it's, well, it's like the, the, uh, Mudon and I got into kind of a fight. I was in Alaska on a tour co and I think we'd have the conversation that I was like, look, I really believe in this episode. And, uh, the, 
I said, I will do every, like, I'll do everything I can to try to get it extra attention to compensate for the fact that it's longer than we'd like. Like, if we're trying to keep these under five. Yeah, and also, but it's also, it's like, if it's good, people will watch the thing you made. And also, if someone's going to be like, eight, no thanks. And it's like, well, screw you. Screw that I, person. I felt like if anyone makes it past the third minute of one of our episodes, that person's in it. They're yeah. in for it. Most people drop out of watching a YouTube video in the first 10 seconds. And also, uh, not to, but it's like, okay, so you didn't, uh, so if this gets like, even if you got like two hits, like, so? Like, you don't, you're not losing yeah. your well, ass her, well, her, on anything. <laughs> like, there's nothing. Oh, fuck. Yeah. No, yeah. Now, Catherine, Nobody's going to be like, you can't make any more of these now. It's like, no, you can make as many of these as long as you want. That's the well, brilliance. Ca- Catherine's the- feeling at the time was that it was such a strong episode that we should not sabotage it by making it longer than people want to watch. And I said, look, I am going to, I promise you this, I will do everything in my power to make sure that the episode gets extra attention to compensate for its Which episode life. was it? The birthday episode. What happens in that? She gives me a... a um, uh, 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 the shoes, I right? See, uh, no, it was, no, that was a Christmas one. Uh, that was a very funny one. She gives me... Uh, she throws me a uh, quinceanera... Uh, like, uh, she gives me a... a uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, you hit it, it's full of candy. Uh, pinata? Uh, pinata. Yeah. And she throws me a, a quinceanera, uh, like a, because she knows that my birthday is a sensitive topic, that I'm getting older, and I have a complete emotional breakdown in the, that at first I'm like, I don't know what I think about this, this is weird, but then I'm like, no, I like this, I like this, I'm like a 15-year-old uh, uh, Latina girl, right. and, I, and let's do this next year, like this actually makes me feel good. She's like, no, you get one, you only get one quinceanera. Yeah. And I'm saying, no, you can't do that to me. Like, I want another one. Uh, and I start talking about how, like, I, I want to feel like this because I don't want to feel like, you know, you're getting to a point now, like, I'm, I'm turning, uh, I'm turning uh, 38 years old, and that's basically 40, and time is going faster, and before long I'll be 45, and then I'll be 50. And, for, and I just, I, I don't want to face those things. And it's me getting, like, increasingly, like, emotional. Right. And I was like, this one needs the build. It has like more of an arc to it. Yeah. It's weird. So I said to Mudan, I, she's like, no one's going to watch it. It's too long. And I said, look, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, do what I can to get us, um, featured on split cider, uh, the comedy blog. I'm going to get it featured on there. So that'll, that'll, the extra attention from that will make up for the fact that it's too long. And she's like, Split Sider's not going to feature uh, an eight-minute webisode on their website. And I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to make sure that I think they will. And I'm going to do my best to make sure that they do. I'm going to do everything I can. And she was like, well, they, they're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. So I took it as a challenge. Of course. And, mm-hmm. Classic Connor. And I felt like all I need to do is like get this to the right people at Split Sider, say, look, I haven't wanted to do this, but I feel like we have a strong episode. And, uh, I should always make sure that your batteries are still. Yeah. And I, I feel like I'm going to contact them. I'm going to say, like, look, we have this episode. It's coming out. We're really proud of it. And we wanted you to see it in case you wanted to do a feature right. on the thing. And uh, they, uh, Adam Fuji got back to me and he was like, um, we actually just featured one of your things in like a video of the week thing. Um, 
and I hadn't, neither of us had realized that they'd featured another episode in something. But then he looked at the episode that I sent him, and then he was like, um, actually, I think, I guess he liked it, and then he was like, let me uh, put you in touch with the person who does the features on like the best right. of the web or whatever. <coughs> so I got us the feature, um, and, uh, and then I was like, great, this is exactly right. And then Mudon was like, that's great news. And then she asked, uh, like after we'd done the feature or something, she was like, did you, uh, wait, did you send them the rough cut of the birthday episode? And I was like, yeah, that's what got us the feature, uh, was that they liked the episode. And she's like, that's a rough cut. I'm like, Tom and I don't consider it a rough cut. We thought, we were like, we think this is the final cut. And she's like, how could you do that? Like, how could you send a rough cut of the episode without consulting me to a comedy, to an industry blog? And she was like, so that I've done it. I said, look, I said, I told you I was going to do it. And she's like, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, you said, I said, I'm going to get us on Split Slider with this episode. And she was like, Split and you were like, Split Slider's not going to feature an eight-minute webisode. And I said, yes, they are, and I'm going to get them to. And I said, that was me telling you this is what I'm going to do. And she didn't take it that way. She interpreted it that I was just saying, like, I bet they will, or something like that. Right. And so I was in Alaska doing a tour co, and we were, like, going back and forth with these emails about, like, she felt like I, it was, a, like, a betrayal that I'd, like, gone behind her back with a cut she didn't like of the thing. And, uh, and I was like, well, I'm sorry that I got its attention. Like, I was, like, really getting mad because I was, like, it was, like, taking away. I was, like, dizzy yeah. and, was, like, couldn't believe that we, this is what we were fighting about is, like, I was like, she's like, no one will watch this. I'm like, no, they will, and I'll make it happen. Then she's like, you made it happen? And I'm like, yeah. And then she's like, how would you make it happen? Uh, but, yeah, that was our big, that was our big uh, fight. Wow. <laughs> What's the biggest fight you've been in lately, Matt? Uh, biggest fight lately. What's the last biggest fight? Last fight uh, with my girlfriend. would be a fight with my girlfriend. Really? Yeah, it wasn't big, but it was a fight. Did you hit her? No. <laughs> was it? No. Was it? Well, no, because in in Wolf of Wall Street, when Leonardo DiCaprio fights with his wife, he punches, he punches her. her in the face and in are the stomach. Are you saying you expect me to act like Leonardo DiCaprio? You are sort of the one. You are of our, of our community. Of our community, I am the most uh, Jordan uh, Bel- uh, Belford. What is it? You're, Bellman? you're the most Wolf of Wall Streety of all of us. That's so absurd. Can I just I say? You know that. I would be so bottom of the list. Can I just say? I think taking cabs are excessive. <laughs> I think it's a little bit suspicious mm-hmm. that you went to see Wolf of Wall Street and you tell us about this fight with your girlfriend. But now you deny that your fight was similar to the fights in Wolf of Wall Street? I'm not buying it. Yeah, out of nowhere, you're like, I got, I I got, got, I got real mad at my girlfriend. And I like, I'm like, you, now you're putting words you're about exact, it. I didn't say I got exact, real mad at her. I your said, exact quote was, I got real fight. mad at her. And let's just say, fists were a flying. That was your exact quote. I think. So. <laughs> I think. Astute listeners can go back. Um, Astute listeners. I think... As if there's a few that will just be like, oh, I guess he did say that. So, uh, as you're saying, so you uh, had taken some old quaaludes that had just kicked in. Lemons. They're called lemons. They're called lemons. Okay. And you were real mad at your girlfriend. 
but you couldn't get to the car, and the taxis are too expensive, as we know. Mm -hmm. Then what happened? <laughs> then what happened is it all kicks in, kind of right at that moment, and then I like it's like you discover a new phase. It's like beyond. It's like the cerebral palsy right. phase. Is now, what I, I coined it. This next segment is a new segment on our mm -hmm. podcast, which is I want you to tell exactly what the real fight was. Okay. And then JD and I are going to find the ways in which it's similar to The Wolf of Wall Street. Okay. Yes. So you want me to get into a personal relationship? As much fight. as you're comfortable with saying. Okay. Or like right past where you're comfortable. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> bear in mind, bear in mind, if this is something that your girlfriend wouldn't like to hear, there is always the chance that she might listen to this 12-hour podcast. And I'd say if she's already listened to this much of the podcast, it'll make her even angrier that you revealed this. Yeah, of course. So that's why I'm not going to get into it. Okay, speak as a blind item. <laughs> like a certain, a certain uh, tall non-Gentile was recently seen. Sure, sure. No, we just, it was a small fight. Uh, just maybe about, uh, what was it about? Just level of uh, just like a, like personal, uh, I would say like 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 living habits, just sort of like people like just like around the house, just sort of like how you would like want to be, like you know when you're kind of like cohabitating like with somebody, sure. like sort of like uh, kind of like how the Wolf of Wall Street lived in a big house with his wife, the Duchess of Staten Island, and he would hit on hot women that came into the house. Mm -hmm. While his wife was there. See, oh, the fact that wife, you're just yeah. stressing the word house, <laughs> yeah. I think we can indicate the first time this is he, a real reach. The first time he met his second wife was when she came into the house that he lived in with uh -huh. his first that wife. That they lived in together in a house. cohabitating situation. Sure. Right. Just their living habits. Well, our fight was, this was in a hotel room. Oh, not unlike the uh, hotel room that he went uh, for his bachelor party where they yes. renovated the 28th floor for $2 million. Right. Uh, trashed it. Mm -hmm. Yes. Nobody trashed our hotel room. Um, where, Where is your girlfriend from? She's from Pittsburgh. Okay. But she lives in... L.A. Los Angeles. And she lives in L.A. Mm -hmm. She ever lived in Staten Island? She has never lived in Staten Island. Have you ever lived in Staten Island? Never lived in Staten Island. So it would be inaccurate to refer to you or your girlfriend as the Duchess of Staten Island. Uh, it would be inaccurate. And wasn't she in the film, though, the Duchess of Brooklyn, I believe? Wasn't she from... She was from she Bayside, Bro Brooklyn. Bra no, Bay Bayside, Queens. Oh, was she the Duchess No, she was from Bay Ridge. The Duchess of Bay Ridge. No, she's from Bayside, I think. She was from Bay Ridge. Bay Ridge, because okay. it was in Brooklyn, but it was like far off Brooklyn. Yeah. So she was the Someone was from Bay Bayside, Ridge. though. Maybe he was. He was Maybe from Staten was... Island. No, he was from Queens. Okay. He was from Bayside, no, Queens. No, American Hustle, he was from Queens. Someone was from Bayside, Queens. May I think in American Hustle, which you uh, didn't I see. I didn't see. So Somebody get me a Metro bowling. card so we can settle this. <laughs> you need a Metro card? That that's a fun reference for people outside of New York. They'll think like, "Oh, I guess that's something you do in New York." Like we would settle this with a metro card. Oh yeah. But savvy New York listeners will know that's a nonsensical. A metro detail. card. That's a that's a local hit. It's a hint. Here's a here's a shortcut. Here's a, a hint. shortcut. Use a metro card. Use a metro card. That's a eight hour callback. That's right. Um, uh, what if I? Uh, and how did the fight resolve? Fight resolve. Why? Uh, honestly, is a boring, but. Boring uh, as in terms of a story, but good for the relationship. We heard each other's uh, points out. I'm like, what we like, uh, uh, like, like to do, like as individuals, sort of almost like in the in terms of like living, like living space stuff. Yeah, like sort of like how we like to just. What's your girlfriend's name? Mary. Mary. Okay. Um, now JD and I are going to, based on the limited information that <laughs> yes. we have, 
we're going to reenact the fight. But I can tell you how it ends. So before, so we just listen to each other's point of view, and then we kind of reach an understanding. It's like, okay, now that I know that you feel this way uh, about stuff, I'll try to change this stuff, and I know that maybe this thing you do maybe makes me like upset or whatever. Then we'll resolve this, and yeah, all right, resolved. All right, so JB and I are going to reenact the fight based on the vague description that Matt just gave us. All right. Um, And bear in mind, uh, well, no, this will be be made clear in the context of this. Okay, so here we go. Mary? Uh, Yeah. Can can we have a talk about your living habits? Uh, Sure. One second. Let me get out of the bathroom. You're treating this hotel that we're staying in like it's our house. Honey, I can't hear. One second. Give me a second. I can't hear you too well through the We're not in our house, Mary. We're in a hotel. Okay, now and I'm this is the thing I'm... you do. This is a living habit you have. What? Wait, you start... live in a hotel as if it's a house, and it's not. We're here tonight. We're here tonight, Mary. What? I was I, honestly, I was, I was. The molding was not exactly how I wanted. I was just doing it real quick. This isn't our house. What? But I wanted it like that. You live that. in L.A. Okay. And this is a hotel. Yes. You're from Pittsburgh. Right. And you're treating this like it's our house. Is it? A... Know... Okay. Matt, honestly, this is something that I feel like you and I do not see eye to eye on. Is a hotel not a house that you stay in for one night? Yes or no? Tonight, that's, that's while your, we are here. That's your living habit. Do you, you think of it that way? Oh my, Matt, do you have a house here in, in Utah? What? Where are we? Pittsburgh, Utah. That's where we are? What? what? Are we in Pittsburgh? What? And that's when the drool phase hits. It hits hard. When it hits, you know the next bit. Get off the floor! All right. That was basically like a David Mamet <laughs> scene. Connor, I think you sounded exactly like a David Mamet Good. character. Just repeating the vague information that you knew. If I... I do. I don't think I can do it right now, but I do a pretty good impression. I have done in the past a pretty good impression of... Because I've... Up to a certain point. I was going to do a real obnoxious accent for Mary, too. Oh, yeah? <laughs> Matt, what do you want? <laughs> that is not how she sounds. No, it's not. I do appreciate in that fight you made uh, kind of her 100% in the wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's how you approach arguments, Matt. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, let, wait, let's finish off. Let's, let's jump ahead like five minutes into it, okay? And, ow, Matt, what? why did you do Those that? Those are my fists, Mary. I hope your stomach liked them. Did you like those fists in your stomach? Man, I, I, just, I just threw up the mac and cheese we ordered all over the floor. I am the Wolf of Wall Street. Not that movie we saw. And that's when the second phase kicks in. Mary, do you... I'm telling. The thing... Mary, the thing. Do you know? The thing? I'm telling you. That's... No. Mary... I'm telling you, yes, yes, but a person, a person goes to a, Mary, you know as well as I do that you, you marry, you know, do I have to, okay, fine. That's pretty good. That's that a pretty good mammoth. That's pretty good. Uh, up to a certain point, I read every David Mammoth thing, even like his obscure like children's plays and weird little things. There was you a, gave me his weird Republican book. Which one? Whatever the, one oh, where the he, secret knowledge or whatever. Whatever, and he's just talking about like after nine eleven. Oh yeah, to, like get rid of the liberals and the real funny David Mamet uh, gift. If you want to give someone an obscure and I think incredibly amusing gift, sure. D- a dry gift though. 
David Mamet did a uh, wrote a children's book called Henrietta. Okay. Um, about a pig that goes to law goes to Harvard and then eventually becomes a Supreme Court justice. Yes. And it is perhaps the most joyless children's book <laughs> ever written. Like. It's illustrated by a proper children's book illustrator. And right. If it was accompanied by anything that was even like remotely like what any child might enjoy. Yeah. But I would say that not only would a child not enjoy it, but it's impossible even to enjoy like as a diehard fan of like David Mamet's writing in any sense. You read this book and you're like, who is this book for? Right. Because... Like the writing of it is like, once there was a pig, and as you know, there uh, there once were many things, but that is not the point. This pig was Henrietta, and for her, the pursuit of law was a thing most just. And it's written in that kind of dry and awkward sort of meter. That like that's, right embedded sentences and stuff where you're just like, what? what, what I can barely, I I can only read this because I trust that this will end in a proper sentence. Yeah. But to a child, it would be. Yeah. The most convoluted, confusing thing. For in the halls of learning, it is known that true dedication is its own reward. You know, everything's written in that very dry right. manner, and nothing fun happens in the book. She studies law and then eventually becomes a Supreme Court justice. Hell yeah. But there's no, the like... pig? The pig, Henrietta. But it's also like, he's not like... <laughs> Matt's shaking his head in disbelief that a oh. pig could possibly become a Supreme Court justice. But it's like... Any, it's a Scalia. <laughs> but it wasn't even like... I would even give it... A pig. I would give it partial credit. Justice Scalia and then a pig. Right there. I would give the book even partial credit if I felt like he was trying to make a comment about how like he hates the Supreme Court or something. It was like, and a pig. Even Just a like, pig. you know. And, but there's no whimsy. There's nothing fun about it. And I've given this as a gift to people because no one can believe this book exists. That's amazing. It almost feels like a sketch. Yeah. I, I, I've been saying that about like anything that seems like if you saw it in like an SNL yeah. parody or like somewhere in Tropic Thunder. Yeah. I feel like we live in a world now where there's a lot of stuff that feels like this. Well, like have you guys seen the trailer for I, Frankenstein? Yeah. It's a Frankenstein movie that's like with guns and explosions and backflips. And I was like, if they put this in Tropic Thunder, we would all be cracking up laughing. Yeah. Or the number of times that... You, you remember when the Energizer Bunny commercials used to be like a fake commercial and then the Energizer Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Those were like great. Like everyone loved those. Yeah. It would be like a fake movie trailer. You're like, this is... What is this? And it'd be like, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> but now we have Sherlock Holmes with like yeah. backflips and explosions. Yeah, You guys got to see. Yeah. Olympus Has Fallen is such a ridiculous movie. It's one of the weirdest movies I've ever seen because it's such a, like, first of all, I imagine it had a huge budget because it was like a big Hollywood movie, right? This, like, had a big release. The, like, effects are so, like, cheap. Like, I'm not, like, a visual effects guy, but even I was right. like, this looks like sci fi channel level stuff. Oh, man. You know what I wish we could do? What? Is watch with Connor. An Easter Bunny, Easter Bunny puppy. puppy, yeah. Ugh. I'd be fine with I that. Like yeah. Just putting that on, we talk about it. I yeah. Feel like any stupid thing you can think of now is not 
too stupid to make, it didn't actually happen. Like, the thought that just popped into my head is like, oh, um, an idea for a, like a, a, an Olympus has fallen type thriller would be um, that a, a, a criminal mastermind has put um, explosives into the balls of all of the male members of uh, the president's staff and is going to start setting up right. testicle bombs. And uh. that would just be like, throughout the movie, there'd be a series of people whose balls blow up. You just reminded me of... The movie would be called Tested. <laughs> so Morgan Freeman is uh, I don't want to sp- And the president has them in his balls as well And he'll be the last one So it's really a countdown it's I don't want to spoil anything about Olympus has fallen but, So Morgan Freeman's not the president But he is the secretary of state And he is, serves as the acting president <coughs> Literally every single one of his scenes Except for one is shot in one room. It was like yeah he did this In a day, in a day. And I love that when you see that and you're not- like oh they had this guy for a single day. Like, I did feel that a little bit in Wolf of Wall Street that I wondered, like, there was probably just one week where that room full of seats just filmed all of the... Yeah, I actually was just watching behind-the-scenes footage from the making of those scenes. Uh-huh. It was so fun to watch because there were so many people. Yeah. It was crazy. But I think it was just, like, two weeks of, like, those people. Like, let's do all these... Now. Yeah. 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 This is all. There's one scene where he like walks in on the meeting. He's like, "Oh, hello, Mr. President." Yeah. And then everything else is he's called into like the situation where he's like, "Okay, Two of the scenes him like launch the, the launch the bombers." Oh. Yeah. I, that will happen at some point. That a major cameo in a major movie will just be that they clearly like skyped with the actor. Or like, let's say like. Maybe like who would what do could that? what could be a great TV show will be marred by Low budget movie and a lazy who would be the first person to do that? I'm gonna throw uh, a name in the, the ring: Robert De Niro, Tom Cruise. Uh, I already sort of did it in Tropic Thunder. Oh yeah, a little bit. Hmm. Uh, oh, actually, you know who did it? Uh, kind of is uh, George Clooney in the Spy Kids movie. Oh yeah. Hmm. Or you know who did it is uh, the mom in The Sopranos. Yes. That ruined that show. She was dead. Yeah, they should not have made that scene. She didn't Skype in. You're roundabout trying to say that. No one likes that scene. I I think it's an okay scene. It, that you're wrong. Oh, no, it's okay. It's, that hurts your reputation. That hurts your reputation. It's a good look. It's a good scene. No, it's no, not. Using lines. Sure. Okay. They did the they best with like, like honestly, honestly, that scene. I wish you could shoot a version with Tony Soprano. And the actor who was doing of him just going, "What? Why are you saying these things? Why'd you just? Why'd you just? What are you talking about, Mom? You're just repeating random things from the past. Because it, it makes no sense." Yeah. Just like a completely different face, and just have that hand actor saying the lines. All right, we goof on the Sopranos a lot, but we like goof on the Sopranos. We goof on this scene a lot, but we're forgetting to mention that it's the greatest television show, maybe of all. I time. think that honestly kept it from being that. It is one of the all-time greatest achievements, uh, but that scene is disqualified. <laughs> it does not disqualify. It is. 
Uh, remember that scene from The Wire where they took uh, past actors that were in it and they uh, like skyped them into the show? You know, I was, I was no, I don't with, remember uh, that. with mutual friend Hunter Nelson about The Wire, and he has some interesting things to say about The Wire. Very critical of The Wire. I don't want to do. He does. Yeah. I actually, huh. I, I like the wire, but I, I, I was not as. I, I care. I carry nothing with it. See, I really like the wire. I'm not gonna. I carry nothing from it. He kind of broke it down. So it was very formulaic and stuff. And he, I, I wish I could do it justice. What he said, but I was like, yeah, I guess there is a little bit of a. Like he's like a lot of very obvious visual metaphors. A lot of. Uh, Nah, he broke it down in a funny way. I can't. I, can't. <laughs> you have failed I failed Hunter. We'd have to bring him on as a future guest. Well, I'm sure himself. he's listened this far into the podcast. I, well, what I would say is that there are shows, there are shows that do certain things better than The Wire does. I would certainly concede that, and that like, uh, even though there's good acting on The Wire, um, there's also. Uh. Did you lose your mic? No, no, I haven't lost my mic. Uh, have I? Have I? You One, might have. Check your two. check your thing. Am I still in it? No. I'm not in it. Yeah, we lost you recently. Yeah, you were lost. You ran out of batteries, bro. It's probably your... No, that's still got batteries. The receiver? Probably the receiver under the blankets there. Okay. Is it out of batteries? Um, Is it off? Yeah, if you don't see numbers... That means right, it's right All right, so Connor, Connor's refreshing batteries. There. Refreshing his batteries. We are. When is your uh, around one twenty? Okay, so we've got about two hours left. Anywhere in this? Is all your batteries? What about those right there? We should. Yeah, we should still talk okay what do you what do you have to say then matt um let's move on from tv shows yeah i don't want oh connor i don't want to i do want to save it for episode two no no i just want to say we got a couple more hours um i I just want to say that like it's true we have we have the length of of two more full long long podcasts podcasts. (laughs) um i would say that like the wire there are there are things that other shows do better in terms of... of uh, Is he back on that? Yeah, I'm back. Yeah, yeah, he was back. Um, there are things that like other shows are better than The Wire at, but the what's great about The Wire is it does things that a lot of other shows don't do. You know what I mean? I think it's one of those where it's like, if The Wire was the only show you ever watched, you would be missing a lot of great things that other shows do that it doesn't do as well, you know? Like, there's funny things on The Wire, but there are other shows that are way funnier than The Wire. You know, there are shows that are more emotionally compelling than The Wire. Um, The Wire is a very specific kind of storytelling. Um, And, uh, like, I would say even, even a show like Homicide Life on the Streets, which is not a perfect show, but was, like, the prelude, one of the prelude shows to it... There are things that that show does better than The Wire, just in terms of sure, um, pure like purely dramatic things. I'm like sometimes I'd rather watch a great episode of Homicide. I, I actually think a lot of the acting on Homicide is better than a lot of the acting on The Wire. 
Yeah. You know? I'm into that. Like, I think I would rather, if I had to rate just from a pure acting point of view, like, is there any performance on The Wire that is as good as, like, Andre Brower on Homicide? Um, maybe not. Sure. You know? I don't know enough Homicide, but I can't comment. All right. All right, what else? I'm getting, I'm feeling myself getting mentally tired now. Yeah. Which means I'm way, I'm speaking way more freely. Mm-hmm. Comparing this to our first, when we first were coming down the escalator towards David Buster's and we're just narrating every moment yeah. what was going on. Yeah. The, the demeanor of our podcast has changed drastic, drastically. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I mean, what other stuff? Um, what else can we get into? Should we hash about? Um, I feel like Matt's got something cooking. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I'm trying to think about. Do you have any big goals, Matt? Yeah, I've got goals. Like, what are your life goals? What, are, what yeah. goals are you referring to? I don't know. I've been thinking a lot about, uh, like, family. Do, do you want to have a family? I think so. Kids? I think I do. Yeah. But uh, I think it'd be tricky to put myself in a position where I can do that. Sure. Because I'm going to have to, I feel like I'd have to make a lot of money and I don't know how I'm going to make enough money to support kids in the future. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, that was part of me making a decision. I made a decision. I probably, you know, I probably made it at a point where it was earlier than some people would say is wise or necessary but to me it felt like a decision that I had to make which was like I at a certain point before I turned 30 I was like I can't envision myself getting into a position where I will be comfortable enough or feel stable enough to justify having a kid and then I also I had this weird feeling of like if I uh have a kid, I'll never stop worrying about them for the rest of my life. Yeah. And I had, that was one of many thoughts where I'm like, you know, I can, I had a feeling of like, I can deal with, if my life ends up being just a screwed up waste of everything, I can deal with that. Like I can, I can deal with how I screw my own life up. I can be like, well, I didn't do it right. I screwed it up. But I thought about, like, I couldn't imagine knowing how unclear I was and unsure I was about my own life. I thought, I can't imagine how bad I would feel if I created a person and then I felt like I let them down or screwed up their life. Um, Or if they ended up having a bad life that I would feel like, even if I tried my best, I'd be like, well... That kid had a bad life, and I'm responsible for it existing. Uh, and I couldn't get past a lot of those thoughts. Um, Not to judge, but I think those are irrational fears. I don't think you have to really worry about that. Irrational? Yeah. Well, it's too late now. Yeah. Um, I think that we can speak freely. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't, I, I don't think that's a real... I don't think you can really screw and It's not necessarily kid. too late now. I feel it is. It's not too late. Within myself, I feel it is. Right. I know technically it's not. Technically it's not. Like, it would not have been usual Before for someone like your age to have wanna. kids. Yeah, but I don't want to have a Larry King baby. It wouldn't be a Larry King baby. Yeah, we're getting there. 
if no, Larry if King, your child was Larry King. No, like how Larry King, like Larry King, like a Larry King baby kid. is like thirty years from now. <laughs> yeah. Also, but like, I just feel like if I was going to do it, I would have done it earlier than now. Mm-hmm. And now I'm at the point where I'm I've already passed the the moment where I would have wanted to. Um, like I've already sort of made my peace with, because it's an incredibly painful decision for me to make. Because there w- was a point where I wanted that. Right. And then <clears throat> my feeling was I can either be comfortable gradually getting my own life together or I can throw my life into chaos and try to see if making another person will help. Right. And I felt like a lot of the reasons that I... I felt like a lot of the reasons when I looked at like why do I want to have a kid, I felt like a lot of my reasons were like, I don't think that's a good enough reason. Um, what were the reasons? I don't know. Like, I like like kids are fun. I like kids. Selfish it'd be fun re- to have selfish reasons. It'd be fun to have a kid that was like, oh, it's like me in some ways, and that's funny yeah. to me. Uh, I'm good with kids. Uh, 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 kids like me, and but I could also I could also imagine like being a really good parent for the first ten years and then not knowing how to handle it when the kid started becoming an adult. I think nobody and, knows how to handle it. But I could also imagine I could imagine blowing it in the second decade of being a parent to the point where it would be like I uh I could easily imagine getting to a point where like I don't I don't know how to do this and realizing at that point like I just shouldn't have done this. I mean, I realize most parents don't have that. Have that. Most parents, most parents don't have every ten year like, There's very few parents like, that look at their ten year old kid and are like, "Oh boy, I shouldn't have done oh, this." Oh boy. No, but I felt like a lot of the reasons were like <laughs> kids in like sixth grade at that point. Ah, uh, I shouldn't have done this. No, it's too late now. He exists. Ten years old. Oh, he's got a geography test. Too late. This is my fault. If it were. If it weren't for me, nobody would be taking that test he's taking right now. <laughs> that desk could be empty. Um, no, but I just didn't feel like the reasons that I wanted to have a kid were good reasons to have a kid. Well, what is a good reason to have a kid in your mind? Um, I don't know. That's a good question. What would be a good reason? I don't think, the I don't farm think, needs more hands. I, I do not think there's a good reason to have a kid beyond like just basic biology. If like, the world needs more people. Like we gotta, and also the, it doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't. But human uh, human nature is to reproduce. Right, like, our but, evolutionary nature is yeah. to c- keep creating ourselves. Right, I didn't, and I didn't feel like that was a good enough reason for me to have a kid. Sure. Um, See, that's but I don't think there is a good. I don't think there is a good reason. Well, that's the that's the thing that's that's also. I don't find the lack of good reasons to be a convincing argument for me to have yeah, a kid. Sure, yeah, uh, I'm not trying to convince you to have a kid. Oh, it feels like it. I'm feeling <laughs> the pressure. Um, no, I mean, I just didn't feel like, uh, my, I didn't feel like it would be a good idea. Sure. Um, and I feel like I'd be like half good at it. Which half would you be good at? I feel like I'd be good at, um, I think I'm good at, being fun for kids. I think I'm good at comforting kids when they feel bad. Um, I feel like I'm good at talking to kids. Uh, 
there's a real, um, you know, some people talk to kids like they're dumb. I hate that. I hated that as a child. I hate when adults do that. And then also there are some people who talk to kids like they're not kids. Um, And there's a fine line between those two things. Like, I don't think, I, I think you can talk to kids in a way that is both not condescending to them, but also you don't just talk to a kid the way that you talk to an adult. They're different. You know, like you can't sure. just, and I think there's some people who think I'm not going to condescend to kids. I'm going to talk to kids just like they're adults. And I feel like in some ways that's just as bad. I don't know if I would say it's not just as bad, but I would say <laughs> it can it, be worse. It, it can be worse because, so. well, sometimes the way that adults talk to one another is something that's like harsh and mean terrifying or, yeah. to a child. Yeah. Like, I think some people think, like, I give it to the kids straight. I don't feed them a bunch of bullshit. And it's like, well, also, you're, you make the world feel worse to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, 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 yeah, I agree with that. I see your point. You know? I think... Get out of there! <laughs> like, that's... That's mine! You don't touch it! Like, that's not like, look, I don't condescend to kids. If I'm furious, I let them know. Right. Well, I would say this is more like an angry... <laughs> Person, rather than like, no one talks to adults like that. Yeah, no, there are people who talk to adults like that. Connor, get out of my apartment. <laughs> I don't want you in here. <laughs> no, but there are people like that. I got on yeah, the but they're crazy of... people. No, I got on they're some... crazy people as adults. <laughs> That's rude. That's, <laughs> like I would say, you talk to a kid uh, like as you maybe if you're uh, you're a nice person. <laughs> no, <laughs> how many people do you know uh, on a personal basis that are just like? Get out of my way. Connor, what are you doing here? I don't know. Get out of here. Don't touch that. How how many people treat you like a stray cat? I I got on the subway a couple weeks ago, and this guy got on at the same time when he went, and he was there with his friend, and the guy goes, oh, oh, he goes, who's been eating cooked chicken on a train? (laughs) And I said, I didn't say anything, but I was, uh, (laughs) I was just sitting across this guy, this guy was like, oh, yes. This is the worst. You can't do that. You can't eat cooked chicken on the train. And he just started going around. He's like, who was it? Who was it? <laughs> and you could smell that someone had cooked chicken on the train. But I don't think that person was still in the car. I think someone had gotten off. But this guy was like going up and I was like, oh, it's the worst. witch hunt. And then he was on for like, he screamed for two stops and then he got off the car. <laughs> and I thought that was way worse than the cooked chicken. The fact that that guy was like terrified everyone on the train. So wait, your point is. Don't you don't want people like that. <laughs> you know, yes, you talk to agree. Them like you love them. No, and like, but I'll don't talk this. to adults like also that. This. Also, I'll also say this though. Like, like in the, there are different ways that like I do hate adults that scream at children about cooked chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Here's another thing though. But Here's, not even like they're a thing they did. Just the yeah. idea of cooked chicken. Here's being a difference. Around. Here's a difference. Like yelling at a train car <laughs> full of people like me. I hate guilty. I hate when adults yell at train cars full of children about who, eating cooked chicken. Here's another. Here's an exa- a good example of how there are different ways you talk to a child than you talk to an adult. Okay. Like earlier, if we were like, um, uh, "Hey, what do we want to eat? What does everyone want to, want to eat?" Yeah. Some people talk to kids and they'll be like, "So, what do you want for breakfast?" You don't ask a four-year-old what they want for breakfast. You give them their breakfast. Also, I'll say this: uh, you, 
we got to define what we're talking about with child because a four year old is much much different from uh, you'll agree obviously a ten year old. No, no difference. No difference at all. I would actually okay, argue there's could... not even physically a difference okay. between a four year old and a ten year old. We may have don't to... underestimate yeah. me. Don't assume. Can I backtrack on the point where I was like, yeah, there's still time to have kids. I think I think you're past it. I don't think you need to have kids. I think I am past it. Yeah, I don't think you need to have you kids. You swung hard. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just just the idea of kind of being like, they're physically the same. They're the personality the same. <laughs> Yeah, and don't yell but cook chicken. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so Even yeah, like, maybe you shouldn't be parenting. Kind of <laughs> a four-year-old and a ten-year-old. Well, four-year-old, you don't say, "Hey, what do you want for?" It's like, "Hey, it's time for breakfast." Here's yeah, whatever. but a lot of people think like, "Oh, but like, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna not gonna treat my kids different. I'm gonna ask my kids, what do you want for breakfast?'" A four-year-old child doesn't want to be given that decision. Right. They are comforted by the fact that you have breakfast for them. A four-year-old child wants to be four-year-old Matt Cohen. That's like my parents have got it. My parents have got it under control. I just four-year-old Matt Cohen. That was ten-year-old Matt Cohen. Yeah, ten-year-olds. Yeah, and that was that was (laughs) twenty-six-year-old Matt Cohen. Oh yeah. Like, I think there are ways of uh, when you're talking to a child and you're a parent or you're a guardian or you're even just in charge for a brief period of time of a child. Um, there's ways of talking to them that aren't condescending, but also are different than the way, you know, you don't make them an equal partner in the relationship. You're in charge of them and you're right. like, well, okay. we're going to do this now. So let's say you're in a trench car yeah. with the children yeah. that smells like cooked chicken. <laughs> yeah. What do you say to the kids to figure out who's cooked chicken it was? All right, guys. Someone, I know someone has a cooked chicken. I'm not mad. I'm not mad. But I want to know who has it because you can't – we have a hot food on the subway, guys. Everyone has to smell that. Some of the kids are vegan. Some are vegetarian. They don't want to smell the cooked chicken. Kids are getting off the stop right now. Okay. All right. I mean, even if, if one of the kids who got off has a cooked chicken with them, we still smell it. You understand? Like, so I'm not lecturing. Okay, now the, the train stopped and a bunch of kids are trying to uh, – Get off the train, but the yeah. kids trying to get on the train before those kids have gotten off. <laughs> oh, you assholes! You gotta let people off the train first. <laughs> um, no, I, I had um, one of my experiences when I was uh, working at the uh, my friend's preschool. It's a five-hour-old callback. Five-hour callback. Yeah, I worked uh, at my friend Jeff Falzone's preschool for like a year and a half when I, I lived in I Oregon. Yeah. And there was an experience where um, at one point, well, at one point, uh, briefly, I worked in the, there was like a summer school, and someone dropped off a kid who was really too young and emotionally not ready to leave his mom for the day. And this kid was named Owen. And my job for the whole morning was to try to keep Owen from crying. Because the mom had to go to her work, and she's like, I have to leave him. He was like, no, no, no. Like the kid was just like distraught. Yeah. Just you couldn't console this child. Yeah. And so I, even though it was supposed to be me and uh, it was Jeff's mother-in-law who was running the summer right. uh, uh, camp thing. And she, nor, it was supposed to be the two of us in charge of all the kids. And said she took all of the kids except for little baby Owen. Right. And uh, I, for, it was exhausting I, for like four or five hours, was just, I was able to distract the kid for... Like 30 seconds. 30 first. seconds. to I think the most I had distracted him for was like maybe a good three-minute haul. Yeah. Like I could, he would remember. Like I would be like, oh, 
oh, oh, what's happening to me? What's happening to me? And I'd like hold my belly or something. That's a weird, that would freak me <laughs> well, out. Well, no, because you run out of things. You run out of things real quick. Yeah. Like, like you'd start with simple stuff. Like, oh, look, look at the sky. Do you see that cloud, Owen? And he'd be like, cloud, cloud. And then very quickly you get bored of that. If you try the sky again, he already knows like the sky's Nothing a trick. Nothing going on up there. So you have to and start- then immediately be like, Oh my god! Yeah. Oh my god! I'm sick. Oh my god! <laughs> I, I wasn't doing like I was oh, no. sick. I need help. Like doing like I would, the alien birth. Oh, get help! Oh, get help! Like, I'm adult sick. I would do like unexpected. You're in things. charge, Owen. Like I'd be like, Owen. I Owen, need you, Owen. Owen, do you see this glass? Do you see this glass? I can't figure out what's in it. It looks like air, but I don't know if there's something in it. And then he'd be like looking to see—is there like liquid in the glass or something? And then like. 30 seconds to 180 seconds later, he would remember that his mom is gone forever yeah. and would just, and, and that was like a really, but I was like, at the same time, I was like, was it the kind of stuff where he'd be like, where's mom? No, he like, was, mom. He was, and then, cause that, I always, I feel like that happened with Bameson. It was like, mommy. And it's like, you'd be like, no, your mom's not here right now. And then suddenly like, oh, and they'd start crying immediately. And it was like, they, they like, it was like a weird power move where they like forced you to remind them that their mom wasn't there. Yeah. Like they put it up like, is mom here? And you're like, you wanted a line be like, oh yeah, she's just, yeah, she's like, yeah, she's right here. Just, she's right here. Little Owen was, I think, pre-verbal. Oof. He was like, he understood what you were saying, but he didn't talk a lot. Right. And the, when he did talk, it felt like a baby talking. What was he like? like One? Like, what was he like? One and he was half? like two. Or what was like, an idiot? Two and, two and an idiot. Should be... <laughs> Two and an idiot. Two, he should be verbal. <coughs> well, he just wasn't talking much. He'd say lots of like, "Where, where, mom?" Okay. And then he would go back to crying. He yeah, just wasn't talking just, to me. Yeah, broken up. Um, I, I, it's it's possible that because how old were you when you worked there? Um, I would have been twenty-five. Oh, no, no. Okay. yeah, yeah, around twenty-five, mid twenties, twenty-five, twenty-six. Um. I do know that after working at the preschool for a year and a half, um, someone made a comment to the kids about when I, I think uh, I moved away before the preschool like closed, before they stopped doing it. Right. And so they were like, Connor's moving. He's not going to be working here anymore. And it was discovered that the kids didn't realize that I worked at the school. They just thought that I was like the oldest kid in the school who was just like in charge of them. <laughs> Like, they just assumed I'd been at the school for a long time. That you were, like, big. And I was, like, I'd, like, won the, like, by being in charge, I got to stay at the school until I got big. But they did not oh, think it was Oh, that's a terrifying reality, is that they're, like, there's someone that just stays here forever. No, they thought it was nice. They thought I was just, like, Yeah, that old. sounds awesome. And... You commanded so little adult... Yeah. Of, of, like, an adult presence. And... Well, there was one day where to earn extra money, there was like a knitting group formed out of like some of the moms of sure. the kids. And, but there were two different, like Monday, Wednesday, Friday was the four-year-olds and Tuesday, Thursday was the two-year-olds at the right. school. And the knitting group um, was like eight, seven, eight or nine moms, I think. And I, they were going to be at the, using the school for their net, knitting group. And then I would look after the kids and look after the kids in the backyard where all the playground stuff was. It was just like like wood chip uh, on the ground and uh, right. like a swing set and stuff like that. And what I didn't realize was that um, it was a blend of the two year olds and the four year olds. Sure. And at the young end, at the at the low end of the two year olds was like this girl named Hannah, 
who was really pre-verbal. Like she was like a, a feral creature. She Oof. would be like, <laughs> it's like everything was like a weird little woodland creature talking. Yeah. And at the old end of the spectrum was this girl who really, she was four, but it was like, she feels like a preteen. Like she was too old for her years. Um, it, it, like her parents talked too freely Right around her, and I think she'd grown up a little too fast. It was the right. It was the rich family that paid for the school. Oh, right, right. And like that, they had a, a a daughter and a son, and I they were just like a little bit, uh, as far as I was concerned, a little bit too like um like the the younger boy would be like he would say stuff that he'd heard, and he'd be like, um, "Calista and I are having sex," and the mom would be like. Uh, Oscar, do you do you even know what having sex is? It's how animals make babies. And he was like two or three years old. Right. And the kid would just be like wide-eyed. And I'm like, that doesn't ex- answer that question. That just causes more That's questions. Just like, Raises further questions. Yeah, yeah. That, that is just... Uh, and so... But the older girl, like... Um, she when I, when I had this group that was like from two to four and I had to look after them, I realized like, oh, wow... There is nothing that a four-year-old wants to do that a two-year-old also wants to do, yeah. and vice versa. And yeah, very little. Yeah, except for like watch it, watch a what show? Yeah, know. but like, even the types of a, shows. The types of shows a two-year-old wants to watch. A four-year-old show is too confusing for a two-year-old. They're just getting used to walking around, and a two-year-old you know, just like, wants I, like shapes flying at their face. I think yeah, two to four is where they do market stuff i feel like i've seen two to four like ages for two to four i'm telling you based on my experience with this group look that not, the youngest one wanted chips yes, three-year-olds all like the same things two-year-olds four-year-olds don't like the same things i'm just going by the the labels on the toys the hyphens from that's the your toys problem cohen your numbers man you got hyphens man shooting from the heart man um get rid of the targeting system bro <laughs> But when so I'm looking after this group, and immediately the older group was like, "It's hot out. I'm gonna take my clothes off," and that I like was where because this is going. And oh, <laughs> and I was like, uh, "No, no, no! Don't. We're not taking clothes off out here." And then the youngest ones were immediately comfortable with that. Like, yeah, they wanted to take their clothes off and just run around naked. Yeah. And then I was like, "No, no, 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 no! Like, we gotta like everyone's gotta put their clothes back on." And then you had there was another little boy that I remember was like, "Um, um." I don't, I don't have to take my clothes off, do I? And I was like, no, Sammy, you do not have to take your clothes off. We're actually working on trying to get everyone's clothes back on. And, uh, and it was me like pleading with the older girl, like, please, you have to do it. I can't get the younger ones to do it until you do it. And this is a disaster for me. Like, yeah. I was just thinking, like, I can't have these parents come back out in the back. I'm like, they all took their clothes off <laughs> uh, and the, I couldn't control them. Honestly, it's funny as... And this is no fault of yours, but the big reason that you wanted them to have their clothes back on is because you did not want to be seen as an adult with a bunch of kids who weren't yours running around naked. It also was making the three-year-olds uncomfortable. Okay, sure, sure. Because the four-year-old was like, I don't care. I'm a preteen. It was an act of rebellion. The two-year-olds were like, well, we're just barely used to having clothes. Like, we're still basically babies. Uh, (laughs) That's not how they would phrase it. That's what they would say. But their feeling was like, oh, yeah, like... We can oh close off yeah I remember close this. off yeah that was the best time of my life <laughs> uh, I hate these shoes they're like little traps for my feet yeah and yeah I mean 
the it took me a long time. Like I was me chasing naked kids around the yard, being like, "You got to put these shoes back on," and, and being terrified that it would just be like, "I feel like this is how things get misconstrued." Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but they didn't, and you're fine. They didn't, and I'm fine. But a lot of them have weird sexual perversions now. Because That's the of thing that, that disturbs me about minutes. the passage of time is like the little kids that I still think of. When I left that town, I had a f- I the, my thing was like those kids are all basically dead to me because they're all going to be different people. Yeah, like m- they won't remember me. None of them within, will remember you within but, a few years. But they'll love Randy Weaver, the fake character that I played. Um, no, the member of uh, of the of, of uh, Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge. Um, but I'm like, those kids don't exist as far as like a few years time. And now what's weird to me thing is like, oh, those kids are teenagers now? No, probably older. Uh, 12. Uh, if they were four like, in 2001. Yeah. yeah, so they're like 14, 15. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, so like those, those kids that I think of as frozen in amber is just like, they like stories and puppets. What if in five years you dated one of them? I mean, that's where you—that's where you really do need those kind of um, awarenesses to keep from making those kind of yeah uh, mistakes could. in your life. You technically could date. legally, <coughs> but then you'd be like, I well, remember, I remember a, when I was twenty-five and I was begging you to to put, put your, your clothes back clothes on. Back on. <laughs> <laughs> what a great pickup line! Ugh, hey, disgusting! Ugh, I uh, hate that. I remember when I was begging you to put your clothes back on. Uh, why don't we rewind 20 years? Let's just say summer's on. Hey, tell me if this is the creepiest pickup line you've ever heard. Um, hey, I'm Connor. You might know me as Randolph Weaver um, of The Shed. I do um, I do think, you know, like those like... Um, and it's weird to think that historically speaking, like... It's weird. There's certain things I find weird when I think about it in history that it's like, oh, you don't have to go back that far before it was acceptable for like a man, like a, a past middle-aged man who has owns a little property to be like, I'll take this child bride. Yeah. Like you don't have to go back that far before what we consider completely I mean, unacceptable. I mean, thing basically still happens. If you're rich enough, you can do it. But like, and, like, you, you don't, can't you, take a child. You don't have to go back at all. You just have to change location this day and age. Yeah. There's countries where that is But a like thing. a 14-year-old bride, in our modern view of it, would be like, that is wrong. Yeah. Like to the point where it's like, if Donald Trump tried to take a 14-year-old bride now, he'd be, he'd be murdered. Society would tear him apart. I don't know, dude. I don't know. He'd go to prison? Woody Allen, man. She was of legal she age. She was of age. She but, was 21. But he knew her when she wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, but there's no law against knowing. And the heart wants what it wants. <laughs> right. But my point is... I was just quoting what Woody Allen said. Yes. Um, no, but I... Is he wrong, though? Well, I do increasingly, as the more time passes, when you realize, like, oh, this is the longest rela- and most stable relationship of Woody Allen's life, that, like, he's still married to Sun right. Yi. That is a weird fact that no one would have predicted in 1993. No one would yeah. have been like, well, 
I predict this relationship is going to last. <laughs> you, like, people still think. Let's talk about stability. <laughs> people would. People still think of like Woody Allen and Diane Keaton as being like, oh, that's a significant right. relationship in his life. It's like, no, they dated very briefly and then made a bunch of movies together where they pretended to date. But like their actual relationship period was really short. Whereas his relationship with Sun Yi is now, I think, at least more than double the length of his relationship with Mia Farrow. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I don't know, I think if Donald, if Donald Trump was like, I am marrying a 14-year-old woman. Yeah. People would be like, this guy's a scumbag. But people who are like <laughs> into Donald Trump would spin it. They absolutely no, would. You are punishing success. That would be a, like people who are in the Donald Trump at this point, he can do anything. Yeah. You're yeah. right. But that is also a small, small sliver of degenerate I think society. You think. I think that the people who were in, into Donald Trump, not just into how many books, he said like what, five books? Yeah. Someone has to be buying them. Yeah. But I mean, it doesn't take that many people to make a book a success. Like, if the number, like, a TV show that gets, like, 4 million viewers, people are like, no one's watching this. But if someone sells 4 million copies of their book, they're like, it's a bestseller that everyone's reading. Also, a New York Times bestseller, as you know, is a, not a statistically driven list. No. It is editors cho- that choose the books. Uh-huh. So a lot of times bestseller lists are not actually bestsellers, and it's just <coughs> contractual obligations or... Editorial. I think America is crazy about Donald Trump, though. Most people hate him. I think America is crazy about him. I don't know if that's true. I think I think you're absolutely correct that the people who like him, if Donald Trump said, I'm going to be marrying a 14-year-old beautiful woman. She's the best woman I've She's ever beautiful. met. She's, She's beautiful. She's got a nice behind. She's got number one figure. Shave Bush. <laughs> I think it's personality shaved. worth a million miles in Donald Trump signature handkerchief gold. I think the people who loved Donald Trump five minutes before that announcement would be like, I still love him and I love his new bride. <laughs> um, but you I think liberals say you're liberal and then Donald Trump tries to marry a 14 year old bride and who's the who's the who's, who's liberal now? Who's liberal now? I how many people do you think love Donald Trump like that much? What's your estimation? I'm willing to say I'm willing to say that there is no one who actually feels genuine love for Donald Trump. Even am, no, even amongst his even family. Among, no, I'm willing to say that not counting Donald Trump himself. I don't think you could even go to his closest personal circle of people. I think if you really drill down deep, like be like what's the test of like do you think this is like a good guy? Yeah. Like, like, even Wait, if you here's, need... the t- here's the test. <laughs> you put a gun to his head, and you say, any of you can take this bullet instead. Oh, no one. The only way... I will say this. I think people who love Donald Trump, there's no one who... <laughs> like, I think Donald Trump would, I like, think... scold them for taking... Like, what are you doing? I think... I'll say this definitively. Anyone who would take a bullet for Donald Trump... I think if you investigated into it further, you'd find out, oh, it turns out that guy wanted to take a bullet 
and he was looking for any way that he could. Oh, take this, a was bullet. A like, this was he, just a robot. This was just a. This guy a loved toy. taking this bullets. Guy, <laughs> this guy, his ambition was to take a bullet. He had tried to get shot several times yeah. in the past. This and then guy he saw this opportunity. He was nearby, and he, he actually didn't do it for Donald Trump. He did it for himself. Yeah, this guy didn't love Donald Trump. He loved taking, taking bullets. bullets. <laughs> He had taken five bullets previously. That's and why he, he was so happy in this situation. He has, a, he has a tumbler about how much he loves taking bullets. And when asked... And it's called Bullet Time. When asked... And uh, the, the, the blog title is like a gif of Neo dodging a except bullet. Except the bullets are getting dodged. Except, except then the bullet and like fake blood shoots out of his chest. And when asked further, but you've heard of Donald Trump, right? He might even say like, no, who? No. He goes elephant trunk, elephant trumps. Um, I will say there's no one in his personal circle. I think if you go around around one interview, does he have children? Yeah, yeah. Okay, around one. Donald Junior, right? Around one. Ivanka, right? Uh, You're the the expert, man. You're the guy who loves him. Um, I think you do around one polling, and you'll get some people saying like, "Do you love Donald Trump?" They'll be like, "Of course, of course, I do." Then when you start like. Talk if you do. A, do you really love Donald? Then Trump? you do a round two where it's like, okay, now it's not what's his like, favorite food. It's not just like a yes or no answer, but let's talk about the nature of what love is, and you get a definition of what they think love is. You'll either find that they have the wrong definition of love, or once they really start thinking about it in terms of like what love means, there's like actually, you know, he's fine. I mean, he is my father. He's fine, but I don't, I wouldn't. I'd say love is maybe strong. Like I enjoy being his daughter. Is that what you mean? I enjoy... This is a harsh, I think, indictment on the Trump children. On the Don. Of which there are Donald Trump Jr., Ivanka Trump, Eric Trump, Tiffany Trump, and Baron Trump. You know who got the short end of the stick? Who? Eric. <laughs> Eric. Everyone got uh, grandiose idiot names. They got fancy names. Ah. Baron. Princess. Ivanka. Eric. <laughs> He spelled Eric with three K's at the end. Or like, it's E-R-I-Q-U-E. Yeah, Eric. <laughs> I, um, wish I, I wish I could say that it was that. But. I mean, I don't like to be negative. There are a handful <laughs> of people. No, there are a handful of people. I don't like to be negative. Cut back to, if you sat down, all of Donald Trump's family. They would have either the wrong definition of love or they would realize that love does not apply to this man. Um, there are a handful of people that I think are so deserving of scorn. Uh, Who are those people? Well, I mean, because Donald Trump is not like he's not he's committed a buffoon, hate crimes but he's a, against. No, but he's a mean-spirited person who lashes out every chance he gets. I think he has a nice Twitter. What? You think his Twitter's nice? What no. do you? <laughs> um, no, he's nice. I think he's like he just tells it how it is. <laughs> he's we're, very... not gonna, we're not going to comment on the fact that you are sarcastically smiling. Yeah, just let our we're just going to let it feel to believe like your, that you your tweets. That. Please. That's what your tweets feel like. You, don't, you need to put smiley more emoticons at the end of your... I think all your tweets will be solved by little smiley faces at the end of them. I think so. Because that so. is what made that joke palatable in the room, but probably not to the long-time listeners to this podcast. Uh, yeah. Is your smile. Um, I think, like for instance, one of the things that upset me the most in the past year was the guy who had those women in his basement when he was in prison for like a week and then he killed himself. Right. It really bothered me because I was like, 
oh, you don't like being locked up? Right, exactly. I'm like, you're the one, you're the one guy that I, comes to mind first when I'm like, who should have to be locked up for a long time? How right. about the guy who locks people up for a long time? Like, that seems like a perfect, uh, it's not even one-to-one enough because you're not, you're going to be locked up in a place where you might not get tortured. Right. So like that, that guy locked all those w- women inside his basement. His basement for, and then, for years. And, and then, then he was locked up for a week and he's like, I hate this. I got to get out of here. Right, exactly. And then Donald Trump, on the other hand, he, he fires people for seemingly no reason from The Apprentice. Yes. I'm on the same page with you, man. He does fire people. They're both, uh, they're both bad people. They're not equivalent. If I had to pick, that was my point. Yeah, they're not equivalent, but they're both worthy of. They're both deserving of scorn. Where's are they line? unlovable? Are they both unlovable? Um. Well, I feel like it's a pretty. I can pretty confidently say that no one loved. Well, his brother actually was fine with him, right? So he actually, until he was found out, he was doing better than Trump. Oh no! What before people really knew him? Who's someone that doesn't abuse or torture humans? That's deserving of scorn? That's deserving of scorn. Hmm. I mean, I could probably think of political people, but I don't want to really get into that because right. that's uh, predictable. I mean, I guess Donald Trump's political, but I don't really think he is. I think he's just like mean-spirited. Sure. Um, I mean, I would say there's probably some people who have like uh, harsh personas that I feel are deserving of harshness. I think someone like Simon Cowell. Right. I feel like that's someone who... I think what I'm most outraged about in a personality like that, and I guess he's like a minor celebrity at this point. It's certainly faded from the the peak of when he was like yeah. everyone's go-to mean critic. Yeah. But I like someone like that who thinks he's funny, I think is deserving of, especially someone who's critical of people in a way that's very mean-spirited and he thinks he's witty. Yeah. I think that person is deserving of wittier people than him taking him down. Yes. Um, I think actually the main. What are you doing, Matt? Just I'm doing my belt. It's too tight. Okay. I'm not also, sometimes you stand for a long time. You got to adjust your boxers. It's true. I just wanted to know. Yeah. Um, I you know I do think even though I think there are areas in which you can feel some sympathy for her, I think one great political example. It's very obvious, but I think this aspect of her hasn't been talked about so much. Would be like Sarah Palin, for instance. Right. The, it, this hasn't been talked about a lot. A lot of people t- focus on her like gaffes or her things where she's yeah. not very knowledgeable about certain things. But I would actually say that one of the things, like she'll do a lot of things where she's like, the media has been really mean to me or comedians have been really mean to me or they've made fun of me. But I would actually say that her like national coming out on the, on the main stage of the, the Republican National Convention in 2008, if you go back and watch the speech she made where she came out and was very like smug and self-satisfied. Right. And she just like made very mean-spirited, sarcastic, not very funny, but very easy when you're pandering to a political crowd. And yeah. I think Democrats, liberals can do this just as easily, and I don't like it when they do it either, when it's like easy, sarcastic jokes that get yeah. like laughs from a hometown audience. Yeah. But she came out and was like making fun of, uh, it was the same kind of jokes that Giuliani was doing that, that year that was like making fun of the fact that Obama had been a community organizer. Right. And she came out and she's like, I'm the, I'm the mean, sarcastic girl that I'm here to smirk and make a lot of uh, sarcastic remarks uh, and in my like national like premiere right. as, a, as a figure of note. And I remember thinking, like, 
you're really asking for it because when you come out like that, you've got no goodwill in the bank. Yes. And you, if you're going to come out and on your first go-round, you're going to go after everybody like that, you can't be surprised then when everyone's like... And she still does it. Like it's, now it's a defensive thing, but she loves to make really easy, sarcastic remarks that are needling things, and then she's like, why are you picking on me whenever anyone yeah. responds in kind? But is she unlovable? No, I actually think... Um, if you put a gun to her head. No, I wouldn't say that. I actually think you probably... I think she's someone that she's trapped in a a maelstrom of like a, a cycle of celebrity and attention that Absolutely. she is in some ways choosing to remain in, but also kind of maybe feel she can't get out of. Right. I feel like if Sarah Palin were to come into this apartment and hang out with us for the evening, I think we could probably... Uh, watch TV shows and have fun conversation and get along really well with her. Connor, yes. I want you to go open the door right now. I mean, I'll do it, but there's no way she's here. Connor's walking over. Right now, his face does not have a huge smile over it. Ladies his and eyes gentlemen, have not we may up. witness history here. Now he's walking out to my actual apartment door in the lobby of the apartment. I heard him open and then close the door. Bad news, guys. She's not here. Give her, okay. give her a couple. There was no one there. Astoria is tough because the streets are all the same. Very tricky. But there are people like I feel like. Don't you think? I think that's not an unrealistic notion. That if I agree, if uh, <coughs> and I feel like that's less likely with Donald Trump. In a weird way, yeah. I feel like we maybe could have a good evening with him. No, <laughs> I would say there's a zero percent chance we would have a good evening, but we would not have a good evening together. Yeah, it would well, be oh, a- if Donald Trump were to come in here, I think the first thing he'd do is complain. Yeah, I think he'd be miserable, be a miserable prick. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he would- <laughs> I'm right about him. I'm right about him. He would immediately make some snide comment about my apartment. He would be uh, like, "Oh, this is like what a, a, a hobo lives in." Yeah, he'd be like, he'd be like "Oh boy, talk about Can the I just economy." Say this is the worst apartment I've ever been in. I think it looks like garbage. You got what are these sticky color? Post-it notes on the wall. I think he'd have a problem with everything. This is a he'd loser. complain about getting here. I think he'd like. Yeah, just I don't like them like in Queens. Or yeah, he. This wouldn't. is the garbage town of the of New York City. <laughs> <laughs> you um, in Queens is the garbage town of New York City. Yeah. Um. Like I think he would be so. He'd be miserable. unpleasant. It would be funny to us. We would enjoy it because <laughs> we would. It would, it would just be, be insufferable and weird. I think Sarah Palin, she would put on a, a, a mask of politeness. And I as long as we didn't talk about political issues, yeah, I bet we could have a good time with her. And I also even think if we hung out with Sarah Palin to the point where we were all comfortable, we started talking about things, and and she, and it was clear that like we were like these three like liberal comedians, mm-hmm. and uh, but we'd been nice and we're getting along, and maybe we order out food or something. I think there could come a point where we could have a conversation with her that would be like, um, you know, I wish people would be more like this. Because I think, you know, and to be honest, like, I wish people would be less sarcastic in politics. I feel like there's more common, I feel like you have way more common ground with Obama than you let on because it's part of, uh, like, right. before you were a national figure, you thought he was a reasonable guy. Whereas before we got to that point, I think Trump would call us all pussies. Yeah. I, I don't think if we were like we're gonna order out food. I think he would like be so. 
he would roll his eyes right away. Like, I wouldn't eat. He'd I make a joke about where we're going to get the food from. I wouldn't eat food that you ordered over a telephone. I wouldn't eat food in this apartment. I'd be worried if I ate food in this apartment, I'd get a venereal disease. He, his, his driver waiting outside in the car. Yeah. That car, that engine would be revved. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> he would have it set up so that the He'd heating, in, the, heating in the car only affects the part he's in in the car. And he would make the, 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 <laughs> the driver, driver live in cold. cold. Be ice cold. The driver is also a skeleton with a flaming skull. It is. Roll down the windows in the driver. <laughs> oh, Mr. Trump, Mr. Trump, no, please. It'd be way cheaper for him I to just this leave once. the guy. Leave the heat on normally, but <laughs> I earned says, the right to have warmth by being a winner. I'm not some loser driving around winners. I think Sarah Palin would take off her shoes eventually to get comfortable. Donald Trump would never take off his shoes. <laughs> I'm worried if I take off my shoes, I'll get another venereal disease. Donald Trump would say he had to leave because he had to go to the bathroom. Yeah, we have a bathroom right here. Uh, thank this looks you. Like a third world country. I can't go here. You know, this looks like Obama's Kenyan toilet. <laughs> Who's another person? Because I've just said like that's someone that is somewhat deserving of this. A lot of the scorn that's directed towards her. Who's someone? Do you guys have suggestions? Ooh. Hard for me to think. I mean, I Trump is an easy target because he's just so hateful, immediately loathsome. Like, there's a lot of people that get picked on that I don't. Know, I think I would get along with fine in a social situation. People who are like real jerks. Who's a real jerk? I guess there's, we're lucky there's not too many jerks in this world, huh? Think of like a, like somebody who was like, yeah, if I, like, I can't think of like, I, I think. The oh, thing like is, the head of the Westboro Baptist Church, the the right, God hates fags guys. Have you ever seen the the BBC doc? The with, Louis, yeah. Louis Oh, it's great. But it's weird because he makes you empathize with them a little bit. Not empathize, but he makes you see them as people. Well, and Louis, he's he's the person where he was like, that was the interesting thing is talking about the Sarah Palin thing is he was like it was actually pleasant to be with the family as long as you didn't as long as you weren't talking about that <laughs> stuff but otherwise it was a pretty Louis normal Theroux, I family. love Louis Theroux have you ever seen other stuff that he's yeah. done he's great at that yeah you know um, he used to be on the show TV Nation the Michael Moore right. TV show and I, I can't prove this I've never seen this is just my own personal theory but I got the feeling because he had a couple of great segments and then suddenly he wasn't on that show anymore right and I have a feeling that he was maybe considered distractingly too good to be one of the... Because Michael Moore would do segments on the show and then other people would have segments. Right. I have a feeling that he got bumped from that show for being a little too good because his segments were really the best. Right. Like, Louis Threw did a segment where it was... Uh, he was visiting the Ku Klux Klan and it was at a time when they were trying to use Madison Avenue public relations firms right. to rehabilitate their image. Yeah. So Louis Threw went there and as a British person... They found him like disarming and charming, and they completely like opened themselves up to him. Yeah, and he made them just through their own words, without even realizing it. Just by pointing out things, he made them look like what they are. Yeah, exactly. Um, but a lot of his later stuff, the more he's done more long form stuff, he does tend to like want to go into these situations and be like, "Who are you as people, and is there anything good about you, even if I show all the other parts?" Right. Because the Westboro stuff, like, he had these interesting conversations with the mom about, like, yeah. the things she's scared about and, like, you know, what it's like raising kids and stuff like that. Yeah. And then there's, like, you know, every now and then she'd be like, well, let's drop something about him being a Jew or something and it would be weird. But, like, 
eighty percent of the conversation would be like normal and yeah, like a caring mother. Those people are good underneath. Those oh, yeah. are good. Pippi Longstocking. I believe. It. Except for Trump. Uh, you're the one who said he was unlovable. Yeah, but then you, when you we got you going on it, you started talking about what a prick he'd be. If I he would came say, here. If, I'd say, uh, if coming to visit, he would be a miserable prick. What that about doesn't if mean we he's not like a good what dude if, deep down. Which I don't know. I don't know. What if we went to visit him at Trump Towers? I think he'd as, be as he wouldn't be as mean. I think he would just blow you off completely. Like he would. You think he'd let us in? Uh, for a meeting with him? It, well, I think for the thing, absolutely not. But let's just assume like we had to come in. I think he'd be as like, boy, like he would just like, but he wouldn't be as like awful like, as mouthy. if he had to. He'd so, be mouthy if he came here. If we yeah. came there, he'd just blow us off. He'd be like faking a phone call or yeah, writing an email. Be like, ah, oh, sit down. And then we just have to wait. Is there any? Is there anybody else who's loathsome in our culture? Uh, that aren't political figures. I'm having a hard time thinking of people that are. <coughs> She's not loads. Political or criminal figures. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Jenny McCarthy, that stuff. I consider that criminal, though. Yeah. I consider that political and criminal. Her thing about not getting vaccinations. Yes, I, I don't think I, she's that is a that is one person, of the more that's like that's one of the more like horrible. dangerous, awful yeah. things that a person can do. So you don't watch the View now that she's on it? Uh, yeah, I stopped watching once she joined the cast. I like your resolve. I do have a goal of getting on the view. I can't watch a second of the whatever cast it's been. Yeah. I cannot watch more than 10 seconds without clawing my eyes out and then having like a moment of just like depression realizing that a lot of people watch that. What about when Whoopi's talking? Do you like that? No, because she's also, she would make points that were not good points. Whoopi's perfect. Right, but no one would use any logic in their arguments. It was all illogical arguments. I do genuinely believe there's a chance that I could figure out a way of getting on the view between now and the 2016 Olympics. Yeah, sure. Why not? See, this is the counter I want. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. No, I think it can happen. This is what I want. Um, this is the version of you I want. The version of Connor that tries well, always, to get on the this view. Has been, that's all, you know how I was like that through the whole presidential campaign. I always believed yes. that... Uh, but the, that's what I the, like. The goals that I had would be achieved, and most of the time they were in some weird way. Uh, the Paul Rudd thing still—that's a heartbreaker. Yeah, I love that though. Yeah, it's a little bit of trivia that um, it turns out that Paul Rudd is a fan of the Gethard Show, mm-hmm. but he was catching up on episodes, and there were the episodes where I was begging any member of the Friends cast to be my vice president, including friend Paul Rudd. Uh, and we found out later that it was possible that he would have agreed to do it if he'd been watching at that time. He like told Gethard, he was like, yeah, I, if I had been watching live, I would have gotten in the cab and gone down there immediately. And I felt so bad watching it that I, it had already happened. And it was like, oh my God, Man, imagine if Paul Rudd just walked into moment. the studio. I would have gone berserk. Whatever, you got Larry Hankin. I know, that was great too. And that was great in that I feel like that was great in that I made that happen out of almost yeah. nothing. Like I literally was like, oh, he has a website. Oh, he has an email. Okay, I'll leave my phone number. And then I got a message from him. I'm like, oh, okay, we did it. That um, was such a weird everything. Everything about that was weird. Uh, it was weird that within... Because both of those plans, the the Jimmy McMillan debate and the Friends thing, yeah. the plan was 
well, eventually I'll get no response and then I'll... We'll deal with that. That'll be a funny part of it. Yeah. Like I had planned to like uh, destroy all my friends' merchandise on the air and like throw a tantrum when right. no friends responded. Uh, and then you and got then, one, like, yeah. I got one. I'm like, this is genuinely happening. We're making this happen. Yeah. Yeah, but I do have the goal. I feel like The View is a TV show that it's a major TV show that I feel like there's some way that I could get on there. Yes. I could I, see that. I'd like to see that. I feel like I could get on there and be in my Olympic outfit and sit on that couch with them and be like, talk about dreams coming true. And like, this is my dream. I would go on and not try to do comedy with them. I would go on and just be talking about like, you know, I do have the goal. I do want to be in the Olympics. And I, if you have a dream, it can come true. And so your dream can come true. I mean, you all, do you have dreams? Like, I would just want to talk to them about like their dreams. Like, yeah. Like Barbara Walters, like, what was your dream to be a journalist? And then you made it come true. Like you made it come true. There were probably people who were not rooting for you. Yeah. And yet you made it happen because dreams can come true if you can imagine them. Yeah. We should, we really should have gotten you to a curling facility. Uh, I think race walking will be what I end up doing. Ugh. You don't like it? Uh, I've had a dream for the longest time to enter in a race walking competition. Mm-hmm. When the gun goes off, just start sprinting. <laughs> Just to see that, have that image of all these idiots race walking. You would probably throw at least one person off. Like you would probably yeah. disqualify at least one person who would instinctively be like, ah, "Oh no! Like, I didn't mean well, to, but he was running so fast. Like, I didn't know." Uh. My friend did race walking in high school. Well, because you know the funny thing about race walking is that the rule of race walking is that you have to have one foot on the ground at all times. It's technically impossible. Or no, no, no. It's possible, but uh, basically, with action photography now, all the photos of race walking events. All the photos are with both of them off the ground yeah. to the point where it's everyone is cheating to the point where the whole thing is pointless yes. because they're all just breaking the rules. So what it is, it literally is just like the butterfly of running where it's like, no, here's with, a slower, dumber way to No, I would, to, do it, I would do it for real so that there was no way. You can't, that, you can't bend your knees like that. What do you mean? Like you can't bend your knees. You have to keep one leg straight. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah, it's, I can do it. This is also the visual component of this podcast where yes. we are... Race rock, but literally, if you watch them, they have to do a hip thing. Yeah, I can do that. Uh, it's a it's but a, I'm also a gonna, pointless dumps. It is not the most efficient way to go any distance. But I'm also now that you've said that, I'm also going to make a point of the fact that everyone else is cheating. Yeah, like I'm the only one doing it. Look at any action photos of me. I'm the only one really doing it. I'm the only champion here. Or you should say that you want to do it more, and so you're going to keep both feet on the ground at all times. You want to make sure that you don't cheat because you think cheating is the worst thing. So then it's like with race walking. Do you have to bend your knees? No. <laughs> <laughs> that would be the funniest video of all time. Because also, you know, race walking events are thirty miles. Yeah, <laughs> I would do it. <laughs> you couldn't do that for one mile. I'll do it. You could not do. I'll do it. You could not scoot. I will try to visually describe it. Keeping both feet on the ground, no, scooting what it is, inches slowly. at a time. It's like one of those... Uh, that would take you <laughs> like a day, I want to say. No, it would take like two days. 30 miles? Um, I can and stop it. at a speed of <laughs> miles And I was also just doing that. Less than I was a mile also, an hour. I was also just, Way less. I was also just doing that in probably the optimum conditions, a smooth hardwood floor and socks, <laughs> as opposed to on any kind of outdoor terrain. Um, I can do it. I wanna, see, what will be great about that is that there will be a moment where you will have to quit. And the footage of you quitting, Race scooting, will be 
<laughs> quitting scooting, and well, you're they quitting. will make you quit when they're like, "This is <coughs> everyone ran." And what will we be need more... to clear the field for like the next? Thing. No one did it. To look at your action high-speed photographs of everyone cheating, and, what and I be... win by default. I don't even have to finish the thirty miles. I'm the only one who didn't take my feet off the ground. And what will be funny is that when you quit, yeah. Your method of quitting will be walking away in a more efficient mode of walking. <laughs> well, I think you going home is more efficient and quicker than you racing. Yeah, I can do it's it. It's a test of endurance, JD. <laughs> so, what's the technical rule for it? Is that you have to keep one leg straight? One leg straight, one, le- I'm one foot straight the, the ground. Yeah, look up. Or I can look my is hair. it basically like the keep on trucking drawings? What, what is that? Those Robert Crumb drawings where it's like a guy who's like this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's basically it, right? He has one leg straight and both legs, both feet on the ground. Um, okay, the official rules are there are two rules that govern race walking. The first dictates that the athlete's back toe cannot leave the ground until the heel of the front foot has touched. Easy. Violation of this rule is known as loss of contact. The second rule requires that the supporting leg must straighten from the point of contact with the ground and remain straightened until the body passes directly over it. These rules are judged by the human eye. Athletes regularly lose contact for a few milliseconds per stride, which can be caught on film, but such a short flight phase is said to be undetectable to the human eye, though, obviously, it is detectable, since we're saying it's detectable. No, only to slow down. Only if you slow down time. Athletes stay low to the ground by keeping their arms pumping low, close to their hips. If one sees a race walker's shoulders rising, it may be a sign that the athlete is losing contact with the ground. What appears to be an exaggerated swivel of the hip is, in fact, a full rotation of the pelvis. Athletes aim to move the pelvis forward and to minimize sideways motion. Now we're going to look up some... I'm going to look up a video of race walking here, just so we can all... Enjoy watching what a race walking competitor looks like. Uh, Look at this. Look at how dumb this is. She's just running, but inefficiently. Look at this. Look at this. Look at that. (coughs) You can see her off the ground. Is she winning? Yeah, I think she's. But you know what I mean? Like, that's clearly just a bad run. Well. I think that. See, that's a just just that's just a dumb run. I can do that. Yeah, you can, but these are just... See, these are just dumb runs. I can do it. Look at how dumb this is. It's like dancing, you know? It's like a dance... They should call it dance walking. Right, they should judge it based on how dumb you look. I can win that. God, this is a stupid sport. I really think this is a dumb sport. And if you if you are someone that race walks and listen to this... I, I'm fine with you hearing me say that I think your sport is dumb. Hey, I think your sport's great. I hope you accept me as your new champion in 2016. <laughs> accept me as your leader? Yeah, accept me as the world champion. Look at she's just running. She's just running with no, bad form. It's with a specific form. You are very much against sports that have specific, that have specific limitations. Specific nonsensical limitations. I mean, they're just whimsical. They're not nonsensical. What's whimsical about just going slower? Well, it's not just going slower. Where's the, where's, slower where's the 20K handstand walk? I mean... Where's the... Where's the, where's the tw- you know what would make more sense? The 20K crawl. You probably don't like uh, egg walk or a three-legged race either. Yeah, I think those are horrible Olympic events. Well, they're not Olympic yet. <laughs> they're on their way. Well, there's lots of stuff that wasn't in the Olympics or there's things that used to be in the Olympics. Noah told me that town planning used to be in the Olympics. 
Yeah, it did. Do you think SimCity is stupid? Uh, yes. All right. Hey, Matt, what's something you think is stupid? Wait, we have two followers already. Who? You and someone named Mark Brumby. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Mark Brumby. (laughs) This is a segment that we're calling the Mark Brumby Minute. He's a nanotech expert and brand advisor at New Tech. Living in Northern, proud uncle of six. Go Yanks. Mark Brumby. Mark Brumby. Mark Brumby. Hey. Oh, my God. Yeah? His top tweet is him tweeting at someone named... His his Twitter handle is Mark J underscore Brumby, and he's tweeting someone with the name Brumby Mark, and his tweet is at Brumby Mark. Weird, we got the same name, eh? Brumby Brothers hashtag. <laughs> Brumby Bros. Hey, honestly, um, only someone named Mark Brumby would uh, we follow <laughs> something that has zero content. Tweet at Mark Brumby. Hey, <laughs> that should be your own. Tweet. Hey. Hey, Mark Brumby, are okay. you, uh, you have the same name as, as uh, the other Mark Brumby. You guys are Brumby bros. Just genuinely, t- what a good guy. I think he's a good guy. Hey, he's our first fan. <laughs> he hasn't even heard the podcast. This is a blind face. This is like someone who's like, I can't wait. <laughs> For a second, I was like, wait, how do we know he hasn't listened to the podcast? It's because, because we're, recording we're, it. we're still we're recording. recording the first one. Mark Brumby doesn't live in linear time. He's come unstuck <laughs> like, like Billy Pilgrim. Billy Pilgrim. Um, it's our first Vonnegut reference again? in... Uh, the again? Oh. Uh, <laughs> we have, hands down, the funniest password on I can't remember what, what it is. I'm looking at Mark Brumby right now. <laughs> I'm trying to mouth the pass, folks. Listeners to this podcast, you'll never know. You'll never know it, but take my word for it. We have a funny password for our Twitter account. It's so much fun that JD's laughing and he can't even remember it. <laughs> I can't. I can't. I'm trying to mouth it silently. The context of it is so funny. I'm trying to think of the name of whatever the. I'm just going to show. Hold on. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, this oh is, boy. This, uh, I'm coming unstuck here. <laughs> uh, guys, I got some bad news about Mark Brumby. What? Well, so in his Brumby Brothers hashtag, first of all, he spells his own name wrong. He spells it B R U M P Y. That's not bad news. And his name is Brumby with a B. But then the next tweet after that is. At Reed Sutherland, you and all the other gosh damned Obamanites need to get smartened up and get a job and good hashtag values at Glenn Beck. <coughs> I wonder if he has your Twitter problem. <laughs> He's followed by four people. Wait, so go to go to Mark Brumby's tweets. I love this tweet though. Thinking about selling the old house in Schenectady and moving to Poughkeepsie. Thoughts at Andrew Cuomo? Um, like, why is he asking Andrew Cuomo? Should we tweet at the old Brumby? Yeah, tweet him about Brumpy Brothers. <laughs> Hashtag Brumpy Brothers. Let's get. Hey, everybody! If you've listened this far in the in the podcast, tweet out to uh, tweet out to one uh, two H R J D Connor um, with the hashtag 
Brumpy Brothers. B R U M P Y B R. No, B Y. No, he spelled it Brumpy Brothers in the hashtag. <laughs> oh, the hashtag is Brumpy Brothers. Brumpy Brothers. But it's only for people with Brumby as the last name. Yeah. If you're a Brum, I guess the plural of a Brumby is a Brumpy. In, rather than adding, say, an S the way a lot of plurals do, the uh, B goes from being a voice labial plosive to an unvoiced labial plosive. And I'm going to tweet, you guys get, got any more room for more Brumpy Brothers? Question mark. That's a great tweet. Um, That's our first <laughs> official tweet. Matt, yes. were you at all impressed that I was able to give the precise definition of the difference between a B and a P? Uh, or were you checking your iPhone? I was checking my iPhone for uh, stuff about why is he? I guess he's a fan of Andrew Cuomo. He's also a fan of Glenn Beck, or is he joking? Maybe he's making some some of those dry joking. jokes. Can you show Matt the photo? Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see. It. Um, and then the password is that with uh, our number at the end of it. Our number? Oh. Um. Yeah, what I said was the difference between a B and a P is that mm-hmm. it's, it shifts from a voiced labial plosive to an unvoiced labial plosive. I don't know what those things are, and that's um, very impressive. And I like hard palate fricatives. Oh, that's great, JD. I've heard of a fricative. Um, a labial pro- plosive, like a B or a P, you're making the sound by uh, making a plosive sound mm-hmm. with your labial, your lips. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times when people use the word labia, they mean a woman's genitals. I knew what you meant. Um, I'm trying to explain all of it to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and a voiced one is b because you're voicing it. You're not mm-hmm. voicing it. It's just a... Can I ask how you know these things? I think from some voice class I took once. I'm amazed and impressed with your recall. Uh, I don't really remember... Learned it. I don't remember all of the things from that class, but I remember about... You took something away. Yeah. I'm thinking about unfollowing everyone except for Mark Brumby. <laughs> <laughs> I'm showing Matt Cohen the picture on my phone <laughs> that gives us our... Um, our the, Where did the you password find that? At the Euromart. Wow. Um, it's a, I don't want to say what it is because that would give away our Twitter password, but that is a really funny name for a beverage, right? That is right? a great name. Um, so I guess everyone can scour. Yeah, if you want to figure out our password for our Twitter, go to a Euro Market and look at all the beverages <laughs> and see which one you think which one has you the think? funniest name. Oh wait, what? We already we already said it out loud. No, we didn't. Yeah, we did when we were there. Oh, on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Were, I guess. Oh, no. Some of this feels private. <laughs> oh, no. Because you went there on the podcast. I'm forgetting how much of this day was on the no, podcast. No, this is great. You would have to put so much together. You'd have to be listening. <laughs> oh, you deserve it, podcast <laughs> listeners. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're dropping hints. <laughs> we're dropping hints. <laughs> the things that they, they were a part know. of. They still, I feel like that whole segment was didn't feel like we were doing a podcast. It felt like we were just in the Euromart, and we put a lot of emphasis on that. Though we did put a lot of <laughs> emphasis on that part. I like how we're teasing that. Like, well, we found something very interesting <laughs> in the Euromart. <laughs> it stuck out to us. And it's like, uh, yeah, we know you. You were recording during that whole thing. <laughs> We've been recording this podcast for so long that I no longer can remember what wasn't part of the podcast. 
It's everything was. Oh no, I mean I don't remember the you're parts all, of my life that weren't. This I know. Podcast. I'm saying your memory, your all your memories from today, aside from Wolf of Wall Street, were a part of the podcast. Oh my god, this is a good podcast, people. I don't care who says it. We're oh. all saying it. Yeah. Um, so you don't care who says this is a good podcast? I don't care who says this is a good podcast. It is. What if Glenn Beck said it was a good podcast? Hey, a stopped clock is right twice a day. <laughs> we still have like an hour left. No. We are wrapping it up. Um, <clears throat> what's... Um, Mark Brumby. That that Brumby minute was a was a great minute of the podcast. I think it's going to be a a good segment. A good final. I think we're going into a good final hour because I'm starting to feel a little punchy. I'm feeling very punchy as well myself. I feel like some people may. I feel like there's a good chance that <laughs> a lot that a, lot, a big that... percentage of the, of our listeners will skip to the last portions of the podcast to see I think what we're absolutely. like. Absolutely. I think the final like five minutes will be the most listened to minutes. I legitimately couldn't hold it together. Not only because I knew the context of the, what the password is that we're trying to think of and just all of the things that were on the yeah. where that, that name was from, but then I couldn't think of the first word. And the only thing that I can think of that that word might be was Rumby. Brumby. <laughs> but I knew that there was no chance that was it. But I couldn't stop saying that word and the would, second word together. Oh, God. I feel like I would know that we were in an inception <laughs> if we thought back and our one follower was also the name of the funny drink from earlier. Oh, right. I'd be like, oh, this isn't real. We're part of like a, yeah. an, a dream experiment. Mm. Um, Wait, what the hell? What? What happened? Mark Grumby on follow us? Did we get another follower? No. What I mean, happened? Cam Ward, the Alabama state senator, followed us? is following Mark Brumby. Followed by Mark Brumby? That's no, not, is following Mark Brumby. That's not that weird. How many fo- he has 72 <laughs> followers. No, no he, has he has six followers. Six followers. And one of them is Cam Ward, the Alabama state senator? Yeah. And, and also Brandon Schaefer, the community of entrepreneurs and businesses <laughs> sharing helpful and useful information. I mean, Mark Brumby looks like um, the guy with the bell on Breaking Bad. Oh, no, he doesn't. Not close. Now he looks like Chris Carter, the creator of the X-Files. <laughs> so I got a question for you guys. You've been doing this for almost 12 hours uh-huh. now. What are your thoughts on this experience? How has it been for you? Does it is is it like what you expected going in? Is this where you thought you'd kind of end up? How do I you think, feel kind of hitting the eleven hour mark? Well, I really enjoy. I like where we are now, where it's just a conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, I was it, honestly, I woke up this morning not in a great mood. Connor can attest to that. Yeah, uh, JD. Longtime listeners to this podcast will remember that JD was pretty cranky this morning. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I didn't click with the... F- I thought because you never sleep, uh, that maybe early morning would be fine. Like, n- what's the point? What's the difference? Right. Now I'm doing something. But you're just not a morning person, are you? No. Because I usually don't experience mornings. Um, and I'm always earlier than that. So to me, yeah. meeting up with you at 9 o'clock a.m. was like, oh, I got to sleep in a little. Yeah. You know? Normally, I'm up at 6. Right. And... Um, 
I stayed up a little bit late last night watching episodes of The Good Wife. Uh, guys? What happened? We got a Brumby update. Brumby. What's happened? We tweeted at Mark Brumby. You guys got any more room for more Brumby brothers? He tweeted back. It's a sacred union, but we Brumbies are a friendly bunch. We'll see what we can do for you. Hashtag Brumby bunch. He changed the hashtag. <laughs> Brumby don't play around. What's your respond back? Um, uh, we love it. And then hashtag Brumpy bros. We should cover the new one. Um, uh, Brumpy brothers. Brumby bunch. Um, we should always refer to it as Brumpy. Uh, uh, Brumpy Brumpy bunch. all the way. Brumpy all the way. Uh, Brumpy bundles. Brumpy old men. No, let's not. He's old. Let's not. Yeah, that could to be a sensitive that. subject. Okay. Um, Brumpy brunch. Brumpy and pokey. Uh, he might get that reference. I was trying to keep us with B words. Um, Brumpy Brumpy bunch is already a thing. Brumpy bundle. Brumpy brunch. Brumpy babies. Brumpy babies. Uh, Brumpy. Brumpy. Brumpy bitches. (laughs) Brumpy bonanza. Brumpty Dumpty. Brumpty Brumpty Dumpty. <laughs> I like uh, it. Okay. I'll go with any of this. I'm going to tweet back. He says, it's a second, but we Brumpies are a friendly bunch. We'll see what we can do for yous. And I'll tweet back. We'll be waiting. We'll be waiting forever. It should be forever. more desperate, I think. We'll be waiting forever. We hope, we hope, we hope, we hope, we hope. Nah, don't be too goofy. Yeah, don't say as many of those. Uh, we... Just let us know what we need to do. Yeah. Uh, we'll do anything. Brumpy. Brumpy. Brumpy never grumpy. Brumpy. Brumpy. Brumpy all the way. Brumpy. Brumpy brides. No. Brumpy begging. Brumpy begging. All right. Brumpy beginnings. Brumpy beginnings. Oh, that's the best. That's perfect. Brumpy beginnings. I mean, what's yeah, pretty good? What other podcast starts interacting with their Twitter followers before they even debut? I've never heard of a single. Is there a podcast that no. has a, an interaction with their Twitter follower before <laughs> their podcast's existence has even been announced? Yes. Which one? No, I mean no, no. It was the answer I was I trying mean, to say. So we've this is groundbreaking for multiple reasons. Maybe our. Twitter should only be for communication with Mark Brumpy. <laughs> no, I mean, when we launch on New Year's Eve, I think the important thing is that we need to announce before New Year. Are you going to be able to get this up? Yes. How are we uploading this? To iTunes? Uh, yeah. How do we get it on iTunes? Through like Libsyn. Really? Yeah. yeah. You know how to do that? Yeah. All right. Um, no, you're not editing this in any fashion. He's just going to sweeten no. the audio a little. Yeah. No, I'm not going to sweeten the audio you're at all. You're not going to normalize it or remove Sink any it? hiss? Sync no. it with your iPod? No. What? We've been in like two dozen locations. I'm not going to remove That's... background noise from two dozen locations. Feel like... <laughs> do you want to do it? You can get producer credit. I'll send yeah, you the file. Podcast intern. But you've got to have it uploaded to iTunes. I would... <laughs> By Just midnight, we're going, we're going live. We're going live. You'll be our podcast intern. 
We're you'll going be pro- live. Okay, here, here's, here's the deal. You'll be podcast intern producer Matt. Um, your name is producer Matt, but your title is podcast intern. Okay. Um, I don't know if I can upload it to iTunes, though. I can do that. I'll send it to you to sweeten the audio and edit it. I can edit it. Uh, I can edit it down. No. No. <laughs> no, no. No. I can edit it up. I can add more. Add an hour of content. <laughs> hey, this is in podcasting to Bruce or Matt to check in for the podcast. Can you slow it by 50% so it's a 24 hour podcast? <laughs> oh my yes. God. That'd be insufferable. <laughs> can you slow it? This is the A C E. You can transfer to the one, two, Remember when you did that? Did oh, I said I would add a theme song to this. Yeah, you did. You have work to do. I don't think I'm going to be able you to You need it. to. Really? Yeah. All Even right. if it's just a vocal thing of you going, it's a 12-hour day today. Um, That's pretty good. Brumpy. Brumpy brunch. Everybody, come to the BB King Grill and, what is it, Club and Grill at 42nd Street in New York City for the Brumpy Brunch every Sunday morning. You should have a uh, meetup for fans. If you want to have... I'm announcing it right now. <laughs> if fans want to meet up, fans of the 12-hour day with J.D. and Connor podcast, uh, please go to the, the either the Beatles Brunch on Saturday morning or the uh, you're gonna give them two options. <laughs> two options every weekend for fans of the 12 hour day with JD and Connor. Um, for the fan community, you can either go to the Saturday morning uh, Beatles brunch at the BB King Club and Grill. Is that what it's really called? Or have I got it wrong? BB Kings, I think, right? Here, I'll make it easy. Um, just every Sunday morning. Check in with Connor. No, don't give my info. At, no, at the twelve hour. His phone Twitter. number is. No, don't do it. Don't three. Do it. No, no, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. Um, don't do that. That was genuine panic and genuine fear. fear. Because you like to give out stuff like that. That's a new dangerous situation. I don't. I can't be handling. I know. Random text messages. I love that. Oh. Uh, uh, you're scared of our, our massive fan base for overwhelming you. <laughs> no, I'm scared that anyone who's listened this far in Mark will, will phone me. You'll get a call from Mark Brumby. Anyone who's listened to do 11 hours should, of podcast. You should go back. Number. I'll go back and edit in single digits of Connor's phone number so you'd have to listen to the whole thing. Add in the tones. And if anyone, we'll announce. Yeah. We'll announce like, like every like random like two hours or so. Yeah. Another digit. Um. At the end of every episode, we'll announce a new digit. So we already gave one away. So n- next 12-hour day, we'll go at the next digit. Yeah. So if you can listen to... Uh, how many hours of audio was that? 10. Oh. No. 120. Yeah, 120. Okay. So uh, fans who want to do a, a meetup, fans of the podcast want to do a meetup, uh, you either have, you have two opportunities every weekend... Uh, on Saturdays at noon, you can attend the BB King Blues Club and Grill for the Beatles brunch. Um, or on Sundays at 11 a.m. and 2 p.m., the Sunday Gospel Brunch. So there's, you're, there's three, three opportunities on two days. And you will be at all of them? No, we won't be at any of them. These are just fan meetups. Uh, if you want to get together and socialize... Um, 
meet up out front of the BB King Club and Blues Grill. Uh, it's right next to the Hello Kitty store. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that you'll know, the way that you'll know about uh, what's the best way, JD, for them to know that there it's another meetup and not just someone who's attending the BB King ball. Uh, uh, Newsflash. One Connor's reading. Okay, so something right now. The new one said, uh, Mark Brumby says, step one, we, we asked him what we need to do to become a part of the Brumby brothers. He says, step one, bring that Brumby goodness that we Brumbies live for. Step two, do you. Step three, live, laugh, love. What's do you mean? Do you. You gotta do you. <laughs> Who has to do me? <laughs> you. Do you. You gotta do you. I gotta do what is self pleasuring? Is this that what he's talking about? <laughs> he's like, suck your own dick. <laughs> Three steps to becoming a Brumby. Like me. <laughs> you want to be a Brumby like me? Step one. First, you bring that goodness we Brumbies live for. Step two, do yourself. Step three, live, laugh, love. Used to, used to be, we had a five step program, but I combined the last three into one step live, laugh, and love. <laughs> It's not really three steps. Uh, I've decided to, anytime he tweets back at us, I will print that out and hand it to you. Um, uh, hey, intern Matt, can you just file that, that in our podcast? Paper Can you get a transcript of this going? How, oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah if you get typed by the transcript? Yeah, I've got the transcript. If Actually, you just send me the completed audio file, I'll get it all done tomorrow. Great. Isn't there a computer program that you can do an automatic? Uh, uh, transcript like, of what do you mean like put this in like Google Voice yeah <laughs> yeah sure if you want to, will you do that we should we should release an ebook every every <laughs> every month, month. Um, <laughs> if you would put <laughs> nonsense if you would put the audio file into Google Voice and uh, give us a full transcript we can put it up on our Tumblr yeah or <laughs> which Connor will be making tonight or um, or actually no here's what we do yeah for our deaf viewers, listeners, uh, I need you to post the full transcript online. You got it. For our Spanish listeners, I need to put that into Google Translate mm-hmm. and dump that back on the blog. That'll be trans. <laughs> that'll yeah. be actually. That. I feel like it's a big dump. Can you divide it into tweets and tweet it out? I could tweet this out. Can you? Well, can you also tweet them all to Mark Brumby? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're losing a lot of characters in each tweet. But I feel like it's worth it. But it's worth it to know that it's going right to Brumby. <laughs> I mean, I know he's following us, so he is getting them. But it's better to do at, at messages to him. <laughs> now, how should our fans who are at the meetups at the, at the BB King uh, Blues Grilling Club, um, how should they identify, uh, how do they recognize one another? Um, should they make T-shirts? Uh, they should paint their faces. Like a clock? Like a clock, Yeah. Um, and their eyebrows are the hands. Yeah. And try to, uh, if you can picture this where your clock, your face is a clock face, like a, like a regular old fashioned clock, not a digital clock. No, no, no. And if you can shave your eyebrows so that the left eyebrow is is pointing (laughs) at the 12. That's not how shaving eyebrows works. And and your your left eyebrow is the minute hand pointing also straight up at the 12. (laughs) When Connor's asking you to shave your eyebrows, <laughs> what he really means is move your eyebrows. Yeah. Um, and then the way that, because the way to differentiate yourself then from other people that have clocks uh, painted on their face 
is you just go up and um, so like if you think of the bridge of a nose as like a little uh, you know a, a downward U shape, uh-huh. you can connect two of them, sort of like th- like a. Uh, so if one face is facing forward, one is to the side, and you can sort of bridge at the the bridge of your nose can be a docking station for the heads. That's good. Um. Mm. Oh, Matt's getting tired. Oh, yeah. How many hours were you in the podcast? I was in for four, about. Okay. Uh, if I stay till the end, it'll be about four, right? Nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Nope, one. About five. <laughs> five and a half. That's still a lot of episodes okay. of any other podcast. This That'd be like, be the wow. This podcast I've ever been. About. No, it'll be four. I was here at eight. Oh yeah, that's true. Five. Um. What other what other projects do we have going on here with this podcast? Well, I want to thank a lot of the characters that we've seen today. Hey, uh, Matt, will you? Uh, so we have to go past one because we started past one. We started at like one eighteen. One eighteen, yeah. Should I? Uh, well, I've got two questions for you. One, we got to look into a wiki. We got to set up a wiki. Uh, show Bible, yeah, yeah. The other, and maybe the most important, is how can we monetize this? Uh, we come over here and take a picture of us. For, yeah, sure. A picture for the podcast. Also, I have a good way we can monetize this. Okay. Give me some fucking money. Oh my god, <laughs> that's actually a great way to monetize it. If you just like would rob. You know? How, do you know, yeah. Matt? Do you know how to work a BlackBerry curve? Uh, I think I could figure it and out. Are you ahead of the curve or behind the curve? I think I was ahead of the curve, but okay, I'm well, now currently behind this curve. Wait, where's? Uh, where's what? I was going to say, where's the other mic? Okay, it's currently in the... Hey, hold on, why don't you give me the other mic? Just no, 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 you got to use your no, mic. No, no, use I mic. used that mic when I was walking around, I carried this. This is a short cord, you're not going to... I'm playing Matt's mic so that we can get a better photo. All right. And also, uh, I need the headphones. Yeah. You need to go over there and shoot this way. You need to go over there. All right. Um, when I was walking around earlier, I would sometimes carry this mic because it wasn't working. So I'd walk down the street and I'd have this one just as a so he had some solidarity. There we go. Let's see. It. I really like it. Perfect. Can you uh, can you uh, email that to me? Yeah. Hey Matt, can you just make sure to stay on mic whenever we're doing this? Yeah, you're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, Matt, are you on mic? No, I'm not on mic. My mic got unplugged. <laughs> who und- who did that? I honestly it was a blur. I was taking the photo, so I can't. You know who did it? It was me. Was it you? I thought I. Did. I unplugged the mic for you. Yeah, one of your bosses did it. <laughs> can you put this on your on like Resume? your Facebook and Twitter as like what your job is? Yeah. Um producer slash intern. I like how you went from being a guest to an employee. Yeah. And like a low status employee at that. Yeah, you gotta um you gotta work your way up. Hey right? guys, we need to figure out uh, uh viral marketing here. Because right now we only have two followers. And one of them's me. One of them's. I'm not. But you guys. You are not even. You guys need to convince me to follow our account. Is what I'm saying. I'm not following it. You. If you want to see what. If you want to see those uh, sweet Brumpy Brothers tweets, 
It'd be a lot easier if it's in your feed. <laughs> Why did he find us? How did he find I us? Don't know. I don't know. Twelve hour, twelve hour day. He just somehow searched for general <laughs> yeah. terms. He had to search for that, or because zero content. <laughs> it's, there was no content. Can no you one Google was following 12 us. Twelve hour day with JD and Connor, and see what comes up in Google. I don't think information is on there yet, is it? Well, let's just see what Google comes up. Um, do you want to do something to sweeten that photo? No. You like it like that? <laughs> it's so dark. I, know, that's what, I didn't have the flash turned on. That's what I think is funny about it. <laughs> this is a major project. <laughs> so, yeah, um, uh, Google, I want to see what, uh, what, have we, what have we got on the internet for your show. JD's currently Googling 12-hour day with JD and Connor. Let's see what happens. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. <laughs> All right. Hey, that's what he was probably looking for. He's a conservative. Uh, tuition and fees for JD program, College of Law, Arizona State. Slate.com slash authors dot JD Connor. Boxing wow. Days by JD Connor. JD Connor IMDb. 12 hours of Saturday O'Connor signed me up. Rumpy was in for it. I'm going to follow Twitter. 12 days of Saturday O'Connor. I like how, though, he's the, he's the only person following our Twitter account, yet we've already made fun of him multiple times. <laughs> we've made fun of him for almost an hour. <laughs> he has no idea. And he never will, because there's no way that that guy is ever going to listen to this podcast. I don't know. <laughs> I don't. There's no way. Mark Brumpy, if you if you listen to this podcast <laughs> and you made it through here, please tweet with the hashtag of the thing that was our password for the Twitter, which any longtime viewer has everything you need to know to guess our Twitter password. Uh, also, a tweet uh, Connor's the first number of Connor's phone number. Uh. I'm retweeting uh, Brumby's two replies to us, too. And, yeah, Mark Brumby, if you are listening to this podcast right now, tweet to us uh, with the hashtag Sandra Day O'Connor. Wait, what if he thought you were that author, J.D. J.D. Connor? Oh, he's got a Twitter? About time. Time to get some of those sweet Slate articles in Twitter form. What if Slate accidentally started linking to us? <laughs> that would be no accident. Oh, this is great. All right. Oh, we are in the final stretch of this. I'm feeling fine. It's about, what are you, like half an hour left? You ever watched The Good Wife, Matt? No, I've never seen The Good Wife. I've been binge watching it. A lot of people binge watch that show. Um, oh, here's Mark. I, I hear people really like it. Oh, on Facebook? Yeah, he's from, uh, I can't, I shouldn't be giving out details of where he lives. No. Yeah, no, come on. Whisper it to me. Off mic. Oh. One of the worst places. <laughs> um. I'd like to end the, when we end the podcast, if it's not an imposition, JD, I'd like to end. What's happening? What's happening? Mm-hmm. What's happening? A strange, a strange loop in the matrix has occurred. I'm frightened. Come here. Okay. All right. Watch this.
Okay, here? Yeah. Here. Uh-huh. Here. Huh. Oh, I wonder if... Oh, no. <laughs> I don't <laughs> understand it. Neither do I. I don't. I can't get my head around it. Was it because I followed it? Maybe. That's why weird. would that guy? <laughs> Rumbi. I mean, we, I don't think any podcast has ever been more excited or invested in a single <laughs> Twitter follower that wasn't a celebrity. It'd be one thing if it was like the president's following us or something. Well, listen. <laughs> we're whispering during the podcast. We're whispering. Uh, our last, our last twenty minutes of the podcast. involves secret <laughs> conversations that the viewer, the listener, cannot know about. Oh, the last part of this is going to get. This is a warning. The last part of this podcast could get super sexy. Matt, how big's your dick? Uh, yeah, Matt. honestly, yeah, Matt. Maybe, I think average to maybe a little below average. Well, you're I, a tall guy. So that probably looks small on you. It is what it is. <laughs> why, did, why did I say that even? I don't. Because the the realm of remember when I was talking about uh, when we were talking about belief in religion, we we're like yeah. getting really into it. Yeah. Compare that to right now. Because we're punchy, and I made the joke about how things were going to get super sexy. Yeah, and that was a funny heightening of yeah, <laughs> as if. Aggre- aggressively asking Matt about his I body. Aggressively, honestly answered. Yeah. Um, oh boy. <sighs> that is an interesting wrinkle. Stop talking about it. We can't talk about that wrinkle. We can't talk about the wrinkle. It's called. Well, can we? No. Okay. Well, yeah, <laughs> we can in general terms, which is that JD started doing some research on our only Twitter follower. <laughs> we're, we're 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 like playing, we're doing the uh, <laughs> you know that same. It's <laughs> like I'm assuming other people have forgotten what we were just talking about. <laughs> I don't want to say who our only Twitter follower is, but uh, <laughs> um, uh, so we did some uh, research. We did some research uh, about a certain someone who's our only <laughs> Twitter follower. It turns out. Uh, when we went into other social media, there are connections between him, not between him directly. There's three degrees of separation. Three degrees of separation in a way that seems suspicious. It seems weird. Like, I can't understand. It's a weird coincidence if it's just a coincidence that someone he is close with is close with several people that we are close with. Yes. Could just be um, a matter of it being... Like the song goes, it's a world of laughter, a world of tears. It's a world of joys and a world of fears. There's so much that we share, but it's time we're aware. It's a small world after all. Remix. It's a small world after all. It's a small world after all. It's a, a small, small world, world after all. It's a small world, small world after, world after all. I wanted to do that because I wanted us to have a 
We were we talked about copyright violation and <laughs> Disney in hour one of the podcast. Oh, that's true. Mm. And I felt like that was a good time to make my point, and also we buried that song so deep that no web robot will catch it. And yes. our remix disguised the melody even. Let's revisit some of the top and see if our opinions have changed on them since we first uh-huh. discussed them. What's the first thing we talked about in the podcast? Uh, I don't have the transcript done yet. so I can't. The first thing we talked about was we okay. were leaving. We had talked about being on the escalator, going down right. the escalator at the MC Theater. We were oh, describing Do you think that guy ever asked for backup? Like, tried to... Oh, when we were setting up, this is a little bit of a behind-the-scenes Behind-the-scenes look at the first episode during the first episode. Besides, it's kind of like if we were going to make a prequel to this podcast, this would be what would happen during it. If we were going to stage a prequel. We saw Wolf of Wall Street in Theater 13 of the AMC 25 Megaplex in yes. Times Square. And um, if you've ever been in there, you have to go up a lot of escalators to get to the theaters. Right. And then down a lot of escalators to get out of the building. And we were in Theater 13, went up several flights, and when we were done with the movie, we were setting up our microphones on a little bench that's there in the very spacious lobby hallway-ish area. We were setting up our microphones, and then an AMC employee came up to us and was like, what are you all doing? Because it might have looked like we were getting ready to go in and like pirate a movie, like record. Yes, that's what it did look like. I think that's probably what he was waiting for. And I explained to him very succinctly, I said... Oh, we're just getting our microphones ready. We just saw The Wolf of Wall Street, and now we're getting our microphones set up so we could record our podcast while walking around the streets of New York. And he like nodded, like, okay. And then I was like, I hope that worked. I just very simply said what the truth was, and I hope he's not going to get back up like, to throw us out. Yeah. Well, were you thrown out? No, we were not. And no. I just thought there was and a chance. And then I also said, if we got thrown out, what would be the... And it wouldn't be bad. I just... I like the fact that telling the simple truth of a kind of complicated situation was enough. My fear was just that he would be like, I don't want to deal with this. I'm going to go to my manager and have them deal with it. Right. Which could have been the case. Yeah. And I just didn't want any hassle. I didn't feel like that would be a good way to start out the day. I agree. We don't want any hassle. Yeah. This is, should be a hassle-free podcast. This should be a hassle-free podcast that takes 12 hours to listen to. Yeah. We don't want to deal with a bunch of nonsense. Listening to it may be a hassle, but recording it should not be. I mean, the way podcasts work, you know, you can pause them, and when you go back to them, they're in the same spot. That's great. It's not like with an MP3. Yeah. What's crazy is that no one. Podcasts are an MP3. No one will ever sit down and listen to this front to back. One person. No, that's not necessarily true. No, I'm saying nonstop. Oh, someone might. Someone might. No, they will not. I, someone might. Someone might. No, I promise you they will not. I what about someone on a flight to Australia? Promise. They will hit pause at some point. I, nope. Don't, you don't know that. I know for a fact. How do you no. know? I'd be willing to bet. Oh, yeah. I mean, the odds huge are Huge amounts won't. of money. I yeah. guarantee, but it's possible. <coughs> I would say that it's all it takes possible. is one person who's inclined to try it, and they'll set it as a goal, and then they'll accomplish it. I would actually now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. it's like see, you're saying it's impossible. If there was a, if there was a thing, because I would like, set it to go overnight. Yeah, while I slept and wake up in the morning, it would still be going. Yeah, but I mean, like actually sit down and listen to it, like not fall like asleep. I got the day free. The kids are grown and out of the house. If someone has a little butt, my spouse. The kids are grown. This was my a goal spouse, of yours when you were like 21. Yeah. And now you're like my yeah, spouse. 60. My spouse is perished. 
The kids are grown. They don't need me anymore. I'm retired from my job. Finally, time to listen to this with no pauses. The way it was meant to be listened to. It was the way it was recorded. Why pause it? They didn't pause while they were recording it. If That's want, cheating. If I want to feel like I'm in the room with them. I've also been thinking a lot about how this recorder just shorted out or something. How just like weird this whole day will have been <laughs> in retrospect. We, I won't feel we wasted it. I'll feel like it'll be funny to say we recorded it to our podcast yeah. and then we lost it. Yeah. <laughs> like you just hook it up to transfer it and immediately just like... Yeah. Because also like I was planning on like stopping and just starting to record again just like as a safety, but I just let it ride for 12 hours straight. That baby has not stopped once. This thing? Yeah. Warm. You know, it does say... Not recording. On Did it. you press the button twice? What? What's it say on it, Matt? Uh, I think this is the battery power for the lav, but it will say like an hour and 36 minutes. No, what that is is I set it to record in one gigabyte chunks. Mm-hmm. And so every one gigabyte, it makes a new file. Oh, okay. oh so, so it's a lot of it saved? Yes, yes. That's I did that because I wanted to make sure that it was. Yeah. Okay. I got you wouldn't you. lose it all. Yeah. How yeah. many? That's my other question: is how big a uh, <laughs> file size do you think it's going to be? My guess is going to be. It won't see. fit on an iPhone. My guess is so big that you can't download it to an iPhone. It has to be an iPod Classic. You can well you compress it, but I think the raw wave file. Sixteen gigs. It oh, it will be almost exactly sixteen gigs. So two DVDs worth, but you. But that's uh, that's uncompressed wave sixteen yeah. bit. You can yeah. compress that down to. I will get that down to less than a gig. Easily. Oh, I will get that down hundred megs, maybe two hundred, hundred to two hundred. I got down our twelve hour election night to uh, something like one point seven gigs. Hey, you got twelve that. hours of video. Hey, mm-hmm. that's even more impressive is how much we got down the 10 hour election night thing. Yeah, I just uh, cut out any of the weak just parts. Just cut out the last 2 hours. Um the uh but now that when you get it down to what's the size you think you'll get it down to? 200 megabytes, 100 megabytes. That feels... But is that pre-sweetening? What? No. Pre-sweetening? That's post whatever math does to it. Post-sweetening. Honestly, we're not really know the, do anything the to the kind it, of audio effects I may add that will bump up that file size. Just tons of echo. A lot of reverb. Bum, 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 like bum, I think bum, a flange bum, bum, through bum, the bum, whole bum, thing. Bum, bum. A wah wah. Just get rid of anything that's like under a, 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 a thousand hertz. Yeah, I'll. I want, so I want like punchier like, mids. Like, honestly, so like I'll run an EQ maybe through it, punch up the mids. Oh, Punch Your Mids would have been a good name for an improv team. We can't go back in time. Change the name. Gonna go back in time. Uh, 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 uh. I always liked that song better than Power of Love because I liked how it addressed the uh, specific, more specifics of the plot. Honestly, Power of Love felt vague. It, it took me in any movie. way too long to realize that Back to the Future is more about oh, a kid learning about his parents than it is about time travel that time travel is just the device to be like oh this is how like you can learn about your parents the second one's more about time travel I know Power of Love should have switched lyrics with because Power of Love the tune is catchier mm-hmm. should have switched lyrics with Back in Time yeah this is the future <laughs> yeah instead of that's the power of love should be like going, going back, back in, in time, time. Wouldn't that be cool? It would be cool. I'm not talking to the mic now. 
could still happen. I stopped talking to the mic. <laughs> Matt had one of my favorite observations ever about Back to the Future, which was that um, Marty McFly, uh, George McFly is a lot more forgiving than most people would be in allowing the man who once tried to rape his wife to clean his cars. Yes. It's really upsetting. Yeah. Because the movie presents it so confidently that it's like, oh, man, he's really putting it to, sticking it to Biff, making him clean his cars and be subservient. Why would right. she want to be around him? But it's like, it's such an awful thing. Like, the man who, you know, at 16 or 17 years old, at, at a, you know, an age to know better, he aggressively sexually assaulted her. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm going to take you. And... A few decades later, he's like, hey, your new book arrived, Mr. McFly. Yeah, he really. He's like the guy. I mean, the only way you can kind of rationalize it is that Biff is acting so stupid as an adult that maybe there's something we don't know about that happened that's like he had like massive electroshock or an accident where it's like, oh, well, he's really not the same now. Like maybe he had a regarding Henry type incident. Right. Hey, maybe that would be a good movie, right? If you uh, make a movie about what happened Biff, in between, and it basically is like a remake or a reboot of Regarding Henry, but in the Back to the Future universe, you borrow the template of Regarding Henry, or Regarding you can Biff. combine those two universes. So it's like the science of Regarding Henry, like they happen in the same universe, and it's like. Um, they explain, like, well, we learned that when you're shot in the head, it makes you sometimes go from being a terrible person to a wonderful person. Interesting. I feel like maybe... Well, that's it for our podcast. <laughs> no, we've got more time. You can't yeah. close on that. I feel like George might have done something. You know what I mean? Like, did something to Biff yeah. in the meantime. Like, maybe he... He's chemically castrated. Mm. Yeah, something like that. I'll hire you, Biff, but only if you agree to be chemically castrated. Oh, Mr. McFly, I don't don't want to do that. (laughs) This is too dark for me. Well, Biff, if you want to clean my cars... You raped my wife. You tried to rape my wife. You tried to rape my wife. You want to work as my car cleaner? As a person who receives parcels from me when when I'm not at the front door and the mailman arrives? Hand delivers them into the house? Oh, please, Mr. McFly, don't make me do that. I don't want to be chemically castrated. I'll tell you what, Biff. Oh, Mr. McFly. You you cannot get chemically castrated. Oh, good. But then I'm not going to give you the key to the handcuffs. Oh, no, no, no. Please. Please give me the key to the handcuffs. And we all know the food circle is just outside of your reach, isn't it, Biff? Oh, it's so frustrating. I want that food so bad. Well, if you want to go towards the food circle, Biff, you're going to have to Put your genitals into this chemical bath that I've created here. This was nothing like my fight with my girlfriend. <laughs> Which one was closer? <laughs> maybe, maybe this one. Really? <laughs> yeah, maybe this one. You, the one about living no, like no. a hotel is a. That. That's what. The one that the one about living in a hotel like it's a home wasn't closer. That's not the topic we talked about. You said living habits. We no talked about chemical long. castration. Okay. Oh, boy. What's the latest with Brumby? Uh, <laughs> you have a Brumby update? Oh, no. I got an email. That says hey. I'm, 
he's posted more tweets. He's active right now. He uh, tweeted at Reed Sutherland. Well, I just hey, gotta... long time no talk. You got a job that contributes to society. Business is great. The job creators at Glenn Beck. Well, I got an email saying I missed some stuff on Google Plus today. <laughs> Ooh. I got to figure out a way to stop getting those emails. Hey, Connor, here's what you missed on Google Plus today. I haven't been to Google Plus in months. I've never been to Google Plus. Who's been to Google Plus? No one. Uh, our viral campaign is not doing well. What do you mean? We haven't announced yet. <laughs> no, I'm just saying. I thought maybe Brumby would tell some friends by now. <laughs> oh, you're hoping? Um, I'm going to tweet when we finish our big project. Oh. Me and... Uh, it'll be me, me and at and Connor at Ratliff just finished a big project. Just finished our big project. Well, you guys are, what, you have 20 minutes left? Uh-huh. Yeah, I think so. Um, wow, this is really winding down. Um, yeah, it's crazy get, we made it this far. Get ready. Wait, did you already tweet it? No. I'm going to say get ready uh, for... Uh, what are you tweeting? No, no, get ready for... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you keep saying no, <laughs> not getting any further. <laughs> get ready for... No, no. Uh, get ready well, for... I, no, no, no. I want to announce get ready for midnight New Year's Eve. Well, don't put a thing on it yet. Well, just, I feel like people will just think you're just excited for New Year's Eve. Just finish our big projects. Will be the, the tweet you want? Any hashtag? No, it should be Brumpy, and, Brumpy, Brumpy Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's too specific. Me and at, at each Jay other just, just finished our, our big project. project. <laughs> I like get ready for New Year's Eve. <laughs> Get ready it's for like New Year's Eve. A threat. <laughs> it's, it's like like fourth on the list is that it's somehow promoting a podcast. Like first is that you're like excited for New Year's Eve. Second is that it's like a weird threat. <laughs> Third is it's like a, like a warning that's like you should prepare yourself mentally. And fourth for. is it's promoting a podcast. <laughs> yeah, fourth is like something's gonna ha- something's gonna drop. Um, I don't remember whether I said this. Tom was getting to the point of tiredness. Where he talks with his eyes closed, but still moves his head as though he's making eye contact with you. Um, <laughs> he does I don't this remember, for a long time. And I don't remember whether I said this out loud or just thought it earlier. Um, <laughs> but my request is... Those things are getting blurred in this past 12 hours. My request is, um, can we end the podcast not in your apartment, but you don't have to go all the way back to Woodside, which was our original plan. Right. But we can maybe go like either just to the train here or maybe you come to Queensboro Plaza with me and we leave it there where we met. Yeah, we can do that. That means I have to leave we have to leave now. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So you're, what you're saying is you want to leave now. Yeah. So you want to leave back at Queensboro Plaza. Yeah, I want to end our podcast at Queensboro Plaza or at the train station here. We can end at Queensboro Plaza. I think that makes thematic sense. Yeah. It'll be a, a roundabout trip for me, but I can do that. Because other, other versions of this will probably be out about in the city a little bit more. Yeah, it won't be rainy days. So we went to the training center. I realized it was closed. Yeah, we mm-hmm. were going to the training center thinking, well, we'll plug in there. We can sit there for a while and then go out and about in the city a little more. And then we got there and J.D. tried the tours. I feel like we were, in my memory of it, we were already tired. Then. Well, we were already tired and soaking wet. Soaking wet and... Um, I was wearing my lady coat, which is really 
the lady coat is ideal for cold winter weather. Not for wet. It's winter not weather. good for wet winter weather. Yeah. Because it it's like a cat. It's like if you get a cat real wet. Cat coat. Cat coat. This would be really roundabout for you to go to Queensboro Plaza, considering you're at home. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I think largely what Connor wants to do is he wants to hold on to the lob and then ride away in the train, still doing the sign-off, until the signal fades away. <laughs> yeah. We do play a fun game, J.D. and I, where... <laughs> this is a sad reflection of our friendship. <clears throat> when we've uh, uh, left each other, because frequently we'll, we, when we'll be riding home on like an end train, I'll get out to go on the 7... I will call JD on my phone and f- before the end train pulls away and he'll look at me as I talk to him on the phone and it's, it's not quite synced up, right? Right. And I will also do a thing where I mime that I'm constantly talking even when I'm not talking. So he sees me and then when I stop talking, I keep making right. the, the mouth gestures. So then all I'm getting is like, have a good night. But then it's like he's mouthing these full sentences that he's not saying, and it's already out of sync so because it, of it has to go to a satellite and back. So it feels it, it probably feels the closest you could do to like reenacting like the the Lost Highway uh, right. phone call David Lynch things that are weird. Oh, and also something that's very weird is if you're ever at the same train station with a friend, especially above ground, you can do this. You get on the phone and have your conversation next to each other on the phone, and then get onto the train. Uh-huh. You're like Connor, I'd be talking face to face. Just continue the conversation very casually. You got on separate trains, and then as they pull away, still continue talking. And it's a very strange experience mm-hmm. to just continue a, a conversation. Yeah, when you are like going from being right next to each other to like a mile away. Yeah, in moments. Um, <sighs> you don't have to go all the way to Queensboro. That is pretty thing. You can just walk me to the train station here. Yeah, all right. I have to pee though. Um, what are these? What's the story behind these two flashlights, JD? Were these presents? Connor's currently seen? holding two flashlights and asked me what the deal with these are, and that they are flashlights. JD, I'm gonna take my cord. Yeah, do it. Wait, Matt, sign off. This is Matthew Brian Cohen signing off. Thank you. From what? From the 12-Hour Day with J.D. and Connor podcast. Thanks for being on the show, on the podcast, Matt. Thank you for having me, Connor. Um, I feel like it was a really good idea for you to come over because I feel like you brought fresh fresh perspectives. Thank you. I feel like you livened up the debates. Thank you. Uh, I do feel like uh, there are a lot of things that we... You brought us back to talking about Wolf of Wall Street. Mm-hmm. And uh, helped clarify and consolidate a lot of the things that we had already kind of touched on. But it, revisiting them, I feel like, was good. Um, yeah, I think I think it was a real win. It was a fun time. I, I really had a blast. I had nothing kind of planned this evening. I flew back in uh, to from New Pittsburgh. York from Pittsburgh. Uh, so I just came in uh, m- middle of the afternoon, and I kind of didn't have anything to do. It's good. So it's a nice, relaxing way to spend an evening. Um, this version of Legend that you have, uh, JD. And now I'm signing off. Okay. Bye, Matt. Bye, Matt. Bye, guys. Hashtag Grumpy Bros. This ver- 
Which version of Legend do you prefer, the the uh, Tangerine Dream score or the other one? I like the edit of the other one, uh-huh. but I actually sort of like the Tangerine Dream score. I obviously I like the um, what's his name? Jerry Horner? No, no, no. The uh, the uh, original score, the non Tangerine Dream. Oh, uh, just uh, no pushing the thing. It's an XLR, bro. Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. Is that a good Blu-ray? Oh, you push. Okay. Yeah, man. Fucking technology, bro. Um. <clears throat> I don't know. Unnecessarily, bro. We gotta remember this is still part of the podcast, JD. I know. I'm it's not talking to my microphone right now. Oh, you're not. I'm the only one on. Here. Okay. Now they can probably hear me a little bit. So better. much of this podcast. Well, no, that's, oh, not fair. that's not fair. What Matt just said isn't fair. Percentage-wise, no way. And also what Matt just said, you guys won't hear. It's not on mine. That's what I mean. There's that, a lot of stuff that's exposed. Is that your bag, Matt? Yeah. All right. <laughs> Don't look at it yet. Connor just put something in his bag that you guys all know what it is. It's the one thing that a stranger gave us today. Hashtag the tweet of it if you like it. Uh, what was that? <laughs> I'm telling the, the view, our viewers to hashtag the tweet of it if you like it. <laughs> use your use your social networking to interactive media this. <laughs> hashtag the tweet. Hashtag of the tweet of it if you're ready for it <laughs> and if you like it. If not, give us a couple of reblogs. Um. Oh man. Oh. I want to thank everybody who's listened to this the whole way through. I if you listen to it the whole way through, you should come be on it. I mean, no. I mean, honestly, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from people who listen to it, getting feedback. Please rate us on iTunes and write reviews of this. Yes. That rate us really honestly. Helps. If you hate it, give us that give us zero one star. star. Or give us two stars if you think, like, well. Close, but no cigar. Wait, no. Give us the same star rating as Connor's star rating that he went over uh, 10 hours ago. Yeah, use those star ratings. If you would like this podcast to come up anytime in shuffle mode, give it five stars. If you want to just be listening on your iPod and at any point in shuffle mode, give a 12-hour episode of this podcast, which actually, we're in, in shuffle mode. Like, yeah, on my iPod on shuffle. Anytime. I'm happy to listen to this anytime it comes up in shuffle mode. Um, we're in danger of running over 12 hours, JD. We're at a real risk point now. It would be nice if there was a couple of bonus minutes at the end. Matt, can you just go through and cut out anything that seems dull? Yeah. Cut out the pauses. <laughs> cut out any pauses. Cut out, cut out all of my in-breaths. Ugh. But keep those out-breaths because those have a lot of personality. Um... No, please, if you, um, it really does help us if you rate us and review us on iTunes. Uh, you just seem like a crazy person right now because you don't have a mic. You're just wandering around. <laughs> like, like, we're just getting ready to go. And you're just a crazy man wandering around the apartment telling nobody to rate and subscribe us. It really does. You guys, please follow us and rate us 
it, uh, follow us on iTunes <laughs> and subscribe to us on Twitter. Like, if the recorder breaks, this moment is the most insane thing you've ever done. Um, right now, I'm looking at a receipt from the Euro market. Um, you guys thought that drink was bad. If you want to, you want it? I'm oh, gonna. God no. I'm gonna. <laughs> it's not good. I'm leaving that receipt from the Euro market here, JD, in case we need extra content for the webs for the Twitter. <laughs> yeah, you, the big thing is uh, like X, you want extra online content for podcasts. Um, I'm gonna take. I'm so sorry that that soda spilled in your fridge, JD. Uh, I don't have a mic because I'm trying to. Yeah. Um. I know these last couple of minutes were maybe not the best part of the podcast. And if you skip to the end, which our theory was that a lot of people will probably just, it's like flip into the end of the book to see how it ends. A lot of people probably skip as close to the end as they can get their little iTunes dot to go. It's probably hard to get right to this part. Um, but we covered a lot of topics uh, today. And I really do feel like. Do highlights. I mean, we talked about Wolf of Wall Street, which is the movie we saw this morning. Oh. We talked about the New York City the weather. Last part of it. What was the last part? What was the first? Oh, the, we said we would save our recommendations for the end. Um, and JD and I, whenever we review a movie, which we don't always do on this podcast, I, I mean, we do always in the one we've done so far, but it won't always necessarily be a movie review podcast. But uh, the, way, uh, the way we review the movies, some people do thumbs up, thumbs down. Other people do like five stars. Some people do like, here's you know, four buckets of popcorn or whatever. Um, the way we rate it is if we like the movie, we say we give it 12 hours. Is that what we do, J.D.? We say how many hours we give a movie. Say that I said yes. JD nodded. He's taping up some wire right now. Um, we tell how many hours we give the movie out of twelve, and I would say I give this movie nine out of twelve hours. No, maybe eight. I don't know. I, I don't know what seems fair. It's a weird metric. It's a weird way of measuring it. Uh, I'd give it eight and a half. Yeah. Oh, like a Fellini film. Um. I, I also, yeah, I'll give it, uh, I'll give it... Can you give half hours? Yeah. I'll give it eight or nine hours out of 12. <laughs> it's a good re review. If, the, if hours were thumbs, I would be giving two test. of them up. Um, test, JD, are test, you back test. on the mic? Am I still on the mic? I hope we've been recording this whole time. Some of the things in JD's apartment include... A cereal bowl filled with rubber bands of different Wait, colors. Wait, let me see if I'm on the podcast. Stop talking for a second. Am I on the podcast? Yes, I am. All right. A cereal bowl full of rubber bands of multiple colors. A rectangular cardboard box filled with, I mean, it's like a little gifty box filled with paper clips, mostly silver, but including some that are like candy striper. Um, That's what I like to do. Multiple tins filled with... Um, Colored pencils and markers. Um, 
Again, I mentioned before, a big bowl full of light bulbs. Um, some Snapple Secrets bottles. Some paints. Test, test, test. Right. <laughs> I like how we're 12 hours in and I'm still testing mics. Yeah. All right, well, JD and I are going to... We're now, I think we've re officially... Wait, I give it... Uh, how many hours out of 12 hours? I get nine, nine hours also. Nine hours? Nine hours. I give it eight or nine. I wouldn't commit to one or the other. If it's over uh, seven hours, you should go see it. Well, unless it actually is over seven hours, in which case that's different. But if it's rated over seven hours. I think that was implied in my... Okay. I just want to make sure people understand when we, when we give a movie hours, we're awarding hours as points. Yes. But when... And I'm saying if we award more than... Six. If we award seven or more points, that means that you should go see it. Right now, our intern is having trouble opening the door. Uh, Producer Matt? Do you want me to open the door? Just takes a little bit of elbow grease. Tough door. He handled that second door like a pro. I think he was a little bit angry about the way the first door wouldn't open for him. Real champ behavior. All right. Well, now... JD and Matt and I are out on the street. Matt is off mic, so he's officially no longer a guest on the podcast. He's just a bystander. Oh, wait. What's happening? Oh, no. Are we running out of... We can always end the podcast no, I was now. No, I was just going to bring... Never mind. What? I was going to bring a bag to carry this stuff, but it's not going to be that big of a deal. Yeah, this is my lab, right? Yeah. I, I think you should ride away with it. And speak as it goes away. Are you doing that uh, Denny Sharp thing tomorrow? Uh, what is it? They're doing like a pilot reading or something? No, I'm not. Okay. I don't know what that is. I don't know what it is either. Okay. I don't know what it is. It makes sense. Okay. Alright. Well, I, I could bring the lab then or something. Oh, yeah, maybe. But. Um, that was an obscure. I'm sorry, I don't mean to put in obscure details that make no sense to people. Oh, I'm going to be walking this way. Okay, well. Matt. Hey, Thanks for being on the podcast. Merry Christmas, Matt. It was great. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, Matt. Hey, Merry Christmas, guys. You see those Christmas lights? I do. Those are for you. Thanks. Matt, you see that Christmas tree? Uh, go, yeah. go, go. <laughs> if we'd gotten hit by a car in the, the final minute of <laughs> the this 12-hour podcast, that would have been... Because we, we, we just ran across the street to get away from Matt Cohen and... That's like a callback to when you ran across the street. Yeah. It's our second time we did that. I think the way you should end this is that I'll go up on the subway platform with you. Uh-huh. And we should sing a song together. Uh-huh. And then you should get on the train and continue to sing it. Uh-huh. As the train pulls away. You really want to keep me to keep this laugh, Mike? I think that's cool. All right. And that's the way we'll end it. So. And then you just have to, you know, turn it off and for viewers, make sure it doesn't get taken. For viewers and listeners who are... Um, who are, uh, didn't understand what we just said. JD is currently walking me from his apartment to the elevated end train platform uh, of the, the New York subway system. Did you just not want to walk to the train by yourself because you don't know the area? Uh, no, it's not that. I just sort of felt like it would feel weird to end the podcast in your apartment and me just walk out into the night. Yes, I agree. I felt like we started it out on the go and... I already had it in my head that earlier we were going to be going to um, Woodside and there would be another adventure aspect to it, but then we got oh, so right. kind of comfortable, I didn't want to, 
I didn't want to make another journey right. big, but I also didn't want us to end. Uh, it felt like a lazy way to end a 12-hour thing. I just think that uh, episode two will be interesting because we can be in Woodside for our episode two. Yeah, I think that would be good. Um, we're now walking past the Euro Market, the site of our earlier enjoyment. Um, uh, little known fact, one of the products in the Euro Market is the password to our Twitter account. Yeah, not too many people know that, except for, uh, I mean, I'm assuming right now we're speaking to a broader audience, because a lot of people will probably skip forward to the last yeah, five minutes. This is actually, like, our, it's weird, it's our table of, con- this is probably our table of contents, where it's like, yeah. go back to hour four, and you can see our exploits at the Euro market. Yeah, we, we talked about a lot of things. We talked about, uh, we went into some personal issues, things that we were like afraid about, hopes for the future. Yeah. There were some anecdotes and some revelations. We talked a lot about pop culture and media. Um, it really was a pretty wide-ranging and freewheeling conversation. There were some times that probably were not listener-friendly because we got so comfortable. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we apologize for the, you know rough patches if you're expecting something smoother but in a way I almost want to retract that apology because I feel like the parts that are maybe not broadcast quality all compensate for for that they make up for it in the fact that they're genuine yes if we let our guard down a little bit as podcasters uh, it was only because we were perhaps being too sincere and we forgot about our audience because we were just being truthful and genuine. I agree. I actually really enjoyed this. Yeah, me too. I really enjoyed this. Uh, and I was actually uh, very tired in the morning. I was like, uh-oh, how's this going to go? Mm-hmm. And now I'm very happy we did it. Yeah, me too. Um, and I think it's interesting. And I think it does speak to my belief on podcasts and our, I think our shared belief on just, if you just let things go honestly for 12 hours, you're going to get at least couple moments of interest yeah and if nothing else you know what here's what i'll say if nothing else if like three years from now you and i have to pursue different professional interests and move to different parts of the world uh-huh. we don't talk to each other for a we long can listen time listen to this podcast this po- this podcast is like a uh, time capsule a time capsule of our friendship yes. yeah uh like we can know exactly how much of friends we were based on the 12 hours we spent and the things we talked about. Yeah. Uh, I definitely feel like I feel like if more people did this, uh, it would detract from how special this is for us in the overall. Like, I, I wouldn't want it to catch on as a trend necessarily. Right. But I do feel like in some weird way, it would be helpful to a lot of people. Yes. Like, a lot of friendships would benefit I feel like I, we are better friends because of this today. Yeah. Hey, look, we were talking about James Bond earlier, and now I'm seeing an ad for Skyfall, the movie that. Uh, oh, I, I really like that. I really like that that James Bond situation. Uh huh. With the uh, non-female. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, that's funny that we would see that because it's not like that's new to video. It just was a free preview on the Epics channel, which I've never even heard of. Uh, hashtag I want Epics. Hashtag I want epics. E-P-I-X. 
in all caps in that hashtag. Or maybe um, it's, it's epics. Oh, yeah, like electronic pictures. Yeah. Um, although the eye is emphasized in the logo. The eye is the one that is uh, orange and the other hey, letters are white. Here's another callback. Oh, and what we were saying, we just saw a poster for the Skyfall here at the subway station. Oh, right. Um, oh, what's that? You kept always trying to get me to be a boxer. Oh, a boxer. And there's a boxer with a bloodied face. We made one reference to that about 11 hours ago. It's true. Oh, and this, here's another poster of the subway that says, Today's the day. Today was the day that we did our 12-hour right. podcast. And this podcast, uh, <coughs> this poster, takes place inside a city bus. And it almost looks like the inside of a city subway, which would bring up the question, did they shoot this in the same subway that you shot your lottery commercial in? Yeah, and it also said New York State of Health. We talked about uh, living in New York. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Well, I mean, we surpassed our 12-hour... Uh, uh, quota. Quota. Yeah. This is all... This is basically like, you're in the bonus zone right now. Uh, that's what we call it. We call it bone con. The bone con. Um, the bone, welcome to the boneyard. Welcome to the bone station. All right, what do you want to toss in the bonus section here? Uh, I feel like if anyone has any extra suggestions for wishes for future episodes, um, go ahead and tweet those at us. Because I will say this, as much as this has just been this weird freeform thing that we've been doing for 12 hours, uh, this is something that I think I, I feel strongly about, the idea that you can just document time spent together, and it is an interesting thing, the yeah. idea that, uh, with the internet and technology, there should be this sort of explosion of long-form content that you sort of maybe is meaningless, but documents moments just for the sake of documenting it. Because I think somewhere out there, someone is comforted by this. Hey, that was almost a callback to my American Tale reference when you said, I think somewhere out there. Oh, that's true. Um, but, you know, I bet I think someone might be comforted by this out there in the world, because I would be. If it was two friends of mine had a podcast like this, and I think I'd like more people just to put, if not, like if nothing, if for no other reason than just to get together and talk for twelve hours straight, I think more people should make stuff together and mm -hmm. spend time together, making your brains connect. I do too, and, and it's I not raining anymore. I tell you what, it stopped raining. Yeah, so we solved that. Yeah, that was a big. Uh, that was one problem. That was a big glitch that we made sure to figure out by the end of the podcast. One problem that we faced early on in the podcast that we are no longer having to deal with because time heals all wounds. We're standing here across from a not in service train, out of service subway train. It's dark, and we're in above ground Astoria 30th Avenue stop, and you can see this dark out of service train, and there's something spooky about it. Yeah, a, 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 a subway train that's above ground. With the lights out in it. With all the shadows in it. I feel like if a, if a figure were to be standing in that train, it would be very frightening. Yes. Even though they would not have easy access to us where we are now. No, in fact, it would be very difficult access to us, and we have several things protecting us. Yeah. Is there a person down further there? Yes, there is. I'm glad you came to the subway train because I do find it creepy to be here. Really? Right now. Like for a long period of time, just wait in an empty subway station. Yeah. I feel safe at subway stations, weirdly. Even, like, I don't feel comfortable on the woodside that often. Uh-huh. But at the subway, you but feel But for every subway station, I feel like I'm okay. 
The subway in Woodside is not bad because you're above ground and you're kind of in a visible spot where... And with subways, it's like you know if someone's coming. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's no hidden nooks and crannies. Were you scared at all by that trailer today for that paranormal activity movie? Uh, I thought there were a couple of effects. I will admit, I was a little... I was actually... Because I'd seen a shorter trailer for it and been like, this looks so bad. But then there was one or two moments that I was like, oh, that was a little creepy. Yeah. Uh, I thought there were a couple of effective moments. All right. Um, Well, what song should I sing while I'm getting onto the train and you're there? I don't know. Um, Is this not going to stop? No, it has to stop. It has to stop. Goodbye, Connor. Or we could sing... um, uh, I was going to sing a goodbye song. Okay. Goodbye, Connor. Goodbye, J.D. Goodbye, Connor. Goodbye, J.D. Oh, is there anyone even in this car? No. Okay. Oh, there's one. All right, well, I'll be in here. So long time. I've had a fun time doing our podcast today. I've had a great time doing our podcast today. It was 12 hours long, but it's, it's still a good day. 12 hours long, but I had a fun day. I can't hear the things that I you can sing, hear the things you're I saying. Things, and you know that I sing things. I sing goodbye to you. I sing a goodbye song to you. Good night, everyone. Thanks for listening to the 12 hour thing. And that was Connor Ratliff. Alright, guys. That's been 12 hour day with JD and Connor. Oops. That's been 12 hour day with JD and Connor. Have a good night, and we'll see ya the next 12-hour day.